test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. It feels weird saying that. Yeah, it's slower than we used to. Doesn't it feel, it feels like when a, a band uh, plays their songs and they've lowered the key a little bit and they, they're not right. as fast as they used to be? We used to do that really quick. It's been, so this, what the day right now. Let's, One week. Let's go, this is September 19th, 2018. Yeah. When was the date of the last episode that we recorded? It was November, wasn't it, of, of 2017? AC on in the other room, too. Um, so the last episode was... It was released this year, but it was recorded... November 11th, 2017. All right. So this is a, one of the longer gaps between episodes. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to account for that. Oh, yeah. There's one huge thing that made all the difference in terms of just our scheduling things like that, which is just the fact that it's the longest, it's the longest run of doing Gethard Show episodes professionally. Which is a show that we both work on. Yeah, the Chris Gethard also, Show. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Follow Our episode. Day. I'm um, J.D. Amato. My name is Connor. We should have done that right up top, but hopefully it will have, for anyone who's new to the podcast, that would have felt like one of those cold opens of like a show like Lost, or like one of those shows where it's like intriguing, like what's going on here? You're trying to piece together what this is. My name is Connor. My name is J.D. And this is a podcast, uh, um, in case you haven't noticed, maybe you've come across this and you don't understand what this is, this is going to go for at least 12 hours from now. Yeah. Uh, Every episode is like that. That's what this podcast is. We're two comedy friends. Yes. And we started this podcast where every episode is an unbroken 12-hour conversation. Completely unbroken. <laughs> it gets rocking every now and then because uh, of technical difficulties. We try our best not to brock it. Yeah. Anytime uh, we have brocking it, we always try to fox it. <laughs> um, and I'll say this. This podcast started. Here's what's wild. Actually, which I think is interesting to talk about. To start. Yeah. This podcast started because we sort of knew each other. Yeah. Not really. Well, we were acquaintances. Yeah. We, we liked each other, got along really well. Uh, we were both students on the New York City UCB improv scene. And, uh, and at that point, we were both uh, pretty new to it. Yeah. But we were full of, full of fire about it. And we were excited. And this was JD's idea... I think you were struck by the fact that you thought that I would do it. Yeah, and it's actually, there's interesting full circle stuff. I'll talk about it in the middle of the podcast, but like I used to, because of anxiety and sleep issues, listen to podcasts, long podcasts, and I liked that they were long. And then people started complaining online. So it was like, I feel like back then it was sort of like, remember the era of Twitter where people were like, I don't want to know you ate for breakfast. Right. Uh, there was an era of podcasting where people were like, <laughs> Hey, listen, if it's over 30 minutes, I'm not interested. Yeah. And I was like, make them long. And both because I thought it was funny, but also... And I, I like that it. too, because I always liked... I, I, the past few years, I've been very bad about listening to podcasts. I'm a terrible podcast listener now. But back then, I used to have... My life used to be structured where I could listen to podcasts a lot. And I always liked it when my favorite podcasts went long. And when there was like a... a a 90-minute episode when it, like, bubbled over a little bit and you hear the hosts apologizing, oh, my God, we're going long, we're going long. I was like, no, this is great. If you like the podcast, you want more of it. Yeah, and so then we started doing this podcast that I knew, I, I, I knew Connor would think this was as both sort of a funny, not performance art, but, like, performance joke of, like, doing a super long podcast, but also that there, Connor would agree that there was something interesting and human about doing something that was unfiltered, that 
just documented two people talking. And the, 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 the th thing that I always reference is um, the, the sort of car trip thing where when you go on a long road trip with a friend, the first hour or two of talking, you sort of like, you get catch up on all the stuff and talk about things. And there's usually like two or three hours in, there's like a pause. And then you just get into like real life stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, let's have a podcast where we can get there, where it's like that feeling of having a, a, a long conversation where your true colors sort of have to shine through and it's not edited. It's not these sort of tidbits or these curated aspects of our lives. Yeah. I mean, it still is to a certain degree, but it's, it's less so than maybe other mediums. Right. And also like any of the aspects of podcasts that get on my nerves a little bit, like sometimes I have trouble, I think sometimes listening to podcasts where people start doing bits, like comedic bits and they start riffing. Uh, yeah, we don't do that here. No, we do it. We're guilty of it as well. But you can't do that for 12 hours. No. So it doesn't, percentage-wise, it eats, it eats up a, a, a smaller piece of the pie. 100%. Uh, because at a certain point, uh, you just, even accidentally, inadvertently, you end up uh, uh, switching gears and talking in different ways. Yeah. There's also a thing, and we said this before, so apologies to people. I, I mean, if you've listened to more than five episodes of this, you'll start hearing some of the same things crop up because humans only have so many different things that only so many different uh, variations on the same noises that we can make. Yeah, and we're, bo we're both as a, a species extremely deep and complex and also not that deep yeah. and not that complex. We like familiar patterns. We like comfortable things. Oftentimes, I'll think of something and I won't realize that I've thought of it many times before and expressed it many times before. It'll feel new. Yeah. Um, but another thing, uh, and I think this is uh, one way in which the podcast has been very effective, uh, and, I do, and I do this in a number of different uh, um, ways, and this is, I don't think this is exclusive to comedy or performing people or things like that, but sometimes it's helpful to develop a project. I guess for hobbies are good for a lot of people who don't yeah. perform, that you, you know, if you have a fishing buddy or, or a poker night or things like that, it's a, it's a hook to get you to not let too much time go by without checking in with people that you like spending time around. I have a couple of different things like that where I have like people that I do improv shows with precisely because I know like, well, otherwise I might not see this person that I really like for six months or a year because we don't, we don't, we don't cross in the same schedule otherwise. Yeah, and so you and I sort of started as acquaintances and this was, this was a sort of an excuse for us to do something together that also had to start engaging and then I, I from my side my perspective you've become one of my closest friends I feel like over the past how many years have been doing this I don't, when did we start 2012 oh, 13 I'll see when the first episode yeah. was um, um, and if you're just listening to this buckle up for some nice slow podcasting yeah I don't stress out about this podcast I know some people listen to it now at 1.5. I want to say to those people, stop it right now. Go back to normal speed. Yeah, it's a, this is about... Fine. If you want to... I understand it's a busy world. It's a busy life. You want to get through shit fast. But if you're listening to this at one and a half times the speed, I promise you, you are missing something. Yes. And you will regret it when you are older. You will look back and you won't know what... You, don't, you won't know where you went wrong, but I'm telling you now, remember this moment. It's me telling you that was when you went wrong. And I think there's two ways we can 
approach those people. Yeah. We can punish everybody else. We can. Oh, yeah. Welcome to, to 12 Hour Day. day. <laughs> I'm almost committed to doing a whole episode like that. <laughs> drive people to listen but it's, to it. It's, uh, we make it whatever, 18 hours long or whatever it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, so it's still 12 hours yeah. at 1.5. Or we the can only pre- reason we can't do that is just because it was hard enough to make our schedules match for this. Yes. I also think we, the other thing we do is we do speed bumps throughout the, this recording mm-hmm. where we punish those 1.5 or we talk fast enough that the content's being yeah. stopped within. Yeah. So be like, hey, Connor, how have you been? Been really good. I didn't do. Yeah, that's what I had to do. <laughs> that's, man, you missed out on some good content there. Um, um, episode one, December 29th, 2013. Okay. I didn't realize we did it two days before the new year. Oh, yeah. So it's so we're coming up on our fifth anniversary. Which is crazy. Yeah. And, it's, and it's ten. what episode is this? What episode is this? This will be 15. 15. Um, and... Yeah, and I think uh, there's there's an aspect of of uh, I've, I've lost my train of thought. I had a specific thing I wanted to say. Well, here's what I want to say: yeah. is I think I have changed so much in the past five years mm-hmm. that I think I would be uncomfortable listening back to those early episodes. Maybe, yeah. I the, I already know there there's are... opinions that I had <laughs> back then. Yeah, that boy oh boy of my mind has my mind changed. I know that I've said things on this podcast that will ruin me. Really? Yeah. Can you th- you're thinking of a specific thing? Yeah, I can think of specific things. I won't repeat them. Go dig around. I dare you. Go dig around in our past episodes and find the things that will ruin me. Um, no, I just know there have to have been. There yeah. have to have been opinions that I've expressed. I mean, one that I'm not embarrassed about. I'm, I'm uh, uh, proud of being... I, I'm proud... Of the opinion, it's in, it's an incorrect opinion, and I'm and the reasons that, it, that it's wrong and maybe should be uh, could be embarrassing, are actually things that are just incredibly disappointing about this country. Which is, I know that there's a past episode where I'm expressing my certainty that this country will never oh, yeah. elect Donald Trump president, and I was basing this entirely on that uh, uh, how badly he did comedy in that. Uh, Video right. with Rudy Giuliani where he uh, motorboats Giuliani in drag, and I was just like, aside from any like uh, uh, sexuality uh, issues that are in that clip, he's just so bad at the comedy of it. He's just so bad at it. And I'm like, I just don't think. I think the country won't elect someone who's that bad at something so visibly, so publicly. Yeah, I. I that's the other thing I think is. is but that's that- I was wrong, but the deeper wrong is within this. The 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 dark heart of this country. Uh, so it's like, I'm not ashamed of being wrong for that. I overestimated uh, uh, how good I thought America was. Well, I think what's interesting is that we just have a lot of, I think there's a lot of things we can look back on and be like, whoa, we are, boy, were we, boy, are we different people now than they were then. Even small things of just how we talk about, I, I don't know, I just think it's interesting. Because I know for a fact I've changed in very major ways in the past five years. Yeah. And there's things that, yeah, I'm sure, look back and it's like, oh, that was an opinion now that I'm like, that is incorrect. Yeah. So, 
That's that's the project. Another, of this po- that's I, the project of this podcast. Another uh, big change, and that I'm excited to announce this because this is the first episode in years. Because this started off as a podcast about two friends yes. spending time together, and um, two acquaintances. Two acquaintances time. then became friends, and then at a certain point, the podcast changed, and some thought irrevocably, oh. and it became a podcast about a guy and his boss who hang out for twelve hours. And Connor refers to this as, I was an executive producer of a show called The Chris Gethard Show. Now canceled. Now canceled. And Connor was uh, well, cause we a were performer. Doing, we were doing the show, the show on public access when the podcast began. But that was not employment. That was not for money. No. We and so employed. you were not my boss. You were in charge of the show. But I was just a contributor. Back then I wasn't even in charge of yeah, You were the, the director of the show. I would call it cameras, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then when it became a job, you became my boss. And so for years now, for three years, yeah, three of the five years of this podcast, it was a podcast about a guy and his boss, or if you will, a podcast about a boss and his employee, and they hang out for some reason. <laughs> hang out for some reason for a really long time. For a very long time, and uh, outside of work, and people would listen to this podcast, and now we're just two friends again. We're just You're two not friends my again. My boss. Uh, I mean, you might end up being my boss again. I don't. I don't anticipate there'll be a point where I'll ever be your boss. I think it could happen. In fact, uh, boy, oh boy, uh, I can't talk about it on. Do I know about this? No. It's something that you were thinking about that you almost made. Mm-hmm. That I, don't, I just don't want to, not, it's not like some big secret, but I just don't want to say it because you haven't right. made it yet. Right. That recently I was like, maybe I should make that. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. No, we're trying to do a blind item again. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> this is this is part of the podcast where I mouth keywords to Connor, okay. and he tries to. Yeah. Right. Oh, uh, uh, right. What? I don't know the last part. Uh, the way that you film it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is this an idea I had? Yeah. I don't remember it. There's something about it. That I'm, there's some key element that I'm like blanking on that seems vaguely familiar. How recent was this? Uh, recent. Um, oh, my brain's just ruined. Okay, JD's writing it now. He's writing it down. Oh, <laughs> I can't see it. Oh, right. That... Oh, yeah. I can talk about that. I can talk about that. So, it's been... Well, s- yeah. should you? No, I won't talk about the details of that. You're right. But what I will say is, I, I have a file on my phone of things that I've been jotting down, and I realize like, I've got almost a year's worth of... It's not that much. I've got a ton. Yeah. But so much time has passed since the last episode that basically... I'm not going to name names in this, but... Yeah, don't... A, no no uh, proper nouns. Yeah. I'm not going to blame and shame anybody here. This is a total blind item. But shortly after we recorded the last episode, or I guess maybe even might have been referenced around the time yeah. of the last, I was pitching a show around town and then all, with, with uh, some people. And we were making some traction towards it happening. I don't think it was going to happen, but we were getting a little bit making progress anyway. Right. People were interested. And all of a sudden, a company uh, said... Uh, 
I, I get a phone call from one of the people who uh, who's uh, one of the producers who was pitching the show around him, and they said, "Hey, listen, blank uh, has just bought. They've just ordered. Uh, they've just ordered like eight episodes. A blind eight episode order for a talk show starring you." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And they're like, "They just ordered." blind like I'm like what's the show and they're like you think of it I'm like are you kidding what is this and they're like think of a show they they need a show they need a show and they want you to host it and they want you to think of what it is so I thought of an idea then and I thought oh, this is gonna fall apart this is crazy uh, and so I thought of a show and I developed some ideas for what I thought was gonna be a really cool show that would be relatively easy to do it wouldn't be like any other show yeah, I will say this without giving away any yeah. details at all. It was sometimes Connor. Connor, I think creatively, be it uh, improv, be it whatever comedy, whatever you're doing, sometimes you're put in a position where you have to make a choice on something, and it almost feels like you do it in like a sort of uh, like obstinate, like, all right, then I'm going to choose this. Yeah. And everyone has to deal with this thing. And it's not... It's always like, it's not A, B, or C. It's always like E, F, G, H, I, J. It's like K. Yeah. And everyone's like, what? That's what it is? And there are so many aspects about this thing creatively that were just like, that's what you want to do? Yeah, that were so I, phenomenal. I had a pitch meeting with the people who had already ordered this show. And, and I was skeptical for me. I was like, this is going to fall apart. This sounds like it's not the way a thing should happen. I mean, it's the way a thing should happen. It's not a way a thing does happen. Right. And... In the meeting, I said, well, here's what I want, and here's what I want the show to be. And they were all like, great, we just need a show, and we want it to be weird. I'm like, well, I want it to be like this. I want this to happen, and I want this to happen. I want it to look like this. And they, everyone was fine with it. So like, great, let's just go make the deal. We'll just sort out the deal. And one of the things was there was a rush on this, that they were like, we need these episodes. This was end of November. We need these episodes by like February or March. So they need to be filmed in January. And I was like, great, not a problem. I can do it. Like, I'll do it tomorrow. We do it. I'll do it tomorrow. Right. And they're like, we'll just sort the deal out. So like weeks go by and I hear like the, they're still sorting the deal out. More weeks go by. I'm like, well, now it's almost January. Well, they're thinking it's going to be February now. So weeks go by. We're still sorting out the deal. Eventually, what happened was some, the people who made this deal were all fired or quit, and new people came in, and those people basically were just like, what, what deal? The, the new people, they were like, what's this? And they're like, this is the thing that they bought. No, we didn't. No, you did. We didn't. But they did. Well, they're gone. But there's still a deal. No, there isn't. Okay. And like that, it was over. And the... And it was strange, because it really felt like... Uh, I came very close because there was a company that was desperate and in a position where they needed something and they were open to something that it could have happened and it would have been fun. And I, my half of that, yeah. what I was just saying is, hey, this is more of a middle of podcast thing to get into, but I had a the past couple months, I feel like have been uh, rough, not in any... Um, objective concrete nouns and verbs way but just I've been wrestling with a lot of my own things and working you know uh, mental health stuff and things like that and 
there's a big period of time that's not entirely past, but um, not as actionable as it was where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to work in entertainment anymore. Like, I don't know if I really enjoy this. Mm -hmm. I think not, not, uh, not because of any people or experience or anything, but just sort of like I, the more I, the more I see the, how the system of entertainment works and how things operate, I just feel like, oh, it causes a lot of stress and a lot, a lot of negativity. And yeah, it's not exactly what I thought was, it's not what I, the things that I like about making things are not the things that drive the engine of the greater industry. Mm. Um, which was interesting because it turned into a thought experiment of what I would do instead and would I go back to school or do things like that. But then yeah. it, it's also provided me this place too where now I don't feel like I have to take a job or do something unless I really, really want to do it. Uh, and so then it was fun where there's a period of time where I was like, and it's, this is now still going on where I'm like, well, now I'm just going to make the things that I think would be fun. And yeah. one of the things that I always think about is some of the details of you, what you, you created for that talk show where I'm like, I just feel like maybe we make something like that. Yeah. And it might just end up in a vacuum and we only ever make a pilot or whatever, but I'm like, that could be fun. Yeah. But anyways, that's, I don't even know how we got to this. Uh, I think we were talking about, uh, you being my oh. boss, you not being my boss. Yes. And the, so whether I, I would ever be your boss. I could see you being my boss if we did that. Yeah, I would think of that as partners, though. If we were doing yeah. that, it would just be like we're working on a thing. I, I've, I don't anticipate that I'll ever be at a point where I'm like, I'm working on this thing. Let's hire JD for it. You might. But I don't think I'll ever be in that position okay. of authority. Um, um, what, are, what are there other changes? <coughs> oh, here's a change. Yeah. I have glasses. Glasses, yeah. I don't think I've seen those glasses on you before. I, I, I recently had to get glasses. Um, what, was there a specific incident where... You know, let me tell you the story of me getting glasses. All right. About three or four months ago. I wish we could add well, just a little bit of music under, just a bed of music under it. <laughs> just like when a, an NPR type thing has that little transitional music that just yeah. creates a new... This is the story of my glasses. It was the brisk November day. Now I'm trying to yeah. do my, yeah. <laughs> what's his name impression? Yeah. Um, uh, I was playing basketball and I got hit in the eye. And the this? next week, it was like four months ago. Yeah. The next week I noticed uh, in my right eye, <laughs> My right eye, what, the vision was blurry, and I thought that maybe it was because I got hit in the eye. Um, but I waited it out for a month or so, and I, I, I've, ne I've always had perfect, quote-unquote, perfect vision. Uh -huh. Never had glasses, contacts, anything. Um, and so I went to an ophthalmologist, mm -hmm. and I went to one of the, the big hospitals. You know, it's like you can go to, like, private practice or, like, one of the big... And the, I think for me, when you go to like the big, the NYU's, the, the Columbia's, Mount, Mount the Sinai's. Mount Sinai's, whatever, the, the, it can be sort of like a big machine, you know? Yeah. And the good thing is, is that if you need to get certain things done, it's just like, great, in and out. Big things aren't going to fall through the cracks for the most part because there's enough eyes on it. Right. But the other side is that like, 
sometimes you just don't get the attention or you're just a, a, a cog in the thing. Right. Um, so I went there and I definitely had a cog in the machine feeling because I took all the tests, did all the things. I have eye problems that were in my family. And uh, it took like two hours for me to finally see the doctor after doing all the tests. Mm-hmm. And he was a young guy. And I, I, I try not to be ageist with doctors, but I feel like sometimes a young doctor can either be really good or it can be a little... Something sometimes it can feel off to me, but I guess that's true of any doctor, period. Right. So maybe it's not age, but um, I felt like this was a guy that had was giving me sort of like a I'm acting like I'm a big doctor kind of thing and like right. wouldn't actually engage with me as a human, right? Um, because I, I kept going, you know, he's like, he's like, well, your eyes look perfect, you know, there's nothing injury wise wrong with them, and I was like, yeah, well, I just like. I've been having trouble reading things. I went to the MoMA with a friend and I couldn't read any of the placards mm-hmm. on the wall. I just couldn't read them. Yeah. And I was like, something's wrong that I, I've never been able to not read something because it's blurry. And I, when I would close my left eye and just like out of my right eye, everything was blurry. When I closed my right eye and looked at my left eye, I could see great. Right. And, I, and then that meant that when I had both eyes open, it was just things were out of focus. Yeah. And I kept saying this and the guy was like, ah, well, I don't know. Uh, your eyes seem pretty good. And here's the, the thing that, frustrates me. I wonder if this happened to you. You do the eye test, right? Yeah. Where it's, you have the letters, yeah. they get smaller and smaller. Yeah. Well, at the time, my eyes weren't so bad that I couldn't make out the general shapes of letters, but it was blurry. Mm-hmm. But through deductive reasoning of the geometry of shapes, I could sort of take a pretty educated guess what the letters were. Yeah. And so I was trying to do my best to read because I was like, well, they asked me to read these lines. I'm going to try to do my best to do it. And so I got down to like the second smallest and I was like, that's blurry, but I, I'm going to go with like whatever, T-R-P-B-M-V or whatever. And then as like in the last line, it's just, I, I can't really tell. So da, da, da. Yeah. She's like, oh, you got that line right. And I was sort of like, well, I sort of, it's blurry though. I guessed that. I really, it was really hard for me to even try to do yeah. that. Yeah. So then the guy was like, well, you seem like you have perfect vision. And I was like, well, I, I, I know I don't. And then he was like, all right, well, thanks for coming in. And I was like, well, I can't, it's, I can't really see out of this. And he's like, well, why don't we set an appointment for two months from now? And I was like, okay. So then I spent a couple of weeks and my, it starts getting blurrier. Yeah. And uh, then my, my right eye starts to actively like hurt. Like the muscles around my eye are hurting. Yeah. And so then I, I schedule another appointment like now, like, it's like three weeks later. So I'm like, same your guy? eyes, same guy. I'm like, eyes aren't supposed to hurt, right? Yeah, right. So I'm like, I'm going to go in and be like, hey, this eye's hurting a lot now and it's blurrier. doesn't hurt me. Yeah, I know. It was like that kind of, so I do the eye test and this time when it gets to, when it starts getting blurry, I just go, can't do it. It's blurry. I just go, I can't read it. It's blurry. I'm like, I'm not even going to entertain <laughs> this. I, go, I can't read it. It's blurry. Well, if you guess it, it means you can see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then I get to the guy and the guy's like, Oh, wow. Well, yeah, you know, I think maybe uh, maybe you have like a floater or something in here. And I was like, and it's not a floater. It's everything is blurry. Uh, and he's like, well, maybe maybe you need glasses. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, why don't we come back in like three months? And we'll get you glasses maybe. And I was like, I don't understand what the advantage is to waiting three months. You really don't like giving people glasses. I know. And then I was like, I was like, he's, he's like, all right, well, thanks for coming. And I was like, you know, I don't mean to be a pain, but like, you know, I work as a director. I work in tele- like, my eyesight is very important to me. So I, that's, just, that's just why I'm getting stressed out about it. And like, you know, if you think I should get glasses and he's like, yeah, well, we'll have an appointment in three months. 
And in my head, I'm like, okay, maybe it's the kind of thing where people's eyesight changes and they want to make sure it settles to where it's going to be and yeah. something like that. And I talked to my GP and my GP's like, no, just go, go get glasses. glasses. So I went and to an optometrist. You go to any glass store and that, no glass store will be like, come back in three months. They'll be like, let's give you glasses Well, today. so then I do a little reading. Online. And of course, if you try to do reading online, you can find whatever answer you want. You know what I mean? Right. So it just doesn't mean nothing. But there's so many people and um, family members included that were like, yeah, you know, ophthalmologists aren't the best people for glasses because they're just looking for like, do you have a serious problem with your eye? They're not as right. interested in. They don't care about you. Well, they they don't they're they're not they don't really need. Yeah. Gla- glasses, whether you have glasses or not, it doesn't mean your eye is gonna you're gonna they're go blind or whatever. Months, yeah. And then if you go to an optometrist, they're like, ooh, let's figure out the perfect glasses for you. So I'm just an optometrist, and he was like, oh wow, like they can do certain focus testing. He's like, he's like, your focus is off. Yeah. And then he was like, we're gonna get you glasses and this and that, and it was the kind of thing. And I'm sure everyone that's had glasses had this experience, and this is not new yeah. territory. But you know, you put the big thing on, and he's like, "Okay, how's it look now?" And I'm like, eh, "Fine, I guess." How about now? Worse. And then he's like, "How about now?" And so I'm like, "Whoa!" Yeah. That's like, I didn't realize you could see this clearer, this clearly. Yeah. And I think over time, my eyesight had just degraded, and then one of my eyes. Apparently, like one eye is a dominant. You think the basketball thing? I think I think it was a coincidence. Make you notice it? I think it was a coincidence. Um, and I think what ha- apparently what can happen is that one eye can be a dominant eye, mm-hmm. and then sometimes your muscles can like sub. go off. So exactly. Yeah. So I think also maybe by hitting my eye, like those muscles had to work extra, or there was some right. healing, pro- whatever it was. I think you broke your eye with basketball. Exactly. But then I got given glasses, and it's like. Where did you go to get your glasses? I went to a local eye, eye care okay. place. I was hoping we'd gone to the same place. Where did you go? To Warby Parker. See, I, I like the style of Warby Parker, and I was going to go there, but something made me slightly nervous about the fact that it was like a style place. Fashion-y. Yeah. Yeah. Because from, I feel like it's a place that I would go once I already had a prescription. Right. Versus the place to go to get a prescription. It's the same process. It, I know. It's it. This is all I, me projecting on. I was a little bit. I was a little bit hesitant because it did look a little hipsterish. But then I was kind of like, ah, I'll just try it. I'm not. I don't do stuff that's fashionable particularly. Right. Um, my thing with glasses is, I, I mostly like. I don't wear my glasses very often, because like. Like I couldn't read your writing when you held up that thing. Right. But that was a mix of your of it being handwriting that I'm not used to reading, and this yeah, is, I wrote I wrote this like a psychopath also. Um, like I can read some of the titles, but not all of the titles of your DVDs on the shelf. Yes. You know the ones that are I can read for all mankind. You know. Right. Um, but then there's other ones that where I can't. But it really is just distance reading. Yes. Which for the most part I'm like. I'm comfortable with the level of blur that I have in terms of like, I'm more comfortable not having the glasses on than having the glasses on. But if I go to a movie, I usually like to wear the glasses just because it crisps, everything's a little crisper. Yeah. And, but I can go to a movie without it. Now, if it's a movie with subtitles, it's better if I have the glasses, but also that's, uh, they're usually big enough that it's not a problem. 
Yeah, I just started getting headaches. Yeah. For me... The and t- my eyes were hurting. Because first... I could tell that it was out of focus and it was bothering me. And I kept trying to get it in focus. The first time that I got glasses was when I was doing a cross-country move in 2000, I think. Because I realized if I was going to drive a U-Haul and be needing to see signs at a distance to be like, get in this lane to turn on this highway. Yeah. I was like, I need them for night driving where I need to... Where I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. Because... The way our roads are set up, it's sometimes like, even even if you have perfect vision and perfect awareness, sometimes you're in a situation where you suddenly have to cross three lanes and those extra five seconds make all the difference when you're trying to like move a giant truck in traffic, you know? Yeah. And then at one point, my, my vision got better after that. Oh, interesting. Or at least it felt like it got better where I was, and I wasn't, and I didn't wear glasses for years. I just had them and didn't wear them. And then then a couple of years ago, I got glasses because I was going to be driving in some circumstance. I was like, ah, I should get new glasses. Yeah. Um, It's a big change. Yeah, it's a big change, but it's been nice. Do you wear them when you're just walking around or? No, I don't have to because like you, it's like, it really is only a bother when I'm reading things. So like this morning I was on uh, on the computer that's why I have mom. Yeah. It's because, like, looking at a computer, boy, oh, boy, is it so much clearer. And then also, like, here, I can <coughs> see your eyes more clearly than if I have them off. Yeah. But I'm used to having, I'm used to my slightly blurry vision, so it doesn't bother me. But yeah. when I put them on, I am like, ah. Yeah. That's nice. See, when I'm at my computer, I can't have my glasses on because then it's, it, feels, it feels bad. But if I'm watching my TV put my glasses on if, if I'm watching my TV and I'm really paying attention but if I just have like the news on in the background or something I'll yeah um, I, I do feel like when I'm taking an eye test and like when I got my driver's license renewed last time there is something about not suddenly not doing as well at, at an eye test that feels kind of terrifying yes like you feel like you're they're disappointed in you in a way that you know they're not objectively they're not it's just like they don't care but it's just like, oh, you're you can't read that. You can't read that. Yeah, you know, it's sort of, and you feel like my body is failing this test. Yeah. Um, and there is something about it that's like a little frightening, because you feel like, oh, it's a, a thing that you can mark as a as a deterioration. Which is interesting because you wouldn't think that way if you like. There's something about like little kids with glasses that is always a little bit like sweet and also heartbreaking that it's already. Yeah. Already, like a like a seven year old who walks around with glasses. There's already an aspect of like, your eyes already stopped working. Right. Um, well, I also I, I held the banner for a while. Where I, I'd always be like, people would be like, "Do you have contacts?" I'd be like, "Nope, I got perfect vision." Yeah. And then, the moment that stopped happening, like everyone that I've seen in the past three months will tell you, I've just been constantly like. My stupid vision is—I can't see yeah. that. And if I—and I, I always do things where I was like, I cover this eye and I can't see it. I cover this eye and I can see it. Yeah. And everyone's like, Yeah, you need glasses. And I was like, No, but my—no, you don't get it. My eyesight's bad. I can't see how. Everyone's like, Yeah, that's how it works. Could you envision yourself ever getting contacts? I couldn't. No. I've seen—I've witnessed too many people have the experience of their contacts getting like. Uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, I can't have that in my life. Yeah. Or here's the other thing is that I've seen so many people like drop contacts and have to find them and then like be like, oh, I'm going to have to put up my eye and it's going to hurt so bad. 
and because they're like expensive apparently and i'm like i never want to have to i mean yeah this is coming from the luxury of someone whose eyesight isn't so bad that i need them right and if i did if my eyesight got so bad i might change my tune on that but for now i'm like oh having to occasionally wear glasses isn't so bad yeah but then i had to do the thing too of being like well what style of glasses am i supposed to wear and like the person at the there's this these two women at the I, I the whatever you call it optometrist office mm-hmm. that I was basically like keep them coming keep them coming keep them coming and they yeah. were like had all all these opinions and all this and da 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 I think I found a look that suits me but it is like one of those things where it's like it's like you know sometimes you have like adult friends that have never bought a suit <clears throat> and they're just like I don't even know where to start yeah I don't even know what you want in a suit I felt the same way about glasses where I was like I don't know even I've never considered how glasses look on my face yeah is my head big or small are my eyes big even or small just like what sh- knowing that like you have a designated face shape like yeah are you oval are you this are you oblong are you yeah you know, like and, and this is the kind of glasses that you'll need for your face yeah I I, I, I fell into the category of angular bird face really that's what they call it? Yeah. Um, I... Well, neither of us got much sleep last night. No. Um, I had a full-on panic attack. Yeah. And this you said this was brought on by caffeine? Well, I, I mean, that's been the story of the past couple months is I've been having some some mental health issues um, Mm -hmm. with anxiety in a pretty major way. Um, And it's been pretty crippling. Um, And it's been somewhat under control. I've started going to therapy twice a week, which has been really interesting. Um, It's something I never thought I would do, but now I've started doing it. It's been really helpful. And I've even recently, in addition to my uh, therapist, started going to a psychologist for perhaps uh was for analysis no psychiatrist or, for... or a psychiatrist i'm sorry okay uh for um uh medication gotcha uh which i might uh i'm probably gonna start up this week but it's been bad it's been really bad which i think honestly is also uh not a reason because we've just been busy but also a reason why i haven't been like chomping at the bit to do a, an episode of the podcast right is a byproduct of my anxiety is that I just want to disappear. I right. want to be as small as possible, as just unobtrusive as possible, and just don't. I just want to, not like in a suicidal way per se, but just I want to have. I just want to disappear into the folds of the world and not right. do anything. Uh, and it it's it can be a very lonely thing. And not lonely in the like way where it's like, yeah, I have a lot of friends and it's like, I can call you and go to the museum or hang out or get dinner or, yeah. or you know, I've got plenty of friends. But it, it's the type of anxiety that tricks you into thinking that you are alone or that yeah. you are, uh, you can't yeah. deal with stuff. And so that's, you know, that's also part of the reason why I've, I've been like, is the entertainment industry for me? Because I think, a lot of it is, I think a lot of it is just genetic and chemical and mm-hmm. there's things that are off. A lot of it is stuff that I've had to 
work through in therapy and figure out that are sort of things that are buried deep within that I've been making a lot of progress on. I can feel, I can feel steps being made. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's circumstantial stuff, which is like, I think this is an industry that is, um, if you have that within you at all, it can bring it out because it is, there mm-hmm. is no stability. There is a lot of negativity. Um, yeah. It is oftentimes balancing your passion, your joy against sort of commerce and negativity in a way that is necessary to the system because that's how it works, but also can feel really hard. Um, so it's just been a rough period of time. Uh, and it's weird because I was someone who maybe like five years ago, right this project had started, if you'd asked me if about anxiety or something like that. Yeah. And for me, I don't really, I don't really get panic attacks often. Um, I have anxiety more than anything. I'd be like, no, I don't get anxious. You know, every, you know, maybe if I have like a big thing, I'll get nervous about it. Um, but I don't really understand what anxiety was. And now I sort of understand it. Yeah. And it's one of those things that like, I get when people don't, <laughs> I get when people are like, yeah, I don't really get it. And I think even though I would never have said it back then, I was the kind of person that was like, yeah, but you know, you can just sort of talk logic your way through it and know that, you know, this isn't true and da da da. And it's like, yeah. no, it's, it's not what it is. It is like this, like this disease inside of you that yeah, changes it, how you see the world. It either defies the logic that you have or it like, uh, 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 adapts to it. Oh yeah. To, to use it against you where it's like, uh, I mean, I, I don't think I could credibly say I've ever had, like, anxiety before. What I've seen of it, it's, like, finds a way of, of, if you think you have, like, a coping mechanism for it, it will be looking to try to use that coping mechanism as just another tool of, like, yeah. like just put it on, like, a suit and be like, oh, is this the thing you use for yeah, exactly. help you with? And that's why I yeah. talk about, like, the loneliness thing is that you feel so alone. And, of course, I have so many friends that I know logically are my friends. Yeah. But then in your head you're like, Oh well, I haven't heard this. Maybe this, per- this person, like you, start cr- creating these fantasies that yeah. I can't even articulate because they're they're not logical things. It's just these feelings that, like, oh, that's not an option. I have to sit here and deal with this. Well, there's a loneliness that the cure for it is being around other people, and then there's yeah. a loneliness that that won't cure it, and then then you're left with, well, wait a second. I thought it's almost like. Uh, throwing water on a certain kind of flame and it won't go out because it's like a chemical fire or something yeah, exactly. like that where you're just like, oh, like, well, this is the one thing I know will work for it. And then if that doesn't work, then what do you, then it's sort of like you feel like you have no options, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's been, it's been really tough. Um, uh, and for me, you know, when I'm not working, things are always a little tougher because... That's what I was going to say is that it's, it's not a coincidence that it's a rough time coming after a long stretch of you being busy where the stress can be t- targeted towards like, yes. I'm stressed because this show is happening. Yes. That you can be like, well, once the show is done, my stress will go away. Exactly. And then it's, you know, that's a very classic thing of like, oh no, that wasn't the thing. Yeah. Um, and even during this show, I, I had a really tough time. I mean, the, there was staff from this last season, the Gethard show will tell you like, I had like this like cough for like two months mm. that like everyone was like, hey, I think you're dying. And it's like there were so many things where I just felt the stress like physically tearing me apart. Oh, God. 
And then, obviously, when it ends, you're like, oh, great, this will all fix itself. And then yeah. it's like, oh, no, it just manifests in totally different ways. Yeah. So, anyways, I, that all being said, what's interesting is, while it's been a tough m- couple months, and I've had to deal with this in a way that I've been dealing with this stuff for a couple years now, but it's, it's, it's really, I've noticed it really interfering mm-hmm. with my day-to-day life. On the flip side, I'll, I also feel like I'm doing more positive work towards it and understanding myself and gaining balance and understanding um, who I am. And that, that thing where, you know, it's always like, oh, I have to work on myself kind of stuff. It's like, oh, I, yeah. I actually feel like I am, I've been doing that. doing that work for this past, since the last episode happened. That's good. So it's this weird thing where it's like, Yes, I feel this this sort of mental illness stuff taking shape in a way that I'm like, oh, this is actually a, a a thing, and something that is genetic and chemical, and that's why I also starting to go on medication, which is nothing something I've never done before in my life. Do you have anyone in your family that that? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, history stuff like that in my family, and again, nothing that is dire, but very present. Right. And it's it, I have this funny thing too where. I always laugh, like, I'll, something will happen to me, I'll go to the doctor, and then I'll call my parents, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I have that. Or, oh, yeah, your grandmother has that. Or, oh, your yeah. uncle has that. And I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me that? And so um, I have a lot of family members that um, have been dealing with stuff, and I had no idea. Yeah. And th- through not even, through, through pretty minimal medication and things like that have been totally fine but that's it's the kind of thing that i've never explored because i was always like oh no i'm fine oh no i i oh it's just this and this is what it is and so i've been doing the work more than i more than ever in my life and it's so i feel actually good and proud of all of that and balance and understanding myself more while at the same time knowing this is oh this is something i actually have to deal with and i yeah, and like anything like that, it's like a waste to go. Even if you're making progress, it's like a long, yeah, long, long form thing. Well, here's the funny thing: is that it's it's so much the conversation we just had about vision, mm-hmm. where it's like my eyesight. Okay, was and then it's, it sort of starts getting worse and worse. Then you're just like, yeah, just go to the optometrist, get yeah. glasses. I've been told that uh, the Irish are uh, a group of people who are impervious to therapy. Is that so? Yeah. Uh, which I think is interesting. I'm it's just Irish. like the therapy doesn't doesn't work on the Irish. I'm quarter Irish. It's not enough. <laughs> well, it's like, but I, three, 75% of you is uh, uh, able to be, but that, that, that final quarter will not be, uh, will yeah. not be fixed. Maybe. By, Who knows? Not via not therapy anyway. Who knows? Maybe there's a genetic uh, predisposition there. Um, well, in contrast, and I think this is, this is a... Uh, I think this is a, a good counterpoint in terms of, uh, uh, so neither of us got sleep last night. Oh, wait. So last night, <laughs> yeah. just to give the hundreds of mine, yes. I was stupid yesterday, and I, I don't know why, but I drank coffee. Yeah. You I don't like, normally drink coffee. I don't drink any caffeine. Yeah. And I got an iced coffee like an idiot. Why? I don't know, what Connor. Connor, I don't know. You craved it. Well, I've been, here's the funny thing. Here's what's going to make me sound like such a dummy. Yeah. I've been trying to get my sleep schedule back on track. <laughs> and so I've been waking up earlier, even though it means I'm getting less sleep. 
Right. And then yesterday I wanted to get some work done, so I was like, I'm not gonna take a nap. I'm just maybe I'll have a coffee because I like that. I really love the taste of coffee, but caffeine. Yeah, you can get decaf. Caffeine goes bad for me. But yesterday I was like, I'll can have get coffee. De- decaf iced coffee. I was like, I'll have coffee. I'll skip the nap, and and also iced coffee has so much caffeine. Yeah. Is it? Po- I don't have a coffee drinker. Is it possible to get decaffeinated iced coffee? Yeah, I'm sure of it. Or yeah. maybe, or maybe be. not. It's 2018. No it must be. I don't know anything about if coffee. If not, if not, business opportunity for one of our listeners. I'm sure it's, it must be a thing, I'm right? I'm sure it's a thing. But if not, business opportunity. Um, and I had it at like whatever, 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 3:30. Why you lied three times? Because I was trying to make it seem earlier, but it wasn't. It was 3:30. It was four. It was probably closer to four. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, I, it was even an idiot where I like Googled. I was like, how long does uh, caffeine stay in your system? And it's like, oh, six hours. I was like, oh, well, good. Then I'll be able Easy. to go to sleep by 10. And uh, wrong answer. Because uh, not you. only was I up and jittery, yeah. but also then it's like, you know, reading the fucking words of the Necronomicon for your anxieties to come through the door. It's the, it's the scene in... Uh, Ghostbusters when the <laughs> ghosts are bursting out of the sewers and the <laughs> ghost ships are coming in. So last night I uh, it went from just anxiety to like my body. And a panic attack is like when it's anxiety that twists into physical manifestations mm-hmm. where you just feel like you're like dying, like you, you're out of control. And I was just out of control. And I sent Connor a like. A panic text at 5 a.m. that was basically like, I'm having a panic attack. I have not gone to sleep yet. I don't know what, I don't know if I'm, like, in my mind, here's what I was saying. I don't know if I'm ever going to sleep again. I don't know if I'm ever going to be normal again. I think I'm broken. I don't know if we can do the podcast tomorrow. I'll call you in the morning. Yeah. And then I got a, a little bit of sleep. Yeah. And, of course, a little bit of sleep. Goes a long way. Helps helps erase caffeine-based panic attacks. I'm still yes. feeling a little off today. Yeah. But last night I was, I was, tears were shed at the panic oh. of caffeinated uh, anxiety oh. ghosts. It's a good lesson to learn, though. Oh, probably my God. Probably what a get dummy. Iced coffee again. What a dummy. I mean, if you do get another iced coffee again, you'll know you have a problem. And uh, what a dummy I am also that I'm like, I mean, here's, this is the life in itself of, I, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you know, I understand myself and I'm feeling healthy and balanced and dealing with my sort of mental health stuff. Yeah. And then I go and I'm like, I can have coffee. I'll be fine. Yeah. Cut to me like, you know, <coughs> falling apart at 5 a.m. the night before a podcast. Um, I'm going to tell you. Stupid. Uh, so that's why you didn't get any sleep. I didn't get much sleep because, and you may not know this because you're not on social media particularly anymore. I'm, I'm completely, I'll talk about that in a second. I'm completely off social media. Totally off. 100% off. Don't um, have it. Don't have it. Um, I am in the middle of a 45-day Twitter thread. Uh, I know this. Yeah. And you want to know what? What? My therapist is a Diehard Elvis Costello fan. Oh, really? Diehard. To the point that I bet you have stood next to each other at concerts. Oh, wow. And I sent my therapist your Twitter thread. Oh, good. Well, I, it, 
so knowing that I had this today, so it's a giant 12-hour hole in... This has been... Basically what I'm doing is Elvis Costello has a new album coming out on October 12th. Wait, I don't know the detail of how often you're posting this stuff. A lot. Is the fact that there is a 12-hour hole a problem for oh, the... absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the... Because, because that's so much yes um, five years ago the last time that Costello uh, released like when he did his album with the Roots yeah um, and that's the last full kind of album that he did his last solo album was 2010 yeah and then the Roots kind of like tricked him into making an album like he wouldn't have made an album but they wanted him to so they sort of like got him going and sort of made it. They left the trail of M&M's leading to a recording studio. Well, they, they basically, like, he, they got him to come start hanging out. You know, there's that studio right where they do the Tonight right. Show, and it's like, let's just work on some stuff, and before you knew it, like, and they got him And Elvis is wild going. about Reese's Pieces. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, they got him going, and, they, and so it was like he got excited about it, but he wouldn't have on his own yeah. made another album at that point. Everything he's done since 2010, recording-wise, has been because someone else puts up like the money or the session time or he's just like been completely off the grid in terms of like his impulse to make an album. So five years ago when that album came out, I did a thing on Tumblr, which was 40 Days of Elvis Costello, yes. where every day I did a post about a different album or thing chronologically. Yeah. And it was fun and it was like a, but I could work ahead on that. I could like, Right, you can bank that stuff. If I had a busy, I, if I had a free day, I could get stuff ready so that the next day I wouldn't have to work so much. You could do that with Twitter too. Not as much at, not the way I'm doing this. <laughs> um, <laughs> you be, can, but I'm not. I mean, maybe you could, but not. It, it, here's the thing. So I decided part of it is. Oh, because you're doing replies to tweets. Yeah, and also it's just uh, even if I. Even if I banked a lot of stuff, it would be like having a bunch of yarn in my apartment. It would just be like, ah, it's a mess. Like, Which is not far off from sometimes, yeah. <laughs> sometimes off. Um, so basically, like, uh, I did this thing where for 40 days I did these posts, and it got a little bit of attention. Like, Stephen Mandel, who was producing the Roots album, he got into the, these posts and stuff, and it was, like, kind of fun. But it was mostly just a, way, a ritualized way of, like, at that point it had been three years since the new album had come out, so I was like, I'm going to... Rather than work, part of my celebration of the album coming out is I'm going to listen to his whole, I'm going to like binge listen to his right. whole body of work leading up to the new thing. And so I decided I wanted to do it for this one because he has a new album coming out. And I think when, when we did our last episode, I don't know whether I was done with or whether I was in the midst of doing my Porky Pig mega thread on Twitter. I think you were in the middle of it. I was or in the middle had... of it because I have a story from that thread that I'll get to in a little bit. Oh no. So basically where I did this thing where I started tweeting... Porky Pig noticed it and retweeted it? Worse. And, oh, uh, no. Oh, no. I violated... Here, here's a tease for a story that's going to happen in a little bit. I violated one of my core principles, and I paid the price online. No. And uh, so, so what we might have remember from the last episode is I did this unbroken Twitter thread about watching all of the 1930s Porky Pig black and white cartoons, watching 101 Porky Pig cartoons. If you've just, if you've just started listening to the podcast, yeah. you now understand the spectrum of Connor Ratliff. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, unbroken tweet because, blog posts of Porky Pig and Elvis Costello. 
well, and since then, like after that, I did one Twitter thread that I really enjoyed doing that went on way longer than I thought it would, which is I decided I would watch all of the Roadrunner cartoons in order. Right. And the main thing I was excited about originally was I'm going to, there's also those Ralph Wolf and Sam Sheepdog cartoons, which are basically, he's basically the coyote. It's basically like a, right. a sort of side, sideways, flash sideways uh, version of the Roadrunner. And I wanted to see the way those things, de- the way they developed, because there's a, an impression people have of the Roadrunner cartoons that they're all the same. Right. And if you watch them, and they're never arranged chronologically, you're always just seeing, like there's one thing, which is that you have the impression that the coyote is like falling off the cliff in every single cartoon, right. or getting hit by boulders in every single cartoon. It's, it's actually, there's a couple of cartoons where it's really heavy, and then it might be once or twice in some other cartoons, but they all kind of blur together. It's very interesting to watch them in order and to realize like... I thought you were going to pull a Luke, I am your father, where it's like, actually, the coyote never falls off the cliff. He never falls off. Uh, we remember it as if he does, but yeah. go look at them. He never does. He actually catches the Roadrunner in every cartoon, and no one remembers that. <laughs> yeah. Each cartoon ends with a bloody dismemberment. Yeah, it's of like the Rocky. It's like you know he doesn't win in the end. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing is that um, Ralph Wolf and Sam Sheepdog start off as uh, enemies, like outside of work, and then they, within like a cartoon or two, they realize. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if they're kind of cordial and friendly when before they clock in and then right. their jobs are I'm a se- I'm a sheepdog I remember I'm a wolf. that yes and then they make it that they're neighbors like they live in houses next to one another and they like one of them will like throw the other's newspaper off of the thing so it's closer to the you right. know they'll, they'll kind of like help each other out and they're nice to each other and in the very last Ralph Wolf and Sam Sheepdog cartoon they live together and wow they are they share a home together that's interesting i i know there's news this week because the there's the whole bert and ernie i don't know if you've seen the news about one of the sesame street writers confirmed that he when he wrote bert and ernie cartoons he thought of them as a gay couple that lived together i didn't know that i mean this was just yesterday this was announced the internet is always and frank oz has pushed back hard on that that he said of course they're not why does it matter etc like and people are mad at Frank Oz because uh, he's like, he's saying, this one writer says they were, I don't think they are, or whatever. Right. But I do believe by the end of that that I'm like, it's like 1960 or 1961 or whatever. I do believe that Ralph Wolf and Sam Sheepdog might be in a romantic relationship. Right. That the people writing, it's the last time they did one of those cartoons. And I'm like, let's just have them live together. They're having breakfast together. They look like a domestic couple. Right. And... I actually think that makes the whole cartoon so much more interesting. It's almost more like it's almost like uh, what's that Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, the Mr. and Mrs. Smith, where they're right. like spies trying to kill each other, but they're also married. Right. Um, but anyway, so I did this long Roadrunner thread that went on for months because that was one thing was I wanted to see the way it evolved. They they don't repeat jokes very often, like the right. the original Chuck Jones, Michael Maltese, like the right. They did not repeat jokes. Once Michael Maltese stopped writing them, then they started repeating jokes. But it was like, they actually, and these would come out like a year apart, sometimes two years apart, maybe occasionally two in one year. I was like, they actually worked really hard to not like, well, we already did that joke. Let's not right. do it again. And it was, I was pretty impressed by like, there's like 40 cartoons where it's like, they don't repeat. They always are thinking of a new thing. Then you get to a point where they start, other people start doing them very cheaply and they're bad. And then you get to an age where they're sort of like done occasionally for television. 
And then there's a point where they start trying to, Warner Brothers will occasionally do like a one-off short in the 90s. Right. And those aren't good. And then there's this weird patch of 3D CGI Roadrunner cartoons. There's like four of them that were done in the 2000s. Right. And they're actually really good. They actually use the the full scope of... Because it's like computer CGI animation is often really good at like action sequences. Yeah. They're actually like... These are actually really good cartoons. And then they did a bunch of varying uh, quality like two-minute, three-minute long shorts for like Cartoon Network. Right. So I ended up following, charting all of those and it ended up going longer and longer than I... Now they're making a... They're making a, f- a feature film, a feature... Wiley Coyote movie is being developed. They just announced. So Direct yeah. to video? No, for theater. Interesting. Someone's There's like, been a couple of those where they've, like, the, the famous, like, uh, Gendy Tarkovsky, mm-hmm. Tarkovsky, whatever, however you say his name, uh, the guy who did Dexter's Lab and all those things. Yeah. He did his, like, Popeye thing. Yeah. That ended up going nowhere. But, like, they've been trying to be like, oh, can we crack the card on these old cartoons? Yeah. These IPs that kids don't really interested in, don't really know the characters, but can we get them re-excited? Right. I feel like people are like, if we can make Minions a thing, can't we make Bugs Bunny a thing again? Can right. we make Popeye a thing again? And it's interesting to try. Like, I don't have any objection to someone trying to, it doesn't undo the original stuff. I do, no. often when I see stuff like that, I'll sometimes think, I would rather just see what new character that person would come up with. Yeah. But so anyway, so I've done these long threads, and I kind of... Uh, Part of what I like about them is there's, it's a stupid thing to do. It's a misuse of the... Yes. Of the, Twitter is made for you to be like, hey, boop, boop, dee, dee. And then the thread was like, how about if I do five, boop, boop, beep, beep, boop, boop. And it's meant to, I want to say a paragraph's worth of yeah. things. And I'm doing them for things that last months now. Well, I was just talking about this with um, an old, old researcher that I used to work with. Um, I can talk more about the social media stuff after this, but one of the things I was saying is like, also it's been insane to me seeing people being like, I read this great, uh, you know, this person did this like tweet storm about blank yeah. and I read this great thing. And it's like, if you added those tweets together, it'd be like a paragraph. Yeah. Like a paragraph written in the style of like a, a sixth grader. You know what I mean? Where yeah. it's like fact, 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 fact. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think it's been so funny that people people feel like these, you know, eight long, eight, eight tied together tweets summarize a big thing. And then it's funny because now you're actually using it for a long form thing. And I, you're up to like hundreds, right? Well, let me look to see where I am on this current one because I started, I'm on day 22. I think today's day 22 of the and 45 days. how many days. of them do you do a day? A lot because I'm going through each album and sometimes I'm going through track by track, and then I'm like, here's some TV appearances from that year. Here's some, like, some of them are like, here's the song that this is quoting. Here's a song that influenced this. Here's part of an interview from that year where he did this. Um, Trying to see. I mean, is there a way of even counting these? I don't even know how to. No, I don't think so. I don't think it's built for that. Well, but here's the thing. So the, the advantage of it is that the original tweet where I announced, like, here's what I'm doing, obviously gets floated every time I tweet something. So that right. original tweet um, is, and that's the thing that like people retweet if they're like, oh, check out this like yeah. thread or whatever. Um, last time I checked, that one was up to like 250,000 impressions or something. It had been seen like a lot. 
Um, wow. And, but it's mostly just like, I want people to be excited about this album the way I'm excited about it. So I figure like, if, you, if people don't like this, I was like, they'll, they'll mute me yeah. quickly, hopefully. And for people who are into it, you know, it's like he has, he's an obsessive music fan himself. He, he's the kind of person who does like, like Elvis Costello has done like articles for Vanity Fair where it's like, here's a list of 500 albums you should own. So it's like... I'll also say there's something funny, not funny about you, but you are one of the... It's up to 312,000 uh, impressions on Twitter. Wow. That first tweet. Is it fair to say that you're one of the foremost Elvis Costello fans? I would say there are probably fans who are more accurate. There are probably fans We've who We've had this conversation yeah. 10 times on the podcast. Yes. I, now that I've realized I've asked this question 100 times. Yeah. But I would say um, I'm, probably, um, I'm probably building up in terms of like, um, I think there are people who write better about him. There are people who have a better uh, uh, command of the facts. There's people uh, that are more like obsessive over the yeah. objects and the yeah. ownership of things. But I would say that... Um, my level of obsession and like deep dive like knowledge of and uh, my knowledge is high high enough at a certain level my enthusiasm i think is a healthy kind of enthusiasm because uh i i'm not only interested in that and it's also like it leads me to be interested in other kinds of music i also think it's like it's a healthy obsession in the sense that like I just like this music. I see a lot. I've I've interacted with some Costello fans who will be very kind of like it starts to curdle into kind of a bitter thing where right. it's just like they get mad if they like. I, I it's like I, people who like take a drug for a long time and it no longer makes them good. It's just about not making. It yeah, they're bad. not. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember Will Hines and I went to a Costello concert a few years ago, and there were a few people that I I don't know personally, but I I sort of know them from yeah. being a member of an online Costello community for. A while. And they were going to all of the concerts in a row, like multiple right. concerts in multiple cities. And they were like really mad that he would kept playing this one song. It's like one of his classic yeah. songs he likes, one of his best songs. And they were like, oh, if I never hear that song again, it'll be too soon. And I was like, you know, like you have to have some perspective that it's like, this tour isn't designed for you to follow around. Yeah. Like this is designed for, he's going from place to place to sing to different people. The, the show can't be catered to people who are traveling the three of to you. follow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and like, so like, I think I, like, I'm not the type who would ever get mad. It's like, why is he playing that again? You know, that's sort of just like, yeah. Um, and I think probably mixed a little bit with, um, that like, I, I do interesting things in my own life that make me like a, an interesting spokes fan sort of that yes. like um in like some of the twitter thread is maybe stuff that's just like hey this song's great which anybody could do but i think there's an aspect of it just like we're doing a 12-hour podcast there's an aspect to like i'm gonna do a twitter thread that lasts 45 days yeah and every day i'm gonna focus on a certain thing the thing it takes time is and this is part of why i did it the thing I did on Tumblr, I had all these links like YouTube and other right. Tumblrs I set up. Half of those got shut down by like copyright bots since then. Right. And so what I'm doing on Twitter is if I have a point to make about a song, I will uh, 
add the song on my phone onto a video that I've made for each album that has like just just basic like slideshow images like right. of the album, so I can post like 140 seconds of audio from any given song. Sometimes I'll break the song up if I want yeah. someone to be able to hear the whole thing. But I sort of feel like it's different than piracy because it's you can't you can't take it off of the tweet even if yeah. you could. It's only two minutes and 20 seconds of a song. Right. But it's enough to I think maybe give someone a taste that it's like go. F- if you're interested, go find these in the places where right. it streams or you can buy it or whatever. But that adds a lot of work to it in that I've got to, every day I've got to like download the files, make, uh, render the files for the songs. You're basically doing all the work of making like an Elvis Costello documentary. Yeah, but in the most ephemeral medium, uh, like the right. most garbage throwaway uh, uh, form of communication. Well, what's funny to me, here's a story that I'll say to people that are listening but like that always makes me laugh when I think of you is there was one night where uh, Robbie Hoffman had come to New York to work on uh, the Gethard show. And it was her, one of her first weekends in New York and we wanted to make her feel welcome. So we decided to all go out and there was this um, like food. food fair in Queens. Yeah. And so you, me, her, Chris, a couple other people went to uh, this food fair and uh, while we're there, it's like dark. There's, you know, it's lit by like police lights and things like that. It's a fun little like yeah. community fair thing. We're sitting on this like bench and all of a sudden this guy comes up to you and starts talking to you and we're all at one side of picking table and you're sort of talking to this guy and the guy's talking to you with sort of the reverence that <laughs> like a player would talk to like an old coach right? that he saw out in the wild or um, someone would talk to someone that, oh, that I read your, you know, I, I saw you perform uh, this play or this thing. And I just want to say, and you sort of had a, you adopted a, a posture and a look <laughs> of sort of a, 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 a gracious conversation partner, right? Um, but not one of familiarity and, you weren't putting on status, but it was clear that this person was sort of yeah. talking to you. And we, we couldn't tell who this guy was because he was... Had he's to like be, 20 years older. He had to be like, yeah, 20 years your senior. And we're sort of like, who is this guy? <laughs> There's this like, older man who's come up to me, and I'd forgotten about this. And, I didn't know where you were going with the story, and now I remember entirely, yeah. And we're sort of like, what is this interaction that's happening? Like, or it's almost as if like you had been someone that like years ago, like this guy had been mugged, and you helped him... Yeah. Go to, and this guy walks away, sort of shakes your hand, and you come yeah. back to the group, and you sort of brush it off like you don't want to talk about it. You just sort of want to get back to the group, yeah. and we're all like, "Hold up!" Her Gethard being like, "Wait, hold on!" It's just like yeah. you have to explain what just happened, and you're just like, "You're like, oh, that was just," and we're like, "No, what was that?" And you're like, "Oh, that's just someone who recommend recognized me from the Elvis Costello community." Yeah, um, and he just was aware of who I was from that. Well, because there's a funny thing, which is that like I joined. There's a thing called Costello L, which was a mailing list in the mid '90s, and kind of in the same way that I was active in television without pity message boards as an Arrested right. Development fan, I was always an enthusiast. I was always someone who was like, "No, the new album is good," or I was always like, right. "Hey, you got to hear this," or you know, I was always like enthusiastic and. Right. A weird thing that's happened now is that, like, over the past couple of years, um, as I've started to, like, pop up in little things in, like, various TV shows and stuff, is that it's weird that people are, are people 
who know me from this Costello yeah. fan community are starting to like see me in comedy things or and see me in TV dots. things yeah. and be like, that's the guy who's been on this mailing list for 30 years, you know? Right. Um, 20 years, not 30 years. Um, and, but it's still a long time to be like it's kind of cycling around. a long time. And, um, yeah, so anyway, so, I'm, so last night I was like, I got to get a head start because today the album is... This is also the answer to the question of... Why I didn't sleep last night. We, both of us didn't sleep last night. Yeah. Um, today the album is Brutal Youth, which was the first new Costello album to come out after I became a fan. So I have a lot to say about and that's this a, one. that's an album that you've always said is a good entry point. Great entry point. It's one of my top two Costello albums. I think it's a perfect record. And uh, uh, if Mike Yerg were here, he'd say the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and um, and so I was like, I want to at least get because I'm gonna know I'm gonna be taking a break from like ten something to ten to eleven something or whatever. Yeah. Say so I'm gonna tonight. I will continue the the because I'm like I can't do it. It's it's too much. It's too much distraction because it's a lot of like download a song, look for a link. It would know, have been a lot of yeah. And. Um, so I was up until shortly before you texted. Like, I had just gone to sleep when you texted that thing, Oh, I wow. Think. Wow. Um, That's a late night, because I texted you at 5 a.m. Yeah, I was, I probably went to sleep about 4.20, 4.30. And, and it was just like, um, because I also decided within this, like, within this uh, Twitter thread, um, I wanted to do a tangent uh, that related to, there was a, there's a, Singer songwriter slash author that I that I actually know personally now. He's named Wesley Stace. His uh, uh, singer songwriter name I knew originally was John Wesley Harding. Right. And before I was a Costello fan, I was a fan of his. Like uh, my friend Jeff Falzone had like loaned me a couple of CDs and I liked them or I'd heard them when he was playing them and asked to borrow them. And we went to see him in concert and all kinds of things. And he was a guy who in his first couple of studio albums, Costello's band had like split from him and he used the drummer and bass player from Costello's band. And he was a British singer-songwriter who right. was like um, much more like good-looking than Elvis Costello, but also was like smart and caustic and right. wrote clever songs. But like Costello did not like this and was very like, very unkind about John Wesley Harding in interviews back then. Uh, even though he never, he's, and, but, uh, Mikey and I, Mike Yerg and I played, uh, at, I had Wesley Stace on my George Lucas talk show at UCB. Right. And then, uh, um, uh, Mikey and I did a show at City Winery that was part of his show that he does this thing called the Cabinet of Wonders where he has like comedians and authors and musicians and they all like, right. It's a real fun, like kind of a party of a variety show so this that must be a fun full circle thing for you it's very strange and surreal to go from being like a teenager being a fan of someone to being like so i decided like oh, do i want to fold in my little personal history yeah. of this into the tweet will that annoy him because uh you know the comparisons and things like that and but then i was like no i'll just tweet a bunch of his songs into it and say like because maybe some people who haven't heard this will be like oh these are like yeah good albums or whatever um, but it is like, uh, yeah, it, it is funny how many things go full circle like that where you uh, have a relationship to someone at some point and then decades later, uh, it's different. 
or right. you come across your paths cross with people in in unexpected ways. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Which I feel working in this industry it happens a lot. Yeah. Where you're like, "Oh, I, this is odd now that this is a person in my life or an interaction that I had or a yeah." Yeah. Um now I'll I'm going to give you this example of um I'm going to look it up and find it, but this is so I was doing this porky pig thread and you made a dire mistake. And I The, oh God, it's, this is going to give me a, a, a bad feeling when I look it up because I found it. You don't have to talk about it if you no, want No, no, I would. I, no, I think it's important to talk about it. Um, well, maybe I can't. Maybe I can't find it. Um, so Frizz Freeling is a uh, direct, classic director. Yeah. Won Oscars. He's one of the Looney Tunes, Mary Melodies, Warner Brothers directors. Yeah, I think I know this going. Do you know this story? Did I no, this? but I think I can intuit it. Okay, he was not my favorite. Chuck, I was always a Chuck Jones guy. Yeah. But Fritz Freeling is great. And um, I got to this point, this was in, no, this was in the Roadrunner thread. It wasn't in the Porky Pig thread. It was in the Roadrunner thread. I got to a point where there was Chuck Jones and Fritz Freeling, when they got older, became these kind of like grand old men of, right. um, of animation. And the... Uh, they, Chuck Jones kind of developed a style as an older director of animation that wasn't, wasn't quite what his, like, uh, it wasn't, wasn't what it was in his heyday, but it was like, you know, like when a, when a, when an actor or musician finds a different way of yeah. playing as an old, and it's, and it was like graceful. It was very like, for the most part, it was like, oh good, he still like got yeah. a certain like spark to it. And the, uh, Chris Freeling did not have the same uh, when I, things that he animated. Like there was a movie called the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie where the, all the interstitial segments were new by Chuck Jones, and they look great. They don't look as good as the old classics, but they're like a new right. style. Chris Freeling then did a couple of movies like the Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie, Daffy Duck's Fantastic Island, a couple of things where the new animation noticeably looks terrible, and it's. Partly it's limited animation, but partly it's just the, the drawing style is not what it was. And the, t- it. the comic timing isn't what it was. So it got to this point where um, there was like a Christmas special where uh, Frizz Freeling directed several, most of the segments in it. It's like a, like a whatever the, um, whatever the, uh, uh, Whatever the, I don't remember the name of it, but whatever the the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes Christmas special, you can find it. You'll see yeah. it. Seventy percent of it is Frizz Freeling stuff, and I think it doesn't look great. Some of it's pretty rough. And then there's a Roadrunner cartoon in the middle of it that was a new Roadrunner um, Chuck Jones short, and it's really good. Yeah, not great, but it's good. And I'm tweeting all this stuff, and I did this tweet where I said. Um, First feeling's great, but boy, oh boy, uh, <clears throat> some of this later stuff is really rough. And uh, I'm going to see if I can find. So I tweeted this thing. And this violates the thing we've talked about a lot, which is like I try to be positive online because there's so much negativity. Yeah. And I particularly about creative stuff, particularly about like other people's creative 
projects. I try to be uh, good about not being shitty because I feel like the worst thing that people tweet is stuff like not funny or, you know, like, I watched this, I didn't laugh yeah, once. it feels bad. And it's just like, yeah, it doesn't... Great, so now we know that you didn't like a thing. Like, other people did, and it's just like... Yeah. What did you gain by this? Or it's like, yeah, mistake. you, you make mistakes sometimes. Yeah. So I tweeted this thing, and... Oh, boy. Yeah, I just found it. Um... And I said, Freeling is a legend, but unlike Jones, his late 70s, 80s style is not good at all. Either the look of it or the timing. I find this clip painful to watch. And I had a clip of it. Ooh, that's pretty harsh. It's pretty harsh. And then I get a tweet from a Twitter account that is Frizz Freeling family. Because Frizz Freeling has passed away. Yeah. So these are his... This is what I thought was going to happen. And the response is... This bridging segment was not directed by Frizz. And I was just, I was like, why did I tweet that? Why did I feel the need to shit on Frizz feeling on a Christmas special directed for TV? Why did I do this? Like, this is the thing that I've talked about for years. Don't be pointlessly negative. But I was just like, I was tweeting, I was tweeting, and I got to a certain point, and then I was just like, here's my opinion. Well, especially when Here you're... Comes. Especially when you're talking about something that is small or obscure or feels like yours. Yes. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that happens a lot on the internet is that something feels like it's yours or that you understand it or you... Uh, and I don't mean this in a palpable way. Like, you don't consciously believe this, but you emotionally feel like you have some sort of ownership yeah. over either this person or their work in your head. Like, you think you understand them. Yeah. And the truth is, of course, you never will. You never do. It's not yours. It's someone else's. And... So you have opinions. And for you, you're like, well, because this is mine, there's Everyone's so much listening. that's good about it. And there's yeah. also things that are bad. And it's okay to acknowledge all of that. And, but you forget that. And also, that goes out into the world just as negativity. And, and also, especially in this, it's one thing for me to do hundreds of tweets about how great the Roadrunner is and then put in a criticism of Chuck Jones or the Roadrunner. Yeah. This wasn't a tweet about Sylvester and Tweety or, yeah. or any of the things that Frizz Freeling specialized in. He never did a Roadrunner cartoon. So it's just like, first Freeling makes a cameo in this thread, and I take it as an opportunity to go negative. Right. And, and then immediately, um, and so I tweeted back at them, uh, fuck you. No. No, I was like, <laughs> I tweeted back at them, oh yeah? Um, no, I tweeted back, that is a relief to learn. Thank you for the correction, and sorry if any offense was caused by my mistake. I should not always trust IMDb listings. And I put a photo of a terrified and panicked-looking Sylvester the Cat with it. Yeah. And then they liked that tweet. They clicked like on that tweet. So I'm like, okay, I didn't fix it, but it, at least... Now, did you, did you delete that tweet? I couldn't, because it's in the middle of the thread. If I delete that tweet, the thread breaks. <sighs> See? Because I was already like... This is the hard part. So it stays there forever. I'll also say this because we're deep into the podcast. We're not that deep. We're deep enough. If he didn't direct that bridging segment, who did? Because he is listed as the director of the episode. <laughs> this, is, this is like, and it, this is now like a, like a, <laughs> like a uh, true crime thing where it's like, <coughs> oh, this one thing's happened. But the implications of that. But who did direct that then? I still do believe that he directed it. 
because otherwise, because and certainly his name is on it as director of everything except like the the episode is Fritz Freeling, and the and they spe- specify that he didn't direct the Roadrunner cartoon. Yeah, but also you work in TV and you see how many things. Yeah. But it also but miscredited this, but, and but the clip the, and... also the clip that I was um, the clip that I was pointing to was like a particularly egregious little moment, but it wasn't particularly different than most of the rest of the episode. So it was one of those things where it was like um, I believe that the family gave is, you an instance to move back on the harsh criticism. Yes. And you should just accept that as a gift. I do. I do. Um, because I'm fully, like... <coughs> the... It was such a mistake for me to do it. And, it. and it is entirely possible that it's that. But it's also, like... I... The fact that I couldn't delete it from the thread. And I also couldn't really... I was so far past it by the time this happened that it was, like... Uh, anything be anything more than an apology just makes it worse. Yeah, and um, yeah, so that was my my comeuppance Stop. for. Well, so that that spills over into I am now. I guess nine months, ten months, fully off social media in its entirety. And I don't mean like, oh, I only check it once a week. Like, off, off, off. Uh, Facebook account, fully deleted. Does not exist. Um, Gone. Now, could you reactivate that? Is it, no. it, how does it work? No, I did, I did blast this into space. I did that version of That's it. That's an option? Yeah. They say we'll lose all your information. Yeah, it says it'll take, it could take a couple months or it'll something like that. It'll take decades for us to... Yeah. Scrub this. I, I do wonder, though, if I log back in, if it would be like, oh, psych, we saved it. Here. Um, but I don't want to try. Um, <coughs> my Twitter account and Instagram account exist. But they're in cold storage. They're in cold storage. Um, and you'll never go back. No. Um, because I'll tell you that... And it's not just that. So it's like... Twitter account, obviously, I, I, I would only ever have a tweet at a time up, and now it's obviously just nothing. Um, but it's a private lockdown. I don't even have the app. I have two-factor authentication. Um, so if I wanted to log back in, it would take me yeah. time to do it. I we are solving the mystery of who's tweeting if anyone tweets oh. a 12-hour day. It's a fun game. People love to play. You just got the answer. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, Instagram, uh, it's still up. My old photos are there, but it's private. I haven't checked on it in those. Yeah. I think I've had to go on twice because there's someone who I haven't had their email address, and I've just sent them a message saying, hey, can I get your email address? Yeah. But I don't check it. I, I'm, I think both of them will have, uh, like, follow approval, you know, people that want to follow because they're all private, and it's, I just don't even look at it. So yeah. if you're listening and... Don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. Um, just... Because I found, I think I talked about this in the last episode, how I had a couple interactions for people using social media appropriately, trying to have a conversation about things. And I, 
I didn't want. I, I, it, it caused me negativity, and I realized that I was not yeah. interested in that conversation. How many months are you clean? Ten. Ten months? Yeah. Um, you love it. And I love it, because here's what started happening. After the... F- and, and beyond just social media, I've also... Um, my phone doesn't make any noises or vibrate anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't keep it on my person as often. Uh, I've also taken a bunch of my email accounts (coughs) off my phone Mm -hmm. so that I don't get those emails unless I go home and check my email. Yeah. Um, Even things like like, uh, Reddit and things like that, I just try not to... I'll I'll check like the NBA subreddit or something like that. That's just like a niche sort of uh, thing. Or I'll have my sites that I go to for politics or Mm -hmm. subscriptions for things like that. But I just... uh, Me personally, and this is not an edict that I think... It needs to be for everyone. No I, judgment. Please keep following 12-hour J.D. Connor on Twitter. And it's like, I think I think there's so much good that can come from social media. I yeah. think there's a lot of people that are given a voice and an opportunity to say things that might not otherwise get that. Yeah. I think there's also, the flip side, though, is... Um, Great place to argue with strangers. Yeah, there's just a lot of negativity. Yeah. And especially for sort of the place that I've been in the past 10 months... I feel like it just hasn't been a healthy thing for me. And then what happened was, um, I mean, that, that was a new thing. It was behind my desk. The little science is full attention. Just because I realized with all the social media stuff mm-hmm. and the phone and all that stuff, yeah, I was never really giving people my full attention. Even when I was, and yeah. I noticed it coming back, is that people wouldn't give, you know, you'd be talking yeah. to someone and people would, out of a nervous habit, you'd sort of check your phone as a way to sort of yeah, divest from the social interaction and it was just feeling bad and then so i stopped it and like an addiction it was interesting because for the first couple weeks after i got rid of those things i would find myself doing the thing where i'd take out my phone open it and then like swipe to where the app was like feeling like i wanted to open it and look at it get that uh yeah it's like a rat in a thing getting a get a treat if you 100 percent and then I'd feel myself checking my phone or wanting to check the thing or do the thing. And yeah. it was just, I could tell that my brain chemistry had been changed by it. That whether I liked it or not, this was a, yeah. a feedback loop where, and it was like a drug where it was like the feeling of good feelings had gone away. And now it was just to remain baseline in the loop. I had, to, you know, and I think out of so many people, I, I wasn't social media crazy in the first place, but still, even I had it. And I would tweet yeah. once every three weeks, but <clears throat> it was still this feeling of... It's definitely an addiction. I'm definitely addicted to it. Um, I don't have the feeling uh, like um, like a lot of people, the, the, cl- the cliched addict thing is like, well, I can quit whenever I want. I don't feel like I qu- can quit whenever I want. But I also... I feel like my way of doing what you're doing is like, um, I mean, you know, as someone who's like, I mean, if I, I don't really have a job right now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's also like someone, it's like those like, like whatever Maury, where it's like someone that's like, I don't have a problem eating couch cushions as they're like eating couch cushion. Yeah. Well, there's you know, half a couch in the room. The thing is like this thing that I'm doing right now, on the one hand, it's it's very stupid, and I'm aware of, of it being stupid. 
Like it's a, it's a, it's an insane thing to do in the same way that, but to me it's a yeah. similar thing as this podcast, which is like. I would say something being stupid or insane, insane doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah, I can do it. Um, but there's also, in, in some ways, because uh, I'm also, I'm already, I have a plan for, I want, I'm going to do another long Twitter thread later in the year. Um, and it's a, kind of in the same way that like this podcast is a way of hanging out. Yeah. Uh, and being friends. Some of these Twitter threads are ways of making sure that I do this other thing, which is like the focus on these albums, like to do this 45 right. day like listing party. But I'm also kind of like doing, doing a public uh, sharing of like, hey, if you're interested in this, I want to show you some things that right. you might not have noticed. Right. And uh, um, the. And like uh, 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 Ryan Johnson retweeted the, the yeah. top. Uh, tweet of the Costello thread last week uh, and so I'm like oh this is like getting to people who are like yeah um, like that's I'm not saying I'm going to be in a Star Wars movie but if I am there's a chance that this Twitter thread would have brought me closer to being a Star Wars movie than any acting uh, uh, work that I've done uh, <laughs> you know what I mean like that, there's weird ways that that sentence felt sad to me <laughs> yeah no but you know what I mean just in terms of like I'm not doing this to get anything out of it, but no, I wouldn't I be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if this like there's fun kismet in the universe that you put out there by yeah. putting your uh, tastes and feelings out there. Yeah, and that, in a way that there's no other outlet for. Yeah, and also I don't care if it leads to nothing except what it is. But there is a part of it's like uh, I have an idea for a book that I want to write a proposal for in that 33 and a third series. Right, um, and I feel like doing this will be. Something that will maybe lead lead to me being able to get that book proposal done and maybe given some consideration because of that, you know. You'd be great at writing a a book on a topic like this just because you love diving into. Yeah, I I, I feel like that would be. But I think, um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like I'm very cognizant of trying to... um, tailor the way that I use social media and learn, learn from mistakes on social media, like the first feeling fiasco, but also, which was a lesson I already knew, but it's like, sometimes you got to reteach yourself through like, yeah. Uh, um, but like trying to be like, put positive stuff out into the world. And, uh, there's also an aspect of like, I clearly am drawn a little bit towards like the fact that I do so much improv, which is like this ephemeral art form that you do it and it's over and then it's right. like, oh, you don't have anything to show for it. But there's a part of me that's kind of like the having something to show for impulse is not always a healthy one in my estimation because like, I'm very aware of the fact that like things that were once the biggest things in our cultural universe, eventually everything becomes small. Yeah. And you can, you can either become small or in the worst case scenario, it becomes ruined, you know, that like time changes it or something. Right. But like even like the most popular movies or shows or whatever, eventually you get to a point where people are not as interested as they were or they're not interested at all or they just fade from the thing where it's like, oh, everyone used to watch that. Now you can't even find it anywhere. Um, you think of like there was like a TV show like Family Ties or something. Yeah. That like this was 
a star making huge hit TV yeah. show. And if I made a reference to Family Ties at a show at UCB now, there would be the majority of the audience would have no idea what I'm talking about. Taxi, yeah. Yeah. And some people would maybe delighted to hear the reference or something, but just that like, oh, like doing a thing like a 45 day Twitter thread that people are engaged with now, on the one hand it's dumb because it's so disposable. And it's, but on the other hand, you could write a book about a musician and 10 years later it's like, well, no one reads that book because no one's paying attention to that musician. Anymore. You know, it's sort of like, yeah. these, there is a, an aspect to uh, the in the moment experience and, the, and being aware that like some of these legacy things, you know, you couldn't have had uh, a bigger footprint than like Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. Now, you know, you have to really seek out if you want to enjoy anything Johnny Carson ever did, you kind of have to like be on the lookout for it. You have to go find a clip or subscribe to a DVD series or something. This is something that while he was there, he was in everybody's lives. And now it's just sort of like, well, it's the memory and those are fading. Yeah. And don't mistake what I'm saying. There's no aspect of what I'm saying that is an indictment of people using social media. Oh, not at all. No. I'm just saying from my point of view that like I've, I've started, uh, on the one hand, while I'll dismiss it as like a stupid thing that I'm doing, it's also partly out of that thing of like, part of me does want to like create a TV show that people like, even the thing that I used to think of as like, and then you have the box set of the TV show. I'm like, well, that's now even an antiquated thing. It's right. like, that's for like specialists now who want a physical thing. It's like, well, it's got to be streaming. If it's not streaming, then no, people don't know what it is. And, uh, but I do have that impulse. So it's like, I want to create a thing that lasts. But most of me is like, yeah, but nothing lasts. So like, you gotta you gotta get comfortable with the thing that you're doing now. So, to that end, something that I find myself realizing is yeah. that, because um, you know, people have noticed that I've also, then I've had these discussions with a lot of people, and yeah, um, I found that there's a lot of things that social media tries to replicate that I think is sort of the McDonald's version of the thing. Oh yeah, interesting. And so, one of the things was when I when I need a little validation or a little good feeling or a little attention, which every every human I think feels the need for every now and yeah. then, or a little feeling of like, ooh, I put this out there and I made this thing, and I would whenever I had an inkling, social media would take over that, and I would you know post a photo or post a little thought on Twitter, <coughs> and even though I think especially in my voice, so much of it was trying not to be needy and see me and hear me and I'm here. Still, it was that. And that became the cycle of when I needed that. Every now and then, I would post something on social media and be a good feeling to see whatever. The 80 people like the photo and a couple people comment and have something yeah. to say or whatever. Um, and when I stopped suddenly I didn't have that outlet. Mm -hmm. And then something interesting happened, which is I, my brain sort of reverted back to how I was in college before social media was really a thing. Mm -hmm. And I started like drawing again and painting again and making things again because I no longer had that, oh, this is, this is how I can get that immediate yeah. cycle of, I have an idea, I've, come up with the idea, I put it out there, and people react to it. Now it was, well, I just have to make something and enjoy that process again. And yeah. I'm 
I'm not a great painter. It's been a while since I've drawn. I've been doing these like little like on the wall. I've been doing the what's that on the wall of those years? Uh, yeah, but just those are little color things. Like these little sculpture things. I've been making a ton of these, mm -hmm. which I don't think I'm ever gonna do anything with them. But I've just been making them because it's been feeling fun and yeah, like, it's been feeling creative. Yeah, um, I've started making these. Dude, you gotta open an Etsy shop. Uh, I, I actually, I started making these th these little jewelry pieces, which are like go over your button. Go over your button. Yeah. Um, and just wear them sort of like that. But I've been like making these sort of things, and I might yeah. I might actually open up like an Etsy you shop should. or something like that for that. But these like, are fun. Can I take a picture of these? Uh, yeah. yeah, no, no, not for now. Because I, I might put them out into the world at some point, but for now, it's just been this fun thing of making something. I want one of those button things at some point. I give them to you. Me some? Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you one. I don't need one of the ones you already made, but like, if you ever want to make one with me in mind, I'm making a ton of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was the kind of thing because I made it for myself. Yeah. Because I, I sort of liked it, and then I wore it to one of my best friend's weddings mm -hmm. growing up and a couple people were like, hey, what do I Google search to get one of those? I want to get them for my husband or I want yeah. one for myself. And I sort of, it was one of those things where I was sort of like, oh, well, I've just been making this for me. Yeah. And I was like, well, happily, and they're like, oh, you should sell them. If you sold them, I'd buy them. But anyways, it's something I hadn't done in years. Yeah. And by eliminating this shortcut to getting those feelings, right. suddenly my brain had to get creative again. Yeah. Similarly, um, it's that feeling of wanting to keep in touch with your friends. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times social media would make me feel like I was doing that when I wasn't. Yeah. And a lot of people have asked me like, oh, do you feel more out of the loop socially because of that? Or do you feel like you don't see, see people as much? Mm -hmm. and the answer is like, number one, yes, there's some things that I don't hear the update about immediately. Like recently we had some friends get engaged and it's like, oh, I didn't hear about it until a couple of days later when someone was like, oh, did you hear so-and-so got engaged? Which, it doesn't really bother me too much, you know what I mean? To just get the news slightly later. Um, but then also, it meant that the people who are truly my friends, people I'm in touch with, I will call on the phone and talk to, email, text, get lunch with, and I feel just as in touch and just as in the loop as when I was on social media. And in fact, sort of like making stuff, I feel that I'm, my interactions actually feel more like friendships again and yeah. more real than I can see 10 photos about what someone's up to and see their sort of funny takes on whatever's going on. But I don't actually get a sense of them as a person or as a friend. So it's, it's been interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's been feeling good, honestly. And there's some people for whom they can do all of those things without social media. But I found that it had sort of changed how my brain worked in a way that didn't fit me. Um, and I was just sort of um, inundated by thoughts and opinion, a lot of them negative that it just sort of, it wasn't for me. Um, 
but uh, you know, I'm trying to still have all the things I want without that. I also have a now. Here's 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 the indict here's the indictment part of this. Mm-hmm. This is where I start sounding like a crazy person, and this is more this is more like the theory that I sort of believe, but boy oh boy. Do I not expect anyone to get on board with this whole thought? Yeah. So, you have a little concern on your face. No, I'm just making a gif real quick. I hadn't realized that's the dumbest and worst possible response. <laughs> What's the gif you're making? I'm, I just realized that I should probably say that I'm taking a break in the Twitter thread just as a... Uh, so people are like, does he quit it? Is he, you know what I mean? And so I thought, well, I'll put a little fun gif with it. Uh, <laughs> I noticed Connor focusing very much on his phone as I said all of it. I realized, like, oh, I'm sending the wrong message right now. I was like, uh-huh, yeah, it's great, J.D. What GIF did you choose? I made a GIF from a video from the today's album. Um, Can I see it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <coughs> apologies. No, no. No, I'm, no apologies needed. Um, yeah, I'm just keeping it back open to my list of. Uh, so here's my theory. Things. Okay. Yeah. So there's been a lot of talk these days about artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. and you've heard these theories about how it's people are getting nervous that when AI develops. We're going to reach the singularity where computers will evolve faster than we. I used to talk about this uh, in the warm-up occasionally uh, for the Gethard Show. I would talk about the singularity. Really? And every time I did it, uh, someone would give me grief about it. Not in the audience. Someone in the show would come out and say something like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? So here's my thing, is that people are worried about artificial intelligence. Yeah. The idea that computers will get so smart that they're, they will be able to learn faster than we can and thus will be ahead of us and be able to sort of... Did you hear about that thing in the past year where those two computers started talking to each other and nobody knows what they said? Yeah. But so, I I think that's an interesting thing, interesting fear. Um, I think there's something even sort of scarier going on right now with social media. Yeah. Which is, it's one thing for there to be artificial intelligence where these computers are making choices and doing things. I think right now is that we have computers that are powerful and changing things but are unaware of it. So, for example, all the stuff that happened uh, on Facebook with the election, right? Right. It's these algorithms that have no self-awareness. It's just an algorithm that um, the end result is trying to get users to use Facebook more so that they can sell ads and have people people see the ads and spend more time on Facebook, right? Yeah. And then the algorithm started to learn that people were more engaged with Facebook and would spend more time there if they were discussing things. And then it learned that the more that people were, and didn't learn this, it, was, it wasn't like uh, knowledge, it was just... Uh, Numbers, it was just like the, stats. The, the, the patterns were that people would actually engage more with discussion on Facebook if it was an argument. Mm-hmm. And so Facebook, it was the thing that was big in the election was feeding people 
um, controversial articles or negative articles or things that maybe they disagreed with and putting things on people's feeds that were more controversial yeah. because that would engage people more. And because of that, I think it caused a lot of negativity and anger and actually changed some of the fiber of our culture. Yeah. And so artificial intelligence, uh, an all-knowing supercomputing brain that is making choices that are out of our control is one thing, but it's almost scary that it's like, uh, like social nanomachines, these algorithms that don't have any they sense don't have of, any, They don't have an intention. They have no they intention. Have, they have driving uh, uh, forces. They have utility, yes. Yeah. And it is kind of like this, one of those this things... This thing that doesn't care whether it's... It's almost like the Forrest Gump being there sort of thing. You ever see the movie Being There? Yeah. Uh, the Chauncey Gardner aspect of like, he's saying things and everyone else is like taking meaning from them. Right. That he then will keep you know, doing that or whatever and it will, it will be having an effect... Just the idea that it's like, oh, you like this? Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Yeah. And it's like not realizing how like hopped up everyone's getting on it, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, it, it's sort of making me nervous that it's like. It, it's like, it's like, a, like if a morphine drip didn't have any safeties on it or something. Right. And it's just like, oh, every time they press the button, they get some more morphine. And every time they feel pain, they press the button. Or if a, or if a, morphine, or if a morphine drip was designed to try to get you to press the button as much as possible. Yeah. And then it'd be like, all right, well, then more of this. Is that good for you or bad for you? I don't know. My job is to make you press the button more. Yeah. And so, like, I'm like, these things that now <coughs> take up a lot of our time and energy and that I felt physically change yeah. how my psychology, that my brain was working, that, like, my, I was addicted to this phone, was being determined by this algorithm that, that has no morality or no interest in my well-being. It just wants me to use the thing more. Yeah. Whether that's good for me or bad for me, it doesn't care. Yeah. That's starting to make me nervous. And I think that's sort of a, to me, that's almost like a more dangerous thing than artificial intelligence, which at least might have some objective morality. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad for us, I don't know. But um, Well, it's also interesting, like, how everyone... That's a crack, there's a crackpot theory also. By, by all means, I'm willing to admit that I sound like a crazy person as I'm I like... I think that is crazy. And, you know, it's sort of like the same way that, like, it seems like most objective observers of the economy, of, like, the working... Uh, yeah. of jobs and the modern workforce, that um, everyone who sounds smart talking about this all seems to say the same thing, which is that the automation is the thing that is taking jobs because the more things can just be done by a machine, the fewer reasons you have to need a person to do something. And, but it's easier for a lot of people to be like, someone else is taking my job. Right. And so like, because then you got a fight that you can have. Yeah. It's harder to fight against robots that like objectively like, well, that does what you did. Yeah. Like it's not, and we don't have to pay it. We just pay for it. And then... Yeah. Well, and it gets to that point where it's like, what... This is a completely different thought, but it's like, will there be a breaking point? So in Star Trek, right? The idea of Star Trek is that, like, you don't get paid for your job. It's just there is an inherent cultural understanding of everyone contributes and does their thing. Mm-hmm. And that there is there is some well, currency but it's not the same way that we I don't we think I knew that Picard never got paid. Yeah, I don't think people have salaries. I think 
I, I'm not deep enough. I mean, it makes sense. You never see uh, an episode of Star Trek that's about how Picard gets paid more than Troy. Right. Or something, you know? I think it's this kind of thing where it's like, oh, the, no one needs money anymore, and maybe it's only for resources or things like that. Yeah. But it's like, how do you make the jump culturally from... Because people talk about the automation. It's like, well, how do you yeah. how do you give people money to live if there's fewer and fewer jobs that we need people to do? It's funny because the there's all these like weird assumptions that are built into like there's a lot of people like I like the idea whenever I hear people talk about the idea that like people are just entitled to a living stipend. Yeah. Like. Like, like, I remember reading a thing years ago where they were like, well, the solution to the a large chunk of the homelessness problem is just build homes for the homeless and they go live in them. Right. And it's the kind of idea that you say it to someone who, you know, maybe has spent, you know, 20 years trying to pay off their mortgage and they're like, wait, you're just going to build and give a home. Like, people get mad about that kind of thing. But they're like, it's cheaper to build, like, a a housing complex and then say to the homeless people here, you can live here, you can live here, than it is to pay for all the various costs of right. having, a, a, you know, like tent cities and, and people on the streets, and that those things have costs. Like, you're paying for right. things, one or the other. Wouldn't you rather pay for a thing that actually is healthier for people and better, right. and it's better for the cities, and it's better, you know? And there's this idea of, like, well, you know, everybody's got to earn... Everybody's got to earn their money. Everybody, you know, if you're not working hard to earn your money. But there's also this weird system we have, which is like the better off you do, the more people make it easy for you, the more people give you things for free, the more, you know, like uh, famous people often get that thing where it's suddenly like uh, blind item. I was just talking to someone recently who was paying for something uh, and then got like an email saying like, wait, are you this person? And then they were like, you're not, you don't have to pay. We just canceled your order and we're sending it to you for free. And we'll also send you more stuff for free. And they were just like, I can afford to pay right. for this, you know? Right. And, <clears throat> but it is that thing of like, you see like rich people who'd be like, oh, do I get a free, uh, you know, bag with an iPhone in it? Do I get a free this? You know, like people wanting to get yeah. like free things. Uh and you think, well, gosh, aren't you at the point now where it shouldn't matter? Where it should just be like, right. oh, I have the money, I have to pay for this, you know? Yeah. And, but it, it it's largely on like the fact that like, like I, you know, like uh, in my dad's work, there were, you know, there'd be this thing where you'd notice like the the there'd be hierarchies of like people who would like the big boss at the work would do markedly less work than anyone in the actual office, but be paid like eight times what the next person right. down the rung was paid. And that person also probably has a lot of thoughts about people mooching off the system and people like, right. you know, that, that like, I wish that, I wish that we could get rid of some of that poison in the way people think about things. It's like, well, I think there's also a very American and I, I can only say it's American because I, I haven't lived anywhere else. So I can't speak to anywhere else, but it's mm-hmm. like people don't just want to live. They want to be better than other people. And they want to believe that they are exceptional in some way or that they can prove that they have earned this thing that is theirs and reflects the work they put into it. Yeah. Everybody wants to win, you know? Yeah. 
And I think that's what was bothering a little bit about social media is that it was putting that on paper in, yeah. in, a, in a couple of ways. And there's, a, there's ways that people use social media that's not that, but I, I think I was, ex I was noticing a lot of the ways where you could see that. And I was just like, for other people, they can, that's fine in that, um, there's people that have a healthy relationship with that. And for me, I was just like, I can see this taking away from my day to day. Yeah. I can see it causing more harm than good. I mean, and that, it's... But then how do you shift from a, you know what I mean? Like, how do you, there's probably like economists shouting at the podcast right now who are like, I've spent 10 years studying this. Mm -hmm. You're not going to solve this in one watch podcast us. conversation. Economists, sit back and watch us solve the economy. Okay, so incentives. You start with you cr you 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 create incentives. If they aren't there already, the raw material to create them exists. It's like a video game. You yes. level up. Level up. Power down. Power down. The new economy. Access jump. Um. Uh. Seriously though, if there are any economists listening to the podcast, welcome. Um. We uh, encourage your feedback. Um, economists only. Economists only, please. Hashtag. Let, let, let's do our first hashtag of the episode. First hashtag of the episode. Um, here's what, here's what we'd like you to do. Connor will relate to me these hashtags. Here's what, we, here's what we would like you to do. If you're listening to this right now, and uh, those of you who haven't been encouraged by JD's uh, uh, sermon. And I, it's not, it's not a leave sermon. Social media. I don't need... I don't, <laughs> You don't need to. You don't I need to. I just you found, I found for me. You found the light. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but if you, if you want to be on social media right now. If you sinners must you see the porky sinners. pig tweets stacking upon each other. Uh, look up on Twitter as many economists uh, as you can find and tweet at that economist, the hashtag economists only. No, not as many. I'd say each um, each viewer pick one. Yeah, but uh, uh, maybe let's. What's a more fun thing if you're an economist? What's a hashtag that you'd like to get? I love the economy. Um, These are all options. We're not going to take any. Keep off the it table. classy. Uh, <laughs> what what a, a a horrible and dark catchphrase for economists. Um, don't even hashtag it. Just tweet at an economist. You're so money and you don't even know it. That's the classic line from Swingers. Uh, Vince, Vaughn, Vince Vaughn says that. You're so money and you don't even know it. Does that sound negative? Maybe that's too negative. Maybe it's too perplexing. Um, Th how, about, how about... Thanks for the work you do. Uh, yes, thanks for the work you do. Um, another thing you could tweet at them is, um, can I ask you one question about the economy? Uh, and then when they respond... You go, that was it. <laughs> you go, thanks. When they go, sure. Say thanks. Thanks. Yeah. That's um, the one I'm going for. That's what I want you to do is tweet at an economist. Hey, can I ask you one question about the economy? And then if they respond, thank them. And if, yeah, if they respond, thank them. <laughs> um, and thank them and then... Uh, at 12 hours then block JD them <laughs> <laughs> thank them and then block them um, what do you think about blocking as a person who's not on social media what do you think about the practice of blocking I think it doesn't it's matter great. to you I think it's great 
block whoever you need to block. Um, you get notified when someone blocks you, though, right? No, I don't think so. Oh. Um. <coughs> hey, here's yeah. something. Give me something, JD. So, you recently had a birthday. I did. I'm 43. Uh, I turned 30 between this podcast and the last. Between the pods? Between the pods. 30, the big 3 Dirty 30. <laughs> That's me. Dirty 30. Um, how's it feel? It feels good. It feels fine. Um, I have started to equate certain changes in my life to age, I think because... 30 is such a round number mm-hmm. that I'm like, ah, yes, this is me getting older. Yeah. Um, I mean, when, when I was, when I turned 30, I was pretty much at rock bottom in terms of, uh, when I was 30, I was the least successful person that I knew personally. Oh, interesting. Um, because at that point, my... Marriage had ended, and I had no career prospects, and I had nothing creative going on. Right. So I had some friends. That was good. But I had none of the markers to distinguish from 20 to 30 that I had accomplished anything. Right. It, it had all been wiped. Any progress that I made between 20 and 30, it was like anything that I had accumulated had fallen away. Right. And so all I had was just like, well, I'm 30 instead of 20 now. And I didn't have uh, anything, really, that I, that I didn't already have at 20. Right. Um, and so it wasn't the getting older part. It was the fact that I had made no progress um, that could be marked. I'd actually, in some ways, the loss of things made it that it was worse than 20. Because at 20, I had all this, like, hope. But at 30, I was like, no, you get things and then they go away. Right. Um, and so 40 was much easier because I felt like the, the difference between 30 and 40 was just, it was in a different, it was in a, uh, I could point to things and say like, I've, I've done this or I'm in this position or I have this now that I didn't have before, you know? Yeah. I think for me, I look back at my 20s, I'm like, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. I just made a lot of mistakes, had to learn a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And... Now I, now I feel responsible to myself to work on those things that I want. Because it's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, this is, I'm now just a person and uh, I need to be responsible to my own health, the things that I'm putting out there to the rest of the world. All these things, so I don't know if I, I I don't think I'm at a rock bottom for things in my everything in my life, but I, I think I'm at a point where I've had to go. Okay, here's things that I need to work on, and well, my 20s were here's things I need to work on, and 30 was great. We're we're doing the work now, right? Or we've been doing the work, and now we need to start changing. And knowing that some of the things that I thought were important. Here's the big thing that I've noticed in the past probably year of my life. 
things that I thought were true about the world, things that I thought were true about myself, mm -hmm. things that I thought were parts of my personality, things that I thought were feelings that I had about how the world works around me. Mm -hmm. That all, none of that is set in stone or necessarily true. And it's sort of up to you to determine how you interact with the world and yourself and the things that you think are so true about you or so true about the external universe. It's like, oh, everyone's just sort of trying to figure, figure their own things out. Yeah. And you have to put in the work to do that. And you can't just go, oh, this is who I am or this is how this works or this is, yeah. this is the way it is. Because things change so much and we are such adaptive people. I mean, I feel like you listen to this podcast, boy, oh boy, you're going to hear us and our opinions and our perspectives change over time, which I think is interesting. Yeah. And okay. So, you had a birthday. Yeah. You didn't really have a birthday party. No. You had something close to it that I did not attend, that I uh, feel guilt about. But... Almost, almost no one attended it. Uh, well, and, yeah, I, I feel... You I also... I, I didn't realize it was a birthday thing until after it had happened. Right. Um... But I had been holding on to a, a birthday item that I've been meaning to give to you. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have it. I forgot about this. So. What was the screen? Because I, I saw so many things that week. What was the screening of? It was of. Um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So. Uh, which was fun. One of the things that I do is I spend a lot of time looking at memorabilia and prop and websites for things. Uh -huh. And I don't want to buy any of it for myself. Right. But every now and then I'll see something that I'm like, I'm just going to get this for this person. And I saw something that it's, it's, it's sort of a weird thing to have bought. Right. And it's not that remarkable. You might be underwhelmed by it. In fact, you probably will be. I'm preparing to be. But I thought it was cool. Yeah. It played into a theme, and I was sort of like, if I, if I had the exact interest of Connor, this would be something that I would want. So here's another thing is that I've now accumulated more Labyrinth stuff. Where's your Labyrinth uh, It's over shrine. here. Well, let me give you the thing first, okay. and then I can, because it's in my bedroom here. Should I follow you or no? No, I'll just bring it to you. Okay. And be prepared to be underwhelmed by this. But I thought this was funny. And I just wanted... I wanted you to have this. What is this? What is this? This is an official... Uh, uh, this is a Lucasfilm it's a Lucas, Limited. It's a Lucasfilm. It was a staff holiday gift from like the 90s apparently. And it's just Lucasfilm. It just says Lucasfilm, it's just, right? It's just like a Land's End Just like a Land's End thing, but it has a patch put into it that says Lucasfilm Limited, but you barely notice it. And it's like a nice fall jacket. Yeah. 
that like is perfect for Thank like you, JD. It's like a good like. It does. October. It also you could wear this and no one would recognize exactly. that it's Lucasfilm. But it's also the actual. Like if you stared at if out. you stared at this. Uh, That's why it's underwhelming. I think it's because it's so. Not, it's not underwhelming to me. To me. Because I will wear this, and I probably wouldn't wear it except as George Lucas in a show, if it blatantly like. Well, that's the, what I thought was interesting about it. Is that the, you could wear it as a regular thank jacket. Thank you so much, JD. Of course. Um, because if this, if if the back of this said Red Tails or something, I'd be like, I'm not going to just wear that to the store. Right. You know. Whereas this is something that uh, I will wear this fall when the weather hopefully turns. Right, and I thought I thought it, I thought it, number one, it was like I'm like, oh, this is just sort of a nice. Where did this you, style where did you is see back this? in style? I got this at props at prop store. Prop store? Yeah. Is that a website or prop a... store is a website that is you can get a lot of props oh. and memorabilia. One of my favorite things there is, and I almost bought. It was just going to give me something that made me laugh so hard because they have such random things. Yeah. What was it? Uh, it was. Uh, <laughs> It's a styrofoam boulder. Um, but I'm going to say what it is and hold because the way... The, I'm going to describe it twice in the second way is the way that I, I frame it that is funniest to me. Yeah. It's a styrofoam boulder that was a set prop from Flintstone's Viva Rock Vegas. So the way I like to frame it is it's the rock from Viva Rock Vegas. <laughs> but it's just like this brown lump of styrofoam. I do this too, what you do. Keep all your badges. All my badges are, they're literally on the inside door of my apartment. They just ha- all hang, all my lanyards yeah. and things. I want to see your labyrinth yes. uh, um, display. But, anyways, I saw that and Thank I was like, Thank you so much, Idiot. It's really nice present. I was like, I think that'll be a nice jacket because it's also it's a style that's back in style yeah. now. And if you wore it, Lucas fans of yours would be like, yes. Ooh, that's a fun little. Yeah. So here's my labyrinth. So, um, David Valentine, who worked on the Gethard Show in the art department, worked at the Jim Henson Company. Yeah. He gave me these two things. First is... This is like a holiday sweater. A labyrinth holiday sweater, which he bought for himself. And he's like, I wore it once. Like what you did with the dark crystal one for me. He was like, I wore it once, and that's all I needed, and now I want you to have it. He's like, I wore it once. Have you worn it? I haven't worn it. Except the weather has been. It's been warm. He's like, I wore it once to work, and everyone's like, hey... Yeah. Labyrinth sweater. And then he's like, that's all I needed. He's like, now it's yours. And then this is actually a really special thing. I got it framed. So, uh, at the Jim Henson Company, uh, the New York one, yeah. are uh, some of the people that have been at the Jim Henson Company since way back in the day. Yeah. And so, there's a woman there, Raleigh, who is, I believed, work, she was like the first, like, intern or assistant ever at the Jim Henson Company. Yeah. And she worked on like like the Muppet movie and Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. Like as she can and now she's there and she still builds puppets. Like she's the one that designed and built Fizzgig. Yeah. And she's still there. And apparently one day out of her desk she uh, found this sticker that was original promotion promotional material from Labyrinth. And she's like, Oh, I found this old sticker from the uh, yeah. Labyrinth promotional stuff. Do you know anyone that wants this? David's like, yes, I do. And so it's from the actual release. Yeah. Like you can see there, it says 1986. Uh, and it's just like these weird stickers of two goblins and Ludo. Yeah. And it was in its original packaging. It's just been there since oh, 1986. So nice. So I have that. And then um, I'm sort of like, the, 
I feel like everyone has like an aunt or an uncle that has like some weird right. hobby, and then everyone's like, uh, "We'll just get her something from this." Yeah. So now I'm becoming the labyrinth person. Um, Eric Overton, who did the graphics for the Gethard show, I bought a bunch of VR gear to use for one bit for the show. Um, for whatever reason, the show was like, I don't know if we can afford <coughs> it. And I was like, I'll just buy it because I'll use it mm-hmm. afterwards. And then Eric did such a good job, and he like. I was like, I know this is going to sit in a box in my house. Right. I'd rather have someone use it. So I was like, you just take it. And so um, a couple, like a month or two after the show wrapped, I got a, a gift in the mail, which was uh, the original Labyrinth comic books. Yeah. And the Jim Henson Storyteller comic book. Ooh. That's so nice. And then um, who gave me this? I forget. It's uh, it's the fireys from yeah. Labyrinth, but here's the real funny thing. Oh, that's great! All their limbs come off. Yeah, which is like so perfect. Yeah, um, that's great. And then Jersey Dave uh, actually spent some time freelancing at Jim Henson Company, and at their holiday party, they had a giveaway, and he was given um, uh, a warm plush from Labyrinth. Uh, the small one. Here's the larger one. Um, and I helped him get that gig, and so as a thank you, he gave that to me. But so now I have just all these. I have now have, like, a shelf dedicated to labyrinth things. Your, uh, the, your new shelves in here are, are, I guess that's, you moved that shelf from out yes. there, right? It's nice in here. So that's, okay, so here's another thing that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the uh, living room is that yeah. one of the first things Connor noticed that I'd gotten new furniture. And do you know why I got new furniture, Connor? Um, no, I think you might have told me at one point. You might have mentioned it, but oh, yeah. I've forgotten it. So I got new furniture because one time you were here and you had commented about how... Well, it was two things. Mm-hmm. You had commented about how I, my stuff was not displayed in any interesting way. You Did were I say like, it like that? Well, you were basically like, I would expect you would have a more interesting display for your movies and things like that mm-hmm. than what you have, which is all of it. It was just all on. Yeah, shows. it was all just cluttered on the thing. Yeah, um, and then which he, is not which that when I look at the way your DVDs are, that is more what I associate as the way you would. Right, kind of pointing it on my one wall. I have two very um, shallow shelves that are sort of akin to like. A gallery or, or like a Soho boutique right. kind of display. And in my mind, what would be like the um, employee recommendations yes. at like an indie movie store. Yeah, it looks curated. Yes. And so I have my top ten films on the wall there. Has there been any change in those ten over the past year? I think there is about to be. Really? What are yes. you going to do? Um, I think... The changes I think I'm going to make are, I think Diva's going to leave. Mm-hmm. I don't know it's going to fill it yet. And For All Mankind might leave as well. Ooh, interesting. Because as I've talked about this for the past couple of years, yeah. as I tell them, these are the ones that I forget the most and have the least to say about. Yeah. Um, but I can't figure out what slots in. Right. You'll know when you... When it's... Exactly. Um, but it's interesting and then Keith Haskell mentioned once he was like oh yeah you know you still have sort of like college furniture just had like 
wire shelves and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so then... Well, this looks very nice the way it's set up now. Yeah, so I've made a little bit and of is money. is that desk... That's new, right? The desk, That's a wheeled console. Wheeled console? Connor. Yes. Um, so I got this coffee table, this. This couch is new. Yeah. Remember this used to be that, that red futon? Mm -hmm. um, that leaning shelf. I think that's all the new stuff yeah everything here but i got all new furniture because i was like yeah I, I do need to grow up a little bit upgrade a little bit yeah i got this new couch which i really like it's very nice it's like long enough that like i can lay and take a nap on it yeah or someone could stay here and sleep on the couch yeah um so it's nice it's nice i'm making changes here um let me look at my list because I have a list of things that I wanted to talk about also. Yeah. I don't want to. see if I have anything on. Ooh, I know one big topic that we yeah. haven't talked about. Why is it? Um, well, let me see if there's anything that I want to talk about. Before I'll say, before you get to that, I'll just say that um, it's an interesting thing how the difference in a year in terms of like, I'm in a, a year ago, I had two TV show gigs that were pretty, that were steady. Yeah. Because we had, I had the Chris Gathered show. And the President Show, which you had worked on in the yeah. early stages of. And it's just interesting how in the course of, like, a year prior to this past May, you know, we were witness to and, and part of seeing, like, you know, uh, you know, Anthony Tamanick and Chris Gethard both finally, like, get shows. Right. And... A year later from that moment of like them getting shows, both of them didn't have shows. Right. And it's an interesting thing because I always think about that in terms of, of like what's the move beyond the, you know, you know, they're both doing fine. It's not, but it is one of those things where it's like the culture keeps moving, it keeps shifting, and you either get a foothold in it or. It keeps turning, and then you got to figure out another 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 thing. You know. I think that's part of why I've been not disillusioned in like a way that I'm depressed by, yeah. uh, maybe a little bit by the entertainment industry, but just the joy. The thing that got me excited about working in entertainment was that feeling of making something. Yeah working with people that you like, making something and being like, oh yeah, we made this thing and now here it is. Mm -hmm. And that good feeling you get showing that to people. And I found that that actually, it's less of like a, an arc and more of just like a wheel that turns. And the more times it turns, the less that you get to experience those shades of the process, and the less it feels good and more it just feels like you're part of this big machine that's turning. Mm -hmm. Um because I do think that's interesting. There's no moment where it feels like, great, and now you did the thing and you get to feel yeah. good about it. Yeah. It just, you move on to the next thing. And I've worked on a bunch of different shows enough times now that it's... Well, you still also cycle like back. You're, you're on TV all the time. And I'm sure the first time you were on TV, it was like, hey, look. And mm. now I bet there's times that well, it's, you've it... been on things that maybe you haven't even seen. Um. Well, it's interesting because it's fun, but, like, 
because I grew up with my dad being on TV, even though it was just local TV. Yeah. You know, when you're a little kid, local TV, that's your whole town. That feels like, right. you know, you can't even really process. I mean, it's hard enough as an adult to process how wide a thing can go. You know what I mean? It's right. that people can watch stuff in other countries or, you know, like that's hard enough to wrap your head around. You can't really, I don't think, fully wrap your head around the way that entertainment spreads around now that compared to what we can actually like process. But when I grew up, my dad was a weatherman. He had this kid's show and I would go on the show. So it was always like very natural to me, the idea that you'd just be like in front of a camera and people would be watching. It would just be like, never seemed like a nerve wracking thing. Right? right. Like I hosted, I guest hosted my dad's show when I was like five and the, for me, it's sort of, so it's a matter of degrees kind of that like, like I was not nervous like last uh, fall when I started doing like the remotes and the gather show when I did the laundromat thing. Yeah. Like I was literally like 30 seconds before we went on the air being like saying to Noah Foreman like, hey, what if I do, what if I uh, open all the, what if I walk past and open all the doors yeah. as the camera follows me? And there wasn't a part of me that was like, God, I shouldn't be thinking about this we're about to go on the air. It's too late or whatever. I was just like, no, that'll be fun. It'll look yeah. cool. It'll, you know, and it was just sort of very natural to me. The only thing that I think is, the only recent thing that's a little bit new and it was, it was that like the couple of TV shows that I've done at this point have all either been my friend's shows where I'd been like working, you know, like doing the Gethard show was, you know, like a natural process of doing years of it on public access right. and then suddenly it's, getting paid for it and it's, you know, eventually being seen by people and so like that. Or doing a Tamanix show. It's just like, oh yeah, it's just a natural extension of what we were doing before. Um, the, the first sort of new thing really was, and I had filmed a little of this, I don't remember if I mentioned it last year or not, but like doing the Orange is the New Black episodes. Right. It was the first time that I'd done a show where it was a show I already watched so right. it already had already occupied space in my mind as a fictional world. Right. And suddenly I'm interacting with people pretending to be characters that I've al- I'm already invested in. Right. That's weird. Uh, and I haven't had that before because like, I haven't considered that Search Party or Broad City or any of the things I've done uh, prior to that. There was nothing where it's like I've watched five seasons and now here's this. Or if you had you'd known the people beforehand anyways yeah and so that was the first time where it felt like oh i'm on a quote-unquote real tv show in the sense that it's already real to me right it's weird to walk around like uh astoria kaufman yeah studios and see like oh this is litchfield prison these are the hallways of what i in my mind is a real prison right women who are who are, are live in but now I'm seeing like, oh no, they just move these walls around to make this. They move these walls around to make that. It all seems smaller. It all seems like yeah. And uh, so that's the first thing where I was like, oh, this is like a fun, different thing. Um. And it's also the first show where, because it's Netflix and because it's popular, like my like relatives in Ireland, without me telling them. I'm in a thing, I would hear from them and be like, we just saw you, we were watching 
the new like the the day it came out, right. like cousins of mine who just like watched as a show and didn't know I was in it suddenly were like, Hey, that's Connor. Right. So those were like two newish developments that I hadn't experienced before. And those are fun. Those are like those are nice. But I'm it, it's funny because I know that you had mentioned a thing before about like if you listen to early episodes of this podcast, I'm kinda like not interested in show business and yeah. not, you know. Now I'm not interested in show business. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> we've swapped roles. But I'm still so wary of it. Like I'm still, even with my like, almost getting the talk show of my own. Yeah. And then having it taken away. At no point in that process, even as I got excited creatively about it, at no part in the point in that process did I make the mistake of allowing myself. I allow myself to feel. I think it's good to hope for things and to enjoy the hope of like, oh, is this going to happen? Am I going to get this? Am I going to enjoy to take whatever whatever piece of that feeling makes you feel good? I think. I don't want to be. I don't want to deprive myself of the of always just being like, ah, it probably won't work out. Right. You want to enjoy the slice of it that feels good to be like, well, maybe I'll book this show or maybe I'll do this or something. But I never get to the point where I get so invested in it that I'm going to feel genuine disappointment when it falls apart. You got to be I, Winnie the Pooh. You can't be Tigger. You can't be Eeyore. That's right. Uh, you got you to get that honey. Um, honey, honey, honey. But it is like I won't, I can't allow honey, myself, honey. even at this point where I've, you know, I don't have a backup for comedy and show business. I don't have like a thing that I right. can, can do for, I have, you know, like coaching improv and stuff, but I don't have a thing that I could go to a, another place and just settle down and open up a, Hardware store or something, you know, like you probably could do that. I could work it. I could work in retail if there's jobs for it. But um. I one of the thought experiments that I went through was if I was going to go back to school, what would I go for? And what what would you think? I don't know. I was trying to figure veterinarian. it out. Veterinarian. That's a really hard job. I know. And I feel like veterinarian is one of those jobs like uh, opening a coffee shop, right? That people mistake. Uh, I love animals, or I love going to a coffee shop with, yeah. I want, and every time I hear people say, like, especially people who think, like, maybe I'll just retire and open a little coffee shop, and I'm like, running a coffee shop would be terrible. Right. Like, it's just nonstop, like, food service, uh, all the work that goes with any kind of food and drink preparation, all the health stuff, customer service, just like, I'm always stunned that people have it in their mind that's like, maybe I'll open up a little coffee shop. It's like... Uh, to me, I also think it's funny. Coffee shop too is like, it's a, a, a double whammy of a place that is, uh, it's an establishment that both culturally people are encouraged to spend a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. And then it's a product that is a known, uh, has known digestive effects. Yeah. And it's like, that's the business you're going to open. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like a place where it's like, people are going to be around and, they're going to have some tummy stuff going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was considering, I did a lot of, um, I got a minor in computer programming at NYU when I went there. Uh-huh. And I was like, it'd be f- interesting to go back into that or go into robotics or something like that that was like yeah, a dynamic use of that kind of stuff. Um, I've been getting into a lot of hobbies in my mm-hmm. off time. Obviously, I've been like, drawing and painting and doing that stuff again. I've recently gotten into book binding. That's fun. Um, 
here I'll show you. Uh, don't. This is part of an art project, so I keep the content. But like, um, here's a recent book that I bound. We mean keep the content. Just don't. Don't uh, read it aloud. Yeah. It's for this art project that I'm doing with somebody. But like, it was fun to make that entire thing from scratch. You see what it is? Yeah. yeah. Um, Ooh. But, so it's like I had to design every page, print every page on nice paper, cut I like the, the ending a lot. I skipped ahead, but I really like oh, the really? ending. I accidentally saw what it was. Oh, yeah. I find that exciting. Yeah. Um, but, you know. What are you going to do with that book? This is cardboard and fabric. That's part of this thing that I'm doing with someone. I'll have to tell it to you. It's Off a, mic? It's, a, it's an ongoing project that is purposely part of it is, um, it's about not sharing the thing. Uh-huh. Um, here's another one. But it's like, there's something really fun about. Yeah taking fabric and paper and cardboard and thread and then turning that into a book that you can hold in your hands. Before, just like pieces of paper and... I might commission you to do a thing uh, for me using some of these skills. I would love to. Legitimately. Because uh, ha- the way this cover is, is has me feeling... Because I have a thing... I have a Chris Ware thing that I've been reluctant to make... Uh, I, I've just had it sitting there. Okay. And it's basically there was a there was a publication called Little Lit that Art Spiegelman put out that was like kids comics made by like like alternative right cartoonists of the 90s. And the end papers were a board game that Chris Ware designed. Okay. And I acquired but they were like bound into the book. Right. And I acquired a copy of like the printed thing that had not been bound into the book, so it's just the... Oh, right. And I'm like, I want to make it into a proper board game board. Oh, wow. Uh, like, I want it to be on... Because it's folded like a thing, right. but I need to, like... It, it's not, like, to any specifications that, like... So it's just, like, a piece of paper. It's just, like, a... Yeah, it's just, like, a folded, like, a gatefold, like, piece of paper, hard paper, and I would like it to be on a thing that feels like a... 100%. Uh, I could do a that. A board game. Yeah, I could absolutely do that. Yeah. Uh, that's such an interesting... Yeah. yeah. I've had it for 15 more years, I think. Yeah, I could do that. Um, yeah, that's actually really fun to do. I, you know... Um, the stuff you're doing, it reminds me of, like, when I when I look in... Um, the cartoonists that I like all have, like, projects like that. Like, there's a cartoonist named Seth. Do you know Seth? No. You would like Seth, I think. He's very, like, Canadian, beautiful cartoonist... Um, beautiful writer as a cartoonist as well, but one of the things that's um, amazing about him, um, if you look up, um, go on the computer and look up um, (coughs) Seth Cartoonist Town. I'm trying to remember what the name of the, I've forgotten the... Got it. Um, Dominion, I think, is the name. Yeah, he, he. If you look up Dominion and Seth, and see what image you, it's basically like, 
he does these comics and he basically created this town that has like a history and then uh, he started making these models oh this is really cool of the town yeah I love this yeah that's the exact kind of thing that I've yeah sort of been doing yeah I love this I mean it's very akin to like in a different style to me like these sculptures where it's like I don't know why but I'm just gonna make a bunch of these things it's really fun oh I love this this is fantastic yeah I think there's something really nice about working in a tactile medium again yeah there's something really satisfying. But it's very frustrating when I look at, because I'm such a fan of both like Chris Ware and Seth. Yeah. One of the things that they do that is a collector, and I have this like, I have the poison of a collector in my system yeah. of like, I want all the things. Uh, that they do things for themselves, which is like, Seth will make little books for himself of like his like sketches. Yeah. Or he'll, t- he'll like make a little journal. It's not for publication. Right. And he'll like bind it like a little book. And I'll see photographs of like in an interview of like, what's on his shelf. Like, and I will just be... It'll be stuck in your head. <laughs> um, as this like, thing that you need. Yeah, and it's like, the only way I could get this is to go to this man's house and steal it. It's literally like the impulse I told you about when we went to the, um, the Momi uh, Henson, uh, Henson exhibit. exhibit and I saw those uh, Wilkins and Wonkins toys from Jim Henson's campaign. Right. And I was like, I want to break the glass, and run for it, you know? Um, Will Hines has a funny um, response to my uh, recording a 12-hour podcast yeah. to uh, getting away my 45-day Twitter thread, and Will Hines' response was, robbing insane Peter to pay insane Paul. <laughs> <laughs> a solid burn. That's really good. Uh, friend of the show, Will Hines. Will Hines, the listener that we lost... Uh, Immediately. No, he listened to it for a while, but... He, it was the episode where I was eating dinner alone. quietly by myself while you did a show. <laughs> and he was commuting, commuting to work, <laughs> hearing the tinkering of silverware J. on Yamada a plate. eating a slice of pizza, and, and Will was just like, why am I, why am I listening to this? Yeah. Um, the... <clears throat> now, we rarely use the podcast to plug things, right? Right. Rarely. That's what, not what, this is, what is there to plug? What is there to plug? Um, you know, it's more just I'm excited to talk about it and to talk a little bit about the process of it, which is that, um, so earlier this year, uh-huh. uh, the, I did a stand-up gig. I don't do stand-up comedy. Right. did a stand-up gig, and it was, be, it was because there's this little label in... Uh, um, uh, New, Bruns- is it New Brunswick is where Rutgers is, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, in Jersey, but it's far, anyway. And uh, this little Jersey DIY punk label named State Champion Records. Oh, right. You know about this? Have I already mentioned this to you? No, but I know what's going on. Right. Yeah. So they wanted to do, do like uh, some stand-up shows and put out these stand-up cassettes. And so they asked Gethard to ask me if I would do a stand-up set. And I like the challenge of it because I don't do stand-up. So I right. like the idea that I'm just going to do a stand-up set it will be recorded and it will be as if I do stand-up. Right. I think it went fine. Yeah. Um, but I also had in the back of my mind a thought of like, uh, 
oh, if I do this, and the, because they asked me to do it, and, and I think the cassette hasn't come out yet. I think the first volume of it came out with some stand-ups, and I think we're on the second line yeah. that's going to come out. But I was like, oh, I, I want to ask them, I want to pitch to them putting out my Christmas EP with Mike Yerg as a record. And so I waited like a month or two after doing that, recording that thing, and I emailed this pitch to them. I was like, look, uh, Mike Yerg and I have this EP of secular Christmas songs. We really want to make it a record, and we really want it to come out as an object that we could do. Right. So this whole pitch, I was like, listen, if we do it, we'll like do our best to like promote it, and we'll do shows, we'll do whatever it takes to like, so you don't lose money on this. But we just, we're not looking to make money on it. We just want it to exist. Right. And, and we don't, you know, we don't personally want to spend like a couple thousand dollars to like, yeah. we'd like it to be on our, to have the validation of a label of some sort putting it out. Right. So I didn't hear back. Uh, and I was like, yeah, okay. And I had written to some labels over, over the past couple of years trying to like, get hey, anybody, yeah. hey, you want to, you know, look at Mikey Erg. Yeah. yeah. And so like two weeks later, I did like a follow up. that was like, oh, and by the, it was like one other thing. It was like, oh, also there's this. I don't remember what it was. It was like, also we did it. We do it like this. I don't know if you're interested or whatever. And they wrote back and, uh, and they were like, oh, sorry, we should have responded. We've been talking about it. We want to do it. They just didn't respond right. to the email. And uh, so I've been working on this, uh, like designing like the art for it. And like I did a, like it's going to be on like bright red vinyl with like a green label. And uh, and it's going to be one side is going to be, it's going to be a 12 inch. So the one side is going to be the full Spirit of Ratliff soundtrack of all the Christmas songs. And the other side is going to be all the anti-summer songs. Um and so they're going to make like 300 copies of this record. That's so fun. And, uh, and my hope is that uh, people, my hope is that like there'll be a certain portion of people who like have record players who like, like me or like Mikey who will buy it. Right. But I'm also kind of hoping that there'll be people who, will, who don't have record players, but who will just like the idea of it as an art object. Because I feel like that's, I feel like there'd be people. I feel like this is the kind of thing that I would have done at a certain point when I didn't have a record player. If I, if someone that I liked had put out a thing and it was like, "Here's this thing," I'd be like, "I'll buy it," even though I don't have a way to listen to it. Yeah, I mean, I have Labyrinth Record and Laserdisc and yeah. Beta. And I'm also kind of hoping, uh, uh, not in a in a. I'm hoping that one of the like timing things of like the Gethard Show ending. And there's kind of like this vacuum within like the Gethard Show community that'll be like, hey, here's the here's the thing that it's like, You're like the weird, the weird, the last uh, Carney booth open for the night. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. No, it's just that it's like, oh, you got tickets left, you could throw some frogs. That it's like uh, when I've been a fan of things and they've ended, and then something's come out where it's like, oh, there's a book about it or something, or there's a this that I'd be, or like here's the soundtrack to this show that you like that got canceled. They'd be like, ah, oh, okay. One other thing that I can own that's connected to the thing that I like. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, regardless, like, I think Mikey and I are getting paid in free records, so I'm going to, like, have a few to, like, give us gifts. We're going to try to do a show, I think. Listen, you're selling records. I'm selling jewelry. Yeah. We're just, uh, we're just a couple of hucksters we're a couple pushing of, our product. We're a couple of shark tankers over here. Um, but I'm very excited that, because I feel like that is also related to this podcast in the sense that Mikey and I first had our like 
friendship conversation when he came over yes. here uh, specifically for that. And so the idea that we have... Because it's also like I collect holiday records. Right. And so it's like, oh... The it's Longine Symphonets. It's not really... We made this holiday record, but it's not really a holiday record until you have it on like red vinyl and it's a thing, you know? Um, that... Uh, so I'm hoping that it'll scratch some itch in the world of like uh, uh, Gethard Show, yeah. Because it was a Gethard. It was the one of the one of the final public access. Uh, uh, one of the final kind of off grid Gethard Show things, right? Because it it happened during the fusion years when the show had gone pro, and it, this, here was this still this DIY. Right. No budget, no contracts thing that happened. Uh, Mikey and I recently went to the Bowie exhibit, me for the second time. I didn't go see it. I went to it when it was in Chicago. Yeah. And then I went to it when it was... Now, did you purposely not go see it? Um, it's not that. I just didn't find the time to. And then the times when it would work, it was like times when it would have been busy or sold out or, you know. Yeah. Um, just never got around to it. I... I had the same... Well, because I saw it in Chicago, and it yeah. was amazing. And I heard it was in Brooklyn. And when I saw it in Chicago, boy, was had alive. not passed away. Yeah. Um, one second. Um, and uh, so... But Mikey and I, one of the things we bond over, like you and him, Elvis Costello, was mm-hmm. he and I talk about Bowie nonstop. Right. And... We kept going like we gotta go, we gotta go, and both of us were doing the same thing you were, which was we, we just we just weren't we weren't putting on our schedules. And when there were availabilities to go, it was just ah, it's so far away in Brooklyn because we both live in Astoria. Mm-hmm. It was just not happening. So we were both to be like, All right, <coughs> we have to, we just have to do this together. Right. So we found a date. We went. Uh, it was funny. We got there, and um, you know, Colin O'Brien, he's a yeah. UCB guy. Yeah. Uh, he was working there, which was like a fun little surprise. Yeah. Um, but we uh, we went to this thing together, and museum exhibits are really interesting because they can be really moving, or they can be a disaster, or yeah. it's like, and the line between those is unclear, but definite and very thin. Like you and I went to the Henson exhibit, mm-hmm. and I had not gone for years. Mm-hmm. Because I was like worried because it was I'd heard such good things and I have such strong feelings that I was like, what right. if it's underwhelming? Right. It's one of those things I just like. I'd rather just have that be a thing I could still do. Yeah. And then you and I finally went. We spent like six hours there because we were just it ended up being just like our version of a coffee shop somewhere yeah. to sit and talk. But I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. It's not huge, but what they did have was. Yeah. Great. It, the, and a few of the pieces are phenomenal. Yeah, and the the Henson exhibit is modest in keeping with Jim Henson's vibe. Like, it felt like if you had too big and ostentatious an exhibit, it would not feel like a Henson thing. Yeah. You know, like, it felt like the way... Uh, it felt handmade in a way that felt right for it. Yeah, and there's there's an intro uh, screen thing that is really well done. That is just these like these 
clips of the show all pieced together and clips from movies and things like that. Yeah. And then there is a, a, a screen that is all of the, the episodes of The Muppet Show playing simultaneously. Yeah. Oh and boy. then just a lot of really great little snippets here and there. Anyways. So Bowie. Bowie. When I went to Chicago, it was, I went with my parents, my whole family, and it was, I mean, very emotional. Mm-hmm. My dad and I went to see David Bowie together for my 16th birthday for reality tour, his last like proper tour. Yeah. So, and one of the last rooms yeah, in the Chicago exhibit was this room that on one half of the room was um, a modern performance of Bowie's and the other half was uh, an, uh, an old performance of Bowie's him doing the same song you could walk on the other side of the room and they'd be synced up sort of as best you could for two live performances mm-hmm. and one of them was from the reality tour and so like being there with my dad and seeing that you know it was like it was a very emotional thing and Bowie just always had, had a lot of um, positive feelings from his work over mm-hmm. the years like that stuff that connected to me yeah uh, the Brooklyn exhibit was a much smaller space. And it's the kind of exhibit where you have the um, audio receiver yeah. thing, where when you walk to different areas, the audio in your headset changes, which is a really phenomenal thing. But because the space was so small, they would overlap yeah. in ways that were not perfect yeah, and could actually be a little... Jarring? Yeah, a little jarring, like... There was one one that was sort of funny where um, there was one sort of section that is all of Bowie's film work. And so it's all all the clips from all the movies he's been in. Mm-hmm. And it has like a full proper scene from each thing. And I was standing there and Mikey was trying to watch, but his thing kept connecting to a, another yeah. like nearby exhibit. Yeah. So he kept like walk, pacing around like really <laughs> crazy person because like everyone else is standing there like, sort of like solemnly watching Bowie perform and he's like trying to but he's like like taking one step forward two steps to the side like <laughs> like someone like back in the day trying to get like their radio to get like yeah. the good FM signal um, and then there were a couple things that just because it was so small the crowd was like you're shoulder to shoulder with people and you felt like you had to keep moving because there were people right behind you waiting to see whatever the next thing was. Yeah. Um, so I was a little, not, it was nice to see it again. Right. But I was a little like, oh, this wasn't as cool as the original experience. Right. But then, something that didn't happen, which I feel like is a New York thing versus a Chicago thing, the final room of the New York thing is, again, a big performance room. But the difference was, instead of having it where your headsets and one was old and one was new, it was just a big room. Mm-hmm. And you have to take your headset off, and it's just playing loud for everybody. Uh-huh. And what was cool is when we walked into that room, it's a museum, so it's only got like two benches or whatever, uh-huh. but there were people like laying on the ground, spread out, people sitting on yeah. like trash cans and like sitting on whatever they could. It was just like it turned into a concert venue. And then these two women that just started dancing and singing along and then everyone sort of started to and it just became this like weird concert where all of us were just like we're just going to sit here uh-huh. and listen to Bowie together and experience this all together yeah and it was actually really really cool 
And I, I did get emotional during that because it was just all ages, all people just being like, yeah, we're all just going to sit here and listen to Bowie together for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and so it was really nice. I'm glad I did it. But it was definitely different than the Chicago one. I think a little more cluttered. There yeah. were certain things that were really well done, like a lot of the um, um, staging and design and soundproofing and all this. Like it was, it was really well put together, the whole exhibit. Mm. Um, but it was just they didn't have the same amount of space as they did in Chicago. Yeah. And they had to add in a whole new section that was Black Star and everything since then. Right. So it was interesting. So I feel like you would have liked it. Yeah. I think some of the things about how it would have gone, you you would have been like, uh, there's just too much happening. Yeah, I mean, I love Bowie, but I also feel like I would have enjoyed the exhibit, but it also, like, it was not something that, like, if if there was an exhibit like that for... I think Costello's probably the only artist I would like go out of my way to go to a different borough to see. Yeah. And Bowie is that for me. Yeah. There's one piece there though that everyone who's gone to it has come back and been like, hey, we saw this thing and wanted to steal it for you. Yeah. And it was that? like, oh, I thought of you when I saw that. What was Which that? is, it is a letter from Jim Henson to David Bowie um, about Labyrinth asking him to do it. Oh, wow. And it's like, you know, just this, like, typed-out letter and, then, like, Jim Henson, but, like, written very casually. Of, like, yeah. Oh, I wrote this thing. I think you'd be fantastic for it. I wrote it with you in mind. And da-da-da. Like, to David Bowie from Jim Henson. And it's, like, to me, that's, like, so many things combined. Oh, yeah, because it's just you're watching a moment in history on paper. Yeah. Uh, do you want, like, a sandwich or something? Yeah, I think so. What, what should we do? Well, we could go out. Mm-hmm. I also have some sandwich fixings here. Um... We could do whatever you want. Here I got, I got turkey, I got provolone, I got peanut butter, I get some good bread. Turkey on bread would be fine for me. Okay. Um, it's not nice out. It's too hot out today. It's too hot out today. Yeah. We've had a, a little bit of good weather. You can stunt. I can just make it. Um, um, now, for me, I know you're not going to want, so I'm going to offer it up. For me, I'm going to put hummus, mustard. You just want nothing. turkey bread. Turkey on bread. Can I toast your bread? Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean, I... If I was in a place and it was like, here's this museum and the Bowie exhibit's here, and we're looking at museums, I'd be like, we got to go to the Bowie exhibit. Right. But it's weird how there's something about making the trip to Brooklyn for the exhibit, knowing that it was like long lines and sold out a lot right. of the time. I just never quite got to it. And there's... Even... Even the Henson exhibit took me a little while, and that's I mean, it took me years. walking distance to from my apartment in a way. You know, yeah, like, same. It, it took me years. Um, and yeah, I'm not very good about stuff like that. Like, I think museum stuff is hard because it feels static. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you go to a museum, museums are built in such a smart way that it puts you in the right mentality for what you're about to see. Yeah, but you don't. When you're outside of that, you're not <coughs> prepared for that mentality. Yeah. So it's like a movie, you know what it feels like to go to a movie and transition into that. For yeah. a museum, they're good at doing it, but you don't see it as much. Yeah. So you don't trust that you're, like, you're going to get put into that headspace. 
Yeah. So it's interesting. Um. Like I was in D.C. in July and went to the National Portrait Gallery I really like. Have you ever been there? No. I haven't, I haven't been to no, none of the museums in D.C. We went there for a president show shoot once. Yeah. That's the only time I've been to D.C. Well, the National, both times I've been there to perform at Woolly Mammoth, which is right there right. on like Avenue D or whatever. And so it's only a couple blocks away from the National Portrait Gallery. Right. The National Portrait Gallery sounds to me like it would be boring. Right. Because I picture it's just like, oh, what's all the presents? Okay. Like, I, I've seen this. Right. You know, like, uh, and then when there was all the hubbub about like um, Obama and Barack and Michelle getting their portraits in the, and, and you, you've seen those, those paintings, right? Uh, yes. Uh, and you're like, okay, so they got paintings in the portrait. Okay, whatever. One thing is that, first of all, it's, there's a lot of stuff in the portrait gallery that isn't portraits. Right. There's a lot of cool stuff in that museum. Like, there's one thing I think you would have liked, which was this art piece that was a map of the United States made of kind of like neon and weird electrical stuff, like kind of junky looking. And over every state, there were little TV screens. And on those TV screens, we'd be playing something that was like iconic of that era. Oh, interesting. So like uh, if, if a TV show was set in a certain state, like I don't know what, I can't remember where Laverne and Shirley is set, like in a Rust Belt state. Right. Or whatever. That would be the show that was like playing there, or that, and over at the side there was like Hawaii and Alaska, and you'd see like right. like an Elvis movie that was set in Hawaii or something, and <clears throat> so it's very fun. But also, I have to say, so I'm in Washington D.C. I was in, I was supposed to be there for uh, three weeks to do the, the two years ago. UCB did a show, an improv show at Willie Mammoth Theater. Uh, called We Know How You Die. Right. We're asked to come back. And because of the way... It's funny because of the way that um, theater operates differently. from Like, in the improv world, like of UCB or something, like, you could put up a show one night at UCB and then the artistic director could be like, we want to give you a run. Can you do yeah. a show next Friday or something? In the theater world, like, Willie Mann was like, this show is a big success. We want to have you back immediately. And that was, like, two years because, right. of course, they have their schedule mapped out so far in advance that like right like, i think there was almost like a christmas opening a year later or something but it's like we got to get you back right away and that is like two years right but here's what's what i found really fascinating and i don't think i'm reading into it i do not think i'm reading into it i might be but i don't think i am washington dc so i was there july 2016 the right. height of the election the conventions all that and then this year uh Second year, halfway through the second year of the Trump administration. I think he has really damaged that town. Really? I, and this is going to sound maybe weirdly like a making an excuse or something, you know, like it's going to sound like I'm, but our show two years ago was sold out constantly. Like the whole run was basically sold out. Right. And the, I got there this time and for, the, I was there for half the run. So I was there for like almost like a week and a half, two weeks. And for most of the shows when I was there, the balcony had zero tickets sold. Right. So like the downstairs would be packed 
but the upstairs and these were seats that were sold out every night of the run before. Oh, interesting. And at first I was like, and it got good reviews. It got like written up. Right. You're like, oh, maybe people don't like our show or. Yeah. Did something happen? But then I was like, well, the word of mouth from two years ago would have been like, oh, we're coming back to see that. I think there's, and there were other things I noticed when I was there in terms of the way the town, the mood in the town, the mood of the audiences, et cetera. Ginger ale, root beer, or I can get you water. I'll, tell you, I'll have a little root beer. Um, I get the tiny ones. Yeah, just I, I like them. I'm like, I don't need that much. Um, I'll just have another can. Sure. Yeah. Um, but there was something in the mood that it took me a few days before I realized, like, this town feels different right now. And then I'm like, well, of course it does. Like, right. the it's an industry town that's been taken over by, like, non-professionals and people who are like... Because I saw at the same time I was there, there was that article about how uh, people who work in the Trump administration are having a hard time... Uh, dating, right? Because like people in DC, like professionals, like in their dating app, would be like, if you work in the Trump administration, it's like a no go. It's like right. that is that it is actually right, of like. Of course it is. And that's so interesting. And I really noticed it that it was like um, there was something in the air. There was something in the way when we interview people in the audience. There was also a thing which is that almost immediately in New York City. Anytime I'm in an improv show, if someone makes a reference to anything that's Trump or Trump adjacent, unless it's a Tamanic doing a specific Trump right. show, it kills the vibe in the room. Like the right. audience is like not interested. They don't want to hear it. They're right. not in a mood for it. And in DC, if you bash Trump, the audience went nuts. They loved it. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And I'm like, oh, New York, like New York, Trump's been on New York's. Right. Like on the New York scene, his entire career, his entire life. I think there's a weird guilt in New York City. There's a weird, like, we're already, we were already sick of him here, sort of. Right. And almost like a thing that's like, this is the president that New York gave America. Like, Chicago gave us Obama and New York right. gave us Trump, you know? Right. But in DC, he's like this new Godzilla who just came to town and wrecked the factory, you right. know? And. So they're much more like hopped up on like, we hate our new boss. We hate the guy who bought the local sawmill, you know? Right, and I feel like there's a lot of escapism going on right now in culture. And if you can yeah. remove politics from your mind, you will. And when you're in New York and he's not here, which yeah. luckily he's not as much anymore. And I don't think he'll be welcome here when he's done. Yeah, it's like, it's like yeah, you can sort of, and, and it's... Sad that it's come to this, but like people are like, I'll revel in forgetting about him. Yeah. But for the time being. So uh, at the National Portrait Gallery, what I'm cycling back to on this is at the National Portrait National Portrait Gallery, one of the things that felt really nice, like just in the vibe, yeah. is how excited everybody was to see Obama's portrait and uh, and Michelle Obama's portrait. They're in right. two different places because there's the president's place and then there's the uh, right. upstairs where they have like first ladies and other like celebrities. But there's like, there were these like signs that just had the picture, no words on just the picture of Michelle's right. portrait with like an arrow. Like it's this way. Like we know right. why you're here. We know why you came up the stairs. Like go right. left. And it was just like, you saw people and they were just like, we just want to see this picture. Yeah. We just want to see this portrait of like, and it was like, oh, people are like, it felt nice. It was like a really like. Well, it's a, it's a, 
a memory that this is not how things always have to be. Yeah. This is not how nothing lasts, which is, can be both good and bad. Yeah. I do think I thought about this a, a little bit that like I think he'll have to go live at Mar-a-Lago when he's done because I'm sure he I, wants to though. Yeah, but I think he also I don't think there's a New York City life waiting for Donald Trump when he's done being president. Yeah, but also when he, when when he has a smaller secret service contingent, you know? I feel like there's not that life awaiting almost any president, though. I don't Can you think of a single president that's like... Clinton moved to Harlem as soon as he was done being president. Like, that was where his, like, offices were. I guess you're right. And he was like, he got a hero's welcome in New York City at that point. And, like, Hillary moved to New York and was like a carpetbagger at first, but then was like... Like, they were... They were able to be part of the hobnobbing social scene in New York. Right. In a way that he will not be able to be by the end of this, it, it, assuming he survives it, you know? Right. He's also changed so much of his views and existences that, like, well, he's attacked everybody in a way that you have to imagine. a good sandwich. I love this toasted bread, JD. Right? Thank you. That's the way to go. These are good chips, too. Um, and now comes part of the podcast where we try to eat without try to eat. Yeah. being too loud. Well, the, to- the toast is better for um, audio. Yeah, exactly. No, like I thought bite- about that as I was doing it. Biting into some soft bread, so you'll hear that crunch. Um, you know I'm doing Comic-Con? Oh, uh, it's George Lucas, right? Yeah. You know That's I bought... Great. Do you know that banner I bought? Uh, it's, it's like a movie promo banner? I bought an episode one Taco Bell roof banner. Right. For a hundred bucks. It was the banner that goes on the outside of a Taco Bell as you drive past to see that they have a promotion for episode one. I love it. And I... That's, see, that's why I got you this jacket. Because I just think it's... Well, such a funny extrapolation of your world. I, I bought. It was selling it for two hundred dollars, and it said make. It had the make an offer button, so I thought I'll offer him half that, and if he says one hundred and fifty, it's too much for me. Right. But I'll just try for a hundred, and he like within a minute he had responded. Like, like, yes, yes, please. And, but I justify it by the fact that it's like permanent set decoration for the show, and that we can bring it to Comic Con and have like a. 35 right. foot long banner that is Isn't it going to won't it dwarf your stage at UCB? Yeah, we have to we have to hang it at an angle to fit on the back oh, of man. Hell's Kitchen because it's uh it's Oh, too, do you do it at, at Hell's I've been doing it at Hell's Kitchen the past few months. Got it. Do you get a good turnout there? Or is it slightly less? Mm. I think the midnight shows might be harder. Well, I may not do it forever at Hell's Kitchen because I it is harder because it's a slightly higher ticket. It's a 7.30 slot. It draws oh, a different crowd. Wow. It draws a different crowd. We did it once yeah. at 9 o'clock and it sold out. Um, all the other stepfathers were out of town, so I, I just did George Lucas talk show there instead. And that sold out. But it feels like less of a crowd, even if it's more people at Hell's Kitchen, because if you, get, if you feel... 
UCB East halfway at it midnight, feels you feel great. You can't see the darkness of the back of the theater. Right. Mm. But, you know, it also may just be that, like, I wanted to do it for a little while where I could just store the stuff there and not have to cart it all. Um, but I might just, like, give it six months there and then see if I would feel like doing it as a midnight show at the Beast again. They should again. figure out a storage space at, at, a, at the Beast. The beast. No, they just don't. I just don't have any room now. Mm. But <coughs> we have Maria from Sonia uh, Mazzano, uh, Maria from Sesame Street, oh, that's is going to be one of our guests for Comic Con. That's phenomenal. And Will Butler from Arcade Fire. And we're trying, but now we o- we can only book guests who have badges now because they gave us one week to, to get the badges. So now, like, I can only, we can only book people who already are at Comic-Con, which is kind of hard because if they're at Cam- Comic-Con, they're busy. Right. You know? mm. I also have no idea what a Comic-Con audience is going to make of this show, whether right. or not they'll be hostile towards it. Did you ever see, have you had Mets on your show? Um, I can cut this out of the episode if you want. No, no, no. Uh, no, he would be great. Should I make that a blind item? Oh, bleep him? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to do it, give yourself a little project to bleep that out. Mark the time. Um, it's 2.30. Great. Mark, blank out the names and also all the verbs. Got it. Um, can you give me this... Sound the sound that we're going to use to blank it. Make the sound. Yeah. Ooh, that's going to be so weird until people get to this point. Boop. How about that? Is that better? Uh, I'll boop. Meh. Gloop. Uh oh. Censored. Yeah, I'll use one of those. Yeah, I'll give you some options. Uh, but you should think about him. Um, that's going to be fun, though. I like that this has now become like... Between the stuff that used to do the Village Voice, mm-hmm. Rest in Peace Village Voice... Yeah. Uh, like that, like George Lucas, your George Lucas is becoming its own, like fake George Lucas is now like a thing. Yeah. And there is someone called fake George Lucas who has way more Twitter followers than me. Really? Mm-hmm. But does he perform? No. We encourage people listening to the podcast, if you haven't already, make yourself a sandwich. Eat with us. There's no, there's no rule that says you can't eat along at the same time. It's not against the rules. The fact that you think it's against the rules is a little unusual. That's on you. No, you can eat with us. Pull up a chair. Um...
Just a, just a pause. Just yeah. a momentary, like... Uh, I'm just being quiet you now. You have to talk the whole time. I mean, we slept for multiple hours on one episode. That was one of people's favorite parts. Here's something that we can discuss. Mm-hmm. Something that I was not a fan of. Well, actually, the arc is... I was a fan when it started. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, this will be like a riddle. I'm already intrigued. I was a fan when it started, then I departed, and now I'm back with a vengeance. What am I? Or, JD was a fan when I started, then he departed, now he's back with a vengeance. What am I? Project Runway? Interesting. No. Um... I'll think of another an, another another verse to this riddle here. <clears throat> uh, this will just give it away. Well, um. For years he went dry, though now he is soaking. But my number one rule is remember, no choking. Oh, Survivor. Yep. I started watching Survivor about halfway through this past season. Mm -hmm. But I watched all the episodes leading up to it and then caught on board. Mm -hmm. And then got super into it. And it was the first season in... 10 years that I've watched, maybe. It's gotten really good. Because your riddle included soaking, I had assumed that you were referring to the um, the Mormon practice, uh, unofficial. Do you know what that is? Uh-uh. I only know of it because it's been referenced in two different TV shows I've seen over the years. It's kind of, it's kind of a cousin of... I mean, it's the kind of idea that like as a comedic idea people love, which is sort of like, sort of a sister concept towards that thing of uh, Christians uh, having anal sex to preserve their right. virginity. Uh, but soaking is where it's a, where the man can uh, insert his penis into a woman, but he can't move. And so it doesn't count as sex as long as he just stays completely still. We've seen it referenced on two different TV shows. So that's what you thought. When you said, now he is soaking. Because it sort of ruined that word in terms of like, but such a vivid word to describe that. What word rhymes with choking? Croaking. Stoking. Soaking. Cloaking. Mm. Slant rhyme into broking. Broken. The choking. Broken, yeah. I'm not saying you had a lot of options. Okay. But what I find interesting about Survivor Mm -hmm. is that, well, man, there's a lot to discuss here. Have you heard of the show Castaways on ABC? Mm -mm. Castaways is what I originally thought Survivor was going to be. Mm -hmm. 
Castaways is just a show where they drop 12 people off on these islands and they like float their bags on different parts of the island and the people are dropped different parts and they just live there. It's a very quiet show. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually now fully vouch for this show. It just ended. I think it didn't do well because they put out the last three episodes all yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, Oh, third to last, second to last episode, back to back, and then the last night was the last episode. It's like, we usually do it, and then we're like, let's just get this out so we can clear it, clear the deck. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think it's fantastic. So there's a modern trend in television that I'm very much behind, which I call like quiet or slow television, mm-hmm. where it's the Great British Baking Show, Terrace House, um... I think there's a handful of shows that are of this where it's just there's not huge high stakes uh it's not about causing drama or um in a way i feel like um nailed it nicole's show is sort of like this though yeah. it's a funnier version of it but it's like we're not going to act like this is a big deal we're not going to act like there's drama where there's not we're just going to let you watch these pleasant things and have mm-hmm. fun doing it and show people being people and that's okay. Because I think there's sort of this escapism quality that people need right now. And so Castaways is sort of the promise of what Survivor was, which is just, it's just these people. They actually present it a lot like Lost. Yeah. Where it's like you see these people on the shores doing things, trying to survive. And then it goes like, and we go to a flashback. That's documentary footage of them and interviews and the things that are going on in their lives, the subtext as to yeah. what the, why they're doing. So it's like, oh, there's this person in, they have abandonment issues and we learn about, you know, their life and what they're going through. And then we go back and now that's subtext for what they're doing here. But it's, you know, there's not much conflict. For the first couple episodes, characters don't really interact at all because they're all in different parts of this cluster of islands. Mm-hmm. And it's just very quiet. And they have these like title sequences where it's just these little quotes or poems that are read aloud, and then it moves to the next sequence. And I really, I really like it. Um, there's a couple things that are, you know, some of the doc stuff is like, well, there's cameras there for this family meeting, so... Right, so it affects it. You're doing this for... Everyone's performing here a little bit. Yeah. Um, and likewise, there's shots that are just so beautiful and so well done that you're like, they had to have asked this person to, hey, hold up while we move the camera to get this shot. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but still, beautifully shot, nice ambience, and very quiet, and about understanding humans, and I like that. Um, so I've been watching that, and then simultaneously I also watched Survivor, which is actually mutated, because Survivor originally it was this promise of we're stranding these people on the island, and who's going who's gonna to be the last survivor, the yeah. ultimate survivor is what they'd always say in the early days. Or ultimate, was it ultimate survivor? Yeah. So... The thing that when I first watched it, and I watched the first five, six seasons, I was always like, oh, it's just like there's rules and games and voting, and it's, yeah. it's not about surviving as much as it's about these it's people playing this game. Relay race kind yeah. of stuff, yeah. But what's interesting is now the show is persistent and evolved that it's more of a sport than it is we're going to see these people survive mm-hmm. because everyone has watched the show so much, mm-hmm. and there are patterns and almost like plays like you'd have in any mm-hmm. other sport and everyone knows the rules and there's ways to skirt the, you know like in basketball there's players that sort of skirt the rules and do things that sort of 
take the intent of the rule and change it to get advantages in certain ways. Yeah. And now that's happening in Survivor <coughs> where it's not a documentary about people surviving. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's people playing this game called Survivor. Yeah. And now you get to watch it and be like, ooh, this person's a good player of the game Survivor. Or, ooh, this person made a mistake in the, the sport that is Survivor. Yeah. And there's all this stuff about that uh, Nicole Drispel has been explaining to me about like uh, communities that like dissect edgic. Is that what it's called? Edgic? Edit logic? Mm-hmm. Which is like... Oh. Depending, right. Depending if, if they're on, cutting in a certain way, it means like, oh, this person's going to not last or this person right. is. Right. Or it's or, like if you watch an episode and it's like, oh, they gave this person a lot of meat this episode. That means that they might go the next episode because they're trying to get their storyline out of the way. Or they're telling the story from the perspective <coughs> of this person. Yeah. Which means that they're putting, making this person be the villain for this, you know, whatever. Right. Um, so it's really interesting. And it's totally different now. Because one of the things that happens in reality television a lot, which I don't like, is that people, they cut out all the times where people are acknowledging that they're on a reality television show. Yeah. No one's ever like, I don't know, I'm behaving differently because I'm on camera right now. Or you don't ever hear someone say that. In Survivor now... First, like, ten years of it, you never heard anyone talk about Survivor. And then there came a point where... It was unavoidable because there'd be players who were like, I'm the ultimate Survivor fan. We've seen how Boston Rob did it. It was just like, you got to a point where you couldn't understand. Clearly they reached a point where someone, they reached a point where people were playing in a way where it's like, we can't edit their gameplay without including the fact that they grew up watching Survivor. Exactly. And they really gave into it then. And so now it's, Everyone on the show acknowledging that they're on this show playing this game and that this really has nothing to do with surviving because they're all fine. You know, every now and then they aren't getting enough food or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there was a turning point a few seasons ago on Survivor because my big pet peeve all the way along with Survivor, the thing I hated is it's such a good show and it's set up once they figured it out, once they figured out what worked and what didn't, and they're always, I like that they're always trying stuff and they're always learning stuff. Right. But there was a point where there's so many clever, uh, like in this last season, was that the one where there was a point where you had to roll a ball where it went down and then across yes. and you had to run down and retrieve it and you yeah. could never let it drop? That is a great challenge. It's exhausting. It's this big device and you're, working in teams and they keep adding in like, okay, add in another ball and the ball rolls down this kind of Rube Goldberg type contraption and you got to run. It's like a 30 foot track. Yeah. And you've got to run down the stairs and get to the end of it and catch it before it falls off the thing. Meanwhile, your partner has, has dropped another ball up the top and it's going down like, okay, add another ball. And eventually it's impossible. But I'm like, it's so clever. It's so fun to watch. It's so stressful. And there's never a point where any of the people is in danger of getting seriously hurt. Right. And there was a there was a cold open a few seasons ago that is, I could find which season it was, but it was like, it felt different because the episode opened and they're doing a challenge. So you're like, this completely defies right. this is the a, structure of the right. show. Challenges normally happen midway through. And so you're like, immediately you're like, what is going wrong? And... <coughs> They're having to dig for 
like a key that's buried in sand or something, and somebody like passes out, like from or like oh, right. looks like they're having an attack, and they call the medic, and Jeff Probst says, "You know, medic," and he's panicking, looks concerned, and then the medic's looking at them. Another person passes out, and they're like, "We need another medic," and then a third person, and you're just like, "Holy shit!" Like what? It felt like you see genuine fear on Jeff Probst's face of like. Are we going to have someone die? Are we going to have more than one person die right here, right now, because of we, we planned this wrong? It was, right. it was like what they planned was too exhausting, and it was in people were too dehydrated, and it was too hot out, and it was just like... Uh, 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 and I noticed from that point on, it seemed like there were fewer challenges. They started being like, here's a clever challenge, as opposed to here's a challenge that's going to punish you. Right. For, uh, because I really do feel like it's so irresponsible whenever they do any of those challenges that where people can can get hurt or it's unhealthy or whatever. You know, that was also the thing. I think I've said this before. That was also my biggest problem. You can explain away with the magic of the island, I suppose. But my biggest problem with the first season of Lost was how many good times they had on that beach in the first season. When I'm like. Any season of Survivor, which is a game show with a controlled environment where no one is in any real right. danger and they have a crew of people looking out for them, uh, people were, are so much more upset at various points on Survivor than most of those evenings on the beach in the first season of Lost, where they are on a beach where hundreds of people died right. in the plane crash that has stranded them there. And there's parts where they're like laughing and having fun and stuff like that. I'm like, no one has this much fun on Survivor Unless they get sent to like desert pleasure island, pleasure yeah. island, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But I think that's what's been interesting too is survivors dropped the the facade that they are this survivalist, like whatever. And it's like, no, this is this game. There is a survival aspect to it that you have to do. That it's almost like um, yeah, you gotta sleep outside. There's like bugs. A, there's you know, it's like a wood stove. It's like going to work this will be fine you just have to put in the work to do it yeah and so it's like yeah you're going to be at sleep outside you're not going to eat as much as you need to there's going to be meager days if you're not doing well in the competitions other people are going to get food if it rains you're just going to ruin your life you know like right. it, it is one of those things where it's like the act of getting rained on and not being able to get out of the rain is yeah. like deceptively devastating to people just like yeah. not being able to take shelter from a rainstorm is like yeah oh no, like everything is ruined. But then what's so interesting is, you know, in the early seasons of Survivor, it'd be like, oh great, there's a reward challenge where you get to, three people who get to go get a massage and eat peanut butter sandwiches. And it's like, oh, who are your best friends on the island? Go take them with you. And now it's like, oh no, this is a, this is a, a time to play the game still. Mm-hmm. And it's more about tactics and likewise, the challenges, it's like not everyone's always trying to win the challenges because there's certain tactics to that. And it's all part of this game that's being played. And so it's, it turns into a sport more than it is now a reality show about survivors. And it's, it, it's really interesting to watch because it's not, it's not um, holding up so much pretense anymore, acting like it's something it's not. It's like, nope, we are a game show and we're just going to watch people play it. It's like The Amazing Race. It's like it's more like The Amazing Race now. Well, I also like that there's things that they used to do, like they used to always give a car away 
near the end. But at a certain point, people realize, like, no one who wins the car ever wins the game. So it kind of was like, the players didn't seem to want it as much. Right. And it also was kind of like a bad tip-off. that It's like, well, it takes the suspense out because there's no way the person who wins the car will ever be brought to the final two right. or whatever. Yeah, and what I like, too, is that Jeff Probst, because he's done this show for so many years, mm-hmm. he now seems to be a legitimate fan of the gameplay and the tactics of the show. Mm-hmm. And so he's as invested in all the moves people are making and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so as a host, he's not trying to get it back on the like, wow, you're out here surviving. He's like, interesting. It looks like we're having a, uh, like, what, what do they call the, uh, uh, oh, seems like there's a blind side going on. Maybe there's a double blind side hat. And it's like these terminologies and things that it feels more like a sport now. And it's really Also, a, a, a really fun trend that started in the past few seasons that I'm sure you saw is the whispering that goes on in Tribal. Yes. Which, it's funny that it happened organically, which was there was, somebody did it in like one of the Tribals where someone was like, went over and whispered. And it's very like, it feels like very like, primate behavior you know it feels like a very animalistic like i'll go over i'll whisper oh they're whispering i'll go over and whisper everyone's whispering and they're just like yeah there's no rule that you can't whisper to people in tribal it's just up to a certain point people were like behaving well it's like the social contract drops away and people are just like terrified and so they're like they'll just like step in front of the camera and just like lean over and be like nervously like whisper like ranting something to someone's ear but no, we have to go, da, 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 and then it's like someone react, and it's just, it yeah. turns this thing where it's like, oh no, we're not going to act like it's like, oh, we're a bunch of civil people. It's like, no, we're a bunch of people desperately trying to win this game. Yeah. It's also, um, they do a lot less of that thing they used to do, which is like pretending that they're like, let's go to the local native's village and engage in their customs. Right. And there used to be a lot more of, I feel like, show business uh, 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 anthropology kind of like... Right, where it'd be like, the tribes of this island, it's like, you don't really care. So now you're just going to make up fake names for these tribes and you're going to just keep it separate. Because also I think they've been using the same islands for a couple of years in a row now, right? Yeah. Mm. Early on I really wanted them to do... Well, two things I really wanted them to do. They're kind of about to do one. One thing I really wanted was for them to do a celebrity survivor. Because I think it would have been fascinating to see, like, because I know, like, Ray Romano really wanted to do it for a long time. And I think it would be fascinating to watch Ray Romano three days into a thing where it's raining and he's hungry. And, wow. You know, it's still a funny guy, but also probably, like, maybe in a bad mood, but also, like, wanting to win, you know. This gets to my. Ego challenge rant, which I've done before, right? Well, so before Survivor, Mark Burnett, uh, he organized adventure races, and one in particular called the Ego Challenge. And his first foray into television, I believe, ever, maybe he did some small stuff, but his first foray into like adventure television stuff was a televised version of the Ego Challenge. It started as like, you know, it was like I think a two or three part. Discovery Channel documentary. Back when the Discovery Channel was more about, it was more like National Geographic. And it's these teams of four people doing this adventure race where it's like mm. hiking, 
orienteering, lost in the jungle, and it's considered one of the hardest races you could possibly do. People get lost, have to get medevaced out. Mm. Really dangerous and took really... Um, they did this special. The special won a bunch of Emmys. And so then they, uh, I think it ended up going from the Discovery Channel and then maybe it was like on ABC once and back to Discovery and then somewhere else. But you got to see that evolve similar to Survivor where it started as this documentary about this adventure race to suddenly the adventure race was just like a televised race. Mm-hmm. And then it became this thing where it was no longer just adventure racers. It was now people that were like, oh, I want to go on TV and win this thing. Mm-hmm. And so the competition got really good. And then they started going to more extreme places that were really crazy and people would get put in a lot of, it was, it was more legitimate, real danger. And cause yeah. these were athletes trying to do this. Right. But then that was right around when the era of rally television started coming around and you see Burnett sort of wrapping his head around it. The show developed into something that was more akin to what survivor turned into. And it's funny if you watch the eco challenge, a lot of the sound cues, uh, editing patterns yeah. are all developed in Eco Challenge. Oh, funny. Um, but then in a certain season, sort of when I think it jumped the shark, they started going, oh, maybe it's more about the teams arguing and the personalities than it is about yeah. just seeing these amazing, mostly stoic adventure racing teams. And they started having like the Playboy Bunny team. But then there's one team that was very funny, which is Hayden Christensen was on a team. Right, this is right after him doing Star Wars when he was like a big celeb, and it's like his team gets lost almost immediately. And, and it's just like funny, and he's like, whatever, like 17 or 19 or whatever. And it's just like this kid out in the, in the middle of the jungle being like, uh, I think we're done, I think we can't go any further. And it's like very funny because it is that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I like it or not because I feel like what you'd have to do. Mm-hmm. It would have to be people that liked Survivor. Because mm-hmm. what's interesting about it now is people that are treating this like the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They're treating this like, I've watched every season. I know what my plan's going to be. I can see when things are changing. I can see when things are unfolding. Uh-huh. The bummer sometimes with the celebrity version of things is that celebrities come in and they're like, What's this? I don't need the money. I don't really care about this thing. I'm going to sort of stay in, stay in my shell because, like, right. what is this? And then it's sort of people being like, I don't know. Let's all vote so-and-so off. And then it always ends up being like whoever. It's always the celebrity that wins the celebrity blank is always like just the person who's like middle of the road enough. Right. And it's usually not like a big name. So it's like it would only be fun if it was people who are like diehard Survivor fans. Or put a couple celebrities into just a regular season. Well, that's what's about. Not a celebrity as far as I'm concerned. Mike White is going to be on the new season of Survivor. Oh, right. I've heard about this. And oh, right. he was on The Amazing Race with his dad at one point. It's um, David vs. Goliath coming up. Yeah. And, <coughs> I mean, I love Mike White as a, as a filmmaker and as a performer. And I'm really intrigued to see what his dynamic is like. Uh, just being himself in the world of this show. I've also he was also on Amazing Race. No, but he was also on um, a Dog Whisperer. Really? Was it Dog Whisperer or Jackson Galaxy Cat Whisperer? He was on one of those shows. Also, does he just love being on weird TV shows? No. 
That's fine. Did, he did that movie Year of the Dog. Maybe he right. loves dogs, too. Maybe that's why he did that one. That was the tie-in. I just watched earlier this year the show Sneaky Pete. Yeah, I haven't watched it. I know of it. It's on Amazon. I think it does really well on Amazon. I, I think it's like a successful show, but Sneaky Pete and Get Shorty are both... Like, if these were TV shows that were on in the 90s, right. they would be talked about like they were The Sopranos. They would be like... They're, right. they're, they're shows that obviously have benefited from the, you know, the, the, the changing nature of TV drama and that everything has become... That's, that's where a lot of the good filmmaking has gone to. Right. Uh, the good storytelling has, like, migrated to... From feature films to TV. But... It's fascinating to me that, like... I mean, how many people watch epics? How many people have epics? Like, how many people... Uh, and yet, it's a really good... Like, it's it's Chris O'Dowd using his, like, Irish accent. Right. Which is great. It's just one of those things where it's like, oh. He's like... It's basically about, like... Chris O'Dowd plays a guy who... Um, gets the idea that they can make a movie. They can, like... They basically go... They go to, like, L.A. They're, like, based in Nevada. And Chris O'Dowd and another guy, they basically go to L.A. to, like, collect on a debt from this guy. And this guy's written a screenplay. And they end up... Chris O'Dowd ends up reading the screenplay and thinking, like, this could be a good movie. And he ends up coming up with a scheme that's, like, we could make a movie and use it to launder money for the criminal organization that we uh, work for. But he wants to kind of get out of that criminal organization... So he's actually interested in, like, no, we can make a great film. Right. Oh, that's and, interesting. And so it's really a, mo- it's a whole thing about organized crime. Which, wasn't that a real thing that happened? Yeah, I think so. There was some movie that was actually this money laundering front. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I th- think there's, like, some famous case of it, though, where the movie's, like, insane. Like, that's what people thought, like, the room was for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, like, the, the more the show goes further, there's a point where, like, the feds are getting involved. But, like, at first it's the feds putting pressure on, like, we're going to use your movie as a sting operation to bring right. in your, the crime organization. But then at a certain point, Chris O'Dowd's character is, like, going back to the feds and being like, listen, they need a military base to shoot on. And if we don't get... And it's like, right. the movie won't work. Can you... He's like, he's using the feds more than the feds are using him. Right. And the feds are also starting to like... The, the sort D, of believe in The it. DP is on the no-fly list and he's stuck in Iran. Can you get him a visa? And, and within the FBI, they're having conversations about how like... He really is good. Like he really right. is. It really is what the film needs. They're like getting... The feds are getting invested in the act of the, making the movie good. That's really funny. Um, but it's kind of like a little bit heartbreaking to think of like, I mean, not really. They're getting the show made and people will see it. But it is, there's an aspect of like, and maybe it's more popular than I realized, but even just the fact that you'd never heard of it. And I only just recently. I know. I've seen all the posters. I've just yeah. never watched it. But like Sneaky Pete, I didn't watch it for a long time. I thought it looked like didn't look good to me. Right. And I watched it, and there's parts of that show 
that give me the same feeling as like the most exciting parts of Breaking Bad. Like, there's parts of the show where you get to that place where it's like there's a scheme and it's gone wrong, and just when you think it can't go get any worse, something else comes in and makes it twice as right. dangerous or something. And this is that kind of like, oh my god, you're like, what's the next episode going to be? And this is fascinating to me that like so many shows exist that are existing at a level of, of whatever the bare minimum awareness that this show can exist at to keep right. existing. Yeah. but it's, it, I also th- feel like we are an era of television where people don't watch things immediately anymore mm-hmm. because it's about slow word of mouth. Where it's like, I might watch Sneaky Pete now and it's probably been out for... Months. Yeah, like I watched both seasons because it's been, you know... The... Right. Similar, like, I just this past weekend watched American Vandal. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And right, so tell, tell me what you think American Vandal is. I have no idea what it is. Have you heard of it, though? Yeah. And people have been like, oh, you should watch American Vandal. Yeah. I had the same thing. I had no idea. I got a little idea of what it was, and then I watched it, and I was like, oh, this is really funny. Yeah. American Vandal is a parody of it's not even a parody it is a fictional version of a serial style tv show yeah a true crime tv show like what's his name with the fucking the old rich guy um that did the murders s town no, no the tv show the, oh, docu- the jinx the, the jinx. jinx yeah uh it's like the jinx it's like What's the other one with the murder in the town? Oh, um, the staircase or... Um, then there's the staircase, then there's the other one. Uh, yeah, uh, 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 um, making a murderer. Making a murderer. So it's like making a murder, the jinx, staircase, all that whole world, yeah. serial, the like sort of audio version of that. So it's a fictionalized version of that, but the crime is takes place at a high school and... Uh, someone drew a bunch of dicks on the faculty's cars. Yeah. And it's students making this documentary trying to figure out who did it because there's this kid who's it's being pinned on mm. and the documentarians are not convinced that this kid actually did it. And so then it's these high school kids having these... And it's stylistically tone perfect to these yeah. things. Um, <coughs> and so it's interviews with other high schoolers with teachers done at a budget and a skill yeah. style that is not high school the whole joke is that it's like fully the jinx fully that kind of thing mm-hmm. but tone perfect and the actors are incredible the main kid is like he's like this like stoner jock like class clown kid yeah but like he's trying to sort of act like be presentable on camera a little bit, but also still be cool. And it's like he strikes these tones that are so perfect. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, there's the kid who's like the, not the class president, but he like ran for treasurer and didn't. He's sort of like the weasel. And he's like lying about getting a hand job from some girl and da da da. And it's just like they have all these interviews where it's the exact tone and style of these things, but transposed onto high school drama. Mm-hmm. And then it gets into some interesting stuff of like, 
all these secrets coming out and what good was this for ultimately and, yeah. and there's some interesting turns but it's really funny but only because it's just done so faithfully and without any jokes or winks and it's just this like high school transposition of that style and I didn't really get that's what the show was or when I thought about it yeah. I was like oh I sort of get I, I assumed that it was going to be like what, what's his name that Australian oh Summer Heights High yeah it's, it's like, like that where it's like very yeah tongue in cheek Though faithful, yeah. And this is like, actually, I'm really blown away by a lot of the performances. And I watched it, and I was like, "Oh, this is what people were talking about for the past year." And it took me like a year or two to finally watch the thing. People have been like, "Oh, this is really good." And I think that's just how TV works now. Or people watch it on the day it drops, like yeah, yeah. Because that's likewise. Um, my buddy and the person who first got me into magic Justin Willman mm-hmm. just dropped his show on Netflix and he poured so much of himself into the show and I know how hard it, directed by Adam Franklin mm-hmm. um, who worked with us on Get the Show um, and I dropped it on Netflix and immediately took off and people mm-hmm. loved it and it's like Netflix also does this thing where they will make 10 of the same show so it'll be like 10 magic shows for adult comedy fans and families mm-hmm. um, or 10 comedic baking shows or 10 sports documentary series. <clears throat> and then whichever one hits, they're just like, all right, that's our one. And they sort of bury the rest and then just promote that one. And it's interesting to see because there's all these shows that get made that might never be seen. Yeah. Um, What's his name? Uh, the guy who created Everybody Loves Raymond. Um, yeah. Bill Rosenthal has that like uh, eating show, that yeah. food show. He did Ask Cat Monologues not too long ago, and he was talking about how he just all he wants Netflix to do is to tweet about his show, right? Like on their tweet, and he's like, they're like, oh, we can't, we can't spare a tweet, whatever. And he was like, you can't spare a tweet? Just give me one tweet. Just tweet that the shows. He was like talking about how he's like going around and promoting it. And he just wants Netflix to do one tweet, right. just saying like, "Hey, go see this." Uh, somebody feed Phil, right? And he was like, "No, it's like such precious." Uh, their Twitter th- feed is such precious real estate, and they have so many things that it's like, right? And like they're like these weird parents that are like, "No, no, no, we will dole out our food to our children as we see fit." Yeah, it's it's strange. I mean. That's what was so interesting about like CISO, right? It's like you say about Epics, like how many people watch Epics? It's like how many shows were made for CISO and how many viewers were there on CISO? And it's yeah. it's just interesting to see there's these platforms and these <coughs> channels and what is an important viewership these days. Yeah. And I think something interesting might happen from all this, and I think it is happening currently. I think gone to the days where you can get super rich and enter I mean you still can because there's still money on the table well and there's like you know this it's bifurcated into like super low budget and super high budget it's like there's still Star Wars movies and Marvel movies Mm -hmm. and things like that where it's like billions of dollars being exchanged but there's also a lot more shows which means the audience are a lot smaller which means the money's going to be smaller so it almost turns into this sort of like middle class middle class entertainment career you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you can have a job in entertainment, but also not be making a ton of money, which I yeah. think is interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, I... I always, like, as long as it... it Which I feel like we fit into that thing where it's like... Yeah, I'm... We both can make a living doing this, but neither of us are... No, I mean, I probably... Before too long, I need something to happen, uh, but I can... I can... uh, At this point, I can, like, go a couple months and then see what drops and see, you know... I can have one or two things sort of, like, make the month for me, you know? Right. I just need enough per month to happen, which has been sort of what's been the case this year is like month to month, like if I have like a real slow month in the next month, I need to like figure out something, but uh, it's it's nice to get to a place where, you know, I'm, I mean, there is, a, there is the thing that's like, you know, the more... You, Typically, the, if you're making more money for it, there's a trade-off to that that comes right. with it, which is this: it, it eats at your time. It's usually something that you want to do less or, you know, like even, I mean, the only thing I really have on the horizon is uh, the, I mean, I just did a, another little thing for Search Party for the third season of Search Party. I think that show is so good. I do too. And uh, I had it in my head what I thought I was gonna. I was confident I was gonna. They were gonna bring me back for the third season. You're so funny in that show too. It's such a. I have a small, just one scene. I think in season three, and it's not what I thought it was gonna be. Um, I had an idea in my head of like, oh, I know how they'll bring me back, and then it wasn't that at all. Um, but because the character, I mean, don't give away any spoilers. Yeah. But, like, the character storyline that you're most associated with is not necessarily the focus anymore. Not at all. And, um... I will say, can I also... Yeah. I'm interrupting, but, um... That show... Because... A majority of the cast... I, uh, a good amount of the cast... Maybe half the cast... Is people that I'm friends with. Right. And that I've known coming up through comedy. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes with shows like that, when I watch it, I'm like... Oh, there's my friends are on the show. I watched that show, and you guys are all just the characters, right? Which is a, re- a really impressive thing for the show. Like you, like your character on that show, I I engage with as just a person watching that show as that character. Like Griffin Newman has a character on that show that is one of his best performances. Yeah, as this like awful, dark, disturbing creep. John Reynolds, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Just phenomenal in that show. And I just, I watched that show just as a, an audience member, and I'm able yeah. to see all of you guys as characters. You know what? Um, I can't remember if I've talked about this before, but in the second season, this, the, one of the scenes that I did uh, changed the way that I react now whenever we're on set and there's any issues with sound. Because I've always perceived, because of the way when you're filming something, sound is always this precious thing where it's like, Hold, there's a boat yeah. a mile away. There's a bus yeah. breaking. Okay, hold. Oh, can we turn the refrigerator off? I know it's really hot, but right. we'll turn that off. Okay, we got perfect. We got a great sound, etc. And I've always just been like, oh my God, sound is just... And You know, obviously sound is like... Yeah. In low-budget movies, they always say like, if the sound's bad, your whole movie's fucked. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter how good it looks. If it sounds bad, you got a bad movie. I've always just thought, oh, it's this delicate thing. It's just like a newborn right. baby. You've got to just... So careful, and 
we're filming in the house where it's like the the Winterbottoms house. Yeah. It's all windows and skylight, and they film uh, Dory and all the other characters, all the other family, the way it's set up. Coverage. Okay, we're uh, uh, turning around. Film this. Okay, we're gonna get this. There's like four different angles that they need to get this. I'm the last angle they get to. Right. And also the least important because most of my stuff is like the button at the end of the scene. Yes. So it'd be the easiest thing to cut off. Which I've talked with many people who that is one of the funniest moments of the show. I, it's a really great line, that that thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was also could have been expendable in terms of like... Yes. If, uh, if, if your day if was you running short, to. you're like, move on. They finally get around to me, and the skies turn black, and a thunderstorm erupts, and it is like a full-on, like, the rain pounding at the windows, the wind, everything. And I was like, there's just no way. They they moved everything so that if you if you look at it, you'll see that they've they moved my angle a little so that there's no it just barely misses there being a window behind me. So they had to like move me and cheat it a little. But also, like, I'm ha- the only way to deliver those lines is kind of, like, quiet and subtle. Sort of under your breath, yeah. Otherwise, it's not funny. So I'm like, are they going to... And I was so concerned. I'm like, they're just going to cut this line. And it's fine. When you watch it, you're just like... They, and they were not nervous about it. it was not, it's one thing if they were like, oh, you know, they were like, really... They were not worried. I was worried. I was like, are you sure? Are we getting... And they're like, yeah, we're, we're fine. I'm like... What about every time there was like a bird in the distance on anything I've ever filmed before? Whatever they did, I don't know what they did to... Because literally, like, imagine the difference between this audio right now and what it would sound like if there was a, like, gale force winds and rain well, and everything. So there's certain sounds that you can take out. Yeah. And the technology has gotten better over the years. Yeah. And so what it really comes down to is a... What your mentality is. Right. And who has what power in what situation. Right. So, theoretically, ideally, yeah, you want clean audio. You want it to feel like you're in a booth delivering into a mic with nothing outside of it. Yeah. Which is why you'll have the occasional audio guy be like, oh, we can hear that plane or that thing. And there's certain sounds like that that are... More invasive. More invasive... And if you have the power to wait and get it without that, might as well. Mm-hmm. That said, like most things in film and television, if that's the only thing you can do, you can usually make it work. Yeah. And worst was, case scenario, you could have done ADR or anything like that. I yeah. was fascinated by it because to me, I was like, they didn't get my shot. Right. And then when I watched it, I was like, it looks and sounds perfect. Right. I couldn't, I was listening for it. Is there any sense of like it being weird when it comes to me? Well, you're probably like chest mic'd. Mm-hmm. So you're probably hearing more of your inner chest cavity, and you probably had a shirt over your mic. So a lot of that the sound rain was is louder filtered. than my voice. You know, it's just like yeah. it seems like it wouldn't make sense to me. Um, they had just enough to grab onto, and I bet if you listen on headphones, you could probably <coughs> hear the rain. Hmm. I bet I can. I bet you could. Um, Should we find it? Yeah, let's find it. Um, I don't know how I'm gonna find it. I have no idea that you look so confident the way you. Changed positions, and you said, "Let's find it." Um, no, but the the only other thing that I have, which I'm really looking forward to, is uh, "Marvelous Mrs. Maisel." 
season right. two, uh, which is really interesting filming that because I have a part where I have one scene. I mean, two episodes. I have one scene where uh, there's what like, season was that? Two. That was season two. Yeah. Um, I have one scene where it's me talking. And then... Do you know what episode it was? Uh, I feel like three, but it could be two. Paralysis, suspicion, conspiracy. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, let's say second episode, if I, had to, if I had to guess. Um, yeah, the yeah. church, yeah. And... I won't give away... So, okay, we're going to test this. Be more like halfway. Yeah, I think I have to. Oh, you have to go all the way through the... I have to go to the end. Act to do an act. I want to do a commercial. Um, so I have one scene in an episode, and... And then my, after that, you see my character a few times, but it's always just like as a button. that you, It's right. like a visual gag, the fact that I'm even there. And so they did the thing where I had to go up to Binghamton, New York, and... Uh, and they like basically paid for my time. Like they paid for me they to like will. cool my heels in a hotel, in a Holiday Inn for... Like a week, and there's Con. There I am. There's Con. Con. Turn that volume up. Yeah, we um actually we found her in a motel. Yeah, we found her camping out in a motel in um in New Hampshire. And we were very big fans of. I think he'll go close up to the red button there. Separated. That is absolutely right. Well said, Robert. I would go so far as to say that when a man and his future sister-in-law are separated, that perhaps that is the second greatest horror in life. That, of course, after two sisters are separated. So parent and sister, and then sister's husband. And say that's the order. Okay. Do you hear? It? They added birds, right? They they added a lot of. Uh, they added a lot of hiss and a lot of chirping birdies, right? Now I'm listening with headphones. Okay, you're gonna render your judgment. Because they might have just been able to pull it out pretty well. JD's putting on the headphones now to listen. Uh, I can never remember which side's which. Hmm? No. Does it matter? Technically, yes. Really? Yeah. Matters which headphone is on which ear? Yeah, you can hear it a little bit. Really? The slightest bit. But it did a really good job of blending it into other background noise. Let me hear
I don't know if I'm just forcing myself to hear it. Right. But that's what I'm saying is that I think they did a really good job blending it in with the other... Yeah. Just adding a little bit of room tone that was a very similar frequency. Yeah, that it kind of blurs it. It blurs the sound in a way that... Like you could tell how there could be rain sound hidden underneath that. Yeah. Interesting. It, fun fact. Fun fact. So, Binghamton. Marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah, it was just interesting because it was like... You realize that it's like uh, how much of it is just like it was very interesting to be paid to wait around. Yeah, because I haven't been in that specific situation. I've been in, I've been in that on like a day to day thing where it's like, well, the whole day is long because they paid for your whole day. Right. But where they were just like, we just want you to be, since it's four hour, five hours away or whatever. We just want you to live near where we're filming in case we need you on one of these days. Right. And was your was that a different rate than a day rate? Yeah, it was like they paid me for the the day rate for the filming days, but then they also like we're also buying you for the week. Got it. Um so So then you like it was just like cooling my heels in a Holiday Inn in a, in a little town where there really wasn't anything to do. And there was, like, there wasn't, it was strange to be in a town where, like, I bought food at a CVS. Wait, you were in Binghamton? Yeah. That's so funny. Um, you know who's from Binghamton? Who? Brandon Gardner. Oh, really? That's where he grew up. Oh. And... happens it's so weird there's I have family that lives in Wellsville it's so weird that it does this there are certain areas in Google Maps where it cannot give you directions between that's interesting it's like we don't know we're sorry but uh, I have family up in Wellsville which is not far from Binghamton um, but yeah Brandon Gardner grew up I believe grew up in Binghamton yeah I mean it is like um, very interesting to be to find yourself like wandering around several days in a row. I sort of like wandered around the whole sort of It's not a big place either. No. And where I was at, it's the type of place where it's like, well, if you had a car you could probably go and explore someplace or go to a nice park or something. There's a nice riverfront area where right. I was at. But you very quickly just get to the at least I do anyway, get to the point where you're just like, Well, back to the hotel room to keep cable news on and maybe uh, surf the internet you know just like right slowly surf the internet and watch the five channels I get yeah yeah um, but like when you get to the point where you're buying like a can of soup at a CVS that so you can go microwave it in your hotel room yeah you know yeah that is the weird part is you don't have some of the 
furnishings of home. Yeah. Also, like... So you're like, either I'm going to go eat at this weird, okay diner by myself again, mm-hmm. or if I want to stay in and watch this thing, I'm going to find, like, a Subway sandwich I'm going to eat on my hotel bed. I bought a can of soup, a can of, like, chicken noodle soup or something. Right. Because I knew I had a microwave. Got to my room, realized I didn't have a spoon. I was going to say, that always happens. And didn't feel like going back downstairs to the restaurant or kitchen or anything. And so I just MacGyvered it. I (laughs) took a um, couple of the paper coffee cups that were there for the room. Right. And I would tear them up into like, they'd be these like spoons that would last for like a few bites and then would fall apart. Like, oh, a, no. like a, they would lose their integrity uh, pretty and quickly. And you'd like swallow styrofoam, no doubt. No, it wasn't styrofoam, it was paper. Um, but it was one of those things where it's like, you start to realize like, oh no, if I, it's better if I like tear the cup like this, it makes a better spoon. Right. Lasts for four spoonfuls and then suddenly you're like what am I doing <coughs> no I would do it when we did um, my brother my brother me in West Virginia I was in a hotel for four weeks five weeks yeah and you start just having to figure out how you're going to live your life like that yeah and like I remember like the thing that I look forward to the most is there was a um a cold stone creamery mm-hmm. that everything, most things closed at like 9 p.m. That closed at 10. So like when we wrapped up, or most things closed at 8, that closed at 9 maybe. Or something like that where I was yeah. like. You had a little bit of an extra window. And like I'd try to wrap our, even though it's like impossible to wrap a day before like 7 p.m. on a crazy low budget shoot. I'd like have to because I'd have to let our staff go. Get their cold stone. dinner. No, because all the restaurants closed at like 8 or 9 or whatever. Yeah. So it's like I had to let people go so they could go get get food. Otherwise, I had to like figure out how to get the production to get everyone dinner in whatever place was open two towns over. Um, and then I would usually stay late, piece together whatever I could from craft services for my dinner. And then I'd always be like, at least I'm gonna go to Coldstone Creamery and have this like 16 year old put some ice cream in a cup for me so I can go eat it on my hotel bed while watching yeah. like. The local news or watching Spider-Man 2 or whatever. Yeah. You're doing the math of how many hours we have left? Yeah, I was just trying to figure out what time, it, what, what point we're at in this episode. We're going until 11.30, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> and we're at 3.30 now? Yeah. So we're more than a quarter of the way done. Yeah, so we have eight hours left. We're a third of the way done? Something like that. Yeah. Um, let me think what else. I'm gonna, do you have your list? Do you have your list of topics? Yeah, I got my list. Things? Should we consult it? Um, Has there any been been any scuttlebutt on our subreddit? Oh, let's check. Let's see. Um, uh, it's twelve hour day, or is it 
one two HR JD Connor. I don't remember. But you should just be able to search it, right? Oh yeah. What is everybody say? I'll see if there's any any questions from the. I tweeted a picture and I've indicated oh, okay. on it. Um, someone brought up how it was cool that you did the podcast from Abbey Road. You know, it's the least popular... The Abbey Road episodes are by far the least popular episodes of Will Hines' podcast. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, do you want to know if there's a podcast app that's... that's I use Overwatch. Or Overcast. I play Overwatch and I use Overcast. Overcast for podcasts. 12-hour minute. Episode 14, let's see. Our friend, we did the window thing with... Oh, yeah, that was the last one we did was in the window. Yeah. Someone pointed out that I said Buck Wild a bunch, and then I picked it up from the McElroys. I did indeed pick up the phrase Buck Wild from the McElroys. <laughs> Me telling everyone will be out in a week. Boy, oh boy, was it not out in a week. Tanny and Phil. Okay, here's one. Pie Man Pie. He's always been a big supporter. Did one is checking in to see if everyone's doing okay. And people were responding. And then Ramona asked about... Did you see in and of itself? No. Neither did I. I don't even know what it is. It's a magic show. Well... Oh, was it the Frank Oz show? Yes. Yeah, I didn't see it. And I heard all sorts of thoughts and ideas. Most, most, everyone really liked it. I know a lot of people thought that it was like, sort of really blew their minds. Um, and like, I think the magic's okay, but just the staging and performance of it is really, really right. good, and the content of it is really good. Yeah. So Ramona's asking if anyone saw it, but neither of us did. Neither of us did. But I've heard good things. And I was always, whenever I hear a new magic show, I'm like skeptical, because right. I know so many people in that world. Yeah. But for the most part, here's honestly the thing, most part, a lot of magic is sort of lame and boring. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of times it's just like, you've seen it before. Right. And it's a lot of people putting on this persona of like, I'm a dark, mystical, high status person. Did you watch Fool Us? Yes. I really like that show. I like Fool Us a lot. Um, um, and what's interesting too is, knowing how all the tricks work. Yeah. Because there's not that, you know. You probably understand when they do their jargon, their like yes. code, code talk. Yes. Uh, it seems like that's its own, like that's part of the fun for him is like to be able to figure out a way to answer those questions, you know? Yes, and if you listen, it's like really obvious yeah. what he's doing, but it's you can't tell any of it. Yeah, I, yeah. It's, oh, that's so funny. It's also like, it's also really interesting on that show because I, I'm fooled by all of the magic. Like all of the magic fools right. me, obviously. I don't know how any of it works, and I don't want to. I like, the, I like that feeling. Right. And uh, 
what I'm the thing that I get interested in in terms of the critical part of my mind is how so many uh, acts that go on that show that are trying to also be funny and how low the success rate is for actually being funny for right. a lot for the, every now and then there's been someone who's genuinely makes me laugh and I'm always impressed because even the ones that I think oh I like this person I don't like their comedy right uh one thing I really enjoy about that show, and I, this is kind of like a version of the, um, like the, what would you call the edit logic or the edit? Edgic. Edgic? Yeah. That's edit logic. Uh-huh. Um, I think someone might correct me, but I'm pretty sure it's edgic. I, I always enjoy watching on that because uh, Pendulette is very, um, Pendulette who also uh, uh, I interacted with in my Costello megathon. Oh, really? Because there's a... There was a tour, this is a diversion from that, what I'll get back to in a second. Uh, in 1986, Elvis Costello put out two albums. Uh, one was an acoustic, uh, stripped-down album with a bunch of like session musicians who'd played with like Elvis Presley. And right. They got all these legendary American session museum, musicians. And then he also put out uh, a, a, a stripped-down rock album with The Attractions, his, 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 right. his band. And then he did a tour, which was a financially debilitating like he just lost money on this tour because every city he would go to they would do five nights with two bands and one of the bands would only the the sessions band would only do one night the attractions would do three nights and then there'd be a solo night and so there'd be one with the attractions promoting the new album one greatest hits night with the attractions one night with the giant big spinning songbook and then one night solo and then one night with the other band and on one of the nights, they would always have like guest MCs right. in the various cities where they do this. So it would be like Tom Waits in LA or Roberto Benigni in like Italy or someplace right. where the Chicago Bears did it in Chicago, I think, or members of the Chicago Bears. So it was Penn and Teller uh, did it in New York, I think, right. on one of the nights. So I found this clip, and it was Penn Gillette uh, badgering Costello into do, playing a Prince song. Uh, and he's yelling at him like, the audience wants to hear you do a Prince song. And then they go into pop life. And it was all like a... Yeah, it was all a pre-rehearsed thing, but yeah. it was made to look like Prince, like yelled at, like got the audience worked up to make right. Castle on the Van play a Prince song, and so I had, like tweeted about that and I found that clip, and then Pendulette like tweeted in response to that, which was fun. That's fun. Um, but so anyway, I love watching on that show because you know Penn has talked about how he used to be more aggressive in his persona. Yeah. And he used to be more like, he thought the, the audience almost as the enemy. Right. And you had to be yell at them to get their attention. And at a certain point, he started thinking... I know thinking, how that feels. Yeah. Yeah. At a certain point, he started thinking, no, the audience is like a friend that you're trying to like uh, uh, show yeah. something to. And so his persona on Fool, on Fool Us is very like, he's, a, he's not there to be like the Simon Cowell and like tear apart yeah. magicians. And I like that even when they, that he always tries something positive to say... But you can always kind of tell at the beginning of his thing where he's like, boy, uh, this is just, uh, boy, we just love just the whole routine. It's such a fun, you know, we just love all of it. Uh, it's so good. Right. And you can always tell, like, when he starts by saying boy at the beginning of it, and it's like, oh, this magician did not fool them. Like, well, so that's the thing that's interesting about the show is because they have on a lot of people who... Um, because the way that it works is that they both go out and seek talent for the yeah. show. And some people will apply. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly they have talent crews that are out there being like, hey, would you want to come down the show and do this routine? Right. Um, 
And so when they get people on the show, there's a lot of them where they're doing a routine where it's like, that's a well-known magic routine. Right. Everybody knows how that thing works. But right. you're a great performer, and the audience will really enjoy you. And so Penn and Teller will not, you're not going to fool them, because yeah. everyone knows that works. But it's worth it for you to be on national TV and do this thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people, like uh, a friend of mine, Blake, went on the show, and he's worked with Penn and Teller. So they know how he does what he does. Mm -hmm. But what he does is so amazing, and most magicians don't know how he does it. So put him in a weird spot because he did this trick that they're they're like, they even say in the thing, they're like, we know how you do it. We still couldn't see you do it, and we still know that you've done it so well that there's no way to tell how you did that. But we know how you did it, so you didn't fool us. Right. And it's like this tough thing where, because they'll have on performers, um, there's this uh, one performer who Mikey Erg's a big fan of. Mm-hmm. He was a, 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 a pretty well-known like punk rock musician who then was like, I'm going to do magic. Mm-hmm. And they had him on the show, and he did a, 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 a trick that is a very common trick. But he has a character and a persona that's really fun to watch, and it's like great TV. Yeah. And so Penn and Teller want to respect that and go, boy, uh, this is great. Audience, just, just really great stuff. We just love all of it, the whole routine. It's just so, uh, you know. But uh, and then he'll go into some coded thing about. Uh, well, it's like, it's like if you're watching someone do a Herald, and it's like yeah. you know what it is, but you can still do it good. Yeah. And so it's like they want to be like audience. Just because I'm about to say this person didn't fool us right. doesn't mean this isn't great magic still. Yeah. And then likewise, the flip happens. And on his podcast, Penn's talked about it. It's like there's a couple, there's people that now have tried to gamify the show a little bit. And so uh, in magic, you have something that's called a flash, which right? is where you accidentally show how you're doing it. Yeah. And sometimes there's certain tricks where you have to flash to do something. And so you just try to do it quick enough or distract from it so that the regular person won't notice the flash. Yeah. And so what sometimes people do is they'll go on the show and intentionally show a flash of one method, but then do another common method. Yeah. To get Penn and Teller to be like, we know that you did blankety blank. And then the person will be like, no, I didn't. And then the judge, like, they have some judges backstage that have to technically be like, yeah, technically he fooled you. And then they have to sort of begrudgingly be like, you fooled us, but it wasn't great magic. It was just right. you tricked us into doing it. Like, and there's also people that come on that are technically incredible, but aren't great entertainers. Right. But do something that is remarkable. So it's, it's a really interesting show. Yeah, it is. Because I love those moments on the show where they're like, did you do this? I didn't know that that's what it was. They're like, no, I did not. And they're like, you didn't. And you didn't do this. And then the judge will be like, yeah, that's not how they do it or whatever. And there's been a couple times where they have given the thing away and then later been like, oh, you did do it that way. Right. And been like, you didn't fool us. And then they're just like, who cares? But it's interesting. Because watching a show from a magic perspective, there's times when you're like, this person doesn't deserve. Yeah. There was sometimes, there was this, um, I think, Japanese magician who was hilarious, like was genuinely did, it felt like they did, like Penn's response was like, you did uh, an entire three hour show in two minutes. Right. That he did, it looked like every trick in the book. He just was like eating stuff, shooting it out of his ass, just like 
and it, it, it's just it was this trick, 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 just like nonstop. And they were like, "But we know how you did all the tricks. We just can't believe you did them so fast." Yeah. Uh, and that guy would have been great doing their Vegas show. Right. But then there's just someone else who come out. There was like a woman who had a thing that was like a listening trick or something, and it was like she was like a like a math student or something yeah. who did a trick for a class. She's not like a performer or a magician, but she'd invented a trick, so they didn't know how she'd done it. And uh, and it was like, well, will this be great in their Vegas show, or right. is it just like one like one person who has like one right. Because the other guy would just be like, oh my god, this would be almost hard to follow. It's so entertaining, you know? Right. For example, there's this one guy that came on, and he's a guy that does a lot of sleight of hand and these tricks, and he came on and did this thing where uh, Penn picks a card and then puts it back in the deck, and then the guy asks, what was your card? And then Penn says it, and the guy drops it, and then ad- drops all the cards, and as they're f- he like does a like a ruffle drop where it's like like dropping mm-hmm. them and as they're dropping he like reaches with one hand and grabs it mm-hmm. and it was fine it was a little messy but if you do cardistry and things like that you know that it was really impressive because there wasn't a trick he actually just got good enough that he could drop a bunch of cards and know the exact time that he had to reach in and grab it to get a card mm-hmm. he didn't do it perfect he got like three cards instead of the one but it was still like Holy shit, he got that. But it was like, that's a cool, magic-y, impressive, stunty thing, but it didn't make for a good trick. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, so that's why I think it's an interesting show, because it is really, it's attacking magic from a lot of interesting angles. Yeah, there was a guy recently who did a thing where they were like, we don't think you did a trick. We think you're just so good. Yeah, that's this. Is that the guy? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you just know how to find any any card where any card is at any given moment. Yeah, that was this one, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But again, yeah, it's not like... Yeah. Um, and likewise, they recently did an episode, or it might not be recent, it might have been a rerun that I was watching, but like, this guy does this thing, there's this trick called Matrix, where it's basically like, sort of like three-card money, where it's like you have coins under cards, mm-hmm. you have something under cards, you know, and you're yeah. moving stuff, and it's like, cards are... Things are moving underneath other things. Yeah. And it's really just this sort of sleight of hand processy kind of thing. Um, but he just did it really well. Yeah. And by the end one. of it... What's that? I think I remember this one, yeah. And by the end of it, they go, listen, it's Matrix. It's a famous... We, know, we all know Matrix. It's one of the staples of sleight of hand. But you did it so well. But by the end of it, we're just watching you as an audience and not as magicians that we can't tell you how, we, how you did the last couple things because we weren't paying attention to it. We were just so engaged by what you're doing. Yeah. So you fooled us. Which is then basically just saying that <coughs> you did this so well, as yeah. good as you could possibly do this trick, that we don't want to... Like, we want to give you this accolade despite that. It's also fascinating to me that, like... Oh, did you see that one where it was the woman who was, like, pulling that string out of her chest? I couldn't watch most of it. No, I didn't see it. When it this is a woman who's had like multiple chips implanted in her that do various things. Oh, right. She did a thing where she was literally pulling a string out of her chest and there was like blood and there was right. like and 
when Penn was doing the breakdown afterwards, he's like, we know how you did it, but like you didn't fool us, but here's what we have to say. We, Teller and I, <coughs> we could not do, you know, like I've come from carny folk and everything, but we could not do the things that you do in your act because we just don't have the stomach for them. Right. And, and was saying specifically like Allison Hannigan, who was like grossed out by the whole thing. Right. Was like, Allison, believe me, you do not want to know what parts of this trick were real and what parts were not, because the parts that would real, if you think you're, grossed out now like if you if you found out what parts of this are not a trick it would blow your mind well so david blaine has been doing his new touring show i see i was wondering what's going on with him because i haven't heard anything about him for years it feels like so he's been doing this new touring show and part of it is that you know over the years the line that he danced between was magic trick versus doing actual stunts yeah and then recently he's been going down this path of magic tricks versus um, the like sort of like archaic term is like freak geek sideshow. Right, right, right. Physical stunts, things that mm-hmm. involve the body or yeah. be it holding your breath or there's these other things he does. And what's interesting about David Blaine is that some things you're like, is that a trick or is he actually doing that? And he's been doing a lot of stuff lately that is mixing just actual sort of geek freak sideshow physical things into his world and it's interesting because some of those things are not safe to do and have deleterious physical ramifications to them and so like there's a certain aspects of the routine that like you can't do that two days in a row it's not healthy for you so there's like certain tricks that he does especially as of late where like he can only do like one show a week because he needs three or four to days recuperate? to recover Jesus. from what he's doing because um, it's like stuff that's not good for your body yeah uh, and it's interesting because th- th- that is a part of that match, that performer stuff. It's like there's some people that just do this stuff that is just like, oh, you can only do that so many times before you are broken, hurting yourself. Yeah. Or before something serious will happen. And then it's like, well, how many times do you want to do it? And when do you want to do it? Yeah. I mean, I... The amount of work that goes into... I mean, it's interesting. You know, like... The amount of work that goes into being good at something and the amount that's just like, what is your natural affinity? You know, like, I mean, a lot of it is like what you're inclined to do. But like whenever I watch magicians, I'm just like, the amount of like just practicing, 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 like. Yeah, it's. It's so daunting to me. Well, that's why it's like magic is something that's really hard to pick up later in life because you need to have had at age 8 through 18 yeah. to just be doing this with nothing else. you got to love it, yeah. And 
It's also interesting just because, like... Like... Thinking about, like, doing comedy and comedy things and how... I really did work hard at trying to figure out how to do improv. And it's an interesting thing because it's also, like... It's a it's a standard, uh, I guess in the same way that like, uh, what did I see recently that had a joke about close up magic? Something I saw recently where it had some joke where it's like, some character was like, I'm blanking on it. Some TV show where the joke was like, I you. You've wasted so much time that I've been spending time learning close-up magic. It was something where, like, right. the punchline was like, "I've learned close-up magic," as if it was like, "What a loserish thing to do," right. sort of. And improv is another thing that's like that, where it's like uh, the like. A, there's a really funny joke in the in like John Mulaney's last special about like your improv team or something like that, or like. It, it is one of those things that, like, as a uh, as a go-to, if you want, if you're going to say something about improv or an improv team, it's going to be like, what a horrible thing it is. Yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> I mean, I guess every art form has that because you also have that about like jazz or any <laughs> like or like yeah. I don't want to. No one wants to hear like <clears throat> your indie band or you know just like. More things see your paintings, read your, your novel. Yeah. Like I yeah. guess it is like a a standard thing that anything that there are good things of, there's just more bad things of it. Um, and but, anything that you need to be bad at it before you can be good at it. <coughs> Although I do feel like of all of those things that <laughs> that well, I guess I noticed this when I was in London. The first time a couple of years ago, uh, the first time like as an improviser in London doing workshops, which was that I did a sh- like an indie show, and s- and the guy came up to me afterwards who had like dragged his girlfriend to see the show, and he said like, "Oh, your show was so good," and he was like, uh, "I brought my girlfriend. You know, she didn't want to come because I took her to another improv show once, and she said never wanted to see that again." And I was like, "Oh man, I guess it would be like." If there were jazz concerts that you could go to by people who are just learning, I mean there are there's recitals, yeah. but if if you if you were taking your if you were just playing the odds, you're like, hey, we're doing a jazz show, and you went in, it could be like, oh, none of these people know how to play an instrument, right? Then you'd be like, and that's jazz. You'd be like, oh, I never want to see another jazz concert again. You know, I'm trying to think of an analog to that that I've gone through in my life. Um, I guess like a lot of like student films are like that, that it's like, but if you could, if you went into a a multiplex and accidentally saw like a student film and it was presented as if it was just like, this is an, this is what films are. And you'd be like, Oh, I don't want to see movies anymore. You know, like, yeah, it's easy to imagine, uh, someone seeing like an improv show and not knowing what it is and being like, Oh, I never want to see that again. Whatever that was. I never want to see that again. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Maybe mine might be... Like, Indian food or something like that. Right? Something where I had, like, my first interaction with it was, like, someone that just... 
mm-hmm. wasn't good at it. Right. It wasn't good. It wasn't well made. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, no, I don't like that thing. And it's like, no, you just had a bad version of that thing. Yeah. And I mean, I know that <coughs> yeah I, I well I started doing this show with our but also imp- improv even the the best version of it can sometimes be a bad version of it yeah even the best people can sometimes even famously I've told this on the podcast before that the Jump on 3 show where where oh yeah Zach and Bobby and Gethard did a set and I thought you weren't blacking them out but it was that they had Gethard specifically said, I'll call the blackout. I was just telling that story because someone had a similar reaction to some other show, another improv show that was like a bunch of big names. And then it went too long for whatever reason and just got really bad. bad. And they were like, oh, it was cool to see that. Yeah. Even these people that were really funny can be not funny. One of the most defining moments of my, uh, uh, maybe one of the best learning moments of my entire Improv training was watching. Jump, jump on three, always there to teach some lessons. <laughs> watching three of the world's best improvisers fail for a straight five minutes, right. worse than any student. Uh, and it was just like, oh, anybody can. But um, what I was going to say is that the um, the I started doing this show, um, which you may be able to recommend some people at some point. Uh, and this is an example that I was thinking of before of talking about how you do a show to find time to like hang out with people yeah. that have busy schedules so you can like at least we commit because we have to do the show right. uh, Michael Cruz Kane and I have started doing a show called Try and it's he and I and a third person who doesn't do improv do an improv show that's fun and we've done it we've done it three times now and actually, two of the times Brandon Scott Jones has done it because Kane had to back out of one of them. And the first time we had this actor um, who's like got a supporting role on the show Mindhunter right. on Netflix. And he's done improv and acting classes. Right. But never like proper like improv comedy. It's just they've done it as like an acting exercise like you do. Right. And then the second time we had... Which is totally different. Totally different because you're just like... Trying to just behave or whatever. There's yeah, no it's, goal. It's like a coloring book. Yeah. It's sort of like, oh, co- color in these lines however you want. Yeah. And, I, don't, um, I don't mean that in a... Uh, it's an exercise. Condescending uh, way. Yeah. yeah, it's an exercise. It's an acting exercise. Right. As opposed to a performative right. like, thing. That also, the structure of it is just different than how... Imp- like, the tools you need to be good at that are different than the tools you need to be good at... What yes. We, that quote-unquote comedic improv. Yeah. It's almost like the difference between... Uh, having a song rhyme or not rhyme. You yeah. know, that's kind of like yeah, having right. the lyric be like... Yes. Um, the second show, we had a jazz singer who'd never done improv or acting before. And this most recent time, we had a writer from the Village Voice, rest in peace, the Village Voice, um, who'd never really performed and never done improv. Right. And... Oh, I have uh, some interesting people. And... I keep pushing back on like we've we've been like we literally booked this most recent guest at two two p.m. on the day of our seven p.m. show. Like we were we we have a list of twenty people who all want to do the show, but they're all busy doing things and haven't been able to right. Um, and but the way that we do this show is um, we will 
the uh, yes, that's actually one that I thought of, but they were you know yeah right yeah, and I would love to. Um, the way we do it, and this is this is the Kane's idea was one. How about we do a show? He was just like, let's do a an improv show. Is how about just us and like a guest who doesn't do improv? And I've been the one who's a real stickler on like when we've been trying to get guests, we'll, we'll find out like we've almost booked a couple of people and then we'll find out that they'd have been on an indie team or right. taken a UCB class. And I'm immediately like, nope. Yeah. Like if you've taken one UCB class, You're out. you know too much right. about how to do it. Uh, and, uh, but the thing I am proud of that I've sort of brought to it is I was like, let's not talk really about any of this until we get on stage. And so the format of it, it's almost like a talk show with improv. Right. Because basically we'll get on stage and I'll be like, so, like, you've never done improv, right? And then we'll, like, uh, talk about what they do for a living, talk about them for a while, ask them if they have any thoughts about, you know, just, like, chatting. And then also making it clear to them that at any moment we might start doing scenes. Right. And then at a certain point we'll just start doing scenes. And, like, this uh, person we had for this last show, she didn't realize until the show had already started that she was going to be in the scenes with us. She thought it was going to be more like an ASCAP monologue. Right. And so I'm like, oh, you... I said, that's such a rare experience. Like, during the show, we said, do you realize how rare it is that someone's in a show and they don't realize that they're going to be performing until the show is already underway? Like... Yeah. Like, the... How'd they like, do? Were they... Stra- were they, were they like, well, this what? Is, no? This is the reason I bring it up is because she said during and after the show, she said this both times, she said... She was more stressed out by the interview than she was by the improv right. scenes. And she said, I was more stressed out watching any improv show I've ever seen than doing the improv. She said, the improv, it felt like, oh, we're, it's, this is safe. Yeah. We're just being these characters. Right. And she was not worried at all. But she said, as a journalist, being interviewed by three people asking her questions, she's like, this is... I'm the one who's supposed to be asking questions. Right. So she was much more troubled by the reverse of the, of the dynamic right. of her being the story than she was by doing improv, which was, we thought, what we assumed would be the thing that would be right. nerve-wracking to her. Um, but it is like... Um, it is such a, an interesting thing to be on stage with... Uh, and also just doing that thing of, like, we'll do the scene... And there's no, like, sweep edits or... There's no, like, pretense to the... The way the scenes end is frequently just being like, okay, we're done. Like, that's the end of that. Yeah. Like, we'll just, like... There's no magical... Yeah. Um, and then we'll be like, so how did that feel? Was that scene okay? And we'll right. just, like... We'll sort of do the um, uh, uh, unpacking of it in right. front of everybody. And also we'll be very clear with the audience that we're like... Um, this may not be funny. I know you came here to see a comedy show, but we're not... Uh, you know, we're not, uh, we don't feel obligated that any of these scenes are funny. Like, we were like, you're getting to see something interesting. Right. So, you know, if you want just a funny improv show, there's right. plenty of opportunities, but this is like an experiment that we're trying. And, God, the, the second show we did, which was, it was me, Brandon Scott Jones, and this jazz singer, and we ended up doing a scene where, it ended up being uh, it was us interview in a job interview. It was me and this woman in a job interview with Brandon Scott Jones, and I 
I'm trying to think what it was exactly. That, I, I can't remember the exact context of what the meeting was, but I said something about how we were, oh, we were on the run. We were fugitives or something, I think, and we were looking for, uh, I can't remember what the circumstance was, but it was, I mentioned that, he asked where we were from and, I, and where, or where we'd done, I said we'd done something bad. And I mentioned that we were from Oklahoma. And BSJ immediately said, immediately made it that uh, he tied it into Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma City bombing. Jeez. And this woman, and I said, we did not, uh, we did not do that. We did not, uh, we did not, and as I said, we did not do that. Uh, she said, we planned it. And we said that at the same time. And then I immediately said, yes, 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 we planned it. We did not execute the plan. We we made the plans and we gave them to it. So right. the whole scene became a scene about us like stipulating that right. yes, we planned it all, but we did not do it. Right. We gave the plans to, you know, our friend Timothy, who he and it's very, you know, we would never and and it was one of these things where it was like what started as like a very potentially dicey scene just became like this and she like picked up on it instantly like even though it was a mistake of her kind of negating me at the moment that I was saying something right and then realizing like oh no this is like this golden like comedic line that we can sort of dance on uh but I'm trying to find I want people who are like singers are good I feel like uh I almost feel like it'd be good to like get my dentist or somebody you know just like people who are I think I could get some interesting people. Yeah. Because um, it is... Ex- Ooh. Okay, well, here's the thing that we haven't yeah. talked about also. Yes. Well, wait, I want to s- finish up yeah. what, how this all started. Yeah. Yes, I think there's some interesting people I could get you. What you're saying about... Um, so, the, us talking about improv came from us talking about... Magic and things that are kind of like a... Magic, and that thing can sort of be made fun of. The shorthand for it is a negative about it. Oh, uh, another sub-point before I get back to where I was going. Great. Originally. Plenty of time. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was recently talking to someone about improv, and they were like, oh, do you perform anymore? And I'm like, I really don't. It's been years since I performed regularly. Oh, who was I talking to? Someone that I completely didn't realize still had a show. Oh, I was kissing with Mayel. Mm-hmm. And she still does Kelly Cash. Yes. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah. Um, which was so funny to me because I didn't yeah. realize that team still even existed. Yes. Um, but then I was talking about improv and she's like, oh, you don't perform anymore. I was like, no, like, what's hard is because she was talking, we are talking about the Stream Jump on Three, which is the indie team that I was on with her and a bunch of people. Um, and her and a couple of people never made it onto house teams, even though they were really good and probably, I mean, not probably could have for sure played yes. in that space, but it's just, there's not enough spots and timing and this and that. Yeah. Um, and she's like, yeah, I always sort of look at it and I'm like, <coughs> like, I know that I don't need it and I've gotten what I wanted, but like, oh man, I wish, you know, there was a part of me that there would have been a time when it would have been perfect. Yeah. And like, uh, there's a little bit of regret that I didn't do it. And I, I was talking about like, she's like, do you ever feel that way? with improv at all and I'm like no because you know I got cut from Harold Knight and then I didn't opt to be like alright I'm going to recommit and practice yeah. again and I was just like alright well then I'm done yeah 
Um, and we did Terry Withers and things like that that were like these fun. Yeah. That's, it was getting what I needed out of it. And I do have a, a thing every now and then where it's like when I see you and some people that are on like weekend teams and things like that and just get to go and play. Yeah. That seems fun. That said, almost everyone I know that's on a weekend team, it's become sort of a chore. And like there are times that are fun, but then there's also times where they're like, I really wish I didn't have to do this every Saturday night or every whatever. Yeah. I know you're not like that as much as other people. Yeah. But there's some people that are like, eh, it's yeah. fine, but it's a lot. Um, but I'm also like, well, the thing I liked about improv also wasn't that I, I enjoyed doing improv and it's fun. But what I liked was being 22 and around other people who were passionate and investing every ounce of their energy into this thing that we we're trying to figure out, having these breakthroughs on stage and having this mental connection that could only come from performing with people and being around them yeah. seven days a week trying to do this thing. And it's like, it just that's not possible anymore. Yeah. Even if I like started doing UCB classes again, I just wouldn't be interested in the same way I was yeah. when I was 22 and it was everything and it was this new, you know, and even like, you know, like performing with Phil and Mayel and Matt and all these people coming up where it's like, oh, these were the, we all understood each other. It's like, yeah, I don't have that anymore. Yeah. And I'm not forlorn for improv as much as I'm forlorn for that period of time when it felt like for whatever reason, a lot of people, whether it's because they hit rock bottom in certain aspects of their life or yeah. were making a big career move or had just graduated college and were trying to explore this new thing, like we're like, great, I'm going to put all of my time and energy into this thing. And we did that and now we've all grown up or moved on or evolved yeah. in different ways. And so while that's still a consistent thing, we're just not those same people we were. Yeah. So that same joy, it's a different joy but what I want is that same thing, and that thing is more about time than it. It's more about a time in history than it is about the action of doing the thing. Yeah. Um, because like sitting here and talking with you for twelve hours is like sure there's not an audience applauding every time we say something funny, and that's that can be a nice feeling yeah. and that adrenaline rush you get from being out there and doing it. But it's like you know you and I connect in this way. Yeah. And it's like we go out on stage and probably do good improv because we have this thing, but it's like we don't need to do that necessarily. You know what I mean? That's not the way that we have to engage. Yeah. Um, so it's been interesting to think about improv and how it fits into my life because it's like there's a time when that was everything that I was about and I had so many thoughts and ideas on it and now it's something that I just don't do anymore. Yeah. And every now and then something will happen where I'll go and do it. And I'll feel, I'll be like, ooh, I have more of this in my bones than I thought I did. Yeah. This is just a part of who I am, but. And there are times, like, I've had. Yeah. I've had a couple of shows recently where uh, I haven't felt it. And it's, it's the kind of thing that I'm like, it passes. Right. But I have a couple of, couple of shows here and there where it's been, where different Sometimes it's a circumstance. Sometimes it's like an ASCAT where like too many people show up, and it's a, sometimes that's super fun. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, oh, it's kind of a bummer, you know? Right. Where where you've got people who were excited because they were asked a few hours earlier, and then like three TV people show up, and suddenly it's like uh, hard to get real estate within the show. Right. Um, or if you get real estate, to not feel the audience being like, 
Why yeah. is this person doing a scene and I don't get to see that person? Yeah. And so there's things where, where you just like have an off night or something, but like I definitely have the feeling of like if I had if I had a couple of months in a row where I wasn't feeling it, where I was like, it's not working for me, that it would very quickly become a thing that you I would fall away from. Yeah. And I've just been lucky in the sense that like the people that I play with or people that I get along with and people that I like uh, like I think there's teams that if I'd been on if, if, there, if I'd been put on a lot of other weekend teams I might have already gotten to the place where I was like yeah I don't need to yeah. do this on Saturday night or Friday night or whatever but I've been uh, fortunate that like uh, I mean most of the past year it's been me and me and Alex Dixon and Shannon O'Neill Right. And it's like, oh, I do improv with the two of them for a hundred years and not get tired of it, you know. Yeah. Uh but say that, you know, you you also never know when you're gonna suddenly get a feeling of like, you know, oh, it's time to not do it, or you know, or or this is like for me it's fortunate that it's like it scratches a lot of like I've noticed like there's certain things in me like like you and I both have uh, a collector's uh, some part. It it's, it's yeah. manifests itself in different ways for the two of us. But we each have a thing where it's like to collect a thing is, yeah. uh, you know, it's a it's a an impulse to be reckoned with. Yeah. And for me, I think they come from very different psychological places. Yes. Yes. For me, there's a tricky thing which is like different damages from our childhood. Well, I always liked having things when I was a kid. I liked toys. I liked having totems of the things that I... If I liked something, I liked having a thing of that thing. You know? Um, even that thing of, like, I remember there was a period where I would, like, audio tape TV shows, and I'd listen to the audio tape of those, even though, like, slightly pre-VCR or, like, before I had control of the VCR as a right. kid. But I could have, like, a little cassette player, and I could, like, tape the audio of cartoons, and then I could listen to it in my bedroom or something, you know? It's just, like... Having a piece of something that you like, now I have that show that was on earlier, I can listen to it, you know? Yeah. See, I have almost a flip, whereas I felt like I... I felt guilty for wanting or having things. Mm-hmm. So I'd never ask for something. If I got something, I'd feel bad that I had something. Right. And because of that in adulthood, now, every now and then... I mean, boy, oh boy, one of the things I'm working with is like, Desire and allowing myself to be happy and have things that I want and expressing that vulnerability in multitudes of ways that, like, for me is uncomfortable and makes me feel bad about myself. Mm-hmm. But then trying to teach myself, like, it's okay yeah. to have something for yourself. It's okay to get something. Yeah. Um, and so, like, having that collector's item, that collector's thing for me is something that is more recent, that is more like, Wanting wanting something is is enough of reason to get it for yourself. Yeah, and as long as that doesn't impulse doesn't go out of control, which that's not a problem for me because often more often than I, I'm like no I can't. Yeah. So it's it's funny because it's the flip because it's like as a kid I I would never have the thing the object the whatever, and so as, as an adult I'm more like I'm allowing myself to have copies of the movies that I love. I'm yeah. allowing myself to have stuff. Goofy stuff that has no value to anyone else except for me from the movie Labyrinth that I'm spending money on. Yeah. But I'm just getting it because I like it. 
I mean, for me, the tricky thing for me is trying to reconcile, like, I, you know, I have a finite amount of space. Yeah. And, like, I think since the last time you've seen my apartment, um, I bought some shelves for records. Right. Um, because the, the the records... Where would you put those shelves? You know when you come into my apartment and immediately at, at the right-hand side where the table was Christmas, where... Christmas, Christmas table. Yeah, basically I've put... Because that table, I don't know if you ever knew, folds down. Yeah, it has leaves, yeah. And uh, it, it's only about that big. Right. Tall. So it can slide over to the side. So now I have w- one long shelf that's like three by two that has for records. And then over here I have a two by two that's for uh, books and things. Right. And now I have the space on top of them for things. I frame stuff on the wall. And now that area is all kind of opened up, but it's also allowed me to store records, whereas before they were kind of like... Now kind you of, have like shelves on every wall. Yeah. And... Uh, but there's an aspect of it that is kind of like, you know, like realistically... Like, I've got a pretty sizable DVD collection. Right. And if t- if this afternoon the government came and said, you have to, we're seizing your entire DVD collection. It's now the, the property of the federal government. We're taking it all. I would feel terrible at the loss of this collection that I've worked so hard to build up. But the percentage of which it would affect my viewing... Uh, of media in the next 10 years might be single digits. You know, like, in terms of, like, how much do I really watch of the things that I have on discs? And I've got a lot of things on discs. And so much of the things that I own, so much of that stuff is stuff that, like, if, if someone came in and said, give us all of this, I'd be like, no, I don't want to. But then once it was taken, how much of it would I actively... Uh, pursue reacquiring. That's that's. There's very interesting. Uh, what? Just were were you a person that were in therapy? I feel like that feeling of like, no, I don't want to give this up. Right. But I don't. I don't need it. But I don't want to give it up. It's like there's something. There's something there. Inherent well, to, that's something that I, I I'll never understand or not. You know. Yeah. It's it's below the water. The iceberg below the waters, but. Well, some of it it's is... It's the same version of me that's like, oh, I can't have that. Some of it is Your like... version of I don't want to give it up is mine like, no, 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 I can't, I can't have that. Some of it I'm aware of is like a, an overt uh, denial of mortality because there's an aspect of, you know, buying more things to watch or read or listen to is inherently a gesture of like, I'm going to be around long enough to enjoy this thing. Right. So if... If I buy a record player, the at the at bare minimum, it is an admission of like I'm going to be around for another hour. Like right. at bare minimum, it's like I'm going to live long enough to listen to both sides of this record. Right. And knowing that you're not going to go home and play it immediately, you're going to put it on the shelf, and like it's implying like, well, I have weeks or months, or maybe even years to get around to this. Is there also, do you think, an aspect of it where beyond just that hour, having a physical thing? Mm-hmm. That is meant to be taken in and having it is almost 
even further denial of mortality of the yeah. sense of like well I can't die because these things are forever I can't die because I have I, yeah it's like would a dead person have this record collection <laughs> right um, I don't think so dead people don't listen to records and look at all these like the world is so deep and full of things that it's like it's the same lack of logic that when I'm on a plane and I see there's like a bunch of little kids on I'm like well this plane's not going to crash that would be horrible <laughs> you know what I mean like I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll take comfort in the crazy logic that it's like no one's gonna cra- allow a plane to crash with, much, with that family with little those kids are adorable there's right. just no way and whereas if I got onto a plane and everybody looked like uh, like a sad version of me I'd be like I'm getting off this plane <laughs> right now this looks like a plane that's supposed to crash this is, a, this is, a, this is one of those planes gonna end up in purgatory in a sitcom <laughs> um I'll say this also. I recently auditioned for a rapist on uh, SVU. Oh, no. Not the main rapist um, in the episode. It was... Uh, yeah, we well, don't want to get ahead of yourself career-wise. <clears throat> it was my first time auditioning for uh, Law & Order. And it was for... Spoilers for a future <laughs> unnamed episode of Law & Order. There's an episode where there's a, uh, an incel. I was auditioning for an incel who was a rapist. Um, and... He flips on the when he finds out that the other rapist uh, may have killed someone, and he's like, "No, no, I didn't kill anybody." And he so he he's like the one who gives up the other one. So he's a snitch. And what a dark, I'm, dark role. I'm walking over to Chelsea Pierce to audition for it, and you know, I'm going through my lines, memorizing my lines as I'm walking over there. It's hot out. I hate walking over to Chelsea Pierce in the summertime for auditions. And Ugh. I realized as I'm walking over there that there's a, there's a phenomenon that happens sometimes when you're going up for auditioning for certain things where you get into the room and you see like right. a, a talent pool of people of a similar type. It's like, oh, this is, what, this is who's going out for this part. They're, everyone's sending in the people who look a little like me. Or there's like a, so I'm like, oh man, am I about to walk into a room? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Am I about to walk into a room and see... What do I look like when I'm around like ten other uh, guys who look like me who also look like they could play this kind of part? Well, because it's when you go into auditions, it's basically like you know you are part of a scattergram of types of people. Yeah. And then they draw the Venn diagram circle to highlight certain aspects of you. Yeah. So it's like there's certain shows where you may be on this fringe side of being the lead. Or of the Venn diagram, or a yeah. show where it's a professor, and you're the you're the younger version of this professor that they're casting. So it's like, oh, seeing the Venn diagram dra- dra- drawn around people that they think could be incel yeah. sexual predators. Yes, and so I I actually was like, oh, I'm a little scared to walk into this room. I'm worried what it's going to look like. Is this going to feel bad to me? And one thing is, I'd never been to these casting offices before is that you go up into them and it's indoors, but they have all these framed posters on the wall. But they all look like um, sun damage. They look like they've been in the, the front window right. of a video store on a main street that gets direct sunlight right. for years. And I think they were mostly Disney films, but I don't think this was... Law & Order's not a Disney right. production, and the Disney offices are... When I've auditioned for stuff there, it's over in like the ABC building. Um, because they have a big picture of Mickey Mouse shaking hands with Oswald the Lucky Rabbit at ABC Disney. 
Um, really? Yeah, there was a good one. I went to audition for a thing there uh, this year, and when I went there, that was the thing that struck me. It was like there's a big picture on the wall of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit shaking hands with Mickey Mouse. Doesn't that feel like one of those like paintings of like colonial settlers talking yes. to Native Americans where you're like, Ugh. Yeah. Um, I also felt like I was looking at I'm like, I wonder how many people work here have no fucking idea what the significance of this is. Mickey Mouse talking to a Some rabbit. old gray rabbit. Um, I bet some people probably think that's just like, oh, is that another, is that old, is that Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse or something? Right. Um, so anyway, so I'm, I go into the office and I see all these faded posters indoors in a windowless hallway. So it's like, why would they even bother? They honestly look like posters. So I was like, why would you even bother to frame these posters? Right. These should go in the garbage. You could find these posters again. Right. In an unfaded condition. Like, spend a thousand bucks and you can decorate this hallway with good looking posters. Right. Um, I go into the room and there's no one else auditioning for the rapist but me at that point. And everyone else is auditioning for Chicago Fire. And they all look like they're auditioning for like a heroic firefighter who dies. Right. Because it was the opposite nightmare, which was that everyone there looked like a dreamboat hero. Uh, and I was like, oh, hey, guys. <laughs> I did not book the part. And uh, they're, they're all going like, no, we have to go in. It's our duty. No, I have to go in. It's, it's my our duty. duty. I'm going like, yeah. Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. um, I did not book that part. That also reminds me of two Good. other... Sounds like a really dark part. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's... Well, here's the thing. Uh, two, it's a living. I don't think I've... Have I told the story about when I auditioned for The Deuce? Maybe. I don't know if I've told it on this or not. But I had the experience of... Since this... Since, I think, uh, the last episode right. of seeing The Deuce. I don't remember whether I told the story of it. But uh, there were two, two TV shows in the past year that I um, auditioned for and then I, I saw, watched them and saw the things they auditioned for. One of them was the show 911 on Fox, which I happened to see because it was showing up after new episodes of the last season of The X-Files. Got it. And, <clears throat> and it was one of those parts, I did not like the character that when I... I didn't realize what it was when I was auditioning for it, but then when I started, it like seemed familiar as I was watching. I was like, "How do I know all the dialogue in this scene?" Oh, I'm that's like, so oh, funny! Oh, oh, that's the character I auditioned for, and it was like a comic relief character that was like this like horny guy, and I didn't like in the audition. I did not like it. I I, I didn't like the jokes. It felt like when you audition for some dramas and they have their comic yeah. relief character, and it's just like none of these jokes are good. Yeah. Um. And when I watched the series, and obviously it films in L.A., I'm like, oh, I would have had to move to L.A. And I was so happy watching it because I'm like, I don't want to move to L.A. I don't want to be on this kind of show. I was just like, right. I'd rather, there's shows that I'd rather, uh, no insult to that show. It's just like, I'd rather not be on a show than be on the kind of show that I'm not interested in. Like the whole point of me doing stuff is I want to do the kind of things that are interesting right. to me. Um, I liked The Deuce. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. No. Um... As an intro to this, uh, this is how I came to think of it recently. You know, recently there was a Sarah Huckabee Sanders um, was asked at the uh, at the you know White House press secretary podium was asked by a journalist if she could guarantee that we would never hear 
uh, uh, we would never hear video of or audio of Donald Trump saying the N word. Oh my God! And she could not guarantee. Uh, she could not guarantee that. Like it was a staggering, and I was watching this. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like to not be able to stand up at the podium and go, "Like absolutely not!" I guarantee you. Like I feel like any previous president, at least in recent, well, maybe not that recent vintage. Let's saying go back, going back maybe a decade or two. Uh, uh, I don't know. Let's all say right, back we're going to take this story back a little bit. Um, no, but like, I feel like you could most presidents, the press secretary would be like, "I guarantee you." There's no video. There's no audience. She's like, I'm not making any guarantees. Right. And even if was, it wasn't true, they'd at least be able to. Yes. She's like, s- oh, there's probably tons of video of it. You know, <laughs> like, like even if there were presidents who said it, like if Ronald, I don't know if Ronald Reagan ever said it, but he may have. We can assume been smart enough if he did say it to not say it with like cameras rolling or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? And they would feel comf- comfortable saying that. So I'm watching this. I'm seeing Sarah Huckabee Sanders not able to issue a guarantee that there's, you know, no video out there of Donald Trump saying this. And then I come to remember my audition for HBO's The Deuce. (sighs) Have I told you about this? No. The audition for The Deuce. And there is a thing when you're auditioning for things, which is like you lose part of yourself in the sense that you suddenly feel oh, no. like I have a I have a companion story to this to tell. Yeah. Like I've auditioned for commercials where they've asked me like to take off my shirt. And and it's for like, you know, like a pudgy guy for on the beach right. or something. And you feel like you can't say no. Like you really right. do feel like if you say no in that kind of situation, you will be seen as like oh, you're not professional or you you won't take direction or you know like you find yourself pressured in weird ways because of the the power dynamic even if you don't want the part you just feel like oh i'll look stupider if i say no i don't want to right and i auditioned for uh a couple of little parts that were i think they were like conflated into one like you were auditioning for both parts but you were like reading for one and the 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 sides that i had it was basically this this one scene that was one of the sides was a character who in the in the, uh, the entirety of the character was this uh, basically this character uh, calls a pimp the n word and is immediately stabbed to death and God so oh, no. the audition is literally just basically like saying, you on ta- tape saying the n word and then going oh like getting stabbed no! and I remember getting the sides and being like you can't like this is the only way you can like this is the only sides you can pick for this like Marvel movies will make fake sides so that you don't get the spoilers for what happens to Iron Man in the next Avengers movie you can't do a fake side for this clearly minor character that I'm also like well this character is not going to be coming back in flashbacks or something. We're never going to learn more. This isn't like Sipowitz in the opening of NYPD Blue where it's like, well, over the course of the first season, we're going to come to see the true humanity of this character. Uh, this is like, no, this is a one and done. This guy who screams the N-word and dies. This is, this is a one and done that it's like, well, it's not going on my reel if I book it. I'm not telling anyone. Yeah. Um, 
But somewhere there is video of me, along with, I assume, dozens of other actors auditioning for the twos, and the entirety of the audition is calling a pimp the N-word and then going, Oh! No! Connor! And, oh, no! Yeah, I mean... Uh, here's my companion story to that. Yeah. Have I told you the, the crashing story? Oh, this is where you said you weren't going to audition, right? Yeah. yeah. And then I showed up, and it was for the role of like an insult comic. Yeah. And I didn't remember any of the lines. Because basically, I had, a, I had a friend who worked on the show. Yeah. And then I got the, the ass to come audition. And I was like, yeah. I said no like three times. And they're like, we'd really like it. And I was like, oh, and then I reached out my friend. And he was like, oh, yeah, I put your name in. And I was like, oh, good. I'll, I'll just go do it. I don't want to be rude to my friend who's put me up for this show. Uh, but it was like, I was on a show and I show up. And so I, I, I don't know any of the lines. I don't audition much anyways. I'm not a great actor. I'm not a good actor, period. Um, and so I sort of bumble through the lines. And it's clearly not going with it. They're like, well, for the next part of it, we'd like you just to improvise some stand-up. And they're like, we need it to be really filthy. This whole character's thing is that he's filthy. He's edgy. He's disgusting how... And I was like, okay. Just so you know, that's like not anything like who I am. Like, yeah, we, we know. We just want you to go for it. And so then I just, like, started A to seeing some stuff that, like, <laughs> wasn't, I, it wasn't, it wasn't me shouting the N-word. It wasn't anything like that. Yeah. But it was still stuff that I just think was, like, things that in my head, I'm like, well, this is tasteless. So this is what, like, a hacky, tasteless stand-up would right. do. And so somewhere there's a tape of me just, like, awkwardly saying stuff that is, like, just tasteless, bad stand-up. And I think about that all the time where I'm but like it's there it's just in some file it's on some hard drive in some office right yeah with my name on it or whatever um the other part they auditioned for in the deuce I'm watching the episode and this character not a big role but um there's a scene he's in where he's sitting in a chair in the corner and I'm like oh man I would have had to do this wearing like wearing like a little thong like with a tropical pattern and I'm like oh god I didn't they didn't say anything when I auditioned for this it's like you're gonna have to walk you're gonna have to wear this thong with this tropical pattern in the crotch then the character gets up he's talking gets up and basically walks toward camera and I realize oh no the part that I thought was a thong across the legs those are just deep shadows and the tropical pattern in the crotch was just a a maze of pubic hair surrounding full frontal uh, genitalia. And he walks up close to the camera, almost like in, you know, there's a joke in like Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story where like someone walks yeah. in front of the camera and it's just like, the joke is just how much, how full, fully frontal the nudity yeah. is. It like takes up the whole frame. He basically like walks to camera and it's just like, we focus on this uh, John's uh, uh, genitals. Jeez. And I was like, I mean... I want to be on the deuce. I like the show, but not like this. You know, oh, like so there's got to be there's got to be another way to get on the deuce. Got to be another way to make like three grand for the week or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I wish. And uh, <laughs> the yeah. <clears throat> but it is funny to be at that point where you're like, like. I mean, I've always been like that. Like, that was part of the problem when I was an actor in London is that I want fewer jobs than I go out for. Like, in the sense that, like, most of the things that I audition for are things that I actively, like, 
do not want. Well, that's the thing that I'm experiencing now too. Is like I don't want to work on a show that I don't yeah. fully want to invest myself <coughs> in. I don't know. It's difficult. Yeah. Um, but and it sounds it sounds like. I mean, it is being picky. It's, you know, it's like, but it's really, um, the few times I've been involved in something that I didn't like the thing I was involved in, I'm like, I would rather work in something that wasn't this yes. than do this. That's that's how I felt. And that it really isn't, like, I'm not in it just to be in it. Like, I, I I've been lucky that the things that I've, Books have tend to be, tended to be shows I like or shows that I come to like once I realize, once I see them, you know? Yeah. I've been pretty lucky. And to me, the idea of being on a thing that I didn't like is worse than the idea of not working again. Yeah. Um, and the, 100%. I, the nightmare of getting trapped in something that, ding, ding, ding. Yep. that, Suddenly, it's like, oh, yeah, this is what you do now, and it's, you know. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And I think that's also part of why, going back to the sub-point of all this, I haven't done improv in a long time. Because I've been like, yeah, I just don't think that's something that I don't need to invest in that process the same way I did back in the day. Yeah. Taking it back one sub-point forward... Like with magic, that's why I understand how the tricks work and I help make some tricks and help, you know, tighten things up for friends here and there or pitch ideas to friends here and there when they're mm-hmm. magicians working on things. And a lot of them have been like, you should start performing yourself and da da da. And it's just like, yeah, I don't think I have, I don't think I'm at a place in my life where I have the mentality that it would take to actually get good at the actions of magic. Yeah. You have a look of disgust on your face as you look at your no. phone. Okay. Um, and because of that, I have an appreciation for magic only on a conceptual level, mm-hmm. which means that I find myself being more judgmental of it because I don't have... There's an element of empathy that I'm missing for it because I haven't been out there and I haven't been bad at it because I've just never put myself out there. So I find myself judging shows and things like that sooner than I should because I feel like I have some knowledge, which I have a little bit of knowledge, but I don't have the full experience of. Mm -hmm. So like when a show like In and of Itself, going back to Ramona's question at subreddit, comes out, I'm like, I don't know. I'm skeptical at first as opposed to just being like, having that feeling of being like, oh, I'm a part of this world. I'm just going to go check it out to see what's out there. Mm-hmm. I, I I pass judgment first, which is unfair, and then end up not seeing a lot of it. Yeah. Like, I don't go to that many magic shows because I'm like, well, I know the magic that's good, and I only like that magic. And it's yeah. like, no. But for me, as like someone who works in film and television, it's like, I love seeing all kinds of movies and watching all kinds of TV shows yeah. because I'm able to empathize with how hard it is to do it. So even if it's not perfect, I'm like, oh, but they're doing this. Yeah. And, and for something that's more of a hobby than it is something that I do, 
I don't have that empathy. And so then I find myself not going out of, on a limb as much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because, like, there was a point where I... Uh, where I was like absorbing um, so many improv shows because I was trying to like figure out how it was done and it was also a genuine like right. I enjoy watching this more than anything and what I find now is like I've reached the point where like the improv that I enjoy watching is the other improv happening in shows that I'm also in where I'm like right. that's where I watch improv now is like other people's scenes in ASCAT or something right. and that's enough and it's sort of like I see that, and then I see the groups I'm coaching or something, and it's enough. Like it's, and there was a point where I had like an insatiable appetite for like I would read everything about it, do everything about it, and it's just at a certain point like it, it shifts, you know. Like uh, certain things, like you, you reach a point, and that's that's how you you can't predict how, how like maybe like the things you like now will be the things that you're really into five years from now or 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 not, you know, because right. When you hit your limit with something, you just hit your limit, and you don't necessarily see it coming. Interesting new conversation. Yeah. About midway into this season, uh, yeah, into this season together, show I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin and Travis McElroy were in New York, mm-hmm. and. They uh, something that Justin has done I think like 10 times Travis done a handful of times they took me for my first ever time to see Sleep No More mm-hmm. have you ever seen Sleep No More? I haven't I always hear great things about it so here's my experience with Sleep No More Sleep No More if you, if you don't know what it is it's like an uh, immersive theater uh, show in New York that it's been around for like 7 or 8 years I want to say yeah and it's got this reputation for being this amazing show. When it first happened, I remember everyone talking about it nonstop of like how amazing it is and these experiences and how overwhelming and well-made and all this stuff. And I don't know if you have this, but like sometimes when people talk about something a lot or how good it is, I'm just like, I've created this really dumb sort of egotistical yeah. reaction formation to it where I'm like, I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to see this. I don't want to see this. It can't be that good. Yeah, if everyone else likes it, must like... Yeah, exactly. I don't even know where it comes from. But it is like... It's a natural thing. It's a natural skepticism. Really? You yeah. Know, especially if, if it's something you're not already excited about or something, and then you hear everybody likes it, you're kind of like... You feel like you're not in on it, and then because of that, it's like this like... Well, it can't be what everyone's making it out yeah. to be. Or people are like, you have to go. And it's like, well, don't make me feel like I have to go. I don't know. So I never went to it, and uh, for years, and I'm sure like you, I had this image of what it was in my head. Yeah. And it was not that at all in my head. So like, it takes place at this place called the McKittrick Hotel, which is just this building uh, in Chelsea that they've completely, it's right by UCB, Mm -hmm. that they've completely renovated to be this like hotel-themed space. Right. And it's six floors. Uh-huh. And each floor of this... I don't even know how to explain it. Um, I'll start here. So um, the whole idea with immersive theater is it's something that you can go into and uh, the line between the stage and the audience is yeah. pretty much non-existent. As in, 
you can, you're walking around a space. With most immersive theater, it's like you're walking around a space, interacting with the performers, interacting with the space. Um, you're interacting with other, other audience members. It's not like there's not seats and a stage. Yeah. Um, and I say that only because I think there's like not that much immersive theater. So if you're not in like New York or whatever, you might not have been exposed to too much of it. Um, but it's, uh, I think something that people might think of is like dinner theater kind of thing where it is like, um, Tina and Tony's wedding or something like that, where it's like, right. Oh, the performers are running around you. And it's like, no, it's not that as much as it's like, you're exploring this space that there happens to be performers performing in. Um, so that's, that's, that's where I talk about immersive theater I'm talking about. And so... As everyone described Sleep No More, they always described it as, um, oh, it's this hotel, and it's sort of based on Shakespeare, uh, and it's loosely based on Macbeth, and the whole audience has to wear masks, and people are running around, and it's like this crazy environment, and there's aspects of it that are like, like feel like a party, and some of it is like, can be really private and <laughs> solitary uh, and that was me vamping for five minutes for the punchline of the toilet flushing um, I just described immersive theater. I heard it I heard all of it I know but I couldn't have the conversation <laughs> so I was like what can I talk about that okay so here's my question I was saying yes throughout it I know it's another room but I knew you couldn't fully actually engage. Yeah. When you think of Satan Omar, what's the picture you have in your head? A bunch of people in masks. They run around a building. They bug the, they bug the audience. <laughs> yeah, but see, I just... Same thing. I thought about... Like a Where it's like, you did it. No. And then you run the stairs. And, like, ah! and then it's like, this room, she's dead. And then it's like, you did it. And you point to the audience. Yeah. <laughs> but see, I had a similar idea where it's like, oh, it's a bunch of people in like sport coats wearing masks yeah. in a cramped hallway. It's like a haunted house with yeah. scenes. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, is it so not that and so interesting. So I'm not going to give away any aspects of it. I'm, I'm going to say all this because like, uh, I, I genuinely was blown away by it. and. Yeah. Uh, I'll skip to the end of the story because <coughs> I think it will help contextualize mm-hmm. me describing it. Is that for the next two months, I believe, uh-huh. every night I would go to sleep and dream that I was at sleep no more. Ooh. Because it had that. I think there was a lot of aspects going on with my stress and anxiety. And right. what it represented was something that felt really nice to me. Mm-hmm. That's how much I felt. It was so. Anyways, you get there. You 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 walk in. It's like very dark. There's a little lobby area where you get your tickets. You mm-hmm. pay your coat. Everyone's really nice to you. Yeah. And then you go up sort of this winding hallway through these like dark spaces you can't really see through. Mm-hmm. You end up in this bar that is like sort of themed like 1920s, but it's like there's like you know like fog rolling through it and like beautiful velvet like walls and chairs and spotlights and usually a performer playing piano and you can get a table and drinks and things like that. 
and it's really interesting. And there's already like a couple characters that are in character there, just in this sort of 1920s sort of eerie mm-hmm. atmosphere. And then you're you're brought separate. Your group is sort of separated, and you can enter into the hotel sort of whenever you want, but you're supposed to do it at sort of separate times from each other. Mm-hmm. And then when you get there, it's six floors. And when I say six floors, it's like a full building where you could spend, you could probably spend the entire time on one floor and not see everything. Mm-hmm. And it's rooms and hallways and um, it's not themed like a hotel. It's like just these beautiful sets after sets. So it's like one area, it feels like you're on the main street of a town. Yeah. And there's stores. And now you're, if you go around this corner, you're in a church. And now you're, this floor is all a hospital. And then down here is all this. And da da da. Yeah. And the whole audience is wearing masks. And you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to have phones. You're not allowed to have any of that stuff. So on example, you're just sort of this like floating ghost walking around observing things. All the performers are not in masks. And there is so much space that my first experience was this. The elevator opens and a performer sort of went by. And so the whole audience that was in the elevator with me followed them in one direction. And I was like, nope, I'm not going where the audience is going. And I went like, suddenly I am alone in this totally, the lighting is beautiful. There's like, and I'm alone. And it's like sort of creepy because I'm just alone in this space and there's this music and I spent like five or ten minutes wandering around this space not seeing another human yeah and it's the most beautiful sort of set design and all these things you can just sort of wander and then as I was wandering suddenly all of a sudden I noticed a performer just by themselves doing like you know in character interact and I just walk walk there and watch them and um, (coughs) the whole thing sort of lasts three hours yeah and you just wander around and the performers also don't speak for the most part. It's a mostly dance and movement based thing. Uh-huh. And there's all these elements. Is there a that story overlap. you follow? Not really. There isn't really a story at all. It's like a theme park? Uh, it's sort of like it the the biggest best analog I have to it is it feels like dream logic. Gotcha. When you're in a dream and you're like this place makes me feel this way, and these performers are communicating these feelings, but there's not a specific narrative I could really describe to you, but when uh-huh. you're in it, it feels like you understand what's emotionally going on. Yeah. And it culminates to certain things, and certain things repeat, and then you can just go wander and look, you know, admire. you could take books off of shelves and look through the books. There's a candy store that is this old-timey, and you could go and just take candy if you want to take candy it's like yeah. all these interesting things and I was totally blown away by the whole thing um, do you imagine doing anything like that yes yeah 100% but it's this is again six floors massive and dozens of performers it's really impressive um, I recommend you check it out because I think it would be really interesting uh, and then I ended up taking uh, Nicole Chris Scott and Greg Doris uh, for my second time their first time a couple months later and it was really interesting did they like it? they did um, but it's interesting and uh, it was one of those things that again I had this thought in my head of like ugh I don't care about this I'm not going to like this everyone talks about this thing all the time 
And then when I went and did it, I was actually like, duh, you idiot. This it, People like it because it's good. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because, like, I do have an idea of it that is clearly, like, not what you're describing it to be, you know? Right. Um... I had one of my kid that I grew up with. Um, yeah. Um, I moved around a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then around kindergarten, first grade is when we settled in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And my mom would have me do these, like, whatever summer camps or local things. Yeah. I didn't like other kids, so it'd have to be things that were up my alley. Right. And there was one, you know, when I was a kid, it was when, like, computers were first starting to have sort of, like, creative elements to it. Um, like, the very earliest versions of kid picks and things like that came to exist. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a program called Tessellator, yeah. where you would just draw a shape, and then it would tessellate the shape yeah. to make a tessellation. And it was, like, I would spend hours. And there was this thing that was, like, computer camp as a kid, and it was, like, an hour a week over the summer on Mondays or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and there was this kid there that was one of the, one of the first kids that I feel like I met when I showed up and uh, he I'm going to describe it, it's going to sound weird, but he, he very much resembled in sort of his demeanor and the way, the things that he liked and talked about, what you might like ascribe to like a 1990s like school shooter kind of kid okay he wore like yeah. baggy pants and he had like sort of longish blonde hair yeah he was always talking about hacking things and how you could ha- hack your computer he was going to hack my computer and da 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 and he was yeah. like, sort of aggressive but then not aggressive in any way but like that was his way of having fun with being like dude I could hack your computer and you don't even know right, and I can get the government playful. files and then it was one of the first times where I was like this person who intimidated me and I was like oh He's not really being serious. He's just, this is how he's interacting. Right. And he became a good friend. Uh, and then, you know, we went to different schools. We sort of grew apart. And then our schools all dumped back in the other high school. And so mm-hmm. we sort of touched base. Yeah. But he actually was a really nice kid. And he was a really smart kid. Um, and he actually knew a ton about computers. And um, was one of those people early on that, like, right when the internet came out, was one of the people that, like, understood it first, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I never understood the, the that era where where well, I guess it's probably different when because you're talking about like the age at which they understood it first. Yeah. Where it's like when internet was all new and it was right. coming out, the people who understood it first. I remember being baffled, still baffled. Like how how did you figure this out? Where how did it? Well, see, I think because when it I feel like when it became very when it was people could have it more mm-hmm. often. That was yeah. still when I was a kid. Yeah. Because schools didn't have the internet. I remember when our when our school got the internet and when kids would have the internet at home and that was like, you'd know who had the internet and who didn't. Yeah. I remember when we got the internet. Right. Um, so I think there were, that was still, I was still around that era when it was like those very early days. Yeah. Um, probably after like... AOL? No, no, no. CompuServe? Right between CompuServe and AOL. Yeah. Um, 
because I feel like when everyone got the internet when I was a kid, it was AOL. Um, but this kid was like sort of one of those geniuses and was like, like the masquerade as a troublemaker, as like this like hacker or whatever, but wasn't yeah. really. He was just sort of a nice kid who liked computers and video games. And yeah. He was always really nice to me. And he actually never actually caused any trouble. Not even like, oh, he's at school troublemaker. It's like literally just never got in trouble. He's just like yeah. to talk the talk of it. He just had the demeanor of it. Yeah, and he was just sort of a funny kid, and that's how he made, made people laugh and whatever. And uh, a couple years ago, I was like, oh, I wonder what happened to him. Like, what startup company did he, you know, like what company did he form? Yeah. What? Because there's some people who are like, I know he ended up doing something. Right. I know he has some weird tech startup or whatever, or is like a millionaire now. And I looked him up, and I found his obituary. Ah. And he had had a, the reason he was really good at computers is because he had a, like a degenerative bone disease. And so. How does that have to do with anything? So he had, he was hospitalized mm -hmm. for a couple years. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of his make a wish or whatever, or something, he just got a computer and then because he couldn't go outside and play or do something. Mm hmm are you warm? Yep. Okay. Just wanted to be concise. Precise. Um, he just spent all of his time on computers. At least that's what my kid brain, mm -hmm. po you know, positive from the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's too much for you. <laughs> Connor just stuck the entire ice cube. You can get a paper towel. Mm -hmm. Glass. And now, some people would put water in there. Great idea. <laughs> that was, this was like Mark learning what ice water was. <laughs> to the right is cold. Just to paint the picture for everybody, as I was talking, Connor just sort of nonchalantly got up, walked to my freezer, took an ice cube out, and I thought like, oh, is Connor like feeling warm or feverish or whatever? Just sort of started licking it, and then, then well, now uh, the ice is melting in my water. And then wa wa water seems safe, uh, the, safe to go in. So Connor just popped. It's like one of the big, one of the big like cube ice cubes that you have in a popped it in his mouth, and it was too big for his mouth. And because of that, it couldn't just sit on his tongue. It was clearly touching the roof of his mouth, his teeth, and immediately the cold became overwhelming. And it was just uncomfortable. It wasn't over, overwhelming. And like you couldn't fully close your mouth. It was just mm. something you hadn't signed up for. <laughs> but nonchalantly, Connor walked over and took a glass and then spit the ice cube into the glass. Now it's melting. The ice cube's almost gone. I just want that ice cube back in my mouth. <laughs> I just like that it's like you invented ice water for yourself. Like some sort of alien that's never been to our planet before. Now I have what I wanted. <laughs> a slightly smaller ice cube? Uh-huh. Uh, how many people are you aware of that you went to school with who you know have passed away? Uh, a lot. A lot? Yeah. It's very disturbing. Um, but anyways, yeah. I think Eric got good at computers because he couldn't go outside and play and do things like that, so he learned how to computers work. Right. And then I guess 
he was in remission or whatever for a lot of growing up and then as an adult it came back and uh, sort of took his life mm. and then apparently uh, his father just passed away also this week oh. so my heart goes out to his mom who I can't imagine it's mm. just tough yeah it, uh, I've, I feel like I've had a disproportionate amount of friends and colleagues and people like that who have when I went to my 20th high school reunion a few years ago, which I don't think I'll ever go to another high school reunion. I didn't go to my 10. Well, the problem with I mean, it is I, this. That was my first, we didn't do a five or anything, so I just didn't go to it. For, to give people a point of reference, for fans of the show Ozark on Netflix, I grew up about 90 minutes from where that show takes place. Right. Um, which paints a false picture of... Because uh, I don't, I don't feel like I interacted much with the worlds of money laundering or organized crime. Right. Um, but <clears throat> the uh, Jefferson City, Missouri, which is a you know that's my hometown where I'm from, Jeff City, and where my parents live. Jeff City gets mentioned many times, particularly in season two of Ozark, and as Laura Linney's character gets involved in local state politics she's essentially doing a lot of work she's basically working in the same circles that my dad would have worked in when he was working for the Missouri Bankers Association so can I do something real yeah. quick? yeah I just want to stop and start a new file okay stop in the file Three, what two, will happen one, stop and we're back and we're back I hope you enjoyed that ad for Squarespace it just stresses me out when the file gets so long because uh-huh. if it gets corrupted then it's like Oh. Everything? Yeah. The whole shebang. shebang. Um, no, but it's weird to watch. Um, I think there was an example of something like this recently where it was like something in fiction that could only be referencing a thing that was personal. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think, I'm trying to remember what it, what it is. It's a very vague description. But like, there was something that we were referencing, we were talking about we were like, where we were like, that thing that's being talked about in that movie or TV show could only be a reference to, you know what I mean? Like you and I were talking about it. I think so. At some point in the last couple of years, there was. Uh, I'm, some, not, I'm not understanding the. Uh, like imagine if Gestalt. Of if this. you were watching a show, and they made reference to like um, uh an avant-garde indie team that performs uh, near St. Mark's Place on Friday nights once a month or something. Right. And you'd be like, oh, like, that could only have been, you know, or if there was some reference to something that was like, uh, it could only be like Euromart around the corner from your, and it's, but it's not that they're specifically referencing, it's just that like, by process of elimination, it could only be that like, yeah. Like, on Ozark, uh, like when they're ta- they're talking about Jeff City a bunch of times, and they'll talk about Mizzou, going to Mizzou, which is in Columbia, Missouri, where I went for two years. Right. And when Laura Linney's working with like state legislature, le- state legislature, uh, that's like oh, that's the same hallways that my dad would have been walking down when he was working with lobbying and, and things like that. And you're realizing like oh wow, this this TV show takes place within that world that's very specifically. Uh, something that, like, I know where that would be. I know who that would be. I feel like there was some movie or TV show that had something like that 
where it was like not intended as a reference, but it's like, oh, it actually is referencing a thing that, um, what could that be? That you and I shared? It was something that you'd made an observation about that it was something like, oh, like if, I don't know what it was now. This is such a blank thing, but it's like if we were watching the Avengers and they made some reference and you're like, oh, if they got that printed in, you know, the near Chicago, it would have been at this place. I mean, you know, oh, right, 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 right. But it was something even more personal like, than that where it's like the person that, that, like if your dad was like the one accountant in a town and somebody said like, let's go to Jeff City and get our taxes and you'd be like, oh, that would be the only... I'm trying to think of what you and I, I saw know. or talked about any time of late. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's it's teasingly close in my mind. So Ozark had... Ozark has a lot of references to um, uh, Jeff City and Mizzou and uh, state government that are like, oh, hey. Um, what was I going to say about Jefferson City, though? Oh, about my high school reunion, that the problem with Jefferson City is I like going back to visit, but... Almost everyone that I knew growing up has, it, like, it is a place that people move away from. Yeah. And that's not to say that it's horrible. It's just not, part of the problem with it, I think, is the culture of the city is somewhat, like, um, it's kind of a cheap place. Like, it's kind of a, a place for cheapskates in, in some senses. Right. It's like, you go there because you can, like, buy a big house for comparatively little money. Right. And part of the way that you keep your money is like, well, when there's a school board levy, like, vote it down. So right. So you don't have to pay more. It's so like, improvements don't happen because everyone's cheap. And it's sort of things where it's like, the, some of the culture doesn't occur because the kind of people who would create that culture don't want to live there. Right. And... If they do, people who do try, sometimes the culture doesn't get supported by enough people because it's sort of like the, um, like when my dad was telling people they were who were asking like what I was up to, and my dad would say like, oh, he's doing a little thing on Orange is the New Black, and they'd say, what's that? And that's hard to fathom in our uh, right. situation because you think, well, you can't, even if you don't watch it, you can't avoid knowing about it. Right. But you can some places, and in some places, like you wouldn't even notice anything about Netflix because the culture of that town would be that it'd be more likely that someone would be like, "Hell no, I'm not gonna pay an extra ten dollars a month to get right. more shows. I already pay for cable or satellite. Like they, I don't watch they, half of those shows. Yeah, so they like, already got a bunch of channels, and um, but as a result, when it came time for my high school reunion, like uh. Jeff and I co- uh, made an effort to both be visiting around the same time. So we went to it and we're hanging out at it together. But there were very few people that we actually knew who were there. Right. Because a lot of the, you know, it's sort of one of those things about Missouri that, like, the whenever Missouri makes headlines, it's usually for something horrible. And if it's something positive about Missouri that makes national headlines, it's usually somebody left Missouri and did something. So it's like, right. John Hamm's from Missouri, but it's like, he doesn't go there now. You know, like, maybe he visits, but he's not right. a Missouri. You know, it's like, it's citing people who it's like, they left and went and did something somewhere else. 
anyway, the the sub point of that was the um, that at my high school reunion, they had a slideshow that was just running through the whole thing, and it had like a page that was like obituaries. It was just right. a list of names of people who died, Ugh. but it was like it was like the trivia slides at a movie theater before you uh, right. see the movie, and it would keep cycling through, and it was always jarring because you'd just be watching it would be like fun things and all of a sudden just be this white text on on black background just list of names of like the dead right and it always was the equivalent of someone just like coming up to you and going like boo it was just like always right. kind of like a shock to see it yeah yeah that's the thing that I think about a lot too is um having a lot of people my age who have died or younger mm-hmm. and that's it they don't get to do more things yeah and it's silly and cliche but it's like it makes you realize like oh yeah every extra minute you get is sort of a cool gift doesn't mean that you have to skydive every day and change the world and whatever because everyone's still got their difficulties. Yeah. But it is a reminder too that sometimes the things that seem overwhelming or seem like hurdles you could never get over you have to remember that it's like yeah, you only get a fun out amount of time so you do the best you can and then when it's over, it's over. Yeah. You know? Which I think for me helps me cope with the fact that you can't be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to look back at things and be like, oh, why did I do that? Ugh, why did I make this choice versus that choice? You go, oh, well, at least I'm still here and I get to make new choices. And maybe learn from those things in the past or do better or make a riskier choice or make a safer choice or make a what, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, I get to, I get to roll again. Which some a lot of people don't have that option. Yeah, I. Uh, it's an interesting thing, also, that like. Um, so earlier this year, I saw an Elvis Costello concert, and it was. Uh, it was actually it was the last concert he's done of this year. Uh, because the in Amsterdam and it was basically like it looked like maybe he was going to cancel the concert because he canceled the concert the night after and I think maybe like a couple nights before they were like, dates around this yeah. were getting canceled and nobody knew why and it ended up being this announcement about how uh, he had caught uh, the doctor he had a procedure because they caught like a some kind of a tumor some sort of cancer right. and uh and then he'd gone back out touring and had uh, had underestimated how much recovery time he would yeah. need. And so the story got picked up as, like, Elvis Costello is dying. Like, that's sort of been right. the, the the headline has been, like, he has cancer. So everyone's immediately sort of, like, right. hoping he doesn't die, hoping it's not the worst-case scenario. It sounds like every indication, including his initial announcement, was just, I need I need to recover from this surgery where they like caught everything and it's looking great right but i i need to be resting rather than touring right now 
And so, saw this last uh, last concert that he does. I mean, he's going to be touring again, I think, in a month or in a week or whatever. And, uh, but there is an aspect, and I'm, you know, this sounds like, uh, not to be cynical about it, but I, I always remember in 97 or 96, uh, there, there was a point where, like, Bob Dylan had a heart episode. He had a, he had a scare. Right. And... <coughs> He made a new album. It wasn't out yet. And he had kind of been going for a number of years not releasing any albums with any original songs. He'd done a couple of really good covers albums of like old folk tunes. And he had done an MTV Unplugged where he had, uh, which was, he'd made some good stuff, but it had been like, you know, the better part of like six or seven years, I think, since there'd been a proper album of new songs by him. So a lot of people were kind of like, maybe he's just done writing songs. And then all of a sudden there was a, this health scare and everybody kind of, I think everybody sort of braced at that moment that it's like, Oh, Bob Dylan is going to die. Like it sort of hit everybody that it's like, he didn't die. And we're relieved about that. We're relieved that he didn't die, but he could have. And what I've sort of noticed ever since then is like he, he was he was making some especially bad albums in the eighties. There were some really bad records he'd made. But after the health scare, there was sort of a little bit more of a um a tone when people talked about a new Dylan record. Right. That was kind of a little bit more like grateful that we even had it. Like everything right. is gravy after this. Everything right. is just like bonus water points. in the bottom one. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, and so the from that point on, it kind of felt like uh, people judged Bob Dylan not by like, you know, are you as good as you were at your peak in the 1960s and 70s, and it was more like, well, rather than expecting you to like continue to keep changing the world with every record, right. You know, instead of expecting you as an older touring artist to, like, keep hitting the same, like, world-changing uh, uh, beats that, like, like the tendency to, like, be, be disappointed with, like, oh, he's old now, or now he does this, or now he's just doing this kind of somewhere. Instead, there was sort of this new, like, newly appreciative, like, we're lucky to still have Bob Dylan. We're lucky right. he's still doing interesting things. And even to the point of, like, the last few Bob Dylan albums have all been... The last three releases that Bob Dylan has put out have been covers of, like, Sinatra-era standards. And he did one like that, and people were like, oh, interesting, he likes these songs. Then he did a second album like that, and people were like, oh, oh interesting, he's got another album of these standards. And then the third album was a triple album called Triplicate of Sinatra-era standards. <laughs> And it's, there's an aspect of, like, there's some people who, like, he's doing this on some level because he loves these songs, and on another level, I think, genuinely because he's like, I bet this will infuriate people. Like, what's the most, like, it's the same thing as him going electric in the 60s, but this is, like, the old man version of this. Uh, but even with that, there's still, like, the general vibe is, like, especially with, like, you know, like Bowie and Prince and with, like, the... The, the people I think are more 
seem to be more cognizant than before, or at least it feels like there's more of a general awareness of like everybody's got a limit. Like yeah. you know, it's not like we didn't know that before, but people seem to feel it a little bit more when they are reminded of it in some way. Yeah, and I think there's certain people where it's like once you get over the uh, hump of what your 20s, people are like, oh, they're around, and it's like, yes. no, yeah. I'm kind of hoping that this new Costello album will get a different kind of hearing, a different kind of uh, attention, right? Because of the fact that like there's been this small reminder of like you can't just like because I feel like he's done a lot of good albums that people have been just like yes, yes, another good album from Elvis Costello. What's next? Right. And whereas like if a new artist had put out half of the things that he's put out in the last few decades as their, like, debut, people are like, oh, someone to watch, you know? Yeah. I'm really hoping that this new one, when it comes out, that there will be a renewed appetite for, like, uh, well, let's pay attention as if this is, like... Right. Uh, as if we can't just count on that right. this is always going to be available to us. Yeah. I mean, I feel like... I do feel like there was that miracle with... As sad as it was, the way Bowie went, that he had this awareness that he, like done this thing and that people were liking it like his last yeah he always found that way to make his things represent where he was Mm -hmm. temporarily you know what I mean so it's like because he knew at the end I think that album is a is a it's like a goodbye yeah it's an interesting goodbye I'm just looking at the tweet that you posted Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very I couldn't tell what it is at first yeah the photo it's an interesting image what's it reflecting me I think yeah I guess so it's my face is that I think so it's just flesh color right and there's a yellow line and a blue line maybe it's your shirt and yellow the, line yeah. it's really interesting yeah um, I was trying to see if people had like questions, questions? Anything, but people are not even sure what this is. Are they saying that we don't know what it is? Uh, is it happening? I don't know what this is, but I'm excited to find out. It's a Yom Kippur miracle. And Anna Maria says, according to Facebook, you guys released two episodes exactly three years ago today. Did we do two at once? I remember there was the day we released two episodes on the same day. Did we? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I always thought we wanted to do that, but I never thought we actually did it. We didn't record them. I think we had them banged. Did we do that? Uh, let's look. I've got it. I always thought that was on our list of things that we wanted to do. I think we released two either on the same day or back to back. Let's see. Yeah, on September 17th, 2015, we released episode eight and nine. We did. But they were recorded two so months we, apart. Wait, so we released 24, 26 hours worth of audio in the same day? Yes. I have no memory of doing that. But it was two... It was basically... What it was was... That was back when we were doing every other month. Yeah. And I hadn't released the previous months. And we already recorded this one. Okay. And so we were just like, let's release them both on the same day. I mean, I love that we did it. But I still... If you'd asked me, I would have said for certain, like, oh, we... That's something we are, wanted we to do. We are going to do it and we haven't done it. Episode 6 is our longest episode. 
How long? 13 hours and 16 minutes. I mean, there's no way we beat that this week. We started too late, you know? No. I got here too late. And we're just... And we're both songs. Like, I've been almost falling asleep. Yeah. Because I'm so tired. Um, Last episode was almost 13 hours. um, We have a a question uh, from Phipps. On what medium? On Twitter. Oh, did you post something? Seven seconds ago. Oh, got it. I posted any questions. Got it. What are your hopes, dreams, or goals for the coming year? Also, favorite dessert? Um, I'm going to ask answer the last part first with a two-pronged answer. Favorite dessert, I would say... Um, my mom makes a bread pudding that I, if I had to, I haven't had it in a few years but it probably is my favorite dessert if I had to pick one I also very much like chocolate eclairs in England and Ireland I had one recently in New York City that was not good and I don't know why I keep trying hoping that a chocolate eclair will be good in America but they aren't yeah. they are very good in Ireland they are very good in England like a bad eclair in England is still good Right. whereas a good eclair in America is still terrible to me Right. Um, hopes, dreams, or goals for the coming year? Um, I think I want to get that 33 and a third book. I want to at least get the proposal done and get it turned in to try and get that. Is it Man. for... It's... You don't have to talk about it. Yeah, I won't... It's for... Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yes. And... Uh, what other goals? I mean, if you'd asked me a year ago, my goal would have been to try to get a TV show, and I came very close. Yeah. But now I don't know if that is a goal. I don't know if it's worth it, and I don't know if there's a market for it, and I don't know what the point of it is. Yeah. Um, the Another goal that I worked very hard at and failed at, and then it kind of fell apart, even in terms of, even if I had achieved it, um, is... Like last year, I made a big deal of trying to get a part in the new season of Arrested Development. Right. And then Arrested Development kind of self-destructed on the on the uh, back of the Jeffrey Tambor and then the New York Times uh, interview that went so right. terribly. And then Netflix releasing only part of the new season so that it honestly, like I honestly can't even tell you, there's some really good jokes in it. But I have no sense of what... Like, I had a real strong sense of what season four was supposed to be. Right. And I have no real sense of what season five even is because they're doing this crazy thing now, dropping half the season and then not even let it get, giving you any idea of when the other half of the season is. So I just... I don't even know what they're doing, really. Like, yeah. I, I feel like to have an opinion on it that makes any sense, I need to see the other half of the season... Because it's just sort of left... It's almost like a, a partial sentence fragment or something. Yeah. But it also feels like that that New York Times interview with the cast made made the show a like suddenly a disliked thing in combination with releasing a half of a thing. Right. So that even the people who wanted to be like, well, maybe let the show speak for itself suddenly found themselves looking at me like, well, I don't know what I'm looking at here. Like, it literally is like looking at half of a painting or half of a photograph and not being able to tell 
whether it, like, yeah. Well, I was going to say, so these things aren't your hopes and dreams. These are not my hopes and dreams. What are your hopes and dreams? Well, I, I, the book proposal, I guess, is one thing. Right. Um, I guess, you know, I'm, my hope is that, like, I, I feel like I'm at a point right now of any point in the last few years where I have less going on in terms of my own ideas for what I want to do than I've had before. Right. And I'm more in a mindset of like, well, I hope something comes along. You know, like, it's sort of like... I hope that something better better comes comes along. Um, It's the first time in a while where I feel like I have fewer projects in the hopper, kind of fewer things of my own... Doc hopper. uh, ...devising. And... And I'm not sure if it's just like a dry period for me creatively, but I feel like I don't have any like show ideas in my head. I don't have any like the couple of things that I've sort of been trying to develop. I feel like are kind of stagnated. Right. I guess I kind of part of, but I'm not worried about it. It just sort of feels like, well, right now is just not a time when my brain is thinking of things. Yeah. I'd still like something to pop up that, um, could become a my own thing because I think that talk show that I was going to do, um, I do feel like there's a kind of hybrid of uh, talk show, comedy show, and that feels more like a documentary than a TV talk show feels like. Right. Um, I feel like there's something there, but I also feel like, yeah, that can happen two years from now. Like, I feel like... Right. It doesn't have to happen right away, and I'm not super uh, uh, intense about it right now. Yeah. I wish I had a clearer one for this, but I feel like right now I'm not... I don't have a lot of clarity on that question. Yeah. Hopes and dreams. If I think of it but within the next six hours or whatnot, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up. Maybe something will pop up. Yeah. Maybe that's my goal is to think of one of those by the end of the episode. Yeah, that's not a bad one. What about you? I like pecan pie. Yeah. Um, I used to not like pecan pie. And it's one of the few things where normally when when I say I don't like something and people go, well, have you tried it? And I'll be like, no, but I know I don't like parsnips. You know, whatever. <laughs> like, there's certain things that's like, well, I know what they smell like. I know what the texture looks like. I don't need to do, you know, it's sort of like you can do the math on, on a lot of things like that. Right. Or I don't like enough of the ingredients in it. I always looked at pecan pie and I thought it looked weird and I didn't understand it. And the first pecan pie that I had was that pecan pie that HBO's The Leftovers yeah, sent right. to my house. And I was just like, because it was there, because it was like, wow. And I heated it up and then I was like, oh, uh, this is great. I didn't, I had no idea it would taste like this. Uh, you know, like when like people feed, like they're like, two-year-old mm-hmm. and are like here comes the plane yeah the version of that for you is like connor uh-huh. look what the cast of the deuce sent you <laughs> <laughs> look what the promo department the from leftovers, your favorite leftovers. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um um i'd be terrified by what the cast of the deuce would. if i got a package from the deuce i'd be like what is this? More <laughs> N-words for me to say? I don't want to say it again. You don't cast me. I'm not taking my clothes off for you. 
Sneaky Pete, Sneaky Pete sent you some mayonnaise. Yeah, I'd be much more excited if Sneaky Pete sent me something than the Deuce. Even though I like the Deuce, and also uh, theme song for season two of the Deuce, Elvis Costello. Hey, uh, here's a side note just on liking and not liking things. Yeah. Um, so my oldest sister uh, is a like microbiologist. She's a college professor, <coughs> and she's like very good at what she does yeah and her field is gut microbiology which is like a very has become a very spotlighted field of um biology and microbiology because we're learning that there's a lot of correlation between your gut microbiome and so many things that we thought were just Uh, not correlated to other things. So like mental health, uh, energy, physical health, things like that might actually have more to do with your gut microbes than we previously thought. So that's why you have all these people now that are like, oh, you got to drink kombucha and get all these things that are, you know, have microbes in them and you know, a lot of it sort of seems like people understanding that there may be levers to pull, but us not knowing what actually things, what does what, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, uh, we, my whole family went on a vacation recently, and I sat as, with my sister one night, and I was like, all right. They say that a lot of this stuff, and there's actually some really interesting things that I won't get into because it's my sister's research, and mm-hmm. she could say it better when she has all the data right. in a uh, scholarly journal. Um, but some really interesting things about how big the ramifications of my gut microbes might be. And I was like, all right, I've heard so much about how it might have to do with mental health and depression. And since that's something that I've been dealing with so much, I was like, what should I be doing? Like, do I need to be drinking kombucha or doing things? You look real concerned now. No, I'm just processing. Oh, uh, and she was like, uh, She's like, honestly, I believe that maybe more important than putting different microbes in you because we're not sure how much the microbes actually, how much you can change what is sort of born in on you and genetically that you're predisposed to. Yeah. Like, I think what's more important is uh, giving food to your microbiome so that it is producing everything it needs because there's apparently this, these... I don't even the short chain. There's like these uh, things that your microbes produce that help your brain that have effects and fiber is what feeds them. So she's like, I think having a high fiber diet is actually more important than anything. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really, you know, we're not sure what microbes exactly do what and if you right. can really do anything. So she's like, I was like, okay, so what are fiber foods that, and she started, and she's like, she's like, you know, yogurt's a really good one. And yeah, yogurt. she was like, she was like, you know, the one, um, sort of microbe strain that people link to mental health stuff is lactobacillus. And she's like, again, there's no definite research that says this is for sure, you know, a relationship. It might just be a correlation that we don't know exactly how it works. Mm -hmm. She's like, but if you're placing your bet, you could try things that have lactobacillus in it. And she's like, so here's the types of things. And it was like yogurt and all these things that I'm like, oh, those are all the things that I hate. Right. So I recently was like, you know what? When was the last time that I had yogurt? Yeah. 
when I was like a kid. And back then I didn't like it because the consistency. You right. know what I mean? So I was like, you know what? And also, I'm not going to get Dan. I'm going to get fucking Shobani. The stuff that people like. People swear by it. Right. I know people, I feel like you, that are just like, we'll take down some yogurt. Yeah. I mean, like, I haven't had a Danon in years, but I bet you it's great. I'm not a big Chobani fan. Noosa is like a dessert, but it's okay. great. I like Faya. Okay. Um, so anyways, yeah. I got some yogurts. What'd you get? What kind? I got Chobani. Mm-hmm. I got the coffee flavored. Mm-hmm. I got a berry flavored, and then I got the plain. Gotcha. And I hated it. Again. <laughs> yeah. Just like the taste was like sour and tart in a way that... I think Chobani's bad news. I, if I were you... I would try a Noosa if you see one. Do those have the... I don't know. Okay. They're like an Australian yogurt culture. Okay. They're high in calories. Um, All for it. But uh, if you get like raspberry or lemon or coconut is a good one. Right. And I would normally coconut and yogurt. I'm like, no way, but this is nice. It's got big pieces of coconut. Like, not, not like chunks, but like the... Right. Like the kind you put on like a dessert cake. Right, it's got texture. Yeah, it's got a nice texture to it. Um, yeah, it, it's... And Faya um, Greek yogurt with the sidecar that has the fruit stuff, I think that's really good. But it's not... Each yogurt is a different thing. Got it. Like, if you gave me a Chobani, I would not be thrilled. Okay. I could eat it, and I would probably like it better than you. But I'm never excited about a Chobani. A lot right. of people love it. I don't like it. It's like me trying to get you to eat boiled spinach. Yeah. And Where it's like, it, I wouldn't even really like that, but I could do it. But right. I'm not going to give that to you as my your first right. entree into vegetables. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you want, that could be an adventure we have if we want to take a walk at some point. We'll go to the corner store. I'll buy a couple of... I'll do most of the yogurt eating. You'll only have to do like a sample taste. Okay. We could do that. Might be a fun adventure. I got a, a ton of questions here, so you, let's get to your goals. Like, um, the, the number of questions we have, we may not have time. Got it. Which is a great thing for this podcast. My list is still long. Uh, um, hopes and dreams. Here's a legitimate one. And goals. I'll, I'll start with you the same way. If you talk to me, I bet if you listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Also, it's funny now. I look back on all the years... Uh, I don't. I don't regret them. I still stand by them. I like to think that in in a, in a way, some of my prodding was helpful. But like the version of me that was like Connor, you just got to go for it and like pursue the career in entertainment and really commit to it and da da da. And I feel like now I'm the guy that's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I don't know if I want this. I don't know if this is what it needs to be. I don't think I would. I don't think I would as adamantly recommend to anybody to uh, do that mm-hmm. as I did back then. So I'd say some of my like not hopes and dreams are like, I'm not looking for a big hit show or um, some big thing. You know, I think that's also a byproduct of sort of my anxiety and things like that, of that feeling of wanting to be small and wanting to disappear sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my actual hopes and dreams are number one to feel happy and 
like myself again. But what yeah. I mean like that is like, just not feel like I have this anxiety, depression thing hanging over my head, affecting me on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. which I think I've taken a lot of steps and I'm feeling the progress in that. And now that I think there's a chemical aspect to it too, that I'm going to be addressing, I'm yeah. excited to be like, oh, that might be a really nice feeling because there's so many people that I've talked to in trying to decide if I was going to, you know, what I was going to do. Doctors, friends, even re-online. People are like, man, after this stuff started working, I felt like myself again. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that's a hope and dream for this year is like. It's a good one. Being able to put aside a lot of the stuff that I think has really hurt me over the past couple of years, hurt me for sure over the past couple of months. Um, and by doing that, I think taken away what I can offer to others as like an empathetic, positive human being. Mm -hmm. And then also, uh, I think I want to find one of my hopes and dreams for the year is like to find joy again in making things. Yeah. In, well, I think you're making progress in doing these things. Yeah, that's what it's been yeah. about is making doing these small projects that remind me that it feels good to make stuff again. I always... Um, I know it sounds dramatic, but that, that truthfully, I think, if I ended the year being feeling like, oh, I'm, I feel good about making stuff again and I feel happy as a person. And not happy like, yeah. oh, I'm so sad. Something makes me happy. Like, I just don't feel like something's wrong with me. Most of the time, one thing that I think I've that been, I feel wrong. I've you know? been, you what? Not that I feel like I'm wrong. Right, but you want to feel more right. Yeah, I want to feel like I'm at this baseline that I know keeps me in balanced and yeah. making positive choices. One of the things that like, like even though like show business stuff is fun, like it's fun. I'm I'm, I think it's fun that I've been lucky enough to get book a couple of these little parts on shows that people watch so they like yeah. see me pop up here and there it's one of those things that kind of like it feels like it gives you a little bit of like it validates it's the way a lot of comedy people want to be on snl because it's the one thing they can tell people yeah anywhere like yeah i'm on snl it's like oh you're successful at comedy or whatever yeah. regardless of like being on snl can be kind of like a curse for some people it can be kind of like a a weird mind fuck that like you're yeah, on it for a year uh, and then you're I've like heard it can be a very tough experience it doesn't sound fun to me yeah um i love watching it i don't i've never had an interest in being on that show because it doesn't i think at the point where i was obsessed with snl i like bought i like bought before the live from new york oral history book was out there was another earlier book called saturday night i think that was about like saturday night live from the beginning up to like the late 80s right. early 90s or whatever I remember reading that book during the period when I started getting into SNL when it was like showing when they were showing the reruns on Nick at Night and I started staying up to watch like the Phil Hartman yeah. uh, years of SNL. And I read that book. And I think the book just very clearly painted to me a picture of like, ugh, sounds like it would be not fun. Yeah. You know, like every every story about the making of that show felt to me kind of like, oh, why would I want to work there? I'd rather just watch it and not have to put up with any of that. It's almost like I'd rather read about the civil war and watch a documentary about it than fight in it. You know, like, yeah, it just felt like it's, Oh, this is a very interesting thing that I would have no interest in being a part of, you know? Um, but I think that like, I've one thing that most of the time I've been pretty good about is that like, 
I am able to get as much pleasure out of doing stuff that nobody sees or only a few people see or, you know, like that it's, I'm already have, I think a healthy awareness of that. Like, even though it was like, like it was cool to do the Guthrie show on true TV where it felt like, Oh, there are people, more people watching this than watch it on fusion or M and N. Yeah. But it really didn't matter in the sense to me that like, whenever I was making short films for the M and N version, the act of making them and then knowing that they were good. Like I remember Adam Conover once said to me that he he was talking about how all of the different bits that I do, that I would do so many things that involved that were so like work intensive and then were like seen by a dozen people. Or right. I do these bits that were like like doing the election day special where I'm doing a simulcast that no one's watching. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, if you can't take pleasure in the making of the thing, then it kind of, to me, doesn't matter if a billion people see it and like it, you know, there's sort of like, you have to be able to enjoy the making of it or else the other thing is just like, well, you know, like, I don't know that like, uh, me doing something that makes you laugh is as satisfying to me as if I do something and it makes a thousand people laugh. Yeah. It's kind of like, and to be able to process that, you know, you can do stuff and it can be big or small, but everything eventually becomes small. The biggest thing in the world eventually becomes kind of small, no matter how big it is. Like gone with the wind is huge. It's the, one of the biggest yeah. Uh, most successful things of all time. Sitting here in 2018, even though it's an epic film, it feels kind of small. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like now in this moment, it feels like, I don't know how many people watch that movie today for pleasure. Right. Like I have never seen it. I have it. I'm, I plan to watch it on demand at some point, but it's a big time investment. I just feel like I need to see it at some point. Right. Just because it's like, I want to know what the thing is, you know? But... The biggest thing in the world at this point is already kind of small, and that's a thing that like was a, a earth-shatteringly like it's still I think the number one movie if you adjust for inflation. Right. That it's like everybody went to see that movie or whatever. Because Cle- Cleopatra almost tanked them. Yeah. And then they needed something that was low budget but huge impact, and that was it. But it's. But everything becomes somewhat small, or at least like like Gondolin might still be like. It's like a, a, a like that ice cube. Look at that ice cube melted down. Like you get to a point where like it's still big, but it's not what it was. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's funny because I think that's also one of the reasons why I left social media too is because putting stuff out there, like you said, like making you laugh to me is counts just as much as yeah, getting a couple hundred thousand people to watch a TV show. Yeah, and seeing people like something and. Similarly, seeing all the people that like something stopped having an effect, but then seeing the couple people who don't like something started just feeling bad. Right. And not getting to revel in the joy of the process or whatever for every any project. And, you know, and it has happened with every show that I've done is, you know, 
no, you're not going to ever make something that everybody universally loves. You're going to make something that people, you know, hopefully some people like and there's some people that don't like it just because people have different tastes. Yeah. Um, but it's tough. Uh, and that's why I do, it's like, I want to have that feeling again, which I think why improv is, wasn't <coughs> enticing for that period of time because it is this thing where it's like, oh, you can enjoy the process of making it. It happens and it, it's yeah. over and you can move on and have felt the entire artistic process in a singular moment. Yeah. Um, um, the, uh, Hannah Blechman yep. says, y'all got any, y'all, all right, sorry, Hannah, I got to read it how you typed it. Y'all got at favorite stories from history. I think she meant any. She typed at. Any favorite stories from history. We, y'all got any favorite stories from history. I hope that's what you meant, Hannah. And I, I have caught typos in my mega thread that, and it bothers me so much because they just, li- they just live there and you can't fix them. Uh, in that book that I showed you, there's some typos in there and there's nothing that hurts more than seeing them physicalized. Oh boy. It's bad. Um, favorite stories from history. Do you have any? You know, I took Latin for eight years. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff of the history of ancient Rome, but stuff that any kid who took Latin probably mm-hmm. knows. I'm trying to think of any in particular are interesting to me. Oh, okay. This is something I haven't talked about yet, though. Okay. There's a world premiere exclusive right here on the podcast. 12-hour day. I've talked about it with you briefly, maybe. Actually, probably not, since I've done it. So I'm about six weeks into it now. Oh, boy. Um, every Saturday, I have been volunteering down at the South Street Seaport. Gotcha. Helping to do like minor restoration and upkeep of the tall ships. Oh, so you're doing ship work? Yeah, which are the like... Um, are those ones that people go on, I've been on as like, I've walked on those for like little tours and stuff. Yep, the historic tall ships. Yeah. And so I've been down there and been sort of joining and becoming a part of the community of that like maritime ship community. And it's been a real great positive thing in my Mm -hmm. life. Because I'll ride my, uh, Saturday morning, you have what's called muster, which is like a mandatory um, meeting of everyone on the ships. Mm -hmm. And you meet and talk about tasks for the day. That happens at 9 a.m. So I'll ride my bike. I'll leave at like 7.45. I'll ride my bike down to South Street. Mm-hmm. Go to muster and then work on a ship all day. We all go get lunch together. Work until like 5. And then everyone goes to the bar and sort of hangs out and talks afterwards. Yeah. And then I ride my bike home. And it's like a long day of mostly manual labor. Painting, sanding, oiling. You know, helping move stuff. Things like that. All on a boat. Um, with people that are all age ranges, be that, you know, I'm on the younger end and there's people that are in their 70s and 80s and 60s and 50s and some people that are just retired and trying to keep busy. Some people, the employees are people that work in the maritime world and it's been really interesting. And so part of that is um, one of the guys who I've been working on, the Ambrose, which mm-hmm. is the light ship, um, which... Ambrose sat at the, there's the Ambrose Channel Mm -hmm. down 
past Staten Island and down that the, the mouth sort of leads ships out of Manhattan and these lightships used to be parked there and they were just floating lighthouses um, and people would go out there in a couple week shifts and just live on these boats and then get ferried back and forth mm-hmm. and the boat I'm working on Ambrose I'm always, always self-conscious about this because ever in the maritime world um, anthropomorphizes ships and she's it's a, just she's a lady ship yeah and so it just it's it just they all say it naturally but for me I'm always self-conscious when I do it because I feel like I'm like she's such a good ship well I feel like I'm one of those people that's like taking on the lingo of something before I'm yeah. really a part of it so I'm trying not to I don't I don't want to do that but that is how I learned it but the Ambrose uh, she was one of the the backup ships out there she doesn't sail anymore Waver Tree what's her problem engine is totally dismantled she got a bad engine yeah Waver Tree doesn't sail either Waver Tree's the big one that you've probably taken a tour on yeah, she's not that big don't say that about her <laughs> She's huge. Oh, God. She's she would be furious if she heard you talking this way. Pioneer sails still. Um, and that's the boat that you can go out on sails on. Uh-huh. And then there's W.O. Decker, which is a little tugboat. And then there's a barge that's sort of um, this, like, operating barge. Mm-hmm. But the guy who oversees uh, Ambrose, it's funny younger than me but as like my boss in this instance because I'm just like a volunteer yeah and Ugh, it's awful when you have a younger guy as your boss no but it's it's a fun thing to be at this place where uh, I am the, at the lowest of the low of the totem pole I'm not only just a volunteer I'm the newest volunteer do you ever have to swab the deck uh I mean tech technically yes in the sense that it's like well clean up the deck and things like that swap the deck sure do you recall the poop deck there is a poop deck yeah you swab that <laughs> no I have not why not I've mostly I I spent several weeks um cleaning and painting the upper engine room of Ambrose swab it what's that no swab it I haven't been swabbing it and then I have <laughs> I don't even know what swabbing is actually it's just mopping. That's what I assume. Yeah. Any, and then cl- any been, form of cleaning is swabbing. I've been painting. So every morning, do you hop into the shower and swab yourself? Yeah. Um, and I've been sanding the windless room in Ambrose. The windless room? Yeah. The windless is a an anchor system that keeps anchors from being like ripped out of boats. If you don't do that, the anchors get ripped out of the boat? Well, it's like it has like like suspension and this and all these things and it's this thing that helps pull the anchor up but not break the boat and all sorts of stuff I think Windless is the company that manufactured it oh okay that's not a feature of it no the lack of wind helps no, the... no. it's W-I-N-D-L-A-S-S Windlass yeah it's a small boy it... but it's been fun it's also going somewhere and just I don't bring my headphones right Actually, I have this past week because I was sanding and it was just loud. Um, but I'm just sitting there, uh-huh. like quietly painting a boat for eight hours. The first week, I definitely had, I had to take a, a walk off the boat once or twice because that's easy. I was, it was rocking a lot. Ooh, and don't come I'm like, rocking! And I'm like below deck. 
you can't really see. Uh-huh. And then I had the, my first experience of getting used to it. And then when I would go on land, I would be like, how come the land's not like you, you feel the opposite? Yeah. It's been fun. And then just meeting those people who are all like the kindest, most welcoming people. Sea folk. And sort of like the comedy scene where it's like come from all backgrounds. It's very similar to like the UCB world where it's like, yeah. oh, a lot of these people have like other careers, other things. And this is just like how they spend all of their time and what they love doing outside of it. Mm-hmm. And then there's some people who it's like, oh, this is their profession. This is what they do. Um, so it's been interesting. So that being said, I've been hearing a lot about uh, the late industrial era of New York from yeah. um, the guy who is the ship manager for Ambrose mm-hmm. and hearing all the stories of that. And one of, one of my favorite things from history, it's not even a favorite thing, it's just like I'm always talking about it, is uh, how Edison was like, didn't invent much of his own accord and people like wrongly ascribe a lot of invention stuff to him when actually he was like sort of a savage businessman and he was the guy who put George Melius out of business by like distributing his films for free. He was like sort of a movie pirate before that existed. Oh wow. Yeah. He was like Napster. Yeah. And killed that elephant. So we've reached the part of the podcast where Connor's getting a little sleepy (laughs) because of that. He enters his his punchy nap phase. What? He didn't kill an elephant? He did. Yeah. Topsy the elephant. Yeah. That's an asshole, right? Yeah. Um, I hope there's no Twitter for Thomas Edison's family. Uh, no, not, this, this is this he part. Did this not, is this version of He did not kill that elephant. This is the version ver- of Connor that shouldn't be on a podcast. <laughs> My favorite stories from history... One, I'm going to misremember it, but I had a good that's, history. I think that's why I've been not, I've been like, it's like, I feel like I'm going to mess up whatever. I don't care if I mess it up. That's part of the oral tradition is messing <laughs> up history. Um, I had a history teacher in high school. And basically, I don't know if it's still the same, but in Jefferson City Public Schools, when I was in high school, uh, and this was before middle school, so we had junior high and then freshman, sophomore, junior, senior was the high school. And basically, the history department was 50% sold down the river as, a, as a, a way of hiring coaches. Got it. That basically, they would hire coaches, and then the history department was basically like, look, we're, we're going to give half of the history classes to these meathead coaches. Yeah. So, like, I had, I had like a... I had a coach. Basically, every other year of history in my high school was like one year you'd get a good. It's almost like freshman year you'd get a good history teacher, sophomore year you'd get a bad one, junior right. year you get a good one, senior year you get a bad one. And one of the years I had a bad one was we had I had this coach who would come into class and he'd be like working on his lesson plans in the first five minutes of class. He'd be like, uh, check all your uh, uh, quizzes against each other. I just got to work on something. And he'd be doing the lesson plans like he wouldn't have prepared for the class. That's also a good way to be like, yeah, we all got hundreds on the quizzes. Yeah. And the he uh, uh, two good examples of him as, a, as just an example of like a bad history teacher. Uh, one was that he uh, 
when it came time for the French Revolution, he showed us the movie of A Tale of Two Cities. But he only rented he only rented he only planned it for one class period, even though it's a two hour right. movie. So it wasn't that his plan was to show us half of it. It was that his plan was to show us the movie and it only when it got to be like ten minutes till class was over, he started to realize we're not going to make it. Like he, he, How long were your classes? One hour. See, I don't know if our classes were one hour. Really? I think oh. our classes were like 40 minutes. No, ours were definitely closer to an hour. They might have been 55 minutes, but they were. Anyway, like, he he started to realize, like, it didn't dawn on him until it was like, we're not going to catch up. We're not going to make good time with this movie. You know, like, it was sort right. of like, we're not going to finish it. The... Hours almost up. So he just fast-forwarded to the ending where they started guillotining people and just showed us the scene. He was like, look at that. You just see this like, little matte pink. Yeah. Chopped his head right off. <laughs> he like, rewound it some more. Like, Jesus Christ, this is our teacher? And he came in one day, and his favorite comeback joke would be, like, um, like ask, a que- ask a question about something to do with the class, like what we're going to do or something. Um, so I know... In- uh, other classes, they have to do a final assignment. Uh, are we going to have to have a paper that we write at the end? Should we be preparing for that? I'll finalize your assignment. You don't shut up? He'll just okay. take two words from whatever you said, and he'll... Uh, like... So in our, in our book, there's a chapter that is about the Industrial Revolution, but it doesn't seem to be on the rubric. Are we going to... Is that, Are we doing that? Are we going to do that, or are we skipping that? I'll I'll skip your rubric. You don't shut up. He would just take words and like that was one of his <laughs> comebacks. And he came in one day and he gave us a lecture on the Holy Roman Empire. And he wrote it that way on the board. Right. And then uh, he, and I had to correct him. I, like, I was a common thing in the class where he'd do something and I'd like raise my hand. He'd be like, what, Ratliff? He'd be like, uh, I think it's the, Roly, it's the Holy Roman Empire. He goes, he looked at the book, and he looked up on the board, and he goes... Wait, oh. he wrote Roly Homan? He wrote Roly Homan Empire. Got it. And he goes, and then he started giving the lecture on it. I said, I think he's mean the Holy Roman Empire. And he goes, oh, Ratliff, I think you may be right. And then he, like, corrected it. And he was just like, so it was just like, the whole year would be things where it'd be like... The Roly Homan the really home and empire. And it wasn't a slip of the tongue and it wasn't like he he said it wrong and he wrote it wrong and then we realized like oh it's not and it was it was just one of those things where like like I remember one I, I had him in one period and Falzone had him in another period the same so we right. would always compare and most classes they were, would line up so that you were doing the same right. things every day we were always comparing how like he drifted off so that we were never doing the same thing on the same day right. he was so like off the uh, uh, schedule. And I remember like him saying at one point something about how his area of expertise was the Middle Ages. Uh, was it, No, it was the Dark Ages. That's his expertise area. And Jeff was like, isn't that the area where the, we don't really know a lot about what happened? He's like, shut up, Falzone. <laughs> just like, he was always like, it was just like, you, oh, we're not going to learn anything this right. year. It's not going to, Another year... Uh, I think it might have been freshman year, or no, maybe it was senior year. Um, so these are your favorite moments from history. Well, no, I'm getting class. one. I'm getting one because I had no favorite moments 
uh, I didn't learn anything for that year about history. But I had a really good teacher named Jane Walker, who um, Jeff and I were both in her class, and she was great. She was like a young teacher. Right. So she was probably only like maybe 10 years older, 10, 10 right. 15 years older than us. And she, I remember at one point during the year, uh, Jeff made a bet with her that if he could get her name on C-SPAN, she would give him an A for the class for the year. Oh, and no. she like didn't understand what he was, so she was like, sure. Like she was like, didn't believe he could do it. And within a week, Jeff had like called into like book notes or something and asked a question. It was like, my friend Jane Walker said that, and then he brought in the tape and she was like mortified. She's like, Jeff, I cannot give you an A. And he was like, that's the bet. You made the bet. And so she was funny. like, you could tell she was like genuinely stressed that like this student was going to be like, so both you and uh, Jeff made it onto a C-span. C-SPAN? Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, but she told this story that I remember thinking like, it was so great the way she told it. I couldn't believe how interesting it was. And I can't ever find clean details of it anywhere when I look it up. I can find... Right. It's always like a ha- I was trying to look it up before and it's always a hassle because you got to... The details that she hit in her telling of it were, and I'm going to mess some of them up, but when I was looking at the details of it, they're like buried in like 20 paragraphs of like, right. um, I would have to work hard to get it the way she told right. it. But it was basically about the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand that triggered World War One. Do you know this story? I know roughly the story of Archduke Ferdinand. Uh, like, do you know about all the different ways that it went wrong? Uh, I couldn't list them, but I know it did. Yeah, that like, basically like they went the wrong direction so that like, they had all these checkpoints that basically were suddenly like, well, wait. So it's like, he's just going past checkpoints where they've got like a bomb ready or something. Right. And it's like, he's driven past before they realize. And it's like, uh, so all these, they have all these redundancies built into the plan that don't work out. Uh, and I know there's one guy who uh, took a cyanide pill and then jumped off the bridge. Only realized that the, the river was at like low uh, the right. water level was really low and, but the mud was really thick and deep and the cyanide pill didn't kill him it just made him sick so he just like was stuck in the mud banks and just started throwing up all over himself uh, and then they arrested him it was just like just a guy stuck in the river um, and then I remember the, the, the kicker there were all these things that were just like oh this would make a great movie of just like right all these things going wrong. Almost like that Death of Stalin movie that uh, Inucci came out with. It's like, here's all the crazy things that happened when Stalin died. Right. That are all just like, it's a bunch of assholes try- vying for power in Russia and all the different stupid ways that they're shitty to each other. Right. Um, the uh, and, Which, by the way, I don't know if you saw The Death of Stalin. I didn't. It's not as funny as I thought it would be, but it is actually like, as a like history movie... The thing it, I really liked about it is that, like, right now we feel like, oh, we're living in a period in history where, like, this crazy asshole is president and everything feels weird. But part of the reason why it feels so extraordinarily weird is because so much of history gets, like, retold as these kind of, like, tall tales of, like, stoic heroism. Right. Where, like, they're either, like, a very grim tragedy or they're very, like, noble victory. Right. And, and, the Death of Stalin movie is like, they should show this in schools because I think it would be helpful for a teenager to, it's a, it'd be a helpful thing 
for teenagers to learn that a lot of history is like a bunch of assholes squabbling for right. power. That it's like, there's not anything noble or glorious about it. It's like, right. yeah, there's just this horrible, vile stuff going on. And everybody here is kind of like bluffing and lying and cheating. And, you know, it's like right. a lot of scoundrels that I feel like don't get, uh, doesn't get treated the right way. So anyway, the last guy, there was like a guy of these assassins who got arrested. And basically it was just like, I'll tell you anything, just don't give me the death penalty. And they were like, okay. And so he told them everything, not realizing that there was no death penalty. Like he was, right. he basically just offered up a deal that they were like, fine. Yeah. We don't need to tell him that he's not going to get the death penalty. We don't do that. Right. And I was just like, oh man, this whole story is like this great farce that also then ends up being like, I can't remember, there was some really fascinating detail about the guy who actually did it and it just being a thing of like walking into the wrong place at the wrong time it's like oh I'll kill you now you know it's just one of right. those like um, that's one story um, from history that I like and another story from history I like is the story of Richard Jewell which is recent history but I feel like should be taught in schools like, there should be more songs about Richard Jewell. I feel like there should be a statue in Atlanta if there isn't already. Uh, the guy who saved the uh, 96 Olympics from terrorism and then was turned on by the FBI because they didn't have any leads on the case. So they were like, maybe the guy who found the backpack and stopped the bombing, maybe he planted it so he could be a hero. And they ruined his life and he died and he was a hero. And they were like, no, you just, maybe you just did it to uh, make yourself a big shot hero. Maybe you planted it and then found it. I always think like, wow, man, like, that guy just got screwed over. All he ever did was save the Olympics. Right. And as a thank you, uh, he was accused. And then the retractions were nowhere near as big as the accusals. You know, right. like the, the accusals were in, you know, 100 point type and the retractions were, well, yeah, uh, we're stopping the investigation. Well, that's what I think is so interesting is that there are so many times when the cultural reaction to something... Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to describe this. The cultural reaction to something is not tied with the historical remembrance of it, right? Yeah. So it's like, even if it was right or correct, it went too far, and then it's like, what the heck? Ha-? Like, So it's like... All, there's all these great uh, like physicists and philosophers where it's like, oh, the postscript at the end of their biography is like, oh, and this is the person who actually helped uh, create this theorem for this and this and da da da. And unfortunately, he was uh, accused of being gay and was um, all of his bones were broken and he was murdered. Or it's right. like, oh, well, so and so, I'm trying, I'm, I'm died penniless. Yeah, yeah died penniless, or was you know exiled to a, an island to die alone or was chemically castrated or was drowned alive because he, uh, the, his belief that the earth was round didn't match up with the Franciscan, you know, whatever. it's like stuff yeah. like that where it's like you look back on it and you're like, oh, yeah, but he's still a hero and they were wrong. But you're like, oh, if you're living that and it's like <coughs> you have this thing and then the culture was like, oh, no, we're going to uh, destroy you. Yeah. 
it's like that must have been a nightmare in the instance. Yeah. As it uh, occurred, it must have, like, for that person, felt like, oh, my entire, I, I, this was, I should have never, I should have never spoken up or done anything. Yeah. Because now I'm being drowned or exiled or whatever. Um, I think I've probably talked about this on the podcast before, but I keep coming back to it. That thing about that Disney uh, Saving Mr. Banks movie. The one yes. about the woman who wrote Mary Poppins. I've talked about that, right, on this? Yeah. Yeah. I recently read another... An, there's another article about that recently. I don't know why I was reading it. Yeah. Just like Disney... I mean, the short version being like, Disney buys the rights to her story. She's like, don't turn it into a cartoon. Yeah. She goes in and tape records all the writers' meetings because uh, she wants to make sure they don't screw her over. Right. And in the writers' meetings, she's very picky, like... The description of the house it doesn't sound like the house I grew up in. They're like, yeah, but it's just a movie. Like, no, but it should sound like the house I grew up in. And they're like trying to explain to her how our movie works. Right. It's like we're not going to get every detail exactly right. It's a movie. And then the one guarantee they have is that there won't be any cartoons in it. It won't be animated. Right. And, they, and it won't be a musical, I think, is another one of the things. In the, right. They screw on all these points. It's everything that she didn't want it to be. The movie comes out. She's in tears at the premiere because she hates it so much. She regrets having sold it. Right. She then uh, dies, and then year, decades later, Disney makes a movie in which... Uh, they buy her life rights. They buy her life rights. They show her crying at the end because she loves the movie so much. And then in the final credits, they play the actual audio of her tapes, of her being picky in the uh, right. writers' meetings, using them to verify how true this movie is. See? The tapes are just like the scene you saw earlier of her being picky in the story meeting. So it's like, whoa, they got her coming and going. They yeah. made the Mary Poppins they wanted, and then years later they told the story of how she loved it. Yeah. And then they used her verification method to prove that she was also difficult. But it is like, I'm impressed with the level of completeness right. with which they, the entire, because it's not all one person or group people doing it. You're talking about decades later, just the machinery of the Disney organization is still just like, Spinning the wheels to be like, and we got her. Right. It's like someone being like, well, so we're going we're gonna to take half the cake, you're going to take half the cake. And like, it's like, all right, we take this half, and you're going to take that half, but before you take that half, we're going to take this other half too. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, oh, you've, you've taken everything from this person. Yes. Also, uh, you're welcome. Oh, my God. Uh, what artist or band do you wish had been featured at the Roadhouse in Twin Peaks The Return? I have not seen Twin Peaks The Return. Yeah. I tried to make it through original Twin Peaks, and I enjoyed all of it. Yeah. But it was just... It it's would, a big commitment. Exactly. In, in, as a new thing in 2018, we're, you're a long way... I, I would even say, as someone who loved Twin Peaks The Return, I've watched it more than once... There's a lot of Twin Peaks Return that is brilliant. There's a lot that is a hard slog. I think it's a triumph on many levels, but there, that doesn't mean that it's all good or all easy to watch. So I, I didn't watch the original Twin Peaks, so yeah. I, I maybe spent a month watching it like every day, and still you can only get through yeah. a quarter of it, a third of it at that pace. I think I mean, you were pretty far into it, because there's like 20-some episodes in the, in the second season, and there's like, seven or eight episodes in the first season 
Yes. So you were close, but you still had a little ways to go. I think I got like midway through the second. Because keep yeah. in mind, I'm watching it every day when I'm eating, so I'm not watching right. a whole episode. It'll gotcha. take me two days or so to get through an episode. Um, and I really enjoyed it, but it just, at a certain point, I moved on to something else. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. What's the context of that? Uh, it's just uh, Jeremy Chow asking the question. But what I... Oh, in Twin Peaks Return. Oh, Twin Peaks Return. Would they have like modern artists yes. performing Basically, as... In the original Twin Peaks, every now and then you saw The Roadhouse and it was usually Julie Cruz doing songs written by her and David yeah. Lynch. In the new series, David Lynch basically used it as an excuse to just like book a bunch of bands and have them... Basically, every episode, almost every episode ends with a musical guest and the credits scroll over a musical guest. Who it's, are some of them? It's, when, when Twin Peaks Return came out, the joke that I made was uh, to Rob Malone. I think either Rob Malone may have made it, or and I may have seconded it. Or it was basically that Twin Peaks had borrowed the this from the Chris Gethard show because it basically every episode ending with a musical guest and the right. credit, credit scrolling. Um, the like, um, I mean, some of the some of the people whose names I don't know. Uh, there's the Chromatics. But was it modern artists? Or? Yes, like Eddie Vedder was one of them. Nine Inch Nails was one of them. Um, and are they as themselves or sort of playing characters? Uh, usually as themselves. It, it, it was just like a well-filmed... I think they shot it all in one day, all the musical acts, you know? Oh, interesting. Um, if I was going to have a musical guest featured at the Roadhouse, I mean, the obvious answer uh, would be that I'd have Elvis Costello and the Imposters. But barring that kind of predictable answer for me uh, I would say uh, me and Mikey Erg performing because I don't want there to be another season of Twin Peaks not, not especially I know a lot of people really want Twin Peaks to have another season and I would be thrilled if they decided to make another one but without spoiling anything so there's 25, 26 years between the end of Twin Peaks and the new uh, season during that time, a movie was made, and then 18 hours of new Twin Peaks. Right. And, like, Twin Peaks Season 2 ends with a cliffhanger with a very specific question that is not answered in all 18 hours of the new season. And the new season ends with an episode that is baffling to a degree that I honestly, if you told me Connor, make a new season of Twin Peaks. I'd be like, Jesus Christ, I don't know where to start. Like, how would you even begin to make a new season? Like, it's, it's so bafflingly, like, I don't even know what the baseline for the reality of Twin Peaks is at the end of that right. season. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not. I don't know what could happen. Having said that, I, like, I, as far as I'm concerned, I did a, I did a um, there's a thing, I think you can find it online. I did a... Um, Twin Peaks uh, um, fan presentation at IFC Center. Right. And I basically, like, lobbied to get into this, to present my theory. And my theory was largely that, like, they are not interested in answers. Like, right. my unified field theory of Twin Peaks is that every single theory is 100% correct because they they do not negate anything. They've now created... Right. There's, there's, they ended it in such a way that, like, it's almost impossible to be wrong. Like, if... If you came up with a theory that it was all the dream of a little baby goat, I can't dis- I can't refute it. Whereas right. If you said that about Hill Street Blues, I could be like, ah, there's really nothing in the text. Right. Uh, and 
But, so, like, another season of Twin Peaks seems to me, like, impossible. He's, like, in his 70s now. It would be, it would take years to put together another thing as big and ambitious as this to get everyone together. However, I do like the idea of them doing a Twin Peaks Christmas special where, and I don't know what it would be exactly, but just an hour of Twin Peaks content that is set in Twin Peaks at Christmas because it's, we've never seen what Twin Peaks is like at Christmas. Right. And there's no, there would be no obligation to wrap up any of the existing timeline. It would be its own thing. And so that's why me and Mikey come to mind because my dream Twin Peaks thing, if I could snap my fingers and make it happen, would be that David Lynch gets into his head that's like, I wonder if we should make a Twin Peaks that's a Christmas time where everybody's having a fun time and it's Christmas and it's the holidays and all, and then there's a, a horrible crime that happens. Uh, uh, a Santa Claus is found with his head removed. You know, and... I think it would be great. It would have, you would feel no, if the Twin Peaks Christmas special was announced, no one would feel like, oh, it will answer all of our questions. Right. They would be like, oh, this is a fun, weird thing that's happening. Um, so that's my answer to that. Is Connor going to make JD listen to the new Costello LP? And what are you jazzed about? Um, no, I've never forced you to listen to a record in our entire friendship, have I? Nope. Nor have I forced anything upon you. It's true. Um, but it's also like, it would take a very specific kind of record, I think, at this point for me to be like, like if you were curious about Elvis Costello, I assume you would probably ask me. I think I have at one point, and you gave yeah. me an entry point, and I just, I'm very strange with music, where yeah. it's just like, I need to be in the mood where yeah. I'm like, I mean, I don't think I, that's unique. No. I need, you know, I think with music, you need to be like, ooh, I feel this I feel yeah. compelled to get into this thing. Something real specific would have to click with this one where I'd have to be like, oh, JD would love this. This is, And I don't, I'm not even sure what that would be. I would know it if I saw it. What are you jazzed about? Um, what am I jazzed about? You know what I'm jazzed about, honestly? Yeah. Oh, this will be... Uh, I, I, this might take a second. Okay. The new NBA season is starting. All right. So Connor was excited, and then he got bummed. I think you might be tough, but I think I can get you excited about basketball. Here's the thing. I, I know you could. Here's why. Uh, it's more exciting than some of the other sports. Like, I don't think you could get me excited about football. I don't think there's anything you could do to get me excited about I don't like football. I, I'm not excited. I try to understand and understand what's exciting about football, yeah. and I just I can't do it. Um. I, there was one time when I was around people and they were watching, what do they call it? The final what? The, NBA Finals. Yeah. Yeah. Do they call it something else? Nope. Okay. Is there something else that's playoffs. got a fun name? Yeah, the playoffs maybe. I don't know. There's the play, uh, playoffs, Eastern Conference Finals, NBA Finals. It was the playoffs. Championship. Uh, this was probably like 2000 maybe. <coughs> 2000 or 2001 maybe. And I was, <coughs> and I was around. Yeah. Falzone and his brother and a friend of theirs, Brian Kalino, was around a bunch of people and they were all into it and that's what they were right. watching tonight. So I just was around them for the week and so I kind of got into it. Right. And I bet if I started, if you took me to a live basketball game, I would be into it. It wouldn't take much. Having said that, I don't have time for basketball. So, yeah. here's the thing. The storylines in basketball are fascinating. It is 
soap opera. Mm-hmm. It is, you name it, you know, like drama sitcom. Right. And that's what's so fun about it is that <coughs> you follow all the storylines and all the games have subtext to them and you know all the characters. And it, it, it's honestly like Game of Thrones or any show like that where it's like, as you try to describe it to people, you're like, oh, but so then there's this there's this group and this group, okay, they have this one guy and yeah. this He's sort of the king, but he's not the king, and he's the he's the the, the prince, and he killed so and so, and because he killed that, he's married yeah. his wife. That's what NBA basketball is. Can I try to at least give you the headline of sort of what this season is about? Absolutely. Okay. So, how much? How what do you know about NBA? Can you name any current players? Um, Iverson. He's been out of the league, <laughs> out of the league for a long time. That was who was the big shot whenever I was watching. Yeah. Um, oh, who's into it now? Who's the... LeBron James? Yeah, LeBron. LeBron's still big. Okay, so let me start with this. Yeah. LeBron James. There was a period of time when uh, you could be a high school student mm-hmm. and be drafted into the NBA. Yeah. And then that stopped at a certain point. And they made this rule with the NCAA that was called one and done, where you had to basically like play at least a year in the NCAA yeah. before you could be eligible for the NBA draft. Right. Um, and they've recently changed it so that you, the NBA has now like a minor league where you can play in the minor yeah. league. So one of the last big names, I mean, there's been a couple people, but one of the last big, big <coughs> names yeah. to go from high school to the NBA was LeBron James. Yeah. Who ever since he was in high school, people were like, this guy is going to be the biggest deal in basketball. Right, right. Because right. he's like six foot ten, fast, he can shoot, he's smart, he's all these ba- things. He's good at basketball. He's great at I basketball. I can't deny it. Great. So he comes into the league as this young guy that a lot of people are already resenting. Yeah. Um, he plays for Cleveland, which is where he's from. Then he left. And then people were mad. The team he's he can't win championships. He be- he becomes this person who's known for putting up great stats, but when it comes to winning right. and winning championships and playoffs, he can't do it. He doesn't have a team that surrounds him. He, so yeah. when his rookie contract's up, he has this press conference that everybody in the NBA, the NBA itself, everyone was like, do not ha- do, not do this. Mm. And he announces he's taking his, his talents to South Beach. And he did this thing where he joined up with a team of already amazing players and he created the first like the first modern era super team where it's basically a bunch of really good players decided sort of conspired to like let's all just play together mm-hmm. and this is Dwayne Wade Chris Bosh and LeBron James this sounds like a great idea yep so then they go down there and guess what they win some championships and already the public is like LeBron James that guy stinks that's so awful of him to leave his hometown to just go chase a Why? championship He's the hometown kid playing for his hometown team. They considered that the greatest next player. And people are like, this guy, he's just trying to get whatever the easiest path is to success and all this stuff. I thought sports was about winning. Well, so that's an interesting thing. So he goes out and win these championships, okay? Then, when his contract's up there, and that Cleveland, mm-hmm. the, the manager of the team, like the mayor, people are like writing letters, public letters are like, our city, uh, we... We're, we're, we're writing off LeBron James. Like, we will, we guarantee you, we will win a championship before he wins one in Miami and blah, 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 blah. Just like 
vile stuff. Right. When his contract's up in Miami, he, he goes says, back to Cleveland. I'm going back to Cleveland. I'm going to win one in Cleveland. At the same time that he's coming up, right. um, there's also this, uh, these three young guys that um, Seattle had this team called the Seattle Supersonics. Right. They sound silly. They got rid of their Did franchise. That? That's a silly name for a team? It is. There's a lot of those. They sold their franchise to Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. So now, Oklahoma City now has the Oklahoma City Thunder. And it's this young team, and they have these three players. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. There's these three young guys that are young and really good. And Kevin mm-hmm. Durant is considered, like, maybe the next great player to play the game. Good at basketball. Great at basketball. And they're this sort of scrappy team, and they start putting up this fight, and it sort of suddenly it becomes, oh wow, this team might be something interesting. Mm-hmm. At the same time as that, there is this team called the Golden State Warriors, mm-hmm. which for years has been one of the worst teams in the history of basketball, because they're they're like the fourth California team. You have the Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles Clippers, the Sacramento Kings, and the Golden State Warriors, and the Warriors have not been good since like the seventies. But, Those were all the worst teams you just listed? Uh, no, all the Los Angeles teams. Okay. Or all the teams in California. But there's this kid who uh, went to not a huge school, who he's like six foot two, mm-hmm. he's small, and he has ankle problems. Yeah. But he's really fast and he can shoot. This is Steph Curry. Okay. And him and a couple other guys. I thought for certain Steph Curry was a female tennis player. Nope, he's a male basketball player, and he's small, and he was drafted later in the draft, and a couple of guys... I thought Steph Curry was Ann Curry's sister. Nope. Ann Curry from the Today Show? Is that true? I think I thought Steph Curry was Ann Curry's sister who played tennis. Interesting. Nope, this is... He is I a... I was wrong. You're wrong. But also, I feel like my content in this part of the podcast is important, because this is not a sports podcast. Yes. And we've never been in more danger. But just oh, you can you can do three hours on Porky Pig tweets. Porky Pig tweets and Elvis Costello. The moment I talk about basketball, it's a the danger. It's a danger, danger area. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I know our brand. I know our audience. We are in dangerous territory right now. You got to trust me. And I no, I trust you. I, I trust you. I think this is compelling. But I also feel like I need to chime in as the voice of the of the person who doesn't want to hear sports podcasts. Got it. So. This is more drama than sports, actually. It is more drama than sports. So I wasn't a criticism. It was just a retort. There's this young team of all people that were drafted way late in the draft. People people that aren't supposed to be good. Yeah. Suddenly. Wait, they're okay, though, right? I mean. They play basketball. They're they're great in the scheme of basketball, in the scheme of the NBA. But not in the NBA. In the NBA, they're they're just going to be guys that maybe play in the league for a couple years. Right. Is what everyone expects. Nothing special. Nothing special. Suddenly, they start getting really good. Why? They create this whole system of ball movement, and this guy, Steph Curry, when he recovers from his injuries, he works on the ability to shoot from insane distances. Mm-hmm. And he can put up shots fast and new ones. So it's like, he'll get the ball, and he'll shoot from places that like would have gotten you benched by coaches. We're like, don't shoot from there. Are you insane? Right. You're wasting our whole possession. Money ball. And he's making these shots. Yeah. And that means that defenses have to like play out really far, and it he's changes cha- the whole... He's rewriting the shape of the game. Yeah, 100% he is. Okay? So this team starts getting really good. And then suddenly, they start winning championships. And every year, the championship is between 
LeBron James's team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, mm-hmm. and another team, the Golden State Warriors. This team of underdogs that comes out of nowhere and takes over. Steph Curry wins unanimous MVP of the league. It's like he's like the he's like the new king of basketball. Yeah. And now LeBron James has returned to Cleveland, and it's like I'm gonna bring a championship. Has this amazing team to contend against, and um, the way the playoffs work is you have the East and the West. Right. The west side of the country versus the East side. Never the twain shall meet. Well, you have a tournament, and the only meet at the end. Yeah. The championship game. The then best the, team in the, the East. Best meet. team in the West. So, Oklahoma City. I'm talking about that team. Yeah. This team of young guys that are coming up, um, really good. Now there's even younger guys, the Golden State Warriors, who are also on the Western Conference with yeah. them. So to get to the championship, those two teams have to play. Gotcha. And Oklahoma City Thunder, for like, I think it was like two or three years in a row, yeah. made it to the Western Conference Championship, mm-hmm. where if they win, they get to play for the national championship against LeBron's team. And Oklahoma City, it's a seven-game series, best of seven. It goes all the way to the seventh game, and Oklahoma City loses by, like, two points. One basket. It's, like, it's close. Yeah. And it's such good basketball. And it's this, uh, this team that was the underdogs, mm-hmm. now against the new underdogs, and they're being outclassed by them, and Golden State wins every time. Okay? Yeah. So now, the two best, uh, the t- there's that three guys, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Durant. The guy James Harden gets traded away, <coughs> and he starts becoming this amazing player on another team in the Western Conference. And now it's these two guys, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. They're the ones that are the leaders of this. They're two superstars, two of the best in the league. Mm. And they're this duo that's trying to beat this Golden State Warriors team right. that is so good for the chance to play against LeBron. Yeah. And LeBron keeps getting beaten. So it's, the question is, like, who's going to win the championship? Mm. After several years of Oklahoma City getting so close and every year being like next year they can do it um, they have this mat, they have this this playoffs where they lose and it's so close and you can just taste it you're like god if one shot went down differently they would have been there and made it the champion they probably would have beaten LeBron's team yeah. and so everyone's like next year is going to be so great but then Kevin Durant the guy who's the best player on this Oklahoma City team yeah. his contract is up and he goes uh, Russell Westbrook, same thing happens, and he goes, I'm coming back to Oklahoma City. Kevin Durant goes, not only am I not staying in Oklahoma City, I'm joining the Golden State Warriors, the team that is already the best team. Yeah. People go nuts. This is the, t- this is the guy who was like fighting against this now like dynasty team, right. going, the team that I- I'm trying to beat, I can't, so I'm just going to join them. Mm-hmm. And then this guy, Russell Westbrook, gets left behind to fend for his own on this team. Yeah. And so then now there's this team that was the best team in the league, and now they have, they've added to their team one of the best players in the league. Right. It's insane. And so then three, like, I guess two years, three years in a row, they beat LeBron James' team, and LeBron can't figure it out. So then suddenly, Le- Cleveland starts getting mad at LeBron and all this stuff. So LeBron, this season, has left Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Said, I got you guys a championship, which he did. He got them one championship during that run. I'm going to Los Angeles Lakers. Kevin Durant is still with the Golden State Warriors. That guy, James Harden, has moved on to another team. That guy, Russell Westbrook, has started gaining people because now he's mad. He's gotten this like vengeance. He wants to destroy Kevin Durant for leaving. Turned on him. So he's trying to gain guys to create his team to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And now this season, you have this amazing thing that's going to unfold where it's like, LeBron has moved on to a new team now that he's like older. <coughs> this dynasty 
has reigned supreme, and now there's all these teams trying to come at them. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. And every game, there's a different storyline like that of these players and these things going on. And beyond just the basketball, there's also, like, all this off-court drama that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. It sounds good. That's what I'm jazzed about. So you're jazzed about. Um, do you have any predictions? I think Golden State's going to win it again this year. Kevin Durant. Yep, they're just so good. I think Boston's going to win it in the East because LeBron has left the East. Now everybody's in the West. Yeah. So the East is wide open. So LeBron might not make it to the championship. He might not make it to the playoffs. He's joined a bunch of young guys. You know who's on LeBron's team, the Lakers signed? Michael Beasley Mm -hmm. from the Gethard Show, that episode. Yeah. Um, So it's going to be wild. It's crazy. And then this champion, this last, this last championship. It sounds like too big a time investment for me. That's the only thing. It is. A, it's, it. a it's a lot of time. It's a lot of time to keep track of it. For me, I come home and I watch a game every night. Yeah. Because it's my way to disengage. Yeah. And just um, the last championship, the uh, Golden State Warriors versus Cleveland, LeBron versus Kevin Durant and the Warriors. Me and Phil Jackson and do you know Aaron Covington? No. We went to the Cleveland. On a little trip and went to the game. That was my like <coughs> gift to myself post rap. You ever see the Harlem Globetrotters play? Mm-hmm. Pretty fun. They're pretty fun. Those are a lot of guys that couldn't make in the NBA. Because think about that. Here's a wild thing to think about. To be so good that you make your high school team is hard. There's not that many people. There's people that are good at basketball, not all of them make their high school team. Not all of them start on their high school team. Of those people that start on their high school team, not all of them get to play in college. And definitely not all of them get to play in Division One college. Yeah. And definitely not all of those in Division One college get to be on a team that makes it into March Madness. And then of that, yeah. barely any get to be so good that they make this splash. Then from that pool of the best of the best, only like, I think it's 60 players a year are drafted. Yeah. And a lot of them play in the minor, the minor leagues. And of those, only a couple of them go on to make it into the NBA. Yeah. And so there are thousands upon thousands of people who are incredible basketball players who have given their entire life to the game who will not play professionally in the NBA yeah. but the skill that they have is basketball and so there's opportunities like Harlem Globetrotters like the minor league like Washington Generals Washington, Washington Generals is legitimately made up of a lot of people who yeah. were ex-basketball players who just need to make a living yeah. in the meantime there's leagues overseas it's really interesting it's like people who you know, there's certain people we know that, like, you know, <coughs> will take improv classes for 10 years, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's what they put all their investment into, and they're never going to be the big movie star, but they have to make a living somehow. And it's like, oh, that's just because you've, you've put your eggs into this bastard thing, and basketball has the same thing. I should have said, uh, Andrew at Spin the Platter was the one who asked if I was going to make you uh, listen to the new... Costello oh, album and also what you're jazzed about. So he's the, he's the reason you guys had to listen to me talk about basketball. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tweet at spin the Platter. Um, hi Andrew, and uh, Mark Ledgerwood uh, says, "What's the best wedding you've been to?" Ooh, I so recently two of my best friends from growing up got married together. Yeah, not together. They both got married within a month of each other. Yeah. Um, one of my friends, I mean, they're both great weddings. One of my friends had my favorite kind of wedding, um, which actually I have a couple opinions on. A rhyming wedding where everyone rhymes. You must rhyme to spend your time in the wedding. 
Line. Line. Um, it was uh, an afternoon lunch. It was just uh, they got they rented out this pizza place in Chicago. Uh, it was like somewhat casual dress, still somewhat formal, and it was in the afternoon in Chicago on a beautiful day. And that meant that if people <coughs> had plans that night to do that, you know, all of us that were friends got hung out in Chicago that night and just mm-hmm. it was really casual. I like the weddings that are casual. Um, Murph and Diana, two friends, when they got married, they just had a, a wedding at the uh, um, Gowanus Shuffleboard Club that was more just like, oh, a big party with a bunch of friends hanging out. That said, in the right, I, I always sort of dread the big travel weddings. Yeah. But in the right environment, it can be fun to travel with a bunch of friends and spend a little bit of time in an unusual place and have a nice meal with friends dressed up nice. Yeah, I mean, I would probably say uh, Murph and Kolsky's wedding. Yeah. Just like the vibe of it. It felt like them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I went to a couple of good weddings last year that I, but they were also the last two weddings I would go to. Um, which was uh, Tom and Molly yep. and uh, Matt and Mary. Matt and Mary. And they were both really nice weddings. Yeah. Uh, both very nice, but I just can't do it anymore. Yeah. And uh, our friend Drew Johnson's getting married uh, soon. But I was clear with Drew a year ago. He saw me when I made my decision because it really hurt me financially having to go to both those weddings right. last year. It really, like... It took the small financial cushion I had and just obliterated it. Right. And uh, so I I just said, I can't do it anymore. I just can't. A, wed- I, I, a wedding would have to be unspeakably convenient for me to attend it at this point. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're just not a fan of weddings in general. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I, I, I sort of enjoy weddings. Uh I appreciate them, but I don't enjoy them. Yeah. What are your favorite shoes or sneakers? Uh, I mean, I'm now naming a couple. In my relationship with desire and allowing myself to want and have things, I've now named several things. I'm like, oh, this was my, after the Gethard show was ended, this was my sort of gift to myself. I've said several of those already, um, but this was another one, which was I got these shoes, which are these Paul Smith shoes. I got actually two pairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoy, They're like canvas summer shoes that are colorful. These ones that I'm wearing right now. And they are, boy oh boy, some of my favorite shoes I've ever had. So yeah. you can slip them on. Yeah. And they're so comfortable. And they, these are great for casual and you can sort of be formal with these. It's great. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of grief for the shoes that I wear from people. Often people wearing, frankly, uh, shoes that, you know, I'm sure they're very cool, but they look like candy or something, you know, like... Uh, You're talking about my shoes? No, not yours, but people who give me grief, these I look at the are, shoes... These that, sort of look like candy. They look like candy? Sort of do. But, like, I don't understand. Like, my shoes that I wear, and I've, I've had some... I bought some Nike sneakers yeah. when I was in Binghamton, 
And they started hurting my feet almost immediately, like to the point where I couldn't walk after wearing them. <laughs> Everything's such extremes. I, I mean, I thought like, oh, I'm buying Nike sneakers. These will be comfortable. And right. they started hurting my right foot. The top of my right foot was in tremendous pain once I started wearing them. And I, I tend to wear non-bush men's uh, slip-on loafers. No laces. I don't have time for laces. I don't, I don't care to be bending over tying strings so that I can have my feet protected. <laughs> no, no. This is such a kind of rat lift. I just... Why on earth would this I want to spend... A... Why on earth would I want to spend every single day of my goddamn life if I want to leave my apartment... Tying bits of string around my feet. Like, this is such a. This is you trying to twist normal no. things to seem abnormal. Why on earth? How? Ah, uh, so I'm expected to every day after I, I, I after I inject excrement from my body to take a, an alternating series of metal teeth and use some sort of tool every time to combine those teeth. Just to hold my pants together? No, thank you. I will wear sweatpants. You don't have to bend over. Like, the way to tie your shoes, you have to contort your whole body into... Hey, yeah. Okay, so you have decorative strings on your shoes. You like those? <laughs> no, what? Why are you mad at me all of a sudden? <laughs> because I don't think that we should have to have laces on our shoes. I don't think shoe technology requires laces on shoes. Okay, you, Function- should, just, you should just wear a, 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 a silk muumuu for the rest of your life. You, wait, what is the point of laces? You don't even use them. Because you... You, can, you just said what you like about your shoes is that you can slip them on. Yes, because my, li- my laces can be tightened to the level that it Show fits me. my foot. Show me. They are currently tied to that level. Show me. Let's imagine they were a little bit off. What would you do? I, I want would to retie see it. them. Let me see it. Okay, so right now JD is crouched over in his. Don't like, act like I'm fucking Yoda. No, JD is crouched over Take, with his face pressed against his knee, so that he. Oh, now he's lifted. He's lifted his foot up, propped it up on a table. While his back is, is arched at a, at a forty-five degree angle, and his knee is up at his chest. I don't see the point of laces. Connor, Connor, you could do your your negative voiceover for whatever aspect of life you'd like to make it seem insane. I do think it's insane. Uh, but also, like, the shoes that are cool often to me are like... Like, the shoes that people consider cool, I look at them like, yeah, that's nice. But it's also, like, a little crazy. Like, a lot of the shoes that are considered cool look a little bit crazy. Yes, like, this is true. Almost like a costume. And but I don't have a problem that's... with that, but the shoes I wear, uh, and I've been ridiculed for making this statement, but like the shoes I wear are basically the same shoes that Mickey Mouse wears. Like when you when you draw like a cartoon character's oh, shoes, this comparison doesn't doesn't help you. It doesn't hurt me. It does. It's just a little bit. No, they're just basic shoes, like the simplest shoes to draw. Like, if you're going to draw a shoe, my shoes would be easy to draw. You just draw the shape of a shoe around a foot. And I don't understand why I get so much grief for it. Um, I used to like Skechers. Um, favorite Whoopi Goldberg movie. Uh, 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 oh, that was Albert 
Hey, Hor- at Hey Horseneck, uh, what are your favorite shoes and sneakers? This is Casey Miko, uh, Casey Meeks, uh, asking us oh, several questions from her. Favorite would be Goldberg movie. What is your favorite place to walk alone? Specifics not needed so no one bothers you in your private walks. And how do you feel about the ocean? Um, my favorite would be Goldberg movie is probably Ghost. Uh, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting any great work we go. Ghost is really good and she's really good in it. I'm crazy about Ghost. I haven't seen it in 20 years, so I saw it when I was like 12. So I think I just thought it was a cool concept back then. Is it not good? Um, I have an alternate. Um, there were two movies that came out that year, and I saw one of them, and then I saw Ghost a lot later. I didn't see Ghost when it came out, I saw Got Ghost it. a lot later. One of my favorite movies is a movie called Truly Madly Deeply. Right. And it came out um, the same year, and it was, uh, um, oh, uh, uh, Anthony Minghella. Right. And he, uh, basically it's, it's Alan Rickman, and he dies, and he comes back. Like the, his wife is like grieving him, and he comes back. And she's overjoyed with, like, she has her husband back. Right. And he wants to, like, watch movies. Like, they're just, like, yeah. casual in the apartment. It's great. Everything's perfect. This is maybe a little too spoilery. But then he starts inviting some of his friends from the afterlife to come watch movies. And they're, like, hanging around in the apartment. And the movie is really about how... Now that her husband is dead, it's no longer like a healthy relationship. Like it sort of, it sort of becomes like it's not that they stop loving each other, but she kind of starts falling in love with like a real person, right? Who's alive, and it's hurtful to him. But it's also a thing of like, he she can't live a full life with a ghost, right? And it's really about grief and about dealing with the, the letting go of the memory and moving on with your life. But it's acted out as if it's like what if the relationship just continued but it was like right it had an aspect that was sort of untenable that you'd have to like choose to hold on to this thing that keeps you stuck in a right in a uh, in a memory or to move on and be healthy and it's so funny and so sad such a beautiful movie and by comparison ghost um was a much more like a uh like a, a an 11 year old boy's version of like you gotta solve a murder, and there's a you know, and there's like the demon ghosts that come and get you, and yeah, it, it was a much more. It was just in part, it was that the the I saw it at the wrong age because I had already seen Truly Madly Deeply. I already knew that there was like this sort of like uh, it was sort of pitched that year as like the adult alternative right. to Ghost. And watching Ghost in comparison, it felt to me like a very immature um, version of adult love and life and it, it sort of had the beats of like and there's a business guy who did the murder and right. he's got a he's gonna scare him and and you know and it's sort of like it just by the time I saw it, it just there was no part of it that was left for me right and then and I, got very, I haven't seen ghosts as an adult and you're you're selling me on your take I, and it's not I don't mean to be mean about ghosts I don't I don't think that it's a movie that I think like oh you're stupid if you like it but by the I time I a, what, I think I have a tweet incoming from the ghost family. Oh no, <laughs> um, the uh, also wasn't ghost by one of the guy, one of the Zaz, one of the Zucker brothers. 
I have no idea. Who did like Naked Gun and Airplane and all those movies. Oh, I didn't know that. I think it was like the movie that he did is like, I can do a serious movie. Um, the, yeah, it was just like by the time I saw it, any part of it that would have appealed to me, I mean, I, I, I think like the moments everyone knows, like they're making clay together or it's like the Whoopi Goldberg stuff is funny where she's like possessed and stuff. But I remember also getting hung up on stuff like. This is such a what? petty, petty thing. Well, they weren't making clay together, Connor. They made clay together. Um, I remember getting hung them, up on the fact that like out getting... he couldn't like open a door, but he could run up the stairs in their apartment. That I was like, well, then he should just kick the door because the bottoms of his feet can touch. Uh, they can interact with the real world. Yeah, right. Um, there were just a lot of things like that. My favorite would would be Goldberg movie. Theodore uh, Rex. I'm looking at a couple here, and oh, I, I got a four way. You pull up her IMDb. Yeah, that's cheating. No. There were no rules in this. Right. I have a four-way tie. Right. Let, let me... I'm going to count down my final four. Wait. Let me look it up before I am distracted by you. Before I'm infected by your opinion. Are we counting minor roles? Uh, if you could say that's a Whoopi Goldberg movie. Okay. So I won't say The Player because I don't think anyone thinks that's a Whoopi Goldberg movie. Okay. Let me... I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. I mean, I think Soap Dish might be the one that would be the most likely to be that if you said it's a Whoopi Goldberg movie, and even though it's an ensemble movie, that she's like a... Right. But, uh, but I'm going to... And, and I could say The Lion King as a movie that like she has like an important presence yeah. in. But I'm going to go with an unexpected choice. Uh, so those three are honorable mentions. The, Robert Altman's The Player... Soap Dish and The oh, Lion I King. I forgot she was in this. But I am going to go with the greatest Whoopi Goldberg movie of all time, Star Trek Generations. I was about to say. <laughs> because I do genuinely think... Is another one that... Monkey Bone. I forgot she was in Monkey Bone. Her presence as Guinan in Star Trek Generations is such a great thing. And it's also... It's especially great because it's like she's in there because she's such a fan. Like she was a Trekker. Yeah. And... They designed this intriguing character for her. I just really had a lot of respect for that move of like, I want to be on Star Trek. So she was like, she did what she what it had to do. Yeah, she's great in Star Trek. Here's a movie that, I don't know if it's a good movie, but boy oh boy, is it watchable? Rat Race. I've never seen Rat Race. It just flies by. It's just like dumb popcorn, low calorie nothing. Yeah. She's in that. What is your where? What's your favorite place to walk alone? Oh, I have so many. Um, the one I most frequently is Astoria Park. There's a certain tree that I'll sit under uh, and just look out at the water. Um, but a lot of times I'll just go there and walk around. Mm-hmm. Um, I also walk through Central Park a lot. One of the most frequent walks that I do, though... All right, here's all my spots. Central Park, on the south side of the park. That's good. Astoria Park. Um, I'll go on the uh, west side and walk along the water there. That's one of my favorite places, just like walk and talk with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever do the east side? Uh, not as often, because it's just a little... Harder to get to? Harder to get to, and I don't think the walk is as nice around there. Um, 
when I ride my bike to and from the seaport, I, I'm on the east side. So as of late, I've spent a lot of time there, but I'm mostly on my bike. And then uh, I like walking around Washington Square Park. Not walking around, but like that's where I went to college. It feels like my college quad. So sometimes I just sort of sit there and, and bask in it. Yeah. Um, I think that's most of mine. Yeah, I like Central Park. Um, I like walking around Lincoln Center. I like walking around that area alone. Yeah. Um, In the winter, Lincoln Center is sort of nice. Yeah. How do you feel about the ocean? It's funny. So I grew up on Lake Michigan. Yeah. Not I'm not on it, but that our town was on Lake Michigan. And so I feel this weird connection with the lake. Mm-hmm. And I feel comfortable with it. And I feel yeah. like I understand it. The mm-hmm. ocean, I don't feel that way. It sort of scares me a little bit. I don't feel salt water. I don't like being in salt water as much. What was nice, like Michigan, is like you know you get the big waves and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was all fresh water. Salt water. It's like when it gets in your eyes and mouth and everything. You're just like, I don't know. It's it it feels bad. Yeah. And there's something, even though Lake Michigan is huge. And it practically feels like an ocean. Something mm-hmm. about the ocean, ocean, because it's so deep and is like there's something about stepping in the ocean water and knowing that like you're touching the same water that goes thousands of miles and that has whales in it, mm-hmm. and sharks in it, and creatures unknown in the deep. Like like there's something creepy about that feeling of like right now I'm touching this entity this water this this connected piece of water that yeah connects to all these unknown things so that's my i like watching the water yeah but it's a little bit more ominous to me than the lake is definitely uh how i feel about the ocean it's a nice place to visit but i wouldn't want to live there Boo. Um, no, I think there's something scary about it. I like looking at it. I love looking at the ocean, but I, I, I no longer have even very much of a desire at all to even walk a little bit into the ocean. Yeah. It, it, like as a kid, maybe I would have been intrigued, but now I'm just like, nope. Uh, I don't mind playing with the waves as they're coming in, but I have no desire to swim in the ocean. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite sub... Uh, uh, this is from Anna Maria Sophias. Uh, what... What's your favorite subway line and why? I mean, NW feels like home. Mm-hmm. But you've had some difficulties these past few years. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't think they're good at it. They really remade your subway station, though. It's nice now. It's nice and fancy and futuristic. Yeah. You want to know? Here's something. Yeah. This is going to sound wild to people because it is not a useful or well-run line. Yeah. But the line where I feel the most comfortable, mm-hmm. probably because contextually, it's the easiest to wrap my head around, the G train. Mm-hmm. Because I take my train to Queensboro, then I walk. I don't, and, and unless the seven's right there, I'll just walk to the G because it's like three blocks. Yeah. And what's nice is that there's always a train waiting for you, even if it takes 10 minutes for it to leave. 
There's yes. always a train there. You can sit there. So I can go and sit there. It's what used to be great about when the 7 ended at Times Square. Right. Is <coughs> that you could just get there, and even if you missed the train that was leaving, you had a train there to sit in. Exactly. And then when I'm taking the G, it's usually because I'm going to Brooklyn, mm-hmm. which means I'm probably going to a show or meeting with a friend. So the context is always pleasure or people Business. that I like or... No, it's just like yeah. I'm never on there commuting to work or doing something where I'm just like, ugh. I'm always like, hey, this is going to be fun. And I only have to go two or three stops in the G. Yeah. And it feels like it transports me from one borough to another. Yeah. Uh, How about you? I'm going to say my answer officially is going to be for what's your favorite subway line and why. I'm going to say the Long Island Railroad because it's not a subway. Yeah, I mean, the subways uh, have been real bad. That The Long Island Railroad these past few years has saved me a lot of hours. And it's, I basically, like, it's my way in, it, it saves me on the weekends. I no longer have, like, weekend subway stress. Right. Because even when there's problems on the Long Island Railroad, they're not as bad as the problems on the regular subway. And I can just take... Uh, an AC or E, one stop down from Port Authority when I'm leaving like Hell's Kitchen, and then get out, get on the next Long Island Railroad, and the Long Island Railroad is 10 minutes to my neighborhood, you know? Right. And so it's cut a lot of um, a lot of 20, 25-minute chunks out of my commute right. on a regular basis that have made it... Um, it's also one of those things where it's like there's some sense of like how long do I have until the next train? Oh, that's when this next train leaves. Like, set times really makes a difference. Boy, oh boy, does it. Uh, you know what? My least favorite thing at the moment that I ever have to deal with is I really hate it at Penn Station where you have the local train on one track and the express train on another track and no sign to indicate which one it's going to be at next and no easy way, like... You'll be waiting there on one track, and suddenly the train will arrive on the other side. And if you really ruin yourself running down the stairs and under and over and then up another flight of stairs to get to the other side, yeah, you can just barely make it. But I really like a sign that just says "next train one minute, next train two minutes, next train is going to be the other side." Well, there's certain. Uh, I think the six on the Upper East Side, the four, five, six, yeah, has this thing. Maybe it's a four or five six, maybe it's another train line where yeah. there's this one area you can stand where you're up at like the local line and the express is down or maybe it's vice versa, but it'll go yeah. to let you know like, ah, this one's going to be first, so yes. just start walking down here. It makes all the difference. It keeps you from going crazy. You want to know my version of Long Island Railroad that's been my game changer for commute? What's that? My bike. Yeah, your bicycle. Oh, my God. Dude, bicycle it puts the, the control back into your hands. You are the captain now. Well, you know how long it's going to take you to get somewhere. Yep. And it's up to you to get there. And if something goes wrong, you can go around it. You can change your path. Yeah. It's wonderful. Uh, Hannah, Hanana, whose uh, handle is Hannah Wonka, has multiple questions. Ooh. How are all your family members? What are your favorite emoji? Do either of you have thoughts on movie pass? JD, how was the summer? Connor, have you seen any Christmas decor yet? And then she has a follow-up tweet that says, oh yeah, and have you mentioned Jeff Falzone yet? So the answer, answer to that last question first, yes. Yes. Multiple times. Wait, can we do it together? The answer to that last question yeah. is, 
Yes. Uh, I have Christmas decor I haven't seen, but I I, um, I have seen small Christmas sections in shops show up. Yeah. Where they, they, they'll have like a bunch of Halloween stuff, and off to the side you'll see a little bit of Christmassy stuff. Um, the... Uh, when I was in Washington, D.C. this summer, the grocery store near where I was staying already had started to put up their Halloween candy in one of the aisles, and that was the end of July. Wow. Another thing, this isn't Christmas decor, but it's a thing in my mind that I uh, learned recently, which is that Linda Tripp, a mm-hmm. uh, notorious figure in the Monica Lewinsky Whitewater right. uh, Clinton scandal, she's the much hated woman who betrayed Monica Lewinsky by tape recording her and ruining her life. Right. Apparently runs a year-round Christmas store. Oh, really? That's fascinating, right? Huh. Um, how are all your family members? They're all good. My sister is still a professor. She is... I have a nephew and niece who mm-hmm. are fantastic. My niece is uh, just getting a little personality now. Nephew's about three, and he, boy, oh boy, does he have a personality. Uh, my sister Allison's doing well. She's at an age where just every every day we get is a feels like a gift because I I don't know if I'm ready. I, I I'm certainly not ready for it. I think it'll it'll really be devastating either way. But it's like you know the life expectancy for someone with her condition is unknown. Yeah. So. I feel like half the time I'll get whenever I see like a voicemail from my mom, I'm waiting for that to be what it is. It'll, yeah. it'll be devastating, but whenever I do get to see Allison or whatever, I am like, oh, this is a. I'm so good, and she's just so happy. Like it just everything seems fine and happy and normal with her. Um, so it's like my sister is on this the spectrum of like someone who's got this like genius. Uh, work ethic and family and then my other sister is like this I consider another uh, person to look up to in terms of like just finding ways to be happy in the day to day my parents are doing well Um, they're definitely growing up and going through things and transitioning to the new phases of their life Mm -hmm. and other families doing fine cousins aunts uncles everyone's doing well how about you how's the rat look um Mom's doing good. Uh, Dad's doing good. My sister had a baby in the time in between since the last episode. Um, And I recently uh, babysat. Uh, It's a little girl named Georgie. She's a few months old now. And I've never had babysat for... I mean, years ago, I, you know, worked in Jeff Falzone's preschool. And I... That's uh, where you were... uh, (laughs) uh, What was it... uh, where the kids thought I was one of the students. Oh, that, yes, that, but also where you play acted as uh, Ruby Ridge. Oh, yeah, I played a character, uh, uh, what was his name? Randall Weaver. I not, didn't realize that Randy Weaver was the name of a Ruby Ridge figure. I was just playing a old hermit character who lived in a cabin. Um, but... Um, no, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time taking care of kids at various points in my life, but I never had, had like, bottle-fed a baby. Right. Where I was the only one around. You know, I'd never, anytime I've been around a baby that needed to be bottle-fed, there was always somebody else who would right. do that. 
this is the only time where I was like, oh, I was like looking after a baby for like six or seven hours. And during that time, like had to put her down a couple of times, had to change her diaper, had to bottle feed her. And it was fascinating. The bottle feeding thing was intense because they like, the baby just makes such eye contact. The baby's trying to like bond with you in right. like a primal way. Um, what's your favorite emoji? I don't know if I have a favorite emoji. I like it when sometimes when those emojis are like, I like when they do like specialized ones that are like, there is like a little George Lucas emoji that, like, I don't have it on my phone, but I've seen what it looks like and it's a fun little I like the robot. Icon. The robot. I mean, I'd go with a basic uh, smiley face or wink or I'm, I'm, I'm not fancy about that kind of right. thing. Do either of you have thoughts on MoviePass? I never got MoviePass. Never got it either. I sort of felt like, well, I'm already in the mode where if I want to go to a movie, I just pay to go to a movie. And everyone else was kind of like, I have this thing. It's like a thing. I'm like, that crazy thing is going to end. It doesn't make any sense. And I kind of didn't want to get on board with the thing that didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I'm just not an early adopter. And I, I couldn't understand the economics of it. Yeah. And then by the end, people were like, yeah, they're pretty open about the fact that they're, they're like selling your data and your information about you. But like, I don't care. And I'm like, oh, good to know. Because that, right. that stuff bothers me. I don't like people tracking me or selling my information. Yeah, I, I mean, like there was a, also there was a part of me that just wasn't like, I, I was like, well, I actually kind of like voting with my dollars on certain things that are important to me. That I'm like, oh, I want to go to a movie. I Which I... I Theoretically, you still would with that movie pass. Yeah. But something about it, I was just I, like, I don't, I don't have a problem with the economics of movies right now. I also just wasn't that sure that we weren't going to find out something horrible later, which is like, they used the money for movie pass to fund an attack on... It was, just, it was like, oh, they were... Or it was like, oh, the, the way that they paid for all the movie tickets is that they're, they're shaving money off this charity that they run. Like, yeah, or they're like, it was just a big laundry, uh, money laundering scheme. It was just a big laundry company. It was a big laundry company just trying to clean stuff. Uh, Noah Neman uh, says, who surprised you lately? A person you've known for a while, but sort of discovered their greatness recently. I don't know if anyone has surprised me lately. No one's coming to mind. Let me think on that, because I'm sure there's someone. Um, here's uh, another thing that, so to your story of babysitting, um, I've been going home a little more often and since my nephew is my godson he's uh, like three-ish um, you know I've, I'll, he's at the age where I can like take him to the park or go do a thing you know mm-hmm. which I feel like when he gets to be like seven is like going to be my prime right. like right now my big thing is um, I taught him how to make paper airplanes but you can't doesn't really have the total skills to do on his own because he's still only three so it's like your hands don't quite work like that mm-hmm. yet and you don't necessarily have like the geometric total understanding quite yes. yet yeah but he like sort of gets the principles of it and he, he can get pretty close and it's exciting for him to see something that starts as a piece of paper turn into a plane that he can then play with um, but it took him to we rode by, we rode our bikes which was a big deal to the park mm-hmm and um, there's a funny moment when he he has he can have a lot of energy, but he doesn't like being out of control, you know? Mm-hmm. So you know those things, I, they, they're never around when I was a kid. I feel like they're new, but it's like like almost like s- seats that spin. They're like at an, tilt at an angle, and they're like sort of like spinning 
seats with a handle on them where the idea yeah. is you get on each can spin like crazy. I never liked spinning stuff as a kid, so maybe they did exist, but I just stayed away from it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he got onto one of those and it started going too fast and he couldn't stop it. And so he started, he was like, ah, ah, and then he like jettisoned off of it. Like, you know, like comic, like I have to get off this thing. Yeah. And he had just scared himself is really what had happened. Yeah. And he was like, I didn't want to do it fast. I didn't want to go. And he was like freaking out. And so I had to have that moment where it's like, I haven't had to do this in a long time because I'm around mostly adults where it's like, yeah, here's this kid and he's freaked himself out, worked himself up. And we have to like get back to calm because this isn't worth getting upset about. He just scared himself. Mm-hmm. So it was that moment where I had to be like, get down on my knees and look eye to eye and be like, hey, hey, take a deep breath in. Yeah. Take a deep breath out. You're okay. You scared yourself. And like, talk him down to this thing. And it was that, that moment similar to you where I was like, oh, I'm having this very intense moment with someone. And I, I didn't really know what to do. Yeah. Because the moment he's freaking out, I'm like, oh, what do I? And then I was like, all right, we just got to calm down. It's okay. And like, this is, this is a big deal to him. Because, you know, I want to laugh and be like, you're fine, man. Right. You got to like respect. You got to respect that it's like, yeah, this is a feeling of being yeah. out of control and whatever. So it's interesting, and I think being around kids, you have a lot of those moments where you're like, oh yeah, things that I think are, I know about the world, I have to like take a minute. Right, you can't assume that they are processing the things the same way you are. Similarly, here's another family story that it was funny. Yeah, um, I have a possible job opportunity that I just been calling a couple of people and get advice. I called you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I called my dad when I first heard about it just to get his gut instinct. Um, I talked to my mom and I said, I'm going to talk to my dad. He's at work. So I called his office phone, which I don't do very often. Mm-hmm. He didn't pick up. And so it went to his voicemail and it was like, you know, it said his name and, and uh, I was it, then it went to the voicemail and I was like oh maybe I'll make him laugh I'll do like a character kind of thing mm-hmm. so uh, it was immediately like leave a message uh, am I here right now I'll leave a message and I'll get back to you as soon as I have. Deed. and I was like uh, hey uh, Mr. Amato uh, this is Larry Poteet and uh, you know I'm calling because I think we could sort this out like gentlemen first and foremost before we get lawyers involved but uh, if you want I'm happy to get my lawyer involved but uh, other, you know it's like just something like that, like yeah. applying a lawsuit. And I was like, but again, Mr. Romano, you know, I think we could be real gentlemen here, but if you want to get messy, we can get messy. It's up to you. The choice is yours. Give me a call back. And then I gave my number. It's a fake threatening message. Yeah. But I was doing like this, like Chicago, yeah. whatever accent. And then the, the phone number I left was my phone number. Thinking that my dad would be like, Oh, that, Oh, That's I get JD's it. number. Um, that night, I'm talking to my mom, and she's like, also, you got dads, like, you have no idea. And then my dad, I hear my dad laughing in the background, cackling, and he was like, I had, he was like, you got, he's like, I had such a bad day. So many things were going wrong. At the moment I heard that message, I was just like, who the fuck is this guy? What's he doing? <laughs> who is this? Suing me for what? Like, what? What is this about? that he forwarded it to his lawyer and had his <laughs> lawyer start looking up this fake company I created. It was like Datadyne AED or something. And so he's like looking up this co- this fake company. And did, like the- did the lawyer, he have to pay the lawyer for the hour? Yes. <laughs> um, 
It's like a lawyer that works with my dad a lot, so yeah. I have a feeling it was not actually a thing. But, um, and it was only until like hours into it when he's like telling other coworkers, like, I don't know what this is, and da da da. Then, then he's like, oh, oh my God. And then had to like reach out to everybody, like, never mind, never it's mind. It's my son. It's my son. It's my stupid son. <laughs> That's really funny. It was fun. And, he, and then I was telling my dad, is he was like, I needed that so bad because I was having such a bad day and it made yeah. me laugh so hard. And I was like, well, you know what that was, Dad? You know when something happens and you're like, I can't believe I just did this or I can't believe this just happened to me. Mm-hmm. God, my day would just be normal if this just didn't happen, if I could just reverse time. I was like, what happened is that someone actually did call you to sue you and you had had such a bad day and you had just like put out into the world like, I need, I can't have another thing. Yeah. That the universe was like, all right, we'll take this one back. This will just be your son doing a prank phone call. Yeah. So I think about it like that. Is that like the world was like, all right, fine. This one was fake. It wasn't real. You don't have to deal with this one. Fisher Price asks, who's doing well? I think I'm doing well. I'm doing all right. I think it's been a tough, it's been a tough year for me. That and I'm optimistic. So because of that, I think I'm doing well. I'm trying to do well. That super liberal Bray at Woot Bray says, LeBron Space Jam, the best or the very best? Uh, I don't know if they released anything about it. But it's happening, right? They've talked about doing it. It's just buzz, right? I think so. How do you feel? Are you excited? I think it'd be fun. I've never seen Space Jam Oh, really? It's a fun movie. Actually, I think you'd enjoy it. Maybe. Bill Murray's seen, in it. Seen bits of it. Uh, stove Man at I Am A Stove says Desert Island Snack Preferences. Well, here's the question. Yeah. This Desert Island thing. We really have to work out the parameters of this. Are we trying to survive on this island, or is it assumed... That will be rescued. That we have everything we need to survive, and this is just... A bonus. A bonus. Yeah. So if it's survival, then, of course, I'm changing my... I'm like, I'm going to go with, like, trail mix or, like, you know, protein bars or something. But if we're not worried about survival and it's just, hey, you have all the things you need for survival, and you get one thing that's just, like, a creature comfort... Yeah. ...to make you feel like a human. Yeah, if it's unlimited, just extra stuff... For right now, my my gut's telling me fig newtons. Oh, interesting. But if it's for sustenance, then um, I don't know carrots. <laughs> <laughs> the difference in that spectrum is not that. Uh, Noah Naman again saying dream project that could happen in the next five years, and you can talk about it on the podcast. Of ours, I take it. I guess so. I want to make a movie. Yeah, if, uh, I want to be in your feature movie. I got a role for you. Um, what's the best non-alcoholic drink to get when you're at a bar with friends? Uh, for me, it's seltzer. I've so uh, mocktails are a new thing, which I dig, which are non-alcoholic cocktails. You could there's especially in New York. There's a ton of bars that actually have really good ones. Um, I had a friend who once recommended soda and bitters I don't really like bitters though so if I could recommend I would do 
soda and cranberry juice. Mm-hmm. Um, I often just do a ginger ale though. I don't. I don't really mind being like. No, I don't drink. I mean, if it's for just practical, like I gotta have a drink. I'm at a bar at seltzer. Yeah. But if it's like pleasure, I'd like a bottle of Mexican Coca Cola. Uh, you know, if I'm being honest. Um, one of the tweets says, "Do you do you still keep up with Sparrow?" No. Do you want to look up and see what Sparrow's doing? Is there is there any indication? I don't even know how to do that. I, yeah, I don't know if he has like an online presence or not. You know. Uh, Truly, I'm just, just don't know. random words that I hope. We, I haven't. I mean, I haven't even thought about sparrows since the last time we would have like talked about them on this. Yeah, I don't even know what to look up. Damn. Uh... All right, I found him. Current information? Uh, I found his Wikipedia. Any updates? (sighs) Doesn't seem like it. Apparently he currently lives in Woodstock. Um, he didn't have a Twitter for a while. Have what? He had a Twitter for a while, I thought. Oh, did he? Um, okay, so the answer is no. The answer is no. Top book, movie, TV show of the year recently. Place you've always wanted to visit but haven't. Uh, I'm not good at books because I, 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 I don't read whatever new books are out. I just right. I find interests and then I go down the rabbit hole to find those things. So yeah. I've been reading a really interesting book about code breaking. I've been reading some books about Jacques Tati and George Melies that I find really interesting. Uh-huh. Um, I find it harder and harder to even remember what recent culture. It just, it's just, I just feel like I get swamped by some of it, you know? Yeah, and I'm, I also haven't been doing like best of the year stuff in a long time. Yeah. Um, I was just trying to think of like what's the last time that like a movie really like knocked me out. Yeah, know? that's what I'm trying to think of too, and I'm having a hard time. Um, any plan? Oh, that was from um, Caroline at Creative at Worst. Place you've always wanted to visit but haven't. It's weird. I don't have a list of places where I'm like I want to go to this place. Um, like. The places that I think I want to go, if I have any list like that, it tends to just be like, well, I would go there if there was like a reason to go there, like a right work or a, I guess the Grand Canyon. That would be the only place I could think of. Yeah, I haven't been either. 
You know where um, I want to go to is Switzerland. There's a lot of these towns with like waterfalls all around it. Yeah, I've been to Switzerland. You'd like it. Yeah. What's great about the little the way the water trails down the mountain is they have these, like, these drinking fountains that are just from the water Ugh. coming down the mountain, and you just go like you walk past and it's just water flowing. You just wash your hand or take a drink or whatever, you know. Here's something I've been wanting to do lately is I've never gone ski, skiing or like snowboarding on mm-hmm. like a proper mountain. Mm-hmm. Done it in the Midwest in small places once or twice, but I, I'd like that experience. I think. Uh, Chris Delamere at Spine Trolley says, any plans to do a more staged episode like the UCB window one? I know you had your reservations about the listenability of that episode, but I loved it. Strangers talking through a window is like the basis of a whole other podcast. Follow-up tweet, by staged, I mean like some kind of novel setting that is public-facing in some way. Well, I mean, it wasn't too long ago that we came very close to doing a podcast festival. (laughs) And... It was strange because we we are. I'll put it out there. We are. You just made a hand gesture like what? Wow, this is like easy. Take it easy, right? You're worried that I'm in my uh, yeah exactly my twilight of the podcast phase. Yeah, exactly. I'll just put it out there. If you're out there, if you're in a major city and you run a podcast festival and you would like twelve hour day to be part of your podcast festival, the first honestly the first one to do it is the one that's going to get the buzz. Because we're the only twelve-hour game in town. But here's the thing that we've here's the thing we've learned. Yeah, we can't guarantee you anything. Well, here's the thing: don't if you want a twelve-hour podcast, <laughs> we're your guys. If you want extra stuff, who knows? We're not your guys, probably. But here's the thing: like, here, it's here, not, here's what I say: if you want twelve-hour podcast, we're the guys. If you're looking for literally anything else, it's hard for us to make any promises. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, like, I I don't know if there's, like, a San Francisco podcast festival or something. If there's, like, a Iowa podcast festival, I would fly a to... A Chicago podcast festival? I would fly to Kansas to do a Kansas podcast festival But here's if the, it's just you and I. Here's the cool thing about, like, most podcast festivals, it's just, like, what? They do a live podcast, you know, where it's, like, it's a live show and... You know, and then there's another live show, and then another live show. It's just like a series of podcasts, and that's great. But we will do one that lasts from noon until midnight, or from midnight until noon, or you it's know, up to like you. those are your options. Those are our two options. We'll do either one. No, but it's just like wherever the venue is for the podcast also, festival. What? Also, we're not doing midnight to noon. Why not? We're just not. We might. I'm not going to be up. If if the Hollywood Podcast Festival. Ooh, Hollywood! Now you're talking Ooh, my language. La, la. <laughs> Hooray for Hollywood! Nobody likes it, but they really should. Welcome to the wedding. It's only rhyming. You've got the timing, and now you're a husband and bride. Um, the uh, the thing that's cool about having our podcast at a podcast festival is that you just need to find a, a small little space. For us, where the audience can come and go, cubby. can come and go as they please. Like speaking of, like uh, this is as a, like a public facing one. It can literally be a display window. We've done it before. We can be on display, and your podcast festival. You'll be the ones who did it first. You'll be the ones. It's like we brought JD and Connor to do their twelve-hour podcast. We'll do a fucking thirteen-hour podcast if you want. 
and we'll keep it clean. I know I just said a word that might offend people in certain parts I've of the country. I've sworn a couple times in this episode. Of course we have. We're adults. We're men. We're going to... The language, <laughs> the language is going to get salty. Please let that never be a catchphrase. Um, but I do think... We, we came very close to doing what seemed like a no-brainer of a podcast festival. And I don't even really understand how it fell apart because... Our demands were literally that they not pay us and not and not worry about the money. Well, what it was, I think, was sometimes the uh, the agreement between a podcast festival and its shows that it has on yeah. is that we'll guarantee a certain amount of them. They will bring audience or prestige or something, and we, we are basically have. like. Well, we would have. We would have brought audience. We would have brought prestige. We well, would have, we would have promoted it, well, but we couldn't guarantee that we would have A-list cameo guests. Nor could we guarantee that we could fill a certain amount of seats. There's also a, a price tag being affixed to. People would have had to pay a pretty penny. Yeah, was, to sit in a room and listen to us do this for twelve hours. Yeah, and honestly, what we were saying was, how about you don't pay us and you take that money off of the ticket price? We were trying to. Pass the savings on to the customers. We're basically saying, don't make us a thing that you pay for. Yeah, we'll just be like, make in us the a lobby. bonus. We are added value for your podcast festival. Put us in a public space. We'll be an extra thing. You won't have to pay us. We literally will just need whatever resources it takes to. Yeah, that was the big thing is we're like, we don't, we do not. We add, need but if you have a program. podcast festival that has a budget, we also are willing to be flown somewhere. If there is a podcast festival... You have to pay Connor. That's for sure. If there is a podcast festival in Alaska... Connor oh. gets paid for his performances. I don't get paid to perform, ever. Connor does get paid to perform. I, I pay to play. I pay to play. Um, for free, you can just get me rambling for 12 hours. Yeah. For free, we'll offer this. Which this we've, also, we've, also, we've also shown that if you just have me... Uh-huh. I don't hold up my end of the deal of talking. I just stop. He might have a pizza. And just eat he might have pizza. A, yeah. I'll say this. Our bargain basement deal is you can have six-hour day with J.D. Amato. <laughs> or 12-hour day with J.D. and Connor. Now, six-hour day is fine. There'll be a meal break. <laughs> Which will do, probably be six hours of it. He'll do, he'll do, he'll do the noon to 6 a.m. Uh, shift for six-hour day. For six-hour <laughs> night with J.D. Amato, but it's just sleeping. Yes. Um, yep. You can have 12-hour day with J.D. and Connor or six-hour night with J.D. Amato. <laughs> Those are the two options. One of them you pay for. One of them is free. Um, I don't really care about Hawaii, but if Hawaii has a podcast festival and they would like to fly us out to be headliners or... <laughs> you were about to say, like, what, like the, like, um, guest emeritus? Yeah. Um, anyone in Japan who would like it? We'd go to Japan. I would do it for... I, I would... I would pay for our tickets to go somewhere if it was a small, if it was an affair that literally could not pay, but it was a fun, fun and funny enough experience. Yeah. I would, I would eat the cost for both of us to go. Um, Underground Town, who is Jeff Falzone on Twitter, says serious. Oh wait, really? Yeah. Oh, I may have just outed him. Yeah, that's him. Um, Oh wow! Wow. Serious mood or light and fluffy. Um, um, I think this episode has been more serious, more serious than light and fluffy. Than light and fluffy. I think I, I was just thinking about this recent, not recently, as in right now. I was just thinking this. 
I don't know why I said I seen this recently when I it's a new thought. It's recent. It's uh, as recent it's as it as gets. recent as a thought could get. Um, our podcast, especially recent I would love it if you had a twenty four hour news network and whenever there was breaking news you would just call it recent news. <laughs> recent news. Um, current events is every time. Uh our episodes, especially now that we don't do it every other month, we do it like once or twice a year. Yeah. The arc to them, because we don't really do that many like we don't just do a live bits or one. concepts or things like that where it's like, oh, we're just putting this one oh, out. Oh, here's the hashtag though. Um uh just uh the hashtag is just bits or concepts. What? <laughs> bits or concepts. And capitalize bits and concepts in the hashtag. Why is this the hashtag? Because um, you said we don't really do any bits or concepts, and uh, I don't know. I'm deleting this hashtag. Why not? Because it's too much of a bit. The or hashtag, concept. the hashtag that I'm proposing now is, it is the uh, negation of hashtag bits and concepts. So use that hashtag, and then use my negative hashtag. So now it's just a blank tweet. Um, but what I was gonna say is that the shape of the podcast, where we just are at one of our apartments, usually is. We start sort of, hey, how you doing? Yeah. We sort of get serious, catch up, get the, and then we start getting tired and start getting a little loopier. And then by the end, it's more of a comedy podcast. Like the first eight hours are like us talking about events, Mm -hmm. things, stories, life stuff. And then by the end, we just get a little slap happy. And that's when it turns into a comedy podcast. Yeah. Um, what's a company that they could tweet at? For what, Connor? For a bit or a concept. <laughs> okay. What's a company? Tweet at Shell Oil. Shell Oil. And tweet at them. Make up your mind. Shells or oils? <laughs> Come on. Uh, How, here, I've got one. I've got one. Uh, everybody tweet at Pizza Hut. Uh-oh. No, not Pizza Hut. Everyone tweet... At Pepsi, ask ask them where do I get a Pepsi? I'm thirsty. Because I recently I did a thing I did a show recently where I was celebrating at George Lucas talk show where, at UCB where I was celebrating the 19th anniversary of the oh, Phantom Menace campaign, and I was trying I got KFC KFC sent me a bunch of stuff to give away because. Uh, there was a person there who remembered me from, yeah, like they knew who I was, so they sent me a bunch of free stuff to give away. From our KFC commercial? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Pepsi and Taco Bell and Pizza Hut, uh, none of them, they all ignored me. Great, which they should absolutely have done. Why? Because why? I made it clear that all I was doing was promoting their brands, and they, I even said to them, I'm not trying to Sasha Baron Cohen you, this isn't an ambush. I'm just doing a comedy show and I'm going to promote your brands. That's like, Connor, by invoking those names. And I made it clear that I was spending my own money buying old KFC buckets, old Pizza Hut boxes. I was buying all these things to give away from the 1999 Star Wars campaign for my show. And so I started, then I started tweeting from a separate Twitter account that wasn't connected to me. A ghost account? Yeah. And Pizza Hut tweeted back within a minute. Uh, and I would tweet things like, um, Hey, Pepsi, I'm thirsty. What should I drink? Now, Pepsi, if 
you tweet it, someone tweets you, I'm thirsty, what should I drink? Play along, say, how about a nice Pepsi? If you tweet at Taco Bell and you say, I'm hungry, what should I have for lunch? Respond to that tweet. There's, especially if you check out the Twitter and you find out it's not from like some hate group or something. You can feel free to interact. You're not going to get in trouble. This is why you should all get off social media. Why? Because of the math of all of this. And like I was tweeting at Pepsi stuff like, oh, Pepsi, you're so fine. God, you're so fine. Is, you blow my mind spend, Pepsi. You're spending time of your life. Precious time of your life. I have the time of my life. <laughs> but, so... What are you doing, Connor? And, but I was really offended by the fact that I know Pizza Hut was seeing my tweets. You're offended by... I was offended by it. Um, it's just like you being offended. Because, because their whole job is to be... Knocking on the glass <laughs> of a Pizza Hut. Look at me. Look at me. Their and they're like, job. no, I'm doing you're my the, job. You're a social media No, your job is to look at me. No, you're, you're just, your job is to pay attention to me. If somebody tweets at Pepsi and says they like Pepsi, tweet back and say, great. You're like the fucking people that go to like, like Cold Stone and put like a dollar in the thing. You're like, you're supposed to dance now. You are supposed to sing a song. Sing me a song. If you are the Twitter for Pepsi and someone tweets to you, I'm thirsty, should I get a Pepsi? The least you could do is tweet back yes. No, the least you could do is not tweet anything, which is what they did. The least you could do while being responsible for the brand that you're supposed to be promoting. Connor, this is a dark time. It's irresponsible. This is a dark timeline that you are... If you are the brand manager for Pepsi, do you think it's your responsibility? You, you run Pepsi's Twitter. I don't think that... You're, person, no, I, listen to me. No, I mean it. I don't think Pepsi's Twitter is also the brand manager of Pepsi. No, if you're the social media person... <laughs> they're different people. If you're the social media person for Pepsi, uh-huh. do you think it's your job to ignore people who tweet at Pepsi? No, do you think it's your job to respond to every person who asks what they should drink today? It's a benign tweet. So, not Respond responding is a benign it. response. Right, here, let's let's see what Pepsi has tweeted at today. Let's let's get an idea of what the Pepsi Twitter. Don't look at me like per, I'm defending Pepsi. You I think are all, in a way you are. But I just I think, think it's all in. What's wrong with people doing their job well? That's not. So what let's you're look asking. and see. What okay, you're if, asking is you want attention. Okay, <laughs> that's what no, you want. Five hours ago, your problem is that you're not giving you attention. Five hours ago, listen. Which is the problem with all social media. Five hours ago, you're mad at Pepsi because they're not giving you attention. The brand Pepsi that you have no interest in. Listen to me. You already expressed that Coke would be the drink that you would want. Yeah, you know why? Because I bet if I tweeted, I bet I tweeted Coca-Cola right now, I'd get a response. I bet the, they wouldn't. Hold on. Uh, we're gonna do, we're gonna test this, but here, look. Someone this is the says the real Pepsi challenge. Someone says, the "Am the real I the Pepsi challenge? <laughs> am I the only one who actually likes Pepsi Cherry?" Yo, Pepsi, sponsor me and send me free soda. Someone else says, "Don't listen to him, sponsor me." This guy says, "Get out of here, you don't even like Pepsi." <laughs> this person says, "I live for Pepsi," and then Pepsi responded with three smiling emojis with hearts for eyes. You're telling me that that person couldn't respond to. Oh, Pepsi, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Pepsi. No, because that Pepsi. Hey, Pepsi. That person's watching two humans squabble as if it's like the apocalypse and there's a chicken bone on the ground that they're fighting over. And Pepsi's like, I better step in and give them some emojis so they stop fighting about who's not actually going to get this free sponsorship from Pepsi. I'm going to tweet at them from Star Wars Bear. Oh, God. The fact that this is, this is everything. This is why. No, I'm going to go ahead and you're tweet. Ca- you're caught in the void. I'm going to tweet at it from... Um, the jaws of the void have enveloped you. 
I'm going to tweet at Coca-Cola. tweeting from a fictional account? No, I'm going to tweet that from mine. I'm gonna tweet, Star Wars What should I tweet at Coca-Cola? You have to write the th- same thing to both of them. Uh, give me attention. doesn't work. Op- give me attention. <laughs> give me attention at both of them. No, not give me attention. I'm going to say, uh, please say hello to me. <laughs> I really need it. So I can have a cola. Wait, what is that? <laughs> so I'm going to tweet to Coca-Cola, please say hello to me so I can have a cola. This sounds like you're a sick person <laughs> who has some sort of... How about just please say hello to me if you do, I will buy a Coke. <laughs> it's like a hostage. It's the mildest hostage. No, you can't threaten them. What? What do I say? No, no, no. This has please to be... say hello to me. <laughs> my, fr- my friend... I'll please, just be honest. Please, please say hello to me. I need this right now. Uh, no. Please say hello to me. My friend, can I tag you? You still have an, a, a Twitter that will be allow tags? What? No. It's private, but I can still tag you. Don't tag me. I'm not on Twitter. What do you care? Don't tag you. I'm going to tag you all I want. No. Twitter doesn't mean anything to you. It's a locked account. It has a little padlock next to your name. Fine, then I'm going to go to the Library of Congress and spray paint your... <laughs> name on the wall. That's not equivalent, and you know it. Yes, don't use me as my. Fr- okay, I'll, I won't collateral. tell you. My friend, JD, <laughs> thinks you won't respond. Yes. See, now they're all going to respond. But I believe in you. But I believe you will. Okay. Full disclosure. How long are tweets these days? I am sending a similar tweet to Pepsi. But I bet you respond first. I bet you respond and they don't. I have recently purchased a Coca-Cola. <laughs> Can tweets be endless now? You keep adding these addendums. I like how this is like... Yours truly. (laughs) I also like how you saying you recently purchased a Coke is like when someone goes like the Delta Sky Miles Club and it's like, listen, I recently bought a ticket and I would just like to to use your internet. May I please, please be inside your club? All right. Please say hello to me. My friend JD thinks you won't respond, but I believe you will. Full disclosure, I am sending a similar tweet to Pepsi, but I bet you respond and they don't. I've recently purchased a Coca-Cola. <laughs> this is so long. And Twitter s- is And changed. spoke about it on our podcast. Connor, this is so many words. Uh, leave I'm the podcast to... out of it. Leave the podcast out of it. I ran out of letters anyway. The podcast cheapens it. All right, then copy okay. and paste it and send that same thing to Pepsi. And my, I don't even know what we're arguing about at this point, but my opinion is that neither of them have to respond and is with, well within their right not to respond. And I think them not responding to this is as equal to them not responding to you Begging for them to give merchandise from 20 years ago. I know I said you could send anything. Okay. 
Wait, so please say hello to me. My friend JD thinks you won't respond. I, I actually don't think Pets will respond, so I'm going to be honest. I'm going to change it and say... And I have a feeling he's right. <laughs> Full disclosure, I have sent a similar tweet to Coca-Cola. Also, I recently purchased some small cans of Pepsi made with real cane sugar. Yours truly, Connor Ratliff. We'll see. All right, so the tweets have been sent, and all is well. So now we wait. Yeah, and there's a good, um, I think we have one more question here. Oh, a few more have come up. Hold on. Um, just, uh, let me see. Uh, for both of you, this is Liz Arcury. Says, what was the last question? Serious, smooth, or light, and fluffy. All right. For both of you, if you could play any role in any Broadway musical revival, what would it be? I have an answer, and it's, I have... An answer part one, an answer part two. I have a, a dead serious, I want it to happen, and then I have one that's kind of like, oh, it'd be nice, but I don't think it would happen. Well, I played action in the West, the, my eighth grade, or eighth grade performance of West Side Story, and that's the only play I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I think <coughs> I'd have to do that again. You'd like to reprise that role? I'd role. like to reprise that role, because I, I might know some of the lines still, yeah. and the song wasn't so hard. Do you remember any of it? Was that I have a cool? recording of it. Can we hear it on the podcast? Oh, it's bad. I'm, I, boy, can I not sing now? Oh, boy, oh, boy, could I not sing when I was going through puberty? I wonder if there's a... But it would be an exclusive. Um, I think so. My... One that's kind of like a fun fantasy is Harold Hill and the Music Man. I really like that part. Um, I like the... I like that it's like a character lead. I like that all of the... You found it? Oh, so quick. It's like in the movies. Enhance. Well, because I have this folder where I keep... Is this a video or an audio? It's a video. Okay. Um, wait. What you're going to say? You're Music Man. Harold Hill. Harold Hill. You know that? Yeah, you'd be great in that role. Just because I really like Trouble in uh, River City. I think like, I could sing those parts and stuff. Um, but the one I would really, really like to I do legitimately... I, I wish I could sing. You ever tried lessons? No, I've thought about it. It'd be a fun thing to try. I've thought about it, and I just haven't known who to go to or what to do, and then my own subconsciousness has gotten in the way. Yeah. But I, I it would be, it would be great to be able to sing. I bet you could. I bet you just, I bet you could, tweet at us if you know of a way to get good singing lessons for JD in New York City. It has to be a stranger. Yeah, it couldn't be like Casey or someone. No, that would stress me out. Yeah. Because I have to be able to be so bad at it. And yeah. walk away and be like, well. You don't strike me as someone who would be like embarrassed by it in trying to no, do I it. No, I would go for it. Yeah. But I'd want to be able to walk away and be like, well, that was awful and not feel like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, let's, let's hear this world premiere. What, what year is this? Oh, boy. 
Uh, Does it stay cool? This is 2002? Mm -hmm. 2001? No. I played Action. His big song is Officer Krupke. I thought that, oh, that's the Russ Tamblin part. Yeah. His name's Action? Yeah, I think so. I thought he had a different name. Let's look it up. Krupke's not Safari. I never want to use Fasari. Fasari. I never want to use Fasari. Let's play this song. It's so bad. This is a musical world premiere. I like how everyone's mimicking your body language. That guy yeah. behind is like using your body language. And also, look at how like none of there's no clothes that can fit someone built like that Jack Skellington seventh grader. That's a cop. No, he's another. The song is like all jets playing parts. Oh, I thought he was actually saying it to the cop in it. No, the cop comes at the end. This was like a kid that could always do a backflip. Yeah. You know those kids growing yeah. up who was like, Kid always does backflips. He can't quite find a note there.
kid was like a year younger and was like, I think sort of a quiet, shy kid. <laughs> so the fact that he's like sort of funny. Yeah. It's one of those things when you're a kid, you're like, cool, this kid's doing something. Yeah. about it is watching the kind of like the sort of awkward like casual nature of everyone's body language it's yeah. all kind of like uh everyone's sort of hanging out a little bit and the and everyone's like a little bit loose and a little bit tight at the same time in the way they carry themselves yeah it's just like the awkwardness of the age i think you know well, what's funny is it's like that's an age where like in your day-to-day -day life you don't know how to carry yourself, yeah. let alone when you're putting on a character. Yeah. So like everybody, like you can tell everybody's like way too aware of like right. what their body is doing and how it's not working. Creates we lost your mic. Really? Yeah. How long ago? No idea. It's low battery. Um. Wait, so you got, you have to hold on while, uh, crap. We've got troubles of our own. <laughs> G Officer Krupke. Remember when we first started, there was someone that was like, oh, I can make you something that'll alert you when your thing runs out of batteries. But. All right, Connor, test. Test, test, test. You're back, baby back um i hope we didn't lose too much but i think i would have been picked up on your mic for most of the yes recent activities um but uh so assassins assassins it would be the play then the role would be charles guichot who is um he tried to kill garfield uh president garfield right and he um Let me see if. Um... Uh, can I admit this? Is that? Uh... Are you? Were you looking up? I'm looking up the. He has a song here, and I think if you hear this, is from the original production, uh, original cast recording of Assassins. I am going to the Lordy. He's about to be hung. I am so glad. I am going to the Lordy. I am so glad I am going to the Lordy Glory, hallelujah Glory, hallelujah I am going to the Lordy Yeah, you could do this Come all ye Christians and learn from and this the is sinner like the narrator. Charlie Gateau Bound and determined he'd wind up a winner. Charlie had dreams that he wouldn't let go. 
Said nothing to it, I want it, I'll do it, I'm Charles J. Gato. Charlie Gato never said never or heard the word no. Faced with disaster, his heart would beat faster, his smile would just grow. And he'd say, and This is the part that I think I would be able to do pretty well. He was great at that. Yeah, and it's just like it's a fun like back and forth. Oh, like said never sorrow, just wait till tomorrow. Today isn't fair. Don't despair. Look on the bright side, look on the bright side, sit on the right side. Yeah, it's just like a really fun part. I have unified my party. I have saved my country. I shall be remembered. I am going to the Lord. Look on the bright side, not on the sad side. Inside the bad side, something's good. This is your golden opportunity. You've been a preacher. Yes, I have. Yeah, I mean, like, this musical is so good, and it's so, like, so funny and so sad, and it's, like, such a great idea because it is just, like, we know a little bit about a couple of the big people, but it's, like, such a good, um, like, they give, like, every assassin in the show, like, gets their moment. Like, like Booth has this great ballad at the beginning that's, like, really, like, spine-tinglingly good. Uh, but it really emphasizes that it's like he's this like failed actor and like everybody like there's these scenes like he doesn't have a song but like Sam Bick the guy who tried to like hijack a plane and right. uh, uh, kill Nixon he has like all these scenes where he's like making these tapes to send to like uh, Leonard Bernstein and it just like it, it, there's all these like weird specifics about like how like how fucked up it is that this country keeps producing people who think like, I know what I'll do. I'll kill the president and that will somehow like right. solve this problem. Yeah. And there's like a there's like a duet between uh Squeaky From and uh John Hinckley where they're sing- called um uh um uh oh, what's that song called? Um Oh I can't I'm blanking on the title of it, but it's the um Unworthy of Your Love. It's this like seventies like like soft rock ballad. Right. And it's like, 
uh, it's her singing to Charles Manson, I'm unworthy of your love. And it's Hinckley singing to Jodie Foster, I'm unworthy of your love. And like, she tried to kill Gerald Ford and he tried to right. kill Ronald Reagan. And it's such a like, the whole play is like so crazy and funny and scary. And uh, I know there's a point where when Anthony King was like seriously considering like trying to put together like when he was the artistic director of UCB, like, I wonder if we could like get a production of this together using like the talent pool. I thought of... about that when I was at UCB. I was like, it'd be so fun to put on just a play. Yeah. Um, here's some <coughs> uh, songs that I listen to from time to time. And yeah. Certain theater heads, I imagine like Casey and other people like that that, I, that may be listening, might roll their eyes because these might be uncivilized choices. But I remember uh, BSJ once wrote me, um, we had an email thread where I think I was giving him tips for do- great documentaries. Yeah. And he was giving me um, recommendations for musicals and soundtracks and what I should listen to. And so it's like, I listen, West Side Story, I think I know all of it by heart the, from the movie. I think yeah. I have everything. Um, Hugh Jackman doing Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Have you ever seen it? I haven't. Oh my God! Great. I thought he was so good. Yeah. It like. He's great. It. Bl- have you ever seen any of it? No. Uh, I'll see. I mean, I've seen it alone, but I just haven't seen that version of it. Oh shit! That was a good catch. Um, so, uh, they have a great performances on PBS, mm-hmm. which is just like plays that they yeah. show tapes of, and I actually got like a, you know, whatever you call it, like a season pass or whatever to it yeah because one Sunday I just came upon midway through his 1999 performance of Oklahoma mm-hmm. and I sat there just like totally like bowled over by the whole thing let's see if I still have it oh I might not I might have gotten rid of it it's recently deleted recordings go back I bet it's not recent though yeah it's resolved track meets and other things Ah, it's probably online. You can see what I record. Um, I want you to see just a second of it. Yeah. Because, you know, everyone always like, oh, Hugh Jackman, he's a song and dance man. And mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I guess so. In so much as, like, there's a lot of people that, like, yeah. claim to be that. He was so good. Um, and I'd never seen Oklahoma, which was also the first... This is not it. This is a commercial for Venom tied in with eBay. It says that if a movie is in theaters, you can also find things on eBay related to it, including a little toy popcorn machine ornament. Actually, you know what? What? I'm going to see if they have an HD dog. HD. This looks like the whole thing. What's the quality? Smart Alecky. Well, I'd marry you. Get you to sit around at night and sing with me. Genuine leather with us 
He's just like so good in it. Yeah. And I also love the way they shot it. Yeah. It's like with film and it feels tactile. Yeah. He's got like a good voice. Yeah. He's great. terrific i also really like the way like even the way they filmed that where like they cut to a shot where it's from the point of view of the porch and you have like a little bit of foreregrounding of that makes it feel like they're not filming a stage play anymore you know just a little bit of like depth of focus that feels right exactly but that was interesting because i i had never seen oklahoma so i just sat there and watched the whole thing yeah um so I watched this a ton of times. Yeah. I've also watched, this is embarrassing because it's not, I'm sure it's not good, but for some reason the energy is there is the Oscar performance of the Les Mis cast. I'm sure it is good. But it's like all these performers together doing this like yeah. big thing. You can tell they probably didn't have many times to rehearse. Right. Just sort of everyone going for it in front of the Academy Awards audience who's mm-hmm. like a bunch of celebrities and they're out there just like singing. Doing yeah. their thing. It's sort of cool. Um, also, from that version of Les Mis, just I, whatever the song is, I Dream to Dream. Yeah. That song is just, I mean, I think any great singer singing it is amazing, but it's such a, what a song. Yeah. I went through a phase, uh, <clears throat> probably in like junior high school, where like I was kind of obsessed with Les Mis, and I was like, oh, this is like this big. Right. Uh, there was a line that I used to always imitate from the soundtrack to it. Um, it's where it's early on in Les Mis where like the mayor comes in. I was just amused by the way the this actor, this particular actor on the cast recording, enunciated his words. Uh, where the guy comes out and goes, "What is this shouting all about? Will someone tear these two apart? This is a factory, not a circus." And it was just like there was something so funny to me about the way he like chewed through those words. Right. Someone tear these two apart. This is a factory, not a circus. Right. And it's just like, I love the way certain voices, uh, like, right. you hear some singers and they're like, oh, this guy loves the way his voice tastes. Right. Or in that, that's the song that they have, it's part of the medley that did in the Oscars. It's like, there is that line that is like, da 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 And it's like, you that, that yeah. sing the words with this. Have you ever seen the deleted song from Waiting for Guffman? No. I think this is a, it's a fascinating, uh, it's great, but here's the amazing thing about it is, so in the movie, the final number of the musical is the Nothing Ever Happens on Mars, which is, I remember that making me laugh so hard that that was where the musical ends. Right. This is a scene from Waiting for Guffman that was deleted, and it is like when you watch it, you like, the choice to delete this scene was like, 
because it's too long. Right. But it's like it must have felt like cutting the heart of the. It must have felt like that when he reached the point where he's like, we have to cut this number. It must have felt like, but that's the reason we did the movie. Right. And oh, I can't wait to see. Uh, it's. He's already standing like it's like the Oklahoma. Yeah. It's but when you're, it really feels like. I have so much respect for like the decision to be like we have to cut it because right. it works better without it. But it is like such a an amazing. When is the rain gonna stop, Mama? Don't wreck me, no, child. It's been raining for twenty-eight straight days. The Lord moves in mysterious ways, but there's always a reason for what He does. The rain makes me sad, Mama. Does it make you sad too? I just wish it would stop. That's all. Me too. Do you see the river, Mama? Yes, I see it. It used to be so pretty, all clean and sparkling like, and now it just looks angry. Don't you think the river looks angry, Mama? Hush, child. So free to let it 
This is great. I can't go on, Pa. You gotta go on, son. You think a couple of these bags are gonna stop that big brown monster? I don't know, son. I don't rightfully know. But I do know this. If we don't at least try, we don't deserve to call ourselves men. Don't you understand, son? A true man don't give up without a fight. That wouldn't be right, Pa. I don't know if we're gonna get through this or not, son. But if we don't, I just wanna say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you too, Pa. You taught me how to be a man. How to pitch a bale of hay. How to wrestle a steer to the ground and apply a fiery brand to his hindquarters and... Yes, you taught me how to love a woman. How she can find comfort in your strong arms. And how the gentle fragrance of her hair can drive a man wild. Ha-ha! You are a man, Jimmy! Ain't no question about that! Ain't no question at all! We might not be too important In the grand old heavenly scheme And when the sky's full of portent We say then let the water come Cause you can't drown a dream Yeah, I mean, that's great. It's, and you can see like that to cut that after doing it. It's like, but that's our big musical number. Like right. that's, that's like a genuine achievement to, to do like a seven minute thing that is like, it's almost a real thing. Like right. it's so like the melody. It's so close. It's so close, and the details in it are. And you just, get that feeling of like frisson from it still. Yeah, it, it, and. I also think one of the great jokes in Waiting for Guffman is the fact that the orchestra is world-class. Yeah. That, like, for everything, it's, it's sort of, like, unremarked upon, because that's one of the things that makes it enjoyable as a movie to watch, is that somehow, like, Bob Balaban's character has, like, put together in Blaine, like, right. a world-class orchestra. Any of the, of the amateur aspects of it is just the cast, whereas they've got, like, the timpani drums and, right. the, like, all the detail of that orchestra is, like... <laughs> It's, it's, Far exceeds the detail of any other aspect of the play. Yeah. Um, but, like, that, that movie really is, like, from, from... You know, there's there's that thing of, like, you don't always know, like, what editing choices, right. like, make or break a movie. But, like, Waiting for Guffman is one of those things where when you look at the deleted scenes of it, you see that it's like, oh, like, this movie that everybody loves, like... 
if you keep that number in the movie, it's it makes the movie long. Right. Like it's it's a long thing that uh, it must have felt weird to cut it out and have it end on nothing ever happens on Mars. Right. But that's the finale of the play. Now it must have felt like we can't we can't do that. One of those notes that you're like this can't this like this might have been the thing that they first imagined. Yeah. That made them want to make the movie in the first place. Yes. It's also like as someone from Missouri, there is something very precise about doing a, a musical where it's talking about a flood because it is the right. type of thing that every now and then there is just like a massive flood that like uh, destroys everything. Um, Here's another um, uh, skid row from the movie version of Little Shop of Horrors. I'll what? watch that from time to time. Oh, an just, alternate? What's that? An alternate? No, just the Oh, one that's, that's one that, the yeah, yeah. Oh, I love Little Shop of Horrors. I'm just saying like another yeah. thing that the other musicals that I'll just listen to, yeah. I'll just go and find. Yeah. Um, the other thing in Waiting for Guffman is if you look at the deleted scenes, <coughs> the endings of all of the plot lines for the characters are much harsher in the all in the deleted scenes. Like they're funny, and you for can, what Little Shop of Horrors? No, no, for Waiting for Guffman. Oh, got it. That like you see like uh, Fred Willard and Catherine Harris characters. They've moved to L.A. and they live. In like not a great area, like it seems like they the whole thing is like they have a yard, but it looks like it's kind of like a shitty small yard. Right. And Fred Willard's whole thing is like it's actually great because you can you you don't even need a car here. You take it starts naming the buses that you take right. where you can get a transfer, and then it's down the and it's like a description of like a nightmare bus right. commute. And Catherine Hare's character is like catatonically depressed. Right. And you watch that and you're like, ugh, I don't. I like those characters. I don't. Right. It's it's funny in a dark way, but it is like it makes it would have made the movie feel shitty because it would have felt like, well, we're like, we're taking these characters, we're making you like them for ninety minutes, and then we're shitting on your affection for these characters. Yeah. Similarly, Eugene Levy's character, like in because in the in the in the release version, it's them and they're in they're like extras in a commercial, but they're like a little annoyed at how they're being treated, but they're kind of like we're working actors. Right. You know, we're out here in Hollywood. We're making a go of it. Whereas the other one, it's like, oh, they're so unhappy there. For Eugene Levy's character, which in the mo- in the release version, he's down in Florida performing in like a nursing home. But the thing that they they cut in the deleted scenes is the revelation that he has left his wife and family to pursue his dream. Oh no! And like you see all those shots of like his wife looking at him while yeah. he sings that solo, and she's like, she can't believe how wonderful it is. Yeah, and it's funny like I do think it is funny the idea that it's like you know I had to leave my wife and family obviously to pursue my dream and then you see him like doing like these like Yiddish songs in right. a, in a uh, nursing home in Florida but it's like no it's too harsh it's too Dark, mean yeah. and it is like it's already funny that he thinks this is show business the idea that that character that we like the local dentist left his wife and child and that's where he's at is just like this movie, like, this movie is suddenly, it's just like all of those cuts are like, they would have been hard cuts because you can't deny, like, well, it's funny what we did, and this part's funny, and that song's good, but it's the difference between, like, yeah, I like that movie, it's a little long, and I was kind of bummed out at the end of it. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I thought you were talking about, Little Shop of Horrors, originally. Yeah. Talked about another movie that yes. had a long ending that is a bummer. I just saw that ending when they re-released the theatrical version of it. And I know that it's, like, impressive. And I know that it's closer to the original. Yeah. 
and it feels like sacrilege to say it, but like for that movie, I like the version that came out in theaters where it kind of implies there's going to be more trouble, but it like gives you that little pause of like they live, they get their house. Yeah, at least Seymour got his victory. You still see that there's one of these plants. So you're like, well, there's going to be more mayhem. Right. But for now, let's just like because yeah. I like to think that at the end of that, it's like they're happy for a while, but then these plants probably do take over the world eventually. Right. But there's something about seeing it that, like, on the one hand, it's impressive. On the other hand, it's way too long. Yeah. Like, that ending goes on a ways. Um, <clears throat> and there's also just something about it that's like... Well, it's like the villain wins and is, like, rubbing your face in it for ten minutes. Yeah. And it's like, well, we paid for all this. Right. Um, we're going to show you it. Yeah. But, man, I love that movie, though. Um. So while we're doing that, yeah. Justin McElroy texted inquiring if we're doing recording the, the podcast, uh-huh. and he wanted to pitch something. He said, I was actually thinking about an edgy rebrand called Dozen Hour Day, or what he thinks should be called the DHD. Yeah. So I mean, he wants to us it. to try it out of like maybe if we rebrand to Dozen Hour Day, DHD. Um. Let me uh, let me find us without listening to it, uh, without without testing out in advance. Um, let me see if I can find something. Or you should tweet out from our account. Dozen hour day, hashtag, slash DHD question mark. Um, see how fans how see how the fans respond. I'm trying to find a. This is the underscore. No, I was just trying to find a. Um... Just put in some. Try this. You keep not finishing the sentence. I don't know what it is. You're listening to Dozen Hour Day with JD and Connor. Wait, I'm going to start it out here. Let me try one. What's up, spook? (laughs) (laughs) Now it's changed. We can go back to the beginning of that. We got plenty of. That freaked me out. What up, spook freaks? You listen to Dozen Hour Day, the scariest, edgiest podcast on this side of the what? River Sticks. Dozen Hour Day with JD and Connor. Buckle up, knuckleheads. <laughs> Dozen Hour Day. You want to live? Let's go. <laughs> What up, Connor? Dozen Hour Day. This episode is sponsored by Quick Fix, your way to get high super quick. And TurboTax. Do your taxes on time, assholes. And Power Pounders, your number one source for sex toys on the cheap. And the BK, Burger King, home of the what? Whopper. Connor, what's our tip of the top? Tip of the top today, JD. It's Arbor Day. Burn down a tree. 
<laughs> I like it. It's pretty good. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, actually, you know what I was listening to recently? What? I, uh, as a, I'm running this thing that stylistically, I'm using this as reference, but I keep listening to the uh, Tangerine Dream Legend soundtrack, uh -huh. which is one of my favorite yeah. things to go. Because just now, I was like, oh, maybe I'll bring up a fantasy thing. That's what I thought of. But still, the soundtrack, I actually am okay with most of Tangerine Dream. Yeah. But the moment those lyrics come in, yeah. it's still wild. It's been a long time since I've seen it. The movie? Yeah. It's good. It still works. If you it's... watch the <coughs> version that's not been totally chopped up. Uh-huh. I should see it again. Yeah, right? You're right. Tweet out, tweet out to the... Tweet out to what? The fam, fans. See what they think about a rebrand. I'll do a poll. Yeah. What do I say? Um... 12 hour day make 12 hour day edgier rebrand as wait I've got two choices okay for fun 12 hour day like usual stay the same rebrand as dozen hour day in parentheses edgier Uh, do you want to get dinner from somewhere? Yeah. What are you in the mood for, dinner-wise? Uh, I don't know. I'm not that hungry, especially. What do you think? I'm hungo. Where would you go normally? If I was going to order something right now, I'd probably order sushi. It's the mood I'm in. But I know that's the last thing you'd ever want to eat. There's also... <sighs> Good Thai place. Get whatever you want to get. I'm not really that hungry. You don't want you don't want anything? Um I wouldn't mind taking a quick walk to a place that has a few groceries. Alright. Let's do this. I'm gonna order my dinner for pickup. Any other questions coming in from the... Um, there were a couple. Let me look to see. DV, DVT Rich D at DVT hey. Live says, Why, dear God in heaven, why? That's Rich from La uh, Gethard Show. Uh, La Laughter Key, Sarah Davis says, Is it raining? I don't think it is. I don't think so. Um, Paul at Tired Paul says, What's your earliest memory? I used to think it was... Theatrical release of Star Wars uh, in 1978, and specifically the Pink Panther cartoon in front of it. But I now think I might have an earlier memory of being in the crib uh, and waking up and being able to stand up in the crib and being like, where is everybody? Yeah, I have a memory, and I don't know if it's a real memory, like a screen memory, of me being passed around a group of women in the living room 
at my home in Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. But I have this image, and I haven't really seen photos of that house, so, but the details that I remember match up. So I think that's my earliest memory, me as a baby being passed around. But then I don't have many more images and memories until Atlanta. Um, the uh, Paul at Tire Paul says, "Why do you think that flat earthers are becoming a thing?" And he also asks, "What meal do you make well?" Um, I think flat earthers are becoming a thing because I think people are the same type of people who feel powerless and then took it out on the world via Trump mm -hmm. I think it's the same thing where um, people feel like they're being told and being given a rubric by which they're supposed to live that doesn't make sense to them and mm -hmm. doesn't match up with their life and so there's some psychological comfort in perhaps imagine that the whole system is wrong and incorrect yeah. and that everything is you know it's like the same it's the same I almost feel like it is the um, not to stereotype well I'm going to stereotype it's like I feel like a just as sort of ridiculous but it's the maybe like less educated version of everyone that's like we're in a simulation this whole thing's a simulation <coughs> where it's this feeling of maybe maybe it's like a psychological right. projection of the feeling of not being in control yeah. and the feeling of not only am I not in control but the things that I think to be true aren't true and so yeah. it helps to balance out a lot of the other day-to-day -day insecurities that don't match up mm -hmm. and I think flat earth is just one of those things where for whatever reason, it just caught on zeitgeist-wise, and it could have been, you name it, any sort of, sort of ridiculous thing that clearly is just a way to undercut. I think it's also, reality. also just possible that the Earth is flat and they're just onto it. You know, right? I didn't like, want to bring this up on the podcast. Connor is. Well, I, a flat earther. I'm not. No, I'm. Connor's, I'm open to it. I've never seen. I've never seen definitive proof. We don't... I mean, do we know? I mean, is there any room for doubt? Or can a person ask questions? Or is that not allowed? All right, Connor, you have to leave. Since when are questions the problem? Connor's a flat earther in a triangular sky. The sky is a triangle. You can see. Look up. You can see three points. All, any three points are a triangle. True or not true? True. One, two, three. Triangle. 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 It's just a triangle that's so big you can't see the edges. It's so big. Um. Um, I should look at my list because I got so many things. Of what? To talk about. Yeah. 
Justin was the one. That was a funny thing from this past year. That's what? So, uh, Justin was asked by several publications the best podcast of the year. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like he single-handedly was the reason we made it onto a bunch of best of the year. There's other people that put us on best of the year lists, but he did it in a couple places for best podcast of the year, even though we only released one episode last year. So far, 93% say 12-hour days stay the same. Got it. 15 votes, 23 hours left. 7% saying rebrand is dozen hour day. Wow. Not looking good for this new initiative. Oof, that's embarrassing. That's an embarrassing failure. Um, should I? Hmm. Would I? Should I put it in the case? Or just put it in a tote bag, baby. Baby, put it in a tote bag. Whoops. Connor, these are expensive lobs. Yeah? Yeah. How much do you think a lob costs? Dollar. Higher. $2. Higher still. $100. Still higher. $200. Still higher. $400. Still higher. $4,000. Lower. Ha. Huh. $800. Higher. $900. Higher. 1000 Yeah, around 1000 Wow, I didn't know that. I definitely wouldn't have let it dangle like I just said. They're fine. I they're, they're, uh... I just forgot that I was not in my pocket. No, I just think it's, I always think it's surprising how much... How, how much they are, given that you could probably buy a phone that would probably do yeah, a do lot of the same things, the same right? Thing. For probably like a thousand dollars, you have to buy two phones. Yeah, but it could do other things. Like I the, can't play game. I can't play games, games on, on this slot. Yeah. Dun, 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 um, I'm finding a tote bag. Did you order food? Or are we going to? I ordered food for myself to yes. pick up. Then we're going to take a quick... So it's basically like, as we go to pick it up, we can also go to your grocery store. Gotcha. Sounds that way I can have my sushi. And eat it too. Exactly. All right. Ooh, I'll do this tote bag. Dun, 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 dun. I, um... I discovered... Wait, pause for two seconds. Yeah. Okay, here we are. You back? Yeah. JD just unplugged the thing. We lost about two seconds. I don't know how you're supposed to do it. Not like that. Change it from plugged into mobile. Oh, I don't know. So we're going mobile? Yeah, dog. All right. What, we're going to stay plugged in and walk to the grocery store? Connor, what are you, a dummo? Yeah. I didn't want to tell you, but I'm a dummo. Oh, no. Um, the uh, So you know those... Christmas ornaments that I put on my tree that are like all from when I was a little kid. Yes. And then last year, as a result of my uh, Porky Pig tweeting, I started getting fixated, as you remember, on like buying like some vintage kind of Porky Pig right. merch. And one of the things I found was that last year was a Christmas ornament from roughly the same vintage. So it kind of has the same... There was a style in the 1970s of ceramic, like merchandised... Um, Ornaments where they were like, they had their own look and they were a little bit off model. Like, like a, I feel like a modern ornament would look closer to what a drawing would look like in some right. ways, but it would also not be great because there's like, there's like a way that the characters looked in the cartoons 
versus the way they're drawn in, in like on a DVD case cover yes, or, yes. or any. You know, I, I don't have a good way of describing that, but like you know how like when you see the Warner Brothers characters drawn on anything, it doesn't give you the same feeling as how they looked in the cartoons. It always looks a little bit like they've been adapted for marketing purposes. Yes, definitely. And I wish I had a better way of expressing that, but it's almost just like look at any like. Well, they 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 close all their lines. So yeah. when you're animating, you have a lot of open lines and a lot of things that aren't solid. And when you're drawing a thing, they're like, no, we got to get all the creases, all the things, all the details. Yeah, it looks a little bit, everything looks a little bit airbrushed in a weird way. And, uh, and I don't like it. But yeah, I don't the, like it. But the, the ornaments in the 70s were like, they were sort of like making them look the best they could for the medium of like the ceramic ornament. And so they kind of are a little off model, but it's charming. Right. And so I, I got this Porky Pig one last year and then I realized in just like eBay browsing that there was a whole line of these Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies, like Christmas ornaments. And I don't have any associations with them from childhood, but they do weirdly like evoke the same sort of like warm feeling. Right. Because they're they're like the same style as the ones that I have associations with. Right. Um, so I've been gradually like ordering a few here and there to try and like, it, it's a, it's a funny thing because it's kind of like they're, they're old, but they're new and they're new to me, but they feel familiar and they're in keep. It's not like buying a bunch of new ornaments at like Hallmark now or something. It feels like, Oh, it's in keeping with like the overall theme of my tree that I put up. Right. Um, do you feel like that is something you're going to continue to collect? I mean, to a point, you know, like, um, what is the point? What is the, at what point do you draw the line? I mean, I don't know that there's, let's hide our, uh, cables. Not because we're doing anything Alyssa, but I think just so no one asks us any questions. Yeah. Like at the grocery store? Yeah. Just yeah. so no one feels like, uh-oh, we're being... Pranked. Sasha Baron Cohen style. Yeah, we're being totally uh, prankoed. James Pranko. That's your character? Yeah. Did you make this little guy? Uh, no. That's from a uh, person in Prague. You're watching Person in Prague. Dude. Already in progress. Already in Prague. Right. I should have just something, <coughs> huh? Okay. I think I did it. I did it. I think I did it, Connor. I think I put it all into a bag. Julia Shunda. Let's do it. It says, Dozen Heads just invokes a weird image, and I came to love your podcast this 12-hour day. It's now 85 to 15, so the vote is tightening, but just barely. Oh, wow. I'm not worried. I'm in the hallway. JD's still in the apartment. This is a part of the podcast where we are in separate spaces. Uh, I'm in I'm here. I'm outside. Well, now I'm indoors and Connor's outdoors. Okay. So this is definitely oh, part of the podcast. Or it's hard to places. open. Uh, it's not that hard to open. Connor's now I'm outside. Realize. JD's inside. That's the way we do it. 
It is the way we do. Uh oh. I'm losing Connor. I'm gonna I'm gonna wander out to the sidewalk. Leave JD in the building. Well he's Oh wait, I might be out of See, transmitter he just figured range. it out. Maybe I'm out of transmitter range. Am I? No, you're not. What? You're not. I was still in transmitter range? Yeah. That's good. I also like when we do this. Yeah. It probably feels crazy to people that, like, you're walking with a friend who has his headphones on and is talking to you. Oh, yeah. But you can hear me clearer than ever. Yep. More clearly than... Than before. Than before. Um, what are the basic changes in your neighborhood lately? Um, you sense any? Yeah. There's been a couple new build. You know, this, is, this building is, like, four or five years old. Uh-huh. Um, there's been a couple new buildings like that. Um, it's gentrifying a little bit. Yeah. And not that it, it was, you know, mostly, I feel like, working-class Greek families and family-owned buildings. And I think just a couple of them here and there are being sold. Um, 30th Avenue has gotten a lot hipper. Yeah. With, like, cool bars and restaurants and things like that. Yeah. Um, likewise with Broadway. and th- So it's like, you can see... Astoria always had good restaurants, but now I think there's more people going out and spending time here. Yeah. So it's changing a little bit like that. (coughs) I still like it. I've been here for seven years, I think. Yeah, I still like my neighborhood as well. Um... There's always things every now and then, like, oh, the gummy bears that I always yeah. get you? That uh, organic market went out of business. The last, well, here's, so the last time or two that you gave them to me, they upset my stomach a little bit. Oh, really? But then, I think we should go this way. Yeah. Uh, unless you wanted to walk by no. Euromart. No. Um, I just, because sometimes the subways yeah. are up. Um, but then, uh, like, I recently... What candy was it? I don't know. There's a couple candies that were like that, like the gelatin candies that are usually... I really like the texture and the taste of those. Yeah. They're upsetting my stomach. Oh, I got Lifesavers gummies. Uh-huh. And I had a stomach ache for mm. that, that night and the next day. Interesting. And it's happened a couple of times where I'm like, oh, maybe I just... Moved my, beyond them. Yeah, my system's like, no, nah, we're good, dog. Well, I'm very upset about it just because that... That... It was a family-run... It was a family-run, like, organic market, and it sort of was like a fixture of the neighborhood. Right. And the old couple that ran it just retired. They decided to retire. I guess their kids didn't want to, like, continue. Because there's actually been a lot of, like, grocery stores that have opened up. Like, multiple. And there's, like, a really cheap, like, fruit and uh, produce market that's, like... uh, You have have that key food that's, like, three or four blocks away. The key food on, on Queens Boulevard and uh, and a bunch of a couple of new grocery stores, but also like a big like That's cheap. Where I do my laundry. So oh yeah. I drop it off. There's like a, a cheap market that must have like hurt them. Must have hurt this place. Right. And and I think probably it was just like. But it was it's like sad because like I asked them before I it was just all of a sudden uh, I went in there and they had signs everywhere that were like. Like, shelves were empty and things were yeah. marked down. It was just clear, like, oh, no, this place is closing. 
And I really don't know what else is going to open there. Like, I'm kind of... There are places in my neighborhood where I'm a little bit like... I like this weather, by the way. Me too. Nice, there, cool breeze. It was horrible earlier today. That's where I got my iced coffee. That was a big mistake. Don't ever go in there again, Why did JD? I do that? I feel so stupid about that. It was pretty dumb. Okay. See, um... I'm going to take a right turn. All right. Um... There are places, do you have any place in your neighborhood where you're kind of like, how is this a thing? And you kind of wonder if it's like a front for something else? Uh, yes, there were a lot of those and then they've closed. So they, there, a thing happened here where my subway stop was shut down for like seven months. Yeah. And a lot of those places were not able to hang on. Yeah. They closed down because the foot traffic went down. Um, but yes, there were a lot of those. Yeah. Um, There's this place up here that I'll point out that's interesting. Yeah. So, you know the restaurant um, Bear Burger? Yeah. So the owners of that, I think, own this restaurant up here. Uh And, like, every, like, eight months, I try to start a new restaurant there to see if they can get something new to catch on. Right. And they're sort of always half-baked, and none of them catch on. Yeah. And it's always interesting to see what it changes to. Because it'll be like, oh, we're going to be, a, uh, like right now it's a barbecue restaurant. And before it was like a, a brunch, chicken and waffles kind of place. Yeah. And they always sort of fail and then they rebrand to something totally new. So Sandbox. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to the sounds of the New York City subway. Above ground. Uh, and then that was the thing that was so weird is that when they reopened the subway station, the only changes they had made were cosmetic. Really? And, and actually not even good. Um, because if you'll see, they changed the backstops of where you wait for the subways to be uh, like chain link grating. That sort of looks cool. Yeah. But it does not block the sun. It doesn't block the wind. doesn't block the rain. Right. And I'm sure sound goes through it way more easily. Yeah. So I'm like, it almost feels like a slide backwards. Right. So here's our options. There's this place. Okay. Which is like hipper, organic-y. Okay. A little more expensive, but like probably nicer stuff. Yeah. Or that key food. There's key food. Um, there's a um, trade fair down the block. There's Rite Aid. Okay. What do well, you where, wanna, are you go, where are you picking up your food at? It's my place like four or five blocks this way. Um... How about this? I'm going to peek inside that key food, see what my options are. Got it. If we don't like that, we'll go to pick up your what food. What are you in the mood for? I don't know yet. Until I okay. see it, I won't know. Um, we'll do key food. I'll either find something, or if I don't, we'll check into that fancy Great. place on the way back. Perfect. I think I have time anyways. I always am. Uh, I, I do have an affection for key food, sort of because... It's the one that feels the most to me like um, a Midwestern kind of yeah, I agree. grocery store. Um, it's got everything you need. And I was actually a little bit upset a couple of years ago when the, the key food in my neighborhood, like they changed out a lot of their old shelves. And they, 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 moved, right. they changed out all their fixtures to try to look a little bit fancier. And it's not wild about it. We've been in that right before, right? Uh, yeah, I bet. That's where I get all my prescriptions. Is 
This is where I do most of my grocery shopping. In key food? Yeah. All right. Let's see what happens. Now we're in the key food and um, we're walking <laughs> through like the produce section. Public and people don't realize yeah. what's going on. So we just seem like weirdos who are like, oh, well, we now are. we're in a grocery store. It's true, though, you know? Get. Let's see if they have like a chicken thing, maybe. What are you looking for? Like, I don't know if this place does like those little rotisserie chickens or something, maybe. Oh, right. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. seem like they do. Doesn't seem like they do. Um, yeah, smoked salmon. Might get some smoked salmon and some bread, maybe. Ooh. I have that bread back in my apartment, too. Uh, can I have some of that? Yeah. You want? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go over to the uh, yogurt section. Oh. The, uh, yogurt section's over here. Is it? Yeah. All right. I forgot Jimmy about this. just where it was. Ugh. This guy claims he don't like it, but he know where it is. So there's these, and then there's these. Yeah, this is what we want. This is where the real yogurt is. Okay. So this was the... Yeah. So here's what I think I want to try. I'm going to get a coconut one. And a raspberry one. Okay. And we'll just try them as an experiment and see what you think. Got it. Yeah. What was the um, other brand? The other brand was Faya, but I think that's a that's a lot of yogurt to have, you know. Okay. You think this is going to be the one for me? I don't know. I'm just you know, like. Should I, as should a, I do it with with cereal or? I mean, is that what you like? I have some if we need it. You have some what? I have some if we need it. Yeah, I mean. Place your item if you have your frequent shopper card. Please scan it now. Nine ninety nine. Place your item. Please continue scanning. If you have your frequent shopper card, please scan it now. Everything. About everything. I'm the one paying. Scan coupon now. Your total is fifteen. Nine. Please wait. System okay. processing. Follow the instructions on the pin pad. Ship malfunctions. Wouldn't accept my chip. Will it accept my mag stripe? I did it twice and it said, "Please use the mag stripe." Use it again. Stripe again. Stripe. What do you want me to do, sir? Strike. Yeah. Nailed it. Please sign your signature on the pin pad and follow the pin pad instructions. I wasn't your signature. No. That's a felony. Come and get me. Please remember to take your receipt. Thank you. Take your receipt. Please remember to take your receipt. Please. 
remember. Please remember to take your seat. Take your receipt. Please remember to take your seat. Please remember to take your receipt. Please remember. H H H H H E E E L L L L. Welcome to welcome to welcome to well well welcome to welcome to hell. You are it. You are it. Welcome to welcome to hell. I am Satan. You are my property. I am the devil, and you made a deal with me. No, no, no. Don't argue the finer points. No, no, no. Don't argue the finer points. Life on the playground, but it is bad because my name is Mr. Chad, the devil, the Satan, the man down low. Open up your mouth and put it in your toe. All right. How close are we? We're five blocks from your place. A couple blocks away. Four blocks from your place. Also, this the okay. So, yeah, this is the hip, cool ice cream spot, Campbell Hills. Yeah, that everyone goes gaga. Oh, that's where they have the Star Wars uh, ice cream. Oh, really? Yeah. And then here's that cookie place. If you want uh, an expensive, albeit pretty good cookie. Well, they have. Ample Hills is the place that does special deals with the new Star Wars movies to make Star Wars ice cream. Really? Yeah. Oh. They have little illustrated uh, containers that have like exclusive art for them and stuff. Really? I don't. I feel. I thought there wasn't that many. What? I don't know how many there were. How many Ample Hills? Yeah. Well, I think it's like a special thing. Like they make a special deal, huh. and they're like limited edition. Um, I. What do you think about the streets of Astoria tonight? They're bustling. Everyone's. I, it doesn't seem like a Wednesday evening. You know, it feels like a weekend. Oh, this neighborhood is happening and hopping. Well, it's almost nine o'clock on a Wednesday night, and it's pretty jumping around here. Everyone it's the is. village that never sleeps. Yeah. Um, oh so that bank yeah. always reminds me of the bank from Ernest Goes to Jail. First Central Savings Bank. Yeah, it does kind of look like that. If you look inside, yeah. it's got the exact kind of style. Yeah. Which I think is like a very old school style of bank. Yeah. I'm always kind of curious. I'll see it like in my hometown. There's certain places that will keep their old architecture, keep their old look. Right. And then other places that will try to do like a rebranding and a re. This is where I got get a lot of art supplies, and it also sells like models and things oh, like yeah? that. It's like a little hobby shop. Yeah. It's good. I like. Sorry, I interrupted okay. to show that place off. Yeah. They hold on to the old architecture. Well, some places do, and then some places will try to do like a new modern thing, and the new modern thing is almost always looks uh, cheap. Right. You know? They'll like get rid of something that is like, has lasted for decades, and they'll replace it with something that looks like it won't last five years, you know? Right. <laughs> What's the name of your place? This Pink is it Noir? right here. Yeah. This is another world we're going to. Hi, goodness, the pickup order. Yeah. 
Scott? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Enjoy. Have a good night. Thank you. Uh, Justin saw the results of the poll. Mm-hmm. What does he say? Uh, this was his response. He just sent me this image. It's a quote of Henry Ford. It says, if I had asked people what they had wanted, they would have said faster horses. Yeah. So he's implying that the people that don't should... know what they want. Right. People don't know what's best for them. Uh, I don't know that I take Henry Ford's word on... Uh... Yeah, also, also looking at how the world works right now, right? people might have been right. Faster horses might have been better. Yeah. Also, it's just like whether or not Henry Ford is right about a transportation question, is a, it's up for debate. Yeah, right. But I feel like the main thing that he's known for now is being a renowned anti-Semite, right? <laughs> is that true? Yeah. I have, I'm out of the loop of Henry Ford. Well, I remember there was a time when... Uh, no, he was like a, he was a big deal, like on the record anti-Semite and <laughs> on uh, the record. I mean, like there's, like there's some, there's a, like a lot there's of evidence, like, like documented people, proof. Well, when people yeah. say it about Walt Disney, for instance, a lot of that has been become hearsay in the room. Well, no, a lot of that has been uh, 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 fostered by like Family Guy making a bunch of jokes about it, and. They're kind of like lazy jokes in a lot of ways because it was sort of like... But aren't there people that have claimed to be in the room when he said things? Well, there are... I've read, I've read conflicting things in terms of a lot of Disney's reputation being based on not that he was anti-Semitic, but that he was like specifically like, like signed on with a bunch of groups that were sort of like anti-communist groups that also right. were like fringy and that he kind of got in, in bed with some like... Uh, uh, groups that had unsavory angles to them. Right. But that he wasn't, like, the reports of him being, like, it meant a lot to him. Like, right. at best, it was, like, a casual thing. Whereas, like, Henry Ford, I think, is, like, I remember there was a joke when there was a point where NBC aired Schindler's List without commercials and right. it was sponsored by Ford. And, like, it said at the beginning, like, Schindler's List is brought to you Ice by... Cream, by the uh, Ford Motor Corp company, right. and like the joke at the time was like, yeah, in more ways than one. Um, I'm gonna go see what cookies they have. What cookies? Yeah. All right. Um, let's see what they got. Instead of. Uh, not much left. Slim Pickens no, in Cookie you. Heaven. You can't just ask for a cookie? No, it's a really... Tom Levin will tell you all about it. He okay. lives right down the block. You know that? Yeah. Him and Molly. Um, Should we go say hi? I could. I could text Tom. Um, but he, I, we've talked at length about this. Yeah. So here's something that happened between Tom and I. Yeah. Tom and I, uh, they put a new door in my apartment, as you've seen. Yeah. Both my door and the front door of the apartment. So I needed new keys, which meant that, I, and my landlord doesn't live here. Um, so you have the I same ha- landlord still? What's that? Uh, it's the daughter. 
Gotcha. Yeah, it's her daughter. She's still around, but she needed help. Yeah. Um, Tom lives, not this block, the next one. Um, so I had the fit, little only keys to my apartment. So I was like, I need to get copies and give them to some people nearby. Elena and Riley live nearby, Tom and Molly, Nicole and Chris. Yeah. So I went to drop off keys to Tom, and we just met outside to hand off the keys, and we got talking. And suddenly, I believe, we looked up and realized that we had started talking, it was daytime, and that was nighttime. And we looked at the clock and realized that I think we'd been talking for like three and a half hours or something. And like hadn't even really <laughs> noticed that that much time had gone by. Yeah. Uh, and we had this moment where we were both like, what just happened? Like it felt like, you know, when people talk about alien abductions where like it's like- Losing time. Yeah. So that's tough. They live literally down there. Oh, See, wow. Yeah, I've been to their place. Buildings that stick out, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was so weird. Like, to have, and I, I guess we're aware of what we do this podcast, we know how long we're recording and we know it's a long time, but like, to meet up someone and talk and suddenly you're like, whoa, three hours went by. That said, I will say today though, even like, this episode's already felt like it's sort of flown by, to me at least. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't feel like we're close to done in terms of how much time's gone by. No. I would say it feels to me like we're maybe approaching the halfway point. Which is funny because we're like close to done and that's still like what, like three hours away? Yeah. Which for most podcasts that's like three we episodes. Three episodes of it. And three long I like, episodes. I do love the fact that like we cannot do an episode all year long and then in one episode really come close to matching other podcasts that have worked all year. Yeah, it's true. We are under the subway. If you're... I don't know if you can hear but there's a train going by above us, but that's a noise that you might hear. If you're a bi-weekly podcast... Yeah. We come pretty close. But if we do two a year, I guess last year we only did one. Yeah. Well, last year we did two, but only one came out. So what do we year. average? <coughs> I think at this point we've settled into a one a year rhythm. No, no, I think our average is higher, obviously, because the first year or two we did every other month. Yeah, but we're still banking on those early couple of years. I'm we, saying... We so, did... Did we do four the first year? Did we do two? So three? what did I just say earlier that it was... End of 2013 was episode one? Yeah. So let's say 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18. What? We said it's like five years we've been doing yeah. this? Approaching? Yeah. And this will be episode 15? Oh, so we average three a year? Right. Um... So, uh, uh, 36 plus hours per year, 36 plus episodes per year. That's almost a weekly podcast, right? That's almost a weekly podcast. And if, and if we, if we, that's if it's an hour long podcast. If it's a half hour long podcast, which some podcasts are, right? We're doing great then. Then, it's as if we come out all the time then. 
And we we don't we average over twelve per episode. Yeah. So it's probably like thirty-eight hours a year or something. Yeah. Or maybe thirty-seven hours a year. Yeah. Which means we're only missing fifteen weeks. We're not doing so bad. I don't think we're doing so bad. Twelve heads. What do you think? Twelve heads. We're not doing bad. If you think we're not doing so bad, tweet us. us. Tell Pepsi. Tell Pepsi. Ooh, we have to see. So far, I don't think there's any response from either. Oh, interesting. Don't be a cynic. That was the whole premise of this. What do you mean? The only way that you win is if they tweet, and there's never confirmation that I win because they could. It could be just right around the corner. I believe. Yeah. I believe that's how it works. I mean, they should have tweeted back by now. Verified, you know? Yeah, you know, 8 p.m. on a Wednesday. Someone's got to be on there responding to inane tweets. You think soda tweets uh, should stop at night? I think everything should stop at night. What about the nightlife? They should turn the electricity off at night. Do you remember when the blackout happened? Did you do the blackout show at UCB? What was that? Uh, Hurricane Sandy? Question mark? Um, I remember... Whatever I, it was I, when all of Manhattan had no power. I, I did a show at the point where I was coming in on the Long Island Railroad and the subways weren't running. Um, I came in to do, I think, Stepfathers and I think Shannon had her Strangers Wanted show before that and I remember specifically that so few people were in the audience that the whole audience came up on stage to just be part of like a circle that was the show right and one of the people in the audience was Abby Jacobson it was just like it was like 12 people there and uh, this this was probably like a year before Broad City right maybe or something like that before it was on Comedy Central. Uh, uh, uh. And now we're walking, we're almost back to JD's apartment. That was our little oh, adventure. What that was a our little beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. Uh, 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 uh. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Here we are. Here we are. Home at last. Home. Home again, it's true. And it, ooh, I got mail. It's exciting. From who? Wait, who? From who? Everything's going my way. (laughs) (sighs) 
Uh, so you're, right now you're about to have uh, smoked, salmon with some yogurt on it. Smoked salmon, some bread, and then JD, you and I are going to have a yogurt tasting. I actually am sort of like uh, just smoked salmon on bread is not a bad... Uh, yeah. I haven't done that casually. It's not a bad look. Um, okay. Let me unbind all of this. We're settling in now, so it's just a little bit of settling in. You're going to hear some settling in noise. This is us settling in. Uh, rebrand is doesn't matter day is catching up at 19%. It's 81 to 19 now. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, everything's going Okay. Yeah, we good? Connor, take a deep breath. Oops, never wait. Now take a deep breath. Oh, no. And we're back. And we are back, and we are here again. And... And... Oh. That does feel tired. That does feel like, oof. That was our activity for the day. Mm. I. Hold on, let me look up and see if. Let me put this in the fridge, right? Um. No one needs lukewarm yogurt. Do you want your salmon in the fridge? I'm gonna have it now. Okay. I want it now! Veruca salt over here. Um. One of the things that I had written about was death cleaning. What do you mean, written about? One of the things On I wrote list. down the thing was death cleaning. You know what that is? Yeah. Explain it. You explain it. Is that people cleaning up after you after you, after you die? No. Unless I'm mistaken. Where's your bread at? Where's your fancy bread at? In, In the, the fridge? fridge? All right. Um, death cleaning, I believe, is when you are essentially cleaning as preparation for death. Like you're getting rid of getting rid of things that you don't need, giving things away. It's sort of like you're preparing yourself. Um, and I don't know, it has a nice... Uh, there's, I think there's something nice about it. You know, something like... Something nice about the idea of it to me. Um, and it's it's morbid, but also only in the sense that like anything about death is by its very nature, you know, morbid. That's interesting. Now, I've started a thing where, but it's sort of like the thing where it's like rather than doing it after you die, it's sort of like sorting out your stuff. Where it's like, here, do you want this? Do you want this? You know, right? And that's like a nice service to your family, so they don't have to do it themselves. Yeah. 
Um, every turn of the season, I've started, so here's two things that I did. One is I got a new bigger storage space, so I keep stuff in my apartment. Mm -hmm. Two, I give away stuff at the turn of every season. Yeah. And so I just take a big old box down to Goodwill, and I give away tons of clothes. Anything that I didn't wear the last time it's an appropriate season came along is gone. Right. right. And it feels good because you can you end up accumulating stuff that you just don't need. Yeah, I need to get rid of some stuff like that. And stuff that means nothing to you. You just have it because you have it. Right. I mean, I feel like I have a lot of clothes that I feel like I'll wear them again, but I really won't. Yeah, exactly. Like if they're not in the rotation, they probably just aren't in the rotation. Yeah. No, exactly. And I, I and some of the stuff that I've been given, you know, so mm. I feel bad getting rid of it. Yeah. But I'm like, what good is it doing anybody sitting here collecting dust? The answer is nothing. Doing no, no doing nobody nothing. It ain't doing nobody nothing, and you know it. Everything's going my way. We're the mealtime boys. We're the mealtime boys, and we eat our meals. We're the mealtime boys, and we eat our meals. We like our emotions, and we feel our feels. Um, I that stuck in my head now. Um, I want to break free. So wait, why did you have that written down? I think I just read something about it and I like the sound of it, you know? Because one of the kind of... It's a weird thing, but it's sort of a healthier impulse is that like... Giving Star Wars stuff away at my George Lucas talk shows has become a way of sort of like... Scratching a little bit of a collector impulse while also scratching a purge impulse where it's kind of like... I like I will buy things thinking like I will give this away at the show, and only a handful of times have I ever been like, no, I'm going to keep it for me. Like I got like right. a, a picture disc that's like my favorite like musical theme from The Force Awakens, right. and I got it on Record Store Day a few years ago, thinking like I'll give this away. And then I played it a few times, like no, I actually like having this. It's my kind of my favorite theme from that movie, and right. it sort of feels it's the one that feels a little Christmassy to me, you know. Right. And I thought, no, this is mine. I'll keep it. But most of the time, like, I scratch the itch of, like, oh, this is a funny thing. I'll get this. And then I'm like, nah, yeah, I've had it for a month. I'll give it away, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like me with Prop Store and getting you and other people's stuff. Right. Mm. I like buying it. Pull it in my hands and be like, oh, this exists. Cool. Right. And being like, and now it's someone else's. Yeah. Um, I feel like... There's a real, um, like, if my apartment was suddenly, like, everything was taken, 
I would not, unless I like booked some major job that made me a millionaire. Right. I likely would not spend the time and money it would take, for instance, to repurchase the complete peanuts in all of those box sets right. that I have. Like I acquired those slowly, gradually over the course of a decade. None of them was a hardship to buy. They were all like 30 bucks here, 50 bucks there, whatever they right. were. Um, they take up a but, lot of space. They take up a, well, they don't really take up that much space. They, it's like a pillar. Like the way they're stored, they don't really, they don't take up space I'd be using for anything else. You know what I mean? Um, and like if I, if I got rid of them, I would have room for a very thin lamp or something, you know? Right. But reacquiring them, even just reordering them would, it'd be a lot to look up. It would be a lot right. to like, oh, do I have this one? Do I have this one? And I would just be like, oh, it's not worth it. They would be super expensive to get now. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Um, Is there anything during your death clean that you'd give away to me, Connor? Yeah. Probably a lot of stuff. I'd probably just let you come over and look and see if there's anything you wanted. You That's know? not how death cleaning works. I feel like you, it, you have to like gift it to the person. It has to have meaning. I guess that's not true. There was something nice about at Timmy Wood's funeral mm-hmm. when all this stuff was just up, up on stage and you could sort of walk up and be like, what's my thing that I remember mm-hmm. that's going to be my Timmy thing? I probably have some Muppet stuff, you know? Yeah. That would be for you. good stuff anyway. I'll probably give you part of my labyrinth collection. Just I wouldn't I wouldn't want to give you all of it because it'd be a burden to you. Right, I would probably like an item from it. Right. I do feel like there'll be a point where I have to like seriously consider the idea of like going through some of my because like I have stuff that's hidden behind that Acme novelty display that I have. Right. Um. Every now and then, when I do like a full clean of the apartment, I'll move that out and kind of clean dust behind there and everything. Um. There's like a big pile of books and things back there that I'm like, oh, I forgot about these. Why am I keeping these? Like they're, and I'm not reading them if they're here. Right. But then another part of me is like, yeah, it's behind the thing. What do I care? You know, like where I'm like. Well, that's why I give all that stuff away to Goodwill. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe someone else or some kid that doesn't have much money. Yeah. And like most of the Goodwill is like sort of, a lot of stuff that people are like, I don't know, this is my textbook from... 20 years ago. And I'm yeah. like, it would be cool to be like, ooh, what's this? 
there's some kid that likes comic books or movies or this that's like, oh, I'll take this. I also sometimes feel like my taste in stuff is sometimes weird that it would be like wasted that no one would want it and it would just end up like You should put everything in your apartment on eBay. I feel like it's just hire someone else to do all the work of that and not work for a year. Yeah, right. Mm. Even like... Even with all the free time I have, I feel like... I never have the time to get a lot of stuff done. Like, I bought a new computer back in like June because I could feel my old iMac dying. So I bought a new computer and bought a disk drive to go with it because I no longer have a disk drive. Right. Um. What I found out was, I was assuming I would just hook a cable. From one computer to the other. Mm-hmm. But you can. I don't think you can. You can, but it's a little complicated. Well, what I realized was there's no such thing as like a cable that's just like a firewire port to another firewire port. You know, like or a they're Bell always won't. Well, not for what I need it for. And then I started Googling it and realized there are all these people who are like, why is there no way to do this? And they're oh, like, because they want you to do like iCloud. They want you to do, they don't make it so you can just hook up an iMac to an iMac and transfer the files. And so I kind of am in a position where I'm just very... And also, there's things that, like, I realize, oh, this program no longer is available for iMac, and I use it to do this. So at the moment, I kind of have a two-monitor, two-computer setup on my desk, which is not what I want. Right. Um, just because, like, I'm not yet ready to kill off my old computer. I still have some things I use it for. I'm not sure that I have all the files from it. Right. But at the same time, if I, if I haven't thought of it, if I, hadn't needed, if I haven't needed the file in the last three months, then it's like, well, how important are these files? You know, like you have... There was a point when I had everything backed up on, like, zip drives decades ago. And then at a certain point, zip drives became obsolete. And I wasn't like, oh, no. All my files. Right. I was like, oh, I don't really have anything that important. Right. Well, that's the interesting thing is I have all these old computers. Right. The same. I had to go through the same process of going, oh no, but all this old stuff. And I was like, I don't need any of it. Well, I just like. <clears throat> I took a couple scripts, a couple things that I wanted, made sure any of the video stuff I needed was on back. And then I was like, let it all go. Right. <clears throat> and it's. You I know, also. Like, oh, it's so important. I have to have it. Can I make a recommendation? Yeah. Use Dropbox. Yeah. Use the desktop client. Um, what's that? It's just, it, it, yeah, yeah. it's folders on your computer. Yeah. So I put, my entire computer is in that. So there's yeah, almost there's nothing that's not on that. that. But what's great is that means when I get a new computer, 
I don't have to do any cable or file transfers or anything. Mm -hmm. I just transfer that over, and now all my files are on my new computer. <coughs> I highly recommend it. Said any questions, and two different people have said, Is this a David Pumpkins thing? What? David S. Pumpkins, uh, the SNL. Uh, yeah, how is that? He gets his catchphrase, any questions? Oh. But the point of that catchphrase is kind of that it's not, it's a generic phrase. Right. Should I block the people who say, Is it David Pumpkins? <laughs> okay. uh, I think that's like a very personal insult. It's like you, I know why we know why you're saying that. Well, why don't we just spend the last two hours or so in this podcast into a total David Pumpkins fan fest? If the fans want it, we're just going to talk David Pumpkins for two hours straight. That's what they want. Um, I... targeted recently by ads. Phone calls? No. Just online. Just like smart ads that know what to like sell me. What do they think you want? Well, they're not, they're, they haven't got me. I haven't bought them because they don't really have a need for it. But they, there's this company called Nixon. Uh-oh. That's a fancy watch company. And first they had these Star Wars watches that were... Ah, that's how they got you. They were pretty discreet, kind of like... There was one that was like, they were tied to the release of Solo. Right. And there was one that was like a bright yellow, that was like the yellow of one of the colors of the Very right. bright and yellow. And the only real clue there was a Star Wars watch was a very tiny Millennium Falcon on the end of like the minute hand. Or the right. Hour, I think. <coughs> <laughs> but you could probably look right at the watch right. and not realize you were the Star Wars watch. Uh, your mic died. My mic died? Yeah, I think so. Can you hear me? JD, can you hear me? No, I'm running, I'm running away. Um, 
there should be, if you look down, I can just do it. There should be batteries that are charged. Like these two. We use rechargeable, ba oops, rechargeable batteries here at 12 hour day because we are environmentally conscious. Make sure they're going the right way. Well, they ain't going the wrong way. Chest, 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 chest. Can you hear me, JD? Yes. All right, so we're good? We're good. So I was saying I've been targeted by this watch company called Nixon that sells fancy watches. And keep getting these ads on Instagram for them. And first they were selling these Star Wars watches that were tied to the Solo, a Star Wars story right. movie. And there was like this Lando Calrissian one that was yellow, and it had a very, very tiny, very discreet Millennium Falcon. But you could easily be mis you could easily look at this watch and just think it was oh, it's a like fancy watch, watch. Yeah. nothing else. I think this might have been the same company that at one point had a very expensive Bowie watch. Right. I that, think I remember this. That I looked at it, and I remember thinking, like, how could you spend so much on a watch? Like, I remember thinking, like, I would just never be able to enjoy it. Right. And, you know, a watch like that, you should be able to drive around in it. And then cut two. You're like, mm. how much is it? Well, these ones I'm looking at are, like, 150 or something. So oh, they're, like, not. not that expensive. But the Bowie one, I think, was, like, thousands, I think. Or, or at least more than 150. And now they're doing... Um, for Mickey Mouse's 90th birthday, mm -hmm. uh, they're doing a uh, a bunch of like kind of cleverly designed Mickey Mouse watches. And I'm not going to get one, but I am like, when I see these ads, it's like I was in no danger of buying one of those Star Wars watches. A, I don't need a watch. Right. But the fact that they did a Star Wars line and then a Mickey Mouse anniversary line, I'm like, well, you're close. Like, you're circling. If you put one pig on there, you're good to go. <laughs> well, I already have that Porky Pig pocket watch vintage from the 30s or 40s. You don't use it, though, do you? No, I have it in a little display. Um, but, like, I'm like, they're either going to come out with, like, a Chris Ware or an Elvis Costello or something that I'm going right. to feel like... <coughs> they're going to keep trying until they get me, you know? Right. And, and then when they get you... And they got me. And they got you. Um, get it? Got it? But Good. It's, it's very strange when you get that feeling of like, it's like being hunted. Or it's like, oh, you are like... Here's the thing is that they don't have a good read on me. Interesting. Because I don't post about stuff I like online, whereas you post all about the stuff you like. Yeah. You have, you know, 55 tweets about... Porky Pig and Elvis Costello and Star Please. Wars. 55? Please. I need a break before. I need a food break before yogurt time. For the J-Man. Food break for the J-Man? I, I can't do sushi and then immediately chase it with yogurt. I will say that one of my things that I, so far in life, one of the things that I am blessed with is that I don't think, with the exception of a few very specific bouts of food poisoning, 
I don't think I've ever had any like stomach ailments. Like I, I, I don't. I've been very lucky in the sense that like I hear people all the time say things like, "Well, I can't eat that because it'll make my stomach feel bad." Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not. I don't have a sensitive stomach necessarily. But every now and then I'll be like, I had a bunch of weird things in a row right there. I don't feel great. <coughs> but I feel like it's a fairly common thing that you hear people say where it's like, well, I can't eat that or I need to take my lactate or, you know, that's the things yeah, where it's I do like. Have to, I, have to, I do have to do those things. You take lactate? Yeah. Do you need to take it before these yogurts? Yep. Um, I feel very lucky that I've never really. I've never had to think about it in terms of, like, I only think about food in terms of, like, I don't like the taste of this or that, but I really never have to think about it in terms of, like... Well, you also... You fight in a boxing ring. What do you mean? I mean, you're not out there trying a bunch of foods. It's like, you have you have your... You created your lineup, and you're you're playing them. Yeah, I know, but I don't... There are, like, people who are lactose intolerant aren't that it's just, like, a lot of them like eating things that cause those problems. Right. But I'm saying... I've eaten foods I don't like, and I've never had them be like, and also they hurt my stomach. Right. Um, like, I react to poison, but that's, how, that's right. good. I'm glad I... Every bout of food poisoning I've had, no matter how bad, it's always been like, oh, I'm glad my system has an emergency system. Yeah, 100%. I've only had really bad food poisoning as an adult, like, twice. I mean, the first time I had it, I remember thinking, like, oh, am I being, like, am I dying? Like, I really oh, was it's, just, it's like... bad. I couldn't understand. It felt like my body was betraying me. Yeah. Completely. <sighs> Um, what else you got in your topic box? Let me see. <coughs> Something good for the listeners and viewers of this podcast. I've got no, not a software update. Go away. Software update. Boo. Um, glasses check. Glasses check. Da, 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 I'm going to delete da, da. the ones I've talked about. What? I'm deleting the ones I've talked about. Yeah, I did that too. <coughs> uh, okay. Uh, oh. It'll be easier this way. Um, oh, did you see the Happy Time Murders? I did not. Did you? I did. You said you could talk about it for hours, right? Uh, no. So I would like to talk about it. I think it's... I just did blank check, mm-hmm. and um, I guess fans of theirs have been asking for them to talk about it, mm-hmm. and Griffin and I went together, and I will say this, 
it was not a blank check. It became very clear. What do you mean? Well, do you remember originally when um, it was like, oh, Brian Henson has this script that he really wants to get made, and it's this like dark noir, Who Framed Roger Rabbit with puppets. It's not that. They took that and then turned it into something else. And there's remnants of that, but it is so far from it. In what way? I mean, it's mostly... This is going to sound like a harsh criticism, but I truly believe, just mathematically, it's true. Yeah. It's mostly just puppets saying fuck and cock and tits. Yeah. And that's it. Like, there's not that many jokes. It's right. just them saying and doing dirty things. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of it. And it's not shot in a style at all. It's shot The soundtrack flat. is just like generic pop music. So it's not, it's not what uh, the original vision mm-hmm. was. Have you ever seen an original script for it, or you just read about what it was intended to be? Um, I just I haven't read, seen the original script. I just read what it was intended to be. Mm-hmm. I can say this: I already yeah. feel like I'm not on board with this yogurt. Why? Just the sight of it is. We'll see. Doing it for me. I didn't expect that you'd like how it looked. I know. I really don't like how that looks. Well, I'm mixing it with the fruit. Yeah, I know. I know what you're doing. I don't like how it sounds. Oh, it's not for me, I don't think, Connor. I just don't think it's going to happen. You just take the smallest of tastes. It'll just be like medicine. Give me that other spoon. You don't want the one that stirred it? No. I'm also going to wash this spoon. Some OCD. All right. Thanks. Uh, I don't like it already. The coconut, I feel like I'm less. Mm-hmm. Against. Also, the fact that you keep opening it and licking the lids. You hate that. It's not a great just ritual for me yeah. to witness. Because I know you're not touching anything that I'm about to eat, but it feels <laughs> personal. It feels like you are. But you don't want me to waste that yogurt. There's a lot that went in the... I don't even want to hear about it, honestly. Right? I'm going to use a different spoon since I've already used that spoon. Ugh. You want me to mix the coconut? Yeah, you mix the coconut. That way you'll feel some ownership, you know? Pride of ownership. This I'm, I feel more okay with. See, I went with the fruit one first because I kind of thought the fruit one might be up more to your liking. The color just weirds me out. Just fruit. Yeah, I guess. I don't want to do this. It's just this, I mean, <clears throat> you take a, even a slight taste of it and you don't like what you think then. Better than Shabani. Yes, better than Shabani. It might not it might not be your thing, but it is better than Shabani. It's like a pudding. Which I don't like. You don't like pudding? No. 
Did you get any coconut in that spoonful? I don't think so, but the taste is okay. Yeah. I'm okay with it. C minus, you give it. I give it a C. Straight C. C. Solid C. Actually, I'll give this like a C plus. Ooh. It's going up and up. Here's what I think. I think if I did put granola with this, I would be probably okay with it. Right. Interesting. Good job. I'm proud of you. Thank you. You don't even have to try this one if you don't I don't want to try that one. Yeah. I don't want to ruin your mood. Because also, what, doing what well. fruit is it? Raspberry. Well, I am allergic to raspberries anyways. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm allergic to a lot of fruits. I've yeah. come to learn. I'm going to try. I'm going to get... Did you want some of this coconut? Not if you're, uh, not if you're going to mix some cereal with it. Yeah. I don't need two of these, you know? I was just going to yeah. put... I was going to put the lid on whichever one I didn't eat. Right. You know? I can use a different spoon to serve into it. Mm. What do you think? Granola or Crispix here? My, my impulse would be granola. That's what I think, too. I feel like a savory mix with it would not be great, you know? Right. Although maybe not. I, I, I think I have a knee-jerk reaction to that, even though it's been disproved a lot in the last 10 years for me, that, like, that sweet right. and savory combo. I always have an initial... No, that's a bad idea before then trying it and realizing that, like, that thing where people eat, like, M&M's with popcorn. Right. Mm. At first, I was very much against that. And then I was like, oh, no, it's interesting. It's nice. All right, this is the most I'm going to do. Small steps here. Yeah. Where's the lid for this one? Great. I'll put this mm. in the fridge. There you go. Wait, this is the raspberry lid. I don't approve of lid mixing. Oops. Wow. These lids are loose. This doesn't feel... Loose lids. Loose, li loose lids sink shids. I mean, I don't love it. Yeah. I, honestly, I think the, th the thing that I don't like about it is the, like... Um, Yogurtiness of it. The yogurtiness of it, like the the thing that is exactly the thing that I'm, I'm that probably has the whatever you call it, the bacteria, microbes, and all that. Yeah. So it's like I, I just I think that's just my. I mean, for me, it's like it's the same thing where people are like, when I'm bad with like Indian food and stuff like that, it's like or. A lot of international cuisine, for me, it's always like, I just don't like the flavor of the sauces or the seasonings. Right. To such a broad extent that when people are like, maybe you'll like it if you try it like this, that yeah. sometimes there's just like a big hurdle that you just can't get past, you know? And I think, like, if you don't like pudding and you don't like yogurt generally... Yeah, I don't like, you know, uh, like cheese whiz or anything like that. Yeah. That, that, that's, that I think texture that's, is just not for me. I think that's kind of insurmountable in terms of, like, you don't like the thing. It's kind of like when someone's like, I don't like when people burst into song in the middle of a scene. It's like, yeah, you don't like musicals. Like, right. you are not, you're, you're not going to find one where suddenly you're like, yeah, I like this one. It's like, Was this, this whole thing an effort to try to get me to stop getting you to eat other what? foods? What? This whole thing was like a... A lesson to teach me to stop getting you to eat other foods. 
No, because I don't think you'd pressure me. <coughs> no, I just find it relatable in the sense of like, I was curious because I was like, well, I'll get a yogurt and see if this is any better than... It's also one of those things where it's like... See, like, I can do this. Yeah? A lot where of granola, like, a little bit of yogurt. It's just like one ingredient in a thing. It's like a... Like you can eat a cake with frosting, right? Right. But you wouldn't eat a bowl of frosting. No. Especially if it's just yogurt. <coughs> or like cream cheese frosting on a, on a cake. You ever had that? Yeah. But you couldn't eat like spoonfuls of cream cheese frosting. I think there's something about the granulated sugar. Yeah. That makes it less. Yeah. It's like the smooth. It's also one of those things where it's like when people are like, you don't drink or you don't smoke or you know something like that where like there's certain things where it's like, well, that's not a habit I need to pick up. Like there's no benefit to it. You know, when people are like. Yeah. I've had that conversation recently a lot. Which I hadn't had it in like years. Mm-hmm. People are like, you don't drink? You know what it is actually? The reason I've had it. Is my mic working? Mic, mic, mic. Um, I'm mic. I'm mic. I'm mic. Yeah, you're good. Is I think there's a point when people my age that have started not drinking now for health reasons, mm-hmm. addiction reasons, all sorts of things. And they're like, yeah, I don't know what to do. But like, what do I tell people? And I'm like having to be like, Oh, no one cares. What are you talking about? Like, mm-hmm. Literally, you've built up in your head that this is a thing. As right. someone who hasn't been drinking for my entire life, yeah. the hardest time was when you were like 20 or 21 or whatever. But after that, yeah. people, after the age when people are just like drinking to get drunk, mm-hmm. and that's the activity, no one literally cares. Unless that is the activity. Yeah. Even then, they don't really care. But if like, you go to like, beer tasting, and they're like, wait, why didn't you come to this? Mm. Yeah, I'm sort of down with this. Does yogurt keep? I mean, it'll keep, for, it'll keep in there for a few days anyway. It's like any dairy thing where it's like... Because, like, you know, this is the amount of yogurt that I feel like there's, like, yeah. two spoonfuls. Yeah. Um, also, this brand of yogurt I don't think is, like, the healthiest yogurt. It's got some of the things, but it's not... Oh, yeah, let me look to see if it even has. I threw away the stuff, so it might be in the... I oh, look you at... threw away both of it. Oh, no. See what it says on the thing. Oh, there's packaging on it? Yeah. I don't think it has. It does have cultures in it. Yeah, Thermopolis, Thermophilus, Bulgaricus, S- Acidophilus, Bifidus, Kasai. Which I don't think any of those are. The ones you need. Lactobacillus, but maybe they are. Maybe lactobac- Maybe the L is lactobacillus. Right. Let me see. Is it lactobacillus? Yeah. So at least that's what my sister said. But she's also just simplifying for me. Because I'm a dum-dum.
Yeah, the L acidophilus, uh, that's the lactose. That's right. the thing, yeah. But I still think it's probably got like more sugar in it and more, you know, it's just like that's part of why uh, it's more enjoyable to me than Chobani. It's because it's probably not as good for me as Chobani. I like Thea is the one that that is like I think Thea is maybe the healthiest yogurt that I like that's your favorite one I think it's the healthiest that I like no if the one like Nusa to me is like a dessert like I get right. it like I'm instead of getting like a pudding or something yeah um, yeah it's pretty sweet yeah and but Thea is the one that it's like I feel like when I'm eating it I'll get that with like I'll get like some honey and just eat it with honey right and it was one that I kind of had to get used to the taste and the texture of that it, that I don't think you would like. Yeah, because I can't I I, I can't do uh, kefir or any of that. Not for me. Yeah. Um, some more cues on there, unless maybe you skipped some intentionally. I don't think I did. What else is happening? Um. um What's something about your life, your lives, the world that has changed that you wish didn't? That's Scott Lamica. Um, I don't know. I mean, I... It's hard to say because, like... plotting his route home. I was just checking. That's how close we are. We're not that close. If you're listening, you're stressed out. We got, we still got time, listeners. Um, I was just checking if it, if I'd be better off getting a lift when I do go home than oh, yeah. messing with the subways. They're not so bad. Not so bad. Yeah. Um, I something that's changed. I mean, I don't know. I've got one that I've been thinking of lately. What is it? I've been having a lot of big conversations with family lately. Just talking about stuff, getting to know each other. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've been feeling lately is uh, I feel sad that I'm not near my family. Yeah. And because I see my sister with her kids, and to them... My mom and dad are basically like their second mom and dad. Like they are so in love with my parents. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they go to their, their house and da da, and they fall asleep late. You know, it's like they just love being with my parents. And I'm like, if I had kids, 
they wouldn't know my parents as well as my sister's kids do. Yeah. And it's just the, the truth of it all. And then I don't see my family as much. And then the other thing is I don't see my friends from growing up as often. Yeah. And a bunch of them all still live there and they still hang out and do things. And, but a lot of us have moved around. And that can be sort of a bummer feeling. To be like, oh, these people, these friendships, people that I love, that are my friends, that I think understand me on a... Even if we don't talk about that stuff, it's like there's this understanding of who we, each other are. Because mm. we've known each other since first grade or whatever. Yeah. It, I do feel sad knowing that, that I've chosen a life, especially now with these current thoughts and feelings. Right. I've chosen this thing that's brought me down this path that's not sacrifice in some way that I'm some martyr or that I've done, you know. No, but if it's my life has been nice, but I've had to give up certain things. Yeah, and if in your in current and this. if your current mode you're sort of feeling like, well, do I even want this? Right. Then that's going to cause you to question like, well, should I ever have done it, you know? Yeah. So that's something that I'm like Yeah. I know it's not possible and I know what I'm doing now I'm happy with and the same issues and thoughts and feelings that I'm having now are not unique. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's so many people in their careers that have these thoughts and questions and again, mine aren't, don't come from a place of drama or something. You know, I'm not going to make some big change in my life right now. It's just these feelings that I'm having that I'm trying to wrap my head around. And I know lots of people have those, whether you're a teacher or a doctor or a, Work in sales, yeah. work in marketing. So it's, you know, it's not like, oh, woe is me. I've chosen this life that's so complicated. It's like, no, this is just part of this part of life in general, maybe. Yeah. But it's also hard to look at these things. I'm like, oh, I gave up some of those things. Yeah. And I would have had to give up other things. But I think about that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I... I miss I used, my family and my friends. I used to reflect more on stuff like that in terms of, like, past choices and, you know, there was a time where I felt like I'd waste a lot of time, but... I don't know. I do feel like there are times when I'm in a little bit of denial in terms of, like, how much time is left, sort of, you know? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Well, because here's the thing. If you look at it right in the eyes, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And if you don't look at the eyes, you feel like you're, you're not appreciating that time. So you sort of have to play this dance where you're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And that can be hard. Oh. Uh. You know, it's like the, the scariest thing is like however many days you've been alive when you count it up like isn't that many and then counting the amount of days you have left it's a finite number and it isn't that many you know what I mean like the amount of sunrise and sunsets you get to see yeah like when you start trying to quantify the things like I think I talked about this last time but like there's a couple years where it's like I'd only go home during winter and then I was like well if I'm doing that how many more times you got how many more times am I going to see my parent you know what I mean like 50 more or less right anyway it's like whoa that doesn't seem like much yeah and it's scary um 
But it's that's just the truth of life. Is that yeah. you only have a finite amount of time. Um, yeah, I remember the the. You can't let it paralyze you. What? You can't let it paralyze you, which is easy. Well, like, it's also there's also a thing where it's like when you look at other people's lives. Like there was a documentary about Elvis Presley that was on HBO, I think, this year, and it was about the big comeback special, I think, in '68, and how like Elvis in the '50s had been this big sensation, and done these like groundbreaking kind of records. Uh, and then at a certain moment he kind of got more into doing like movies and wanted to be an actor and then the it would be like Elvis would do a movie and there'd be a soundtrack to the right. movie so he'd be singing about Hawaii or whatever it was you know and it got to a point by the late by the mid 60s where like Elvis Presley wasn't the big thing anymore he wasn't making records that were like yeah th- they weren't on the cutting edge of anything anymore and there were other more dangerous kind of figures that were out in front in pop culture. And then he did this big comeback special that was like him playing with these musicians that he played with before. And, you know, it was really trying to like, and it was like the big comeback. It was like impressed everybody. And I'm watching that and I'm like, is that the one where he plays, he's wearing like the blue suit. Yeah. He's at the piano and he plays. so. What's he play by himself? He plays some... I just saw the video of it online. Someone... It's like a black backdrop, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, he's just, like, putting his heart and soul, and you can tell it's like, ooh. Yeah, it means something to him. But then I'm watching that, and I'm like, 68? He died in, what, 77, 78 or something? I'm like, that's not that long. Like, for the big comeback special, it's like, well, after this, he kind of, like, doesn't do anything. Like, he has the big comeback, and then he's kind of, like, touring, but he's, like, on doing a lot of drugs and he's like a little bit out of his head and he's getting bloated and he's like you know trying to get Nixon to let him be an FBI agent and and he wanted to rat on the Beatles and you're just like you have this comeback special and it's like not that many years before he's just gone right and it's kind of like that weird thing of like looking at things that people did and it's like well they didn't know they had two years or ten years or what and it's kind of like when you look at like, oh, they were filming this and then he died, or they were doing this and then they died, and and it's weird to look at people and factor it in and think like, well, nobody knows, so like you never really know. It's kind of a. There were two. There's that Robin Williams documentary and the Gary Shanley documentary that were also on HBO this year. And after I finished the Robin Williams one, I was kind of like, well, I think I'm done with the. Uh, Sad Comedians documentaries, I don't think I can take another one because you kind of have, like, a stretch in those that are about, like... Like, you watch the Gary Shandling thing, and you get to Larry Sanders by about the halfway point, and you're like, how much is left in this? Like, what comes after this? And it's like, he works on the movie that that Mike Nichols directed, which was a flop and which he did bad, and then you have all these, like, health problems, and he never really figures out what the proper, like next act of his career is like there's a whole section that's just about him how hard he worked on like Over the Hedge right the animated movie based on the comic strip and and then you have this whole period where he looked like he was unwell and it's like oh yeah he had like a glandular thing or something he had like a thyroid thing that he didn't know what it was and you realize like oh the whole last part of this is just him kind of floundering kind of like he can't figure out what to do to right like he put more 
work into like the DVD extras of Larry Sanders' show than anything else in that last like decade. Right. Like, that was his big project. And you're like, oh, he just couldn't figure. He couldn't crack whatever that... He'd sort of reinvented the sitcom twice with It's Gary Shandling's show and then Larry Sanders' show. And then it's like another like couple decades of, of sort of lost in the, in the wilderness a little bit. And then watch the Robin Williams, Robin Williams one, and you just see, like, ooh, there's just, like, so much struggle in this, and there's so much... And it's like, ooh, can't watch another one about how, like, this is all a... Uh, uh, these guys, like, trying to figure something out, and, like, it's kind of not clear that they do, you know? Yeah. Mm. But I feel like, isn't that the story of... Everybody? Everyone? Yeah, it's just... Just sad to see it mapped out because suddenly it's like, you know, if Gary Shandling lives another 20 years, then maybe the, that decade is him figuring stuff out and then he does that. But if that's the last decade of it, then it's kind of like, oh, that's like... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Um... There's also stuff like there was like a while ago I was watching this Walt Disney documentary and I was talking about how like he I think he bought a house for his parents and then it like it was either carbon monoxide or like it burned down or something. It was something where it's like they died in the house that he bought them. Right. And he it's bought like Weird it. Al, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a similar thing to that sort of thing where it's like oof, like how is how do you live with that? Like, how do you get past something like that? It's hard. It's not, I mean, life can be brutal. I think that's the thing that I've been trying to wrap my head around a little bit was, is sort of like, Life can be tough, and it will be, and there isn't necessarily a happy ending or the finale or the thing or the everyone standing and applauding and the credits roll, so you just sort of have to keep trying to do your best to learn and do better, because that's sort of all you can do, you know what I mean? Like... Yeah. If you try to map an arc to it, it ain't gonna happen. Yeah. Um. It's like the best you can do is just like keep trying to move up, do better. Not move up like success wise, but like figure out anything that you feel is within your reach to figure out. Yeah. This poll keeps uh, shifting. Uh, I mean, it's all about shifting one direction, which is that I don't think that rebranding is going to ever be able to get to that 51% threshold or even a straight tie. But each time I check it, the first answer is, get, is shrinking a little and rebranding is moving up bit by bit. Wow. Wow. What's Pepsi saying? Nothing. I mean, it's evening. I was dumb to tweet at them at night. Of course, Cola goes to sleep. So then maybe you can concede that it wasn't so ridiculous they didn't send you free stuff. 
No, I don't. I don't concede that at all. It's that their was job. the deal of this. If no. they responded, <laughs> the point was to tweet something. I actually don't remember the logic of all this, but that they respond to inane stuff. So if we could well, prove they that they respond to inane stuff. Well, they haven't responded to anything, I think, tonight, you know? Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the, a wrap on both brands are calling it quits tonight. Um, who was your see. greatest influence growing up? Shaping your thoughts. Not music, theater, movies, etc. That's, that's from Julie. Uh, Julia. Julia Shanda. Um, but not not in the arts. They're talking about like personally, right? I think so. That's the sense I get. Um, I, mean, I guess it would probably be my mom, I think. Yeah. I think. Because she, I feel like she was the person that I like paid the most attention to. And the person that I would have been around the most, you know? I think my sister, my grandfather, my parents. My grandfather on my mom's side, for whom the sweater has been. Mm-hmm. Um, does JD have any new hyper-obscure videos on YouTube he's been watching lately? Do you? Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Quick look. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to say it out. Uh, what are you looking at? Uh, this video. Mm-hmm. I've decided whenever anyone asks for um, uh, my media <coughs> promote anything now, I'm just going to say this YouTube video. I got to find it. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Where is it? Log in, you stupid thing. Okay. Here we go. Okay. This is the video. All right, I'm coming. I'm coming, Jizzy. Uh, actually, I'm not. Even, I don't. I don't know that we should watch it here. Why? I think there'll be something special about me just giving the, the URL, having people watch it on their own. So we don't watch it during the thing. Yeah. You're just going to read the URL. Yep. Including all of the numbers and. Yes. Yeah. So. Now, well, can my, you explain your thinking on it? Why we don't watch it now? Well, so this is my favorite YouTuber. Yeah. Uh, and this it's a man named George Lair. Mm-hmm. And he's an elderly man who, for the past about ten years, has been traveling around. The world in an RV. Uh-huh. He calls Miss Tayoga. He records his videos. Miss Tayoga? Miss Tayoga. And about six years ago, he posted this video. 
this video is just a shot out the front of his RV of rain falling on the windshield. It's mm -hmm. very soothing and quiet. There's no commentary. It's just a short yeah. video. And they took a four-year break. They came back two years later. And his video has been more focused on himself and family and friends and things like that. It's, it's interesting. And I think I just think it's a, an interesting yeah. to story. Yeah. Oh, shoot. What happened? Oh, no. What? I might die during all of that. Oh, no. Well, okay, 12 heads. JD's mic died during that last part, and he was talking about... I'll just recap. I'm really passionate about that. JD's going to show his favorite YouTube video. I don't know. What? I have a lot more passion. I know. JD's going to show his favorite... He says he's more passionate than I'm making it sound. JD's going to show you his favorite YouTube video, or one of them. It's an old man who had a video, uh, and it was a, he had one video that was just a simple shot out of the front of his RV, what was it called, Miss Toyoga? Yep. And it was just a shot of rain falling on the front of the RV. Yes. Posted that video. All right, I'm back. He I'm didn't back. post I'm another back. video for four years. After that, he started so posting is, videos. This is George Lair. George Lair. All right, now JD's passion. I'm going to do it back. He's going to give George it back Lair. to you. We apologize for that. George Lair was a man, an elderly gentleman, who has a YouTube channel where he traveled around the world in an RV called Miss Tioga and record videos. And a lot of them, it's not what you think of when you think of modern YouTube, it's just usually a guy shooting these weird, not even weird, just simple, beautiful videos of the world around him, him in a river, uh, the trees, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite videos of all time, I call it my favorite video on YouTube. It's called The New Ladder, and it's just him saying he's got a new ladder. It's from Costco. It helps him wash the top of Miss Tioga, and then zippity doo dah plays. He's tr truthfully, it's just a really beautifully simple YouTube channel of someone just being genuine in themselves, and I really like it. And six years ago, he posted a video that is just a single shot out of the windshield of Miss Tioga, as rain falls down outside, you can hear a little bit of thunder. And it's a beautiful, calm little video of just the rain falling on the windshield. And then he didn't post another video again for four years. And I believed that something bad had happened, and I was worried. And then two years ago, he began posting again. Um, and... I just think it's nice, and I was saying that from now on, now that I'm off social media and don't really have anything to promote, if someone asks for my links or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. something that I'm promoting, this is what I want to promote. So, the URL is youtube.com forward slash watch question mark V equals, which is that's just, you know, the YouTube URL thing. YouTube.com slash watch question mark V equals, and here's the, the code that's important. Lowercase g, lowercase f, uppercase j, lowercase k, uppercase z, uppercase s, uppercase u, lowercase x, 1, uppercase q, lowercase c. So again, that's YouTube.com slash watch question mark V equals lowercase g, lowercase f, 
uppercase J, lowercase K, uppercase Z, uppercase S, uppercase U, lowercase X, one, uppercase Q, lowercase C. Lowercase me, lowercase U, lowercase three, lowercase two. Uh, uppercase V, well, Laura's getting uppercase around town, then. She's kissing everyone. So that's my YouTube video for you. Um, I like it. Ooh. This is interesting from Anna Maria. What is it? From one hour ago. How do you feel about the other person's approach to social media? I, I, I thought she meant that you were the other person. What do you mean? But I see now that it's, it works in both directions. Right. I was just relating to it too heavily. Yeah. How do you feel about my approach to social media? Um, Bear in mind that I tweeted at both Coke and Pepsi tonight. I think that you... Here's what I believe. I think that you use it in interesting ways. Uh, I like how... <laughs> I like how you use it because you do use it in ways that it's maybe not intended to be used. I'm a disruptor. That said, I believe you do have an addiction to it. I do. And I believe that if you weren't using that, that creative energy, similar to the experience that I went through where mm -hmm. it projected onto something else, Yeah. I'd be really interested to see what you use that for were it not social media. Yeah. Maybe, right? I, I would concede I definitely have an addiction to it. Um... It's not a crippling addiction in that, like, I can set my mind to it at various points, just like I put my phone away oftentimes for hours yeah. and hours, which that, that alone is in the modern age a sign of some small strength, you know, just to be able to, like, sometimes I'll just put the phone away and forget it yeah. for a long time and do other things. And, um, but... Um, I also think I'm pretty good about like, like I don't feel the need to quit Facebook per se, but I don't really, like I, I don't, I'm never on Facebook, like in the sense of like, I'll go onto Facebook just to check something, but yeah. I don't spend a lot of time living in Facebook, you know what I mean? Yeah, I will say this, I quit Facebook not because of the addiction aspect of it, yeah. but because I thought Facebook was a pretty pretty um, moral succubus. morally yeah morally corrupt yeah. company and I didn't want them having my data or my information yeah and so it was more about I just can't trust these people with anything of my personal information yeah more than they already have right and so that different than Twitter and Instagram which was more like this is for me I need to get rid of this stuff I don't think this is healthy for me this is more like I don't I don't like what these people have done. Yeah. Um, ba -bum 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 -bum. What do you think about my social media? I think it's exactly right for you. You know, like, I'm not... There are people who, if they quit certain things, I would be like, why? You get so much out of it. But I don't think you got that much out of it. Yeah. So, like, you're the kind of person that, like, if you suddenly, if I came in here and suddenly you'd gotten rid of your... TV and your computers and you're like I just go to the movies if I want to see something I wouldn't like blink you know right 
There are other people I'd be like, like if my mom got rid of her TV, I'd be like, why? You, you like having the TV. You know, like if right. either of my parents got rid of it, like, why? You guys enjoy watching stuff here. Like, you have this right. nice room for it, you know? Um, but, uh, oh, my, my sister sent me a picture of my niece earlier. Hey. Let me show I you. I see. Yeah. I'll, desc- I'll describe it. I'm just kidding. <coughs> this is a really funny picture. That's a great picture. Um, 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 I, I, yeah, I mean, like, to me, it's always. Like, Facebook definitely used to be more fun for me. Right. Because I think I always said that my approach to Facebook was, like, for a, pe- for a certain period of time, Facebook was a thing where I, I, I felt like it was helping me interact better with people I was friends with. You know, like, I felt right. like it was sort of keeping me in touch with um, people that otherwise I wouldn't be in touch with. And it was like a little virtual neighborhood. Right. And at some point, that just kind of fell away in the same way that, like, I used to really like checking Tumblr. I liked Tumblr was a site that I liked checking the feed. You know, like I, subscri- the, the Tumblrs that I subscribed to were interesting. So it was kind of like an interesting self-curated feed of things. Yeah. And you'd be surprised by stuff. Like you'd scroll and suddenly you'd see something you didn't expect to see. Right. And I think at a certain point I just stopped being surprised. And at that point I just kind of fell away from like, I stopped posting on Tumblr and then it's now it's kind of this ghost town. Like I, I don't I might delete have- my Tumblr. Yeah? I feel like so much of the internet needs to just be impermanent. I mean, I feel like the coming war will purge all of that. Uh, yes, I'd like to click on that chapter heading, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the coming war that will purge all information, Connor? Do yeah. tell. The, um, no, when the, when the power grid goes down and makes all internet uh, moot, uh, right. you know... That will be interesting because, you know, we store data in servers. Yeah. And different companies have different servers where we store different aspects of this data. We, like, share it. Yeah. So it become this thing where, like, that information still exists digitally somewhere, but everybody just owns their, holds on to their piece of it again. Yeah. Which is sort of a wild thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, like... Like, I remember when a friend of mine uh, named Barry Kirk, who works in, like, marketing type stuff, I remember when he uh, first, like, mentioned Twitter to me. It was before it was a publicly known thing. And he's, like, was, like, asking my opinion. He was asking the opinion of various people, like, what do you think about this thing? It's called Twitter. It's where you do this, this. Everything, like, ugh, that sounds dumb. Right. I thought it sounds so dumb. And, you know, never would have occurred to me that we'd end up in a place where the first thing the president does is ask for his tweets to be printed out so he could read his own tweets. Like, how quickly we got from it being this, like, unknown thing to, like, oh, this thing has an actual, like, consequence. Or, like, the Supreme Court demanding that the president unblock 
journalist. Yes. I had a, I'm going to, we're going to have a guest on because I'm going to call, Jeff Falzone just called and I want to see what he was calling about. Here, turn off the air conditioner. Actually, no, no, right? Yes. Let's see what happens here. Have I ever heard Jeff's voice? I don't know. Oh, he's not going to pick up. Oh, hey. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're on, you're on 12 hour day. It's 12 hour day. You're on 12 hour day right now. This is Jeff Falzone. Hey, I'm talking into my computer. Well, it's coming out of my phone and into a microphone. A thousand dollar microphone. Well, what's happening in 12 hour day that's required you to have some private time? It's not. Oh, I'm it's here not. too. He's here. He was just being polite. Hi, Jeff. Jay. Hey, JD. Jeff, have we ever spoken aloud? Well, we've never spoken aloud, and this is a surreal experience. There's no doubt about it. I guess I don't think I've ever heard your voice. Though I've, I've, yeah. I've heard your voice maybe from when you were like a sixth grader. <laughs> yeah. From your like movies? Yeah, you've heard snips of my voice. But I've oh, heard plenty of... Twelfth grade? Right. Yeah. So, how's they been? Uh, pretty low-key. I think it's a low-key episode, but I think it's there's a lot of substance to it. Um, I think the bits, I think the bits are fewer and farther between than in perhaps other ones because JD and I aren't yeah. operating on a tremendous amount of s- sleep. But I think we've answered a lot of uh, viewer listener questions, and uh, yeah. I think it should be a satisfying episode. Especially, I don't mean I don't know. I don't know how long people. You know, it's been a long time since the last episode was recorded. Less of a long time since it was released. Um, so I don't know how much expectation people are building up and if we really need to deliver something rock'em sock'em in the final hour, you know? This is so surreal because, I mean, one of my favorite things about 12 Hour Days is listening to JD worry about how it's going. Yeah. And it's always going so well. I haven't worried at all. I haven't think I've worried aloud this episode at all. Yeah. So maybe it's going to be a bad episode because I haven't worried about it. Yeah. Oh, I actually, no, I, no, I can already tell. I can already tell. The last one was the most challenging only because of those moments when uh, you're at the windows. But that was also hilarious. Yeah, and we already had one person tweeted at us that they really liked that and wanted more of that kind of uh, thing. This has been a, more of a somber episode. Yeah, I mean... I, I've almost fallen asleep so many times today because I'm just so exhausted. And JD's pretty tired as well, although you've, you've rallied more than I have, I think. Yeah, having... How much, how much longer do you have? Uh, a couple hours, maybe, hour and a half. Yeah, an hour and a half. Something like that. Yeah. Um, JD, uh, tried, JD tried some yogurt, and he doesn't, he doesn't like yogurt. I think we already knew that. Was he just trying to push, push back? He's trying to push through it. Yeah, we tried to do a little experiment. And, he, and he, he came out okay with it. You know? Although I think I'm allergic to coconut. Oh, really? Because my throat's really scratchy right now. That's not allergic. It just scratched your throat. No, I know what the difference is. I'm having... The I'm, coconut scratch your throat going down. No, it, it's it not allergy. like a bug that grabs out of my throat. No, it's just the rough texture of the coconut and you have a delicate throat. Don't call my throat delicate. It's delicate. Um, Jeff, what's your... Have you yourself? What? Have you challenged yourself today? Have I challenged myself? I don't think I have. 
No. I mean, just doing it is a challenge because I just <laughs> he tweeted at Coke away. and Pepsi. I, I tweeted at Coke and Pepsi to see if they were, any either of them would tweet back at me. So far, they haven't. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, everybody should tweet. Everyone listening to this should tweet at Coca Cola and Pepsi, and and say why didn't you res- why don't you respond to any tweets? I think that's a good tweet. Why don't you respond to any tweets? <laughs> what were they ignore? What requests were you making of them? I said to both of them, please, uh, please respond to this. I said, my friend JD doesn't think you will respond to it. And I also alerted them, each of them, that I was sending a tweet, a similar tweet to the other one, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So they have yeah, incentives yeah. to, they have incentives to. I'm going to have to start tweeting at them things like, I found a, 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 a there was a, a pebble in my Coke or something. And then they'll be like, we're so sorry. Please call this number. Like, I'm going to have to start tweeting complaints that sound like legitimate. Yeah. Yeah, I did that to MoviePass. I saw that somebody wanted to ask you guys about MoviePass. Did you address that question? Did you buy MoviePass, Jeff? Yeah, we did it for two months. We did it for two months and then it went belly up. Well, for us, it went belly up. Uh, How did you experience it going belly up? Well, first of all, let me say this. It actually got us, I started going to the movies again a lot because of it. Hey. Hey. It works in that sense. I got out. But then it, it, it started taking away all the options. So one day we wanted to go see a movie uh, and it said, we looked on the movie pass screen and it gave us like two options and they were movies we never heard of. So we just canceled. Yeah. Mo- yeah. More like, mo- more like movie pass. <laughs> yeah, I'll pass. Um, what do you think's a good way to end a podcast episode, Jeff? Yeah, Jeff, you got to give us something to take us home here. Like, what's a good... You're, you're sort of like the Mr. Wilson of this podcast anyway, so you have a pretty good ability to direct us down the path uh, of requirement. Yeah, but you, but you guys, I mean, how many, what is it, is this number 14 or 15? 15. 15. Oh, you know what? Yeah. What if we just napped for the last hour? That's always been a hit in the past when you've just fallen asleep. But it's but we've never done it at the end of a podcast. But also, it's you're probably gonna go home and go to sleep. What do you mean? Right after this, so yeah. you'd nap, so then nap wake and then up, wake up, and you have to be like, "This is the end of the podcast." Unless you want to stay here tonight on the couch, Connor. Um, What's your psychogeography right now? Like, where are you? I'm in JD's house. I'm on his couch. It would be hilarious if. We did a, an episode of it that we got to this point of it, and I just slept over and we just recorded through the night. So it's like, it would be like... 24-hour. A, 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 yeah, 24-hour podcast that has a full night's sleep and breakfast. <laughs> um, uh, I think I that think might happen if we get a sponsor. Yeah. I think that would be the first episode that I would do if we got this, for mass- mattresses. If we got picked this up by a by a podcasting network and they were like willing to give us a budget, I'd be like, "Yeah, we'll do the overnight episode." Yeah, we'll sleep. We'll do the full episode. I'll sleep over, and then you get that breakfast boco in the morning. We should have hotels pay for us to go to their hotel. And do I a would happily go to a nice hotel and do a twelve-hour day episode live from the hotel. I would talk about anything they wanted me to talk about. 
Be sure to check out the Marriott Rewards program. It's really a great deal. All right, Jeff, give us give us a direction for this last hour. It's all on you. you in this, if it's the last hour, oh, it helps so much if I knew what you guys been. Uh, what? Wasn't me. I didn't hang that up. I didn't hang Lee up. Connor? I didn't hang up. My phone went, I know you're on my computer for some reason, and it went to sleep. Oh, that's why. Um, it's, it's been a, a pretty reflective episode. A lot of internal ruminations and thoughts, and then a lot of pop culture talk about, surprise, Elvis Costello. Why did you say that with that tone, J.D.? Because, because yeah. this is pretty much half an Elvis Costello podcast at this point. We barely talked about Costello. Jeff, we talked about the, the NBA for 90 minutes. That's not true. It was like four well, minutes. What did you have to say about the NBA, Connor? Well, let me tell you. I'm going to try and recreate what... I'm going to see if I can Oh, no, you're going to be a jerk on purpose. No, no. I'm going to genuinely see if I can... Okay. So, Jeff, you know, you know about LeBron, right? So, yes. LeBron was in... Uh, um, LeBron was in, oh God, Cleveland, and he was the hometown guy. And I already knew this part, but I'm just trying to set myself up so I can remember it. And he leaves Cleveland because he, they couldn't get in the, in the championship. They couldn't, he was just like, I got to go somewhere. So suddenly, the hometown guy was just like, nobody, they were furious with him. And he went to Florida, right? Florida? Yep. And he was doing all right in Florida, but then at a certain point, he said, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Cleveland. So LeBron is always competing for the East. He's always getting to the championship in the East. But You're doing least, it. In the West, now, there was a team that had three players on it who were all really, really great. Yep. Do you know who they are, Jeff? One of them was Kevin Durant. Yep. One of them was yep. uh, Jamsbley Sands. <laughs> I close it. You got, what was it? You got James Harden. James Harden. And then a third yeah. one. And... Every year, and they were on the team. They were on the... Russell Westerberg. What? Russell Westerberg. Russell Westerberg. And they were on the Calvert City Colts. What's the team called? Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City... Thunder. Thunder. And everyone wanted to see what would happen when this team would go up against Cleveland and LeBron. Yep. But every year, it was like a heartbreaker. They would never... They would almost make it, but then they would get the Golden State... Warriors. Warriors would win instead. And it was so close. Sometimes it would be like by two points. Do you, is this ringing a bell, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, some of it is. Most of it is. You know this stuff, right? You like ba- basketball. Uh, and so finally we got to a point where Kevin Durant said, guess what? I'm leaving Oklahoma City Thunder and I'm going to play for the Golden State Warriors. So basically he's like switching sides like like to the, the their enemy. And and I don't remember how it ends. What's the big cliffhanger well, that's, now? That's a cliffhanger. What's now Durant's so now, run two they oh, won but also, two. LeBron LeBron left Cleveland to go to Los Angeles. Los Angeles, so he's not in the East anymore. To make Space Jam 2. And he's going to make a new Space Jam movie. 
And yeah. so, so now that that competition, because also LeBron, they he already won one championship for Cleveland. So he's yeah. like, I did, I, yeah. I did what I was, said I was going to do, which was I'm going to bring a championship to Cleveland. And but meanwhile, James Harden, Harden, he's furious with Kevin Durant for leaving. Russell Westbrook's furious. Oh, Russell Westbrook's furious. How does James Harden feel about it? Well, he also left Oklahoma City. We didn't tell tra- me he, that. Well, no, he got traded away. It wasn't really his choice. How could you save that for me? And now he's like, I'm he won MVP last year. Yeah, what's your opinion, JD? On what? These are all just facts. Golden State's the, Golden State's the, under, the super underdog, but now they've been winning for so long that are they an underdog anymore? No way. Now they're just Not with the Kevin Durant. Now they're just emperor, yeah. With with Durant, it's not fun anymore. People say it's ruining the NBA. But LeBron's changed. The East is wide open, and the West has tons of teams that are really good. But will anyone take down Golden State? I doubt it. But there's a bunch of young guys coming up, and a lot of those teams are aging. Golden State, they might be out of their prime. Who's going to take the throne next? Jeff, who's going to win in the East? In the East, I don't know enough to know. I, I, I'm really curious who JD likes the most. Well, I'm I'm about the Chicago Bulls. They're not gonna have a good season. Boston, I bet, could win the East. Uh, that's where Kyrie Irving, who is the guy that was second to LeBron James in Cleveland, and then left LeBron James in Cleveland to be by himself. Ooh. That was a whole drama. Anyways, I only hear thirty percent of that, but I, I have one more thing I want to say for sure. Yeah, I want to hear JD give me at least. Yeah, I don't think I've said anything about the nature of the new album. Yes. Um, but he can give me some inf- He can tell you what he's learned today. Yes. Okay, so um, Elvis Costello uh, did, a tour, did a tour once. He did this tour where he did like five performances per city. It was uh, one with uh, two with the attractions, three with the attractions, two were the hits. One was just like uh, the new stuff. Uh, one with a bunch of musicians that were the old guys, just the boys, and they, they would just play whatever songs you wanted. There was some sort of spinning. I, I have this image in my head of like some sort of uh, overhead projector that would choose what song this was. It was a big carnival wheel. It's a big carnival wheel. Um, and then one that was just Elvis Costello playing solo, man, just doing his thing, going out there. Um, and the problem was that some certain fans would go with the tour to every location, and they're like, I'm so sick of Elvis playing this same song over and over again. And it's like, hey, man, he didn't make this tour for you to see every show. He made this tour for people to sort of pick and choose the shows they want to go to and experience the whole thing themselves. Did I just conflate two things? Yeah, I don't think people complain about that tour because there was so much got variety. It, got it, got it, got it. But generally, like, they'll go on what another was, what tour. What was the point of that the story about the five different shows at once? Oh, um... Just that he did that. Oh, it was just an example. Oh, it was so that I could mention that Penn Gillette... Oh, yeah, uh, and Penn Gillette, they did a whole bit where Penn acted like the audience really wanted him to play this Prince song, and that the audience was, like, chanting to force him to play this Prince song, so he played a Prince song. Um, and that's how Penn Gillette and Elvis Costello... And then Penn responded to Connor's tweets about Elvis Costello today. Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh, this is great. 
Um, I'm curious if you two had to choose between getting a, a two tickets to um, one of the playoff games next year in basketball or two tickets to Costello touring for his new album, how you two would dialogue, like how you figure out which one you had to choose. Here's, here's what I think would happen. Yeah. I think we'd go to Elvis Costello because I think I could put on a good face to enjoy a concert. And I think you would make a show out of how unhappy you were at the NBA game. No, I mean, I, I think if we had four tickets, I think we'd be happy like, to go to both things. Yeah. Uh, I don't think... I do think we'd go to the Costello if we had to choose one. Yes. Um, but that's also because there are other ways to watch the playoffs, whereas there's not really another way to experience that particular concert, mostly. You sure. know what I mean? You can, sure. You get, yeah. Like, it's fun yeah. to go see live sporting events, but that's also not your general way of experiencing a... Though it is so much better. Oh, yeah. Get seats up close. See how athletic they are. Ah. I think Gosh. I can appreciate Elvis Costello more than Connor can appreciate NBA basketball. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and I, I actually think anybody listening to the way you each recounted each other's topics would agree with that. Why? No, Connor, you did a good job. You did a good job. Jeff, you don't have to do that but... to him. <laughs> I had to remember a lot more than he did. He's a grown man. He can take you it. You did. You did a great job. But, okay, then I'm just basing it off of knowing that J.D. does have a love for music and loves good lyrics and loves that, so I could just see him enjoying Costello I love more music. than you. Yeah, but I also I don't appreciate that you suggested that I was being sarcastic in the way that I went through my recap. I hope anyone listening notices I didn't say sarcastic. It was a different criteria I was using. What was it? You said sarcastic because you were being sarcastic. What was it? Was, you were... <laughs> You sounded. Um, I was just I pleased know, that I was able to prove that I was listening through it all. Yeah, you sounded the way like if you were in if you were in home ec class or something. You were just repeating that you had understood what you had learned. Right. I had passion behind it, it. Some would say I'm sort of a performer. I had a flair to the stories that I'm telling as I tell them. Yeah, I just. I, There's some more flair. More flair. More flair. All right, Jeff. Here's final question for you. Here. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a platform now that you can talk to the people, to me. What's something about Connor growing up that you think people should understand? Something that maybe has been misrepresented for better, or for worse or for better, or just something that we don't know about Con the, the image of Connor that you know from growing up with Connor? Oh, my God. Or maybe a misconception we might have about the kind of, kind of kid Connor was. I mean, oh my God, it's a testament to show how, how tempting this question is and how hard it is because you guys cover so much ground. Um, oh, wow. That, did you guys hear that sound my computer just made? No. It was the, your battery's running low. Hold on. Okay. JD. Then, then you got to answer quick, Jeff. Connor, yeah. can you give me guidance on this? Any What? I don't know. I guess, like, what, what? how would you describe me if you were to describe what I was like in high school? Yeah, because I think that's more the question is, we describe ourselves a lot, okay. but it's rare that we get someone that can describe the okay. other one. 
Okay, that's good. That that answered it for me. Okay, so what I what I would imagine most people listening to this and who even know you and Connor through your comedy, your work, they don't know about Connor is that he has he exponentially he's grown in terms of just how out there he is in the world and how I mean Connor, what's a good example of when we were in high school and we first met what you just weren't willing to do? Um, I don't know. It's, That's surprising to me that you'd say that. It is? Yeah, like, was the, the, my general impression was that, like, there's this Connor, there's lots of stuff he won't do. <laughs> no, it's, it's, no, 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 it's not that. Because He's just not willing. <laughs> what? He's just not willing. Also, don't say it if it's a shock to you. <laughs> the guy who glorps down smooth vegetable smoothies like a fish man and, and only wears uh, cartoon shoes. I kind of hear what JB's saying. This is a terrible connection. No, don't worry. I'm just, I'm just making fun of Connor for negating what you're saying. <coughs> yeah, he's not negating it, but I'm not giving a good concrete example because... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, now all, now my brain, of course, goes to all the counterexamples. Connor was, he campaigned for me in high school when I had to run for a student council, and he was out there and did everything. I did nothing. Connor did everything. Um, yeah. And you won. Does, can I intuit that maybe, can I intuit that maybe Connor was someone who, like, was funny and, out there and outgoing, but within your group of friends and within your world, and so the the thing now is that like Connor's putting himself out there into the general public in the world a lot more than you would have expected, though he was doing these yeah. funny things and being out there, but among your group of friends and your world. Yeah, that's a good example. That's a good example. Also, that uh, I think that something happened around 2009 for Connor where totally understood that he just and Connor you can correct this but it feels like you understood you were just going to do the things that worked for you that made you happy and move forward in that way in a way that was a thousand times more calm and steady than you've ever been before maybe I will say the other thing is though that like that I was always performing stuff from like a young age so I, I think in terms of like the public aspects I think it would be a mistake to say that I was like funny in a, like a friendship group, but like shy in a bigger sense. Because I think I was always like yeah. doing yeah, performative things. Yeah, and you had your you in high school. Connor created a uh, I don't know a bi monthly um, comic strip that we made copies of and passed all over the school. I mean, he was out there. He was out there. But your confidence and your willingness to just do what you're going to do is an amazing thing. Also, I don't know if most people know how strong Connor's legs are. That's probably true. <laughs> what? They have strong legs. They are like rocks. If you touch Connor's leg, especially if you're allowed to touch his bottom, he is... They are rocks. Yeah, you got you got some quads there. Yeah. Dancer, dancer's legs. I was always shocked touching Connor's body. Well, there you have it. There you Jeff, have it. that's exclusive. Up. I was always shocked touching touching Connor's body. All right, Jeff. You know that's true. Okay, well, you guys, I think you're you're probably within 
60 minutes now? Yeah, we're in the so final I... stretch. Okay. Th- thank you for being on the podcast, Jeff. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Huge honor. Huge honor. Thank you, guys. You guys are the best, and I love, I, I love everything about this show. All right, great. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Jeff. Talk Bye. Yep. Bye-bye. What a friend. What Jeff a great guy. Like a good friend. He's a good guy. He's a great guy. He's the best. Um, I... Oh boy. Um what else you got? I don't know if I I don't know what I've got, you know. Um I was trying to think of the other day of the one of the times I've laughed the hardest. And you want to know what one of them was? Yeah. When you wouldn't stop playing that goddamn audio of the like tree schmumpkins. Mon- the cheese. The munchie cheese. <laughs> I don't know why that was the funniest thing that's I think ever happened to me really it felt like an assault yeah if it felt like you just wouldn't <laughs> I felt inescapable and why why that do you think um I think it's because the whole thing was so ridiculous it was mm-hmm. so just like why does this exist mm-hmm. and then just the the nonstop repetition of that stupid song of the like Whatever it was, like heave ho, heave ho. Yeah, it just made me lose my mind. Ah, uh, that's funny. All right, Connor, what else we want? Um, I was gonna say something. I'm trying to remember what what, what it is exactly. All right, um, here I'm gonna I'm gonna blast through my list. Okay. The problem is some of these things are like discussions that I don't want to have at this point. You mean so late in the episode? Yeah. I went to the Overwatch World Championships, the video game. It was fun to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that? It's like a video game where it's like a team of six people with different characters, different attributes, fighting a different team of six people. Mm-hmm. Sort of cartoony characters that have different strengths and weapons and things like that. Uh, and me and my college friends will play it online with each other as a way to sort of keep in touch. Yeah. And we also will follow the like professional league, which is like this like worldwide league. And then they had the championships in Barclays Center that we went to and it was packed and it was really fun. Yeah. Um, that's sort of everything that's, oh, here's something. Um, do you remember last episode when Winston talked about his podcast, Mission cool. to Zix. Yes. That you've done. Yes. I listened to it. Yeah. I love that show. I haven't caught up with it fully, but I really love what I know of it. I like listen to like every episode straight while I was working over uh-huh. the course of like a week. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. I thought it was really good. If Twelve Heads, if you're looking for a podcast, I highly recommend you listen to Mission to Zix. If you like improvisational, <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> Where'd you get that from? Is that just still on your phone? Oh, it's on my Instagram. 
We can't end this podcast with this again. We can't. This, this didn't have enough to go to the well once, let alone twice. Um, the, um... Um, here's some other things I got. I've been trying to finish these scripts. It's been hard. Writing? Yeah. Because um, I found that the things that I'm writing about are things that are things that I'm trying to deal with. And mm-hmm. then as I make progress, what I'm trying to say in the script changes. Right. So I keep being like, got it. And then I'll learn stuff about myself and then be like, uh-huh. Yeah. And then the script changes. Um... I've been playing this video game, Destiny 2. That's a lot of fun. I played, I downloaded this game, Nino Kuni 2, which was a follow-up to a game that um, Studio Ghibli did the animations for, but the mm-hmm. sequel was not by them, and the sequel was so bad, is not good at all. Yeah. Um, or at least I was not enjoying it, personally. It was not the things that I liked about it. Mission Impossible movies, boy, oh boy, have I been having fun watch, catching up and watching Mission Impossible movies. Really is a remarkable... Like, I'm struck by how that franchise gets stronger at the point when most franchises start to die, you know? Yes. Like, the fact that... It's, it's, first of all, it's astonishing that you would have a franchise where the, the first entry uh, is Brian De Palma, and it now would be regarded as, like, one of the minor entries in the series. Yeah. And... The second one, I think most people probably agree, is maybe the least the low point yeah. of the thing, and even that's not a. It's, it's not just a hard, so hard to follow. And then the third one is like, well, the third one might be better than the first two, and then the yeah. fourth one's like, oh no, the fourth one's the best one yet. Right. And then since since then, I feel like we're now on five and six, right? Yeah, I think so. Four, five, and six is a better trilogy than one, two, and three. Yes, that is crazy. For a, for, a, for a franchise with the same act, it's not like a reboot at some point. It's like he, Tom Cruise has done such a great job of just figuring out a way to like shepherd that into something. And do you know they don't like write the script until they're shooting? What? Like they don't have a script until they like are on set trying to figure it out. They shoot it like kids shoot a movie, kind of. I love that. Yeah, you should. There's some interesting interviews with uh, what's his name, the guy that's directed the last two. Yeah, and it's like Macquarie, right? Yeah, Chris Macquarie, and apparently it's like wild, where it's like they'll they'll be at a location, being like, "Well, he's got to get out of here, so how are we gonna do it? Huh? Maybe it's this, and, and they'll be like, writing on the fly. They're like, "Oh, good. Then he can. All right. Well, we need mountains. Okay, where can we go to mountain? And it's like they shoot it like that. Whoa, I love it. I and love the it. action, yeah, is almost getting better as he's getting older. It is. Well, he does that smart thing, which is just like make it look like your characters. It's not all easy for him, you know. Yeah, and just be okay being old. Yeah, and like the thing where like they showed him break his foot in this one. Yeah, it's like wild. Um. Yeah, I love that he's not the best fighter in the thing. You know, no. like. Um, he's just like dogged yeah yeah it's great Um, and great play country great um, 
yeah, and it's also it's also interesting because like it's not like Tom Cruise is infallible. Like he's had plenty of things that where he's like tries something that doesn't quite quite yeah. work or whatever. But oh boy, does he? Yeah. Yeah, but um, but those movies are just so exciting, so fun, and it's also a little bit of that thing of like. Like, the way that, that that movie, like, goes out of its way to, like, show you, like, we're not faking this part. Yeah. You know, like, we're, we're really, he's really flying a helicopter. He's really I doing know, this, so you know. I know, crazy that he does all that stuff. Yeah. Ugh. Anything else on I your hope list? Tom, I hope Tom Cruise doesn't die making a Mission Impossible movie. But if he does, you heard it here first. On 12-hour day. If I'm Tom Cruise and I have to choose how I'm going to go. Yeah. That ain't so bad. It's not the worst, folks. Let's face it. Um, one thing I'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, is two things I'll tell you. Um... Because I didn't say this before, and I feel like I want to say it just because I just to get it out there as a thing that this love you too, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the the new Costello album that's coming out. Oh gosh, just kidding. I think because I think it'll relate to this. It's literally the album that I've been waiting for him to make since like 1994. Like when I became a fan. All I wanted him to do was to make an album that was like uses his band, but also like is doing like orchestral kind of like arranged pop music. Right. Because he did one of those like early in his career, but it was before he knew how to like write musical notation. I'm like, I want one where he's using everything he's learned. Right. But is still using his core band. And over the years, he's come close. He's made orchestral pop albums, but it's about like Backrack and it's not his band. Or he's made albums of the band but they're like quick and dirty like Americana type music and it's not orchestrated and he's come close all this all this time and not only is that what this album is going to be it features two songs that I've been like actively like lobbying for him to record and release for two decades like where I've just been like when is he going to record and release these two songs that he played in concert like in 99 like right. it's my one like consistent like message board Twitter everywhere where I'm always like I wish he'd record this song that he did with Carol Kane like literally when I went on Will Hines and Anthony King's yeah. podcast two of the songs that I played on that podcast are the songs that are on this album that I played like the a live version right. and like a, another person's cover of them like I wish he'd record these right. so it is like the closest thing to like a you personal wish yeah. wishing come true kind of album the other thing is I'm going to announce to you because I don't think I said it before what my next mega thread is going to be did I say what it was um, the work of J.D. Amato and that would be a fun one would you like that J.D. no I really wouldn't I, uh, I, I actively that would actually really bother me if I what would bother you most about that? Just the... You didn't like the spotlight on you? No. What if I spoil what's in that book, that, you sh that secret book you showed earlier? Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> so what's the next one? For Mickey Mouse's 90th birthday. Oh my God. I'm going to watch every Mickey Mouse cartoon. And 
it's partly because I don't think I've seen them all, and I kind of want to There's watch There's so them. many, though. It's like a handful of DVDs. It's not really... It's a, like a couple hundred cartoons or something. Wait, um, every appearance of Mickey Mouse? Not every appearance. All of his short subjects, and then... Got it. It's actually not that many, because... So I was going to say, he appears in a ton of stuff post-90s. Uh, yo, yeah, it wouldn't be like... You're watching the Disney Channel, <laughs> just like bumpers. Right, but there's also the like House of Mouse like or like those. It's like him and Minnie. Yeah, no way. No, it's really it's just like the golden era while Walt Disney is alive. Just the theatrical works. Uh, so it's like from Plane Crazy, Galpagacho, Steamboat Willie, from those like first three, right up through when he like they were tied because he like, he kind of has like a a similar arc to Porky Pig in the sense that he starts off as like a bigger star. And then eventually he's kind of like, has like a... Right. I mean, with Mickey Mouse, it's weird because like the last Mickey Mouse cartoon is sort of like unceremoniously just like 1953 or something. This is the last Mickey Mouse theatrical short or whatever until right. like 1984's Mickey's Christmas Carol or something. And it's kind of like, wow, for like a big, for like a big cartoon star, like it, there's no like, right. we're retiring him with fanfare or something. It's just like, yeah, we just stopped making him. People didn't want to see him anymore. I'm trying to think of what other things I'd like you to cover. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much, how many more of these mega threads I have in me, but I kind of thought, oh, that would be kind of an interesting one because people do make a big deal out of those big milestone birthdays. Like, right. Not, him turning 90 feels like, um, I mean, I'm not, I, I doubt that I'm going to be in a position where when Mickey Mouse turns 100, I'm going to be like, time to do a Twitter thread or whatever yeah, the right. equivalent of that is then. So it's kind of like, it's kind of an excuse for me to watch those cartoons and see for myself, like, are these great? Are these mostly okay? Are they, right. you know, like, what holds up about them? What does it? Because I always am fascinated when I read, like, I remember reading an account of, like, when Mickey Mouse was at the height of his popularity that, like, it would be, like, the middle of the afternoon and a theater full of, like, grown adults are just howling with laughter at how funny the latest Mickey Mouse cartoon is. And it's like, well, yeah, because, like, What's funnier than Mickey Mouse prior to Mickey Mouse? Like right. Chaucer? What are you, like what is it the people Mark Twain books? Like it's hard to think of like what is a silly uh, vibrant comedic thing that like visually is Yeah, you know like it, it's it's yeah. like it's hard from this perspective to look at those and think like those are hilarious. But it's harder to think of like well what was the thing that was like brighter and zippier and faster right. and like Watching Mickey Mouse like molest a cow or something was, you know. Have you ever seen The Wizard of Speed and Time? I was wondering what that poster was before. Oh, interesting. I think you might appreciate it. Though I think it's like slightly after your nostalgia. Yeah. It's a little later. But um, I have the. I am the Wizard of Speed and Time. The realm of film is where I shine. So this, this guy, Mike Jitlov, who... Actually, here's how, why you would like it. He did a lot of special effects work for Disney. And mm -hmm. he made this short film called The Wizard of Speed and Time that started getting like projected at like sci-fi conventions and passed around as a sort of cool short film. And it even made it onto like a... Like, it was like a wonderful world of Disney kind of thing. Uh-huh. And then he ended up getting the funding to make this feature-length version of it 
that is a movie about him trying to get the funding to make the feature-length version of oh, it. Oh, wow. But it's sort of bitter and, like, anti-union and, like, very weird. And he's sort of famous for being the guy that created, like, what people call now, like, pixelation, which is where, like, you animate yourself. Yeah. Like, thing by thing. And so he would make himself look like he was running really fast around the world. Um, but he sort of made this and that's it mm-hmm. on top of all the special effects stuff he did and then was just like sort of bitter about the whole thing yeah um, here I'll play you uh, at least a piece of the short because I think you would get a kick out of it um, dun 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 Here, this is a whole short. It's three minutes. This looks really good. Yeah, right? (coughs) Like, the shots of him running look great. Right? Ooh. Write the song? He reminds me a little bit, there's something about this expression that reminds me a little bit of uh, Mike Nelson from Mystery Science Theater, who is Joel's replacement. Yes. 
Like he has that similar kind of like something about his smile looks the same. That sort of is the feature version of the song. The realm of film is where I shine. I also feel like he's like sort of this guy that like maybe could have been that like Weird Al kind of guy. Uh-huh. But just like the cards didn't land in the right place and maybe he didn't yeah. have the right attitude. And so it just didn't happen for him. <coughs> but he's got this one movie. And this is a poster by Kelly Frias, who's mm-hmm. like a very famous poster designer. Yeah. And this one's actually signed by Kelly Frias. Oh, wow. Imagination. I will help you find your way. Um, what's the poll at? Seventy-six to twenty-four. Wow! So it's creeping, it's creeping, it's creeping away. Oh wait, is there a person that surprised us lately? Um, I answer that. We said we'd think about it. Person who's surprised lately? I mean, yeah, there probably is a probably is some news story where some celebrity no, 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 surprised no, no. in a, a negative friend. way a or a friend I think the idea is a, a person you've known for a while but sort of discovered their greatness recently mm-hmm. I don't think there is I don't think I've interacted with anybody lately that has been like that I don't know their deal you know mm-hmm. um, I've become good friends not whoa I use words that are far from the truth I've talked more with my upstairs neighbors mm-hmm. who are very nice and know we've lived and not communicated much in the past four years now I'm like oh they actually seem pretty cool pretty yeah. nice um, although the people that moved in just above yeah are a little they're fun they're very kind yeah but they're like I think a little younger yeah and so like both me and the, up, the top upstairs people we're like, who are they? What their deal is? And like, they're like not talking to any of us. And we're like, there's only three apartments in this building. We all sort of know each other. Yeah. So you can't just sort of be like, I don't know. Yeah. That's the gossip. That's the gossip. I don't really know them. And any, every interaction I had had them has been positive, and they've been very kind, nice people. <coughs> um, I mean, it was, apart from the fact that that was like a YouTube video, so there was some you know, like the picture quality isn't yeah. great when it's blown up like that. Those effect shots of him running look really impressively yeah, good. Yeah, they're really good. I mean, he was a top special effects guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hilarious to me that the larger version of that would be like, like, if you'd asked me what I want from the feature-length version of that film, his opinion about unions would be very low on the list of... Well, it's like very like uhf where it's like parody of the film industry and like a lot of like... You can't do this. The union decree decrees it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, hopes and dreams to future. You said you're gonna think about that. Oh yeah. How do I have any? Um, well, it's. I mean, there's some things that are like not on my radar anymore that would have been in the past. Like I think we talked recently about like. Stuff like the Terry Withers mysteries, where it's kind of like, well, I don't really have it in my right. It's not really in my uh, wish basket anymore. I don't 
see anything happening with it, you know? And <coughs> let me just look to see, do I have a... Sometimes I have, like, a file that has, like, a list of possible... Um... Yeah, like, I mean, the, yeah, I feel like I'm at a low, I, I, I guess one of my goals is to try to figure out a professional level project, because I feel like I have, uh, I'm great at coming up with projects that are good creative outlets for me, like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm lacking for creative for creative, like, um, expression. Uh, but I do feel like I need to think of a thing that I can turn into a job, you know? I've, we should write something together for you. Yeah. A counter vehicle. Yeah, I would like to. Um, it's also that thing of, I don't want to say it on the, uh, I don't want to say it on the podcast, but after my talk show on that one, after my talk show thing died, I went in and had a meeting with the yeah. producers again. And I was like, uh, what, what's like a next step? Let's like figure something else out. And they were like, well, at the moment it's really just like, you got to have like a good hook, you know, like it's, it's hard to sell something unless it has like a, either a really famous person or a great hook. And in the room, I was like, well, what about this for a hook? And everyone in the room was like, oh, yeah, that's a great hook. And then we were kind of developing a thing. And then it just kind of seemed to just kind of float away. Like, it seemed like, I don't know if people just got busy or what, but it sort of felt like, uh, and that's a frustrating feeling when you feel like uh, you're in a situation where people are like, well, there's got to be a this. And you're like, well, how about this? And everyone's like, yeah, that's a this. And then it doesn't. I want to talk to you about a project after we stop recording. Okay. I have a thing that I've been thinking about. Okay. Mouth it to me. I can't. <laughs> it's like a new thing. I haven't talked yeah. to you about it at all. Um, the. <coughs> uh, here's a good question. Yeah. Chris Hertz. Any predictions that you think will have come true by the time the episode releases? I mean, what's the what do you think the time frame is for the this episode? I don't know. I could get it out within a week, but my guess it'll be like two weeks. I bet within two weeks, two or three weeks. Um. Um, I what could come true in the next two weeks that I think would be I mean right well, now we're in the midst of like the Supreme Court uh, uh, fiasco well here's 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 yeah. one that's more personal for right now I um, we almost didn't record today because I thought I was going to be working on a new show uh huh do you think <coughs> I'll work on that new show or not? Yes, I do. Interesting. Did you just get a message that 
Um, no, I think you will. Uh, I do not. You do not think so. Yeah. Uh, because you think someone else will work on it, or you think the new show will not happen? I don't know. I just, I, there's something caused me that's like, move on. Uh-huh. It's only been something I've been considering for the past three days, but still. That's my prediction. I think you'll hear something by Friday. Interesting. And it'll be news of what's happening, but it'll be like there's a delay, but you're still interesting in the mix. It's just there it wasn't as urgent to get a hold of it. I think they've been dealing with something more urgent for the past oh, 48 boy. hours. Yeah. I bet so. Um, I think... Maybe not within the next two weeks. I think you're going to get... Actually, maybe in the next couple weeks. I think you're going to get an unexpected bite on something creative. Mm -hmm. From like a celebrity or someone. Yeah. Like something's going to manifest that will feel like it's been out of nothing. From whole cloth. Huh. <coughs> um. It's funny, I don't have much to say today. I mean, that's funny saying that after At 12 hours of talking straight. <laughs> um, but I feel like the past couple... Sometimes there's been a lot of like, ooh, I got this thing and these ideas, and I'm more like, no, I've just sort of barely made it through the past couple months. Not barely made it through. It's been a tough couple months where I've been very focused on trying to get healthy. Yeah, that's important. But because of that, I think I've rightly prioritize that above other things and I don't really have any hot takes or I'm just sort of like happy to maintain yeah and improve um I I mean, it's almost October, and I don't have anything lined up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have, uh, I don't have any like projects on the horizon. I don't have any prospects in the sense of like, I don't have any like. Right. There's nothing that I know of that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I'm not too stressed about it, but it is like. You know, like, October will become November, and then once December happens, it's kind of like, well, stuff doesn't happen in December unless you're already, you know, like, that's not when new right. stuff happens. So it almost feels like, well, that's the rest of this year. And then it's like, well, what's happening in January? Like, it sort of feels like uh, the, the... the it's weird to not have anything on the horizon after a couple of years where there's always been something on the horizon or at least the possibility of something, you know? I've had 
not I've been not focusing on work for months. Yeah. I mean, this one job opportunity sort of came out of the blue, truly came out of the blue. But if that goes away, then I'm back to this place where I'm like, well, yeah. I think I'm going to, and I, that was a choice that I made, but now I'm like sort of feeling it. Yeah. <sighs> I really like doing this. It's It's funny because like choosing to do this like 45 day Twitter thread has kind of been like in some ways a full-time job for which I'm not, you know, like I'm not paid for it. I'm not, I'm, it's not, if anything, it's like a, at best, it's like a, uh, promotional welcome bit of gorilla fan promotion. At worst, it's like maybe completely unwelcome. It may be that this is something that's like actively irritating to, uh, the people involved in the record. You know what I mean? That like, right. That's just like something that a crazy person is doing. Um, Maybe. The, but it is a thing where it's like the investment of time is significant. Uh, and, and on days when I'm busy with other things, I'm kind of like, like this is the first day where I've had the thing where I just carve out a big chunk of time where it's like I'm not going to work on it for this span of the day, which is why I sort of stayed up last night getting a head start. So it'd be like, well, it's, I'm just sort of balancing it at either end. Like when we're done tonight, I'll tweet for a few hours. That's wild. Because I've got like at least half of the album to get through. And then I gotta prepare for tomorrow, which tomorrow fortunately is kind of a lighter day. What day of this is what day? Tomorrow will be day twenty three. Of forty? Of forty five. Oh, so I'm yeah, just reaching the halfway point now. That's why I'm so interested if you weren't on social media. Yeah. What you'd be pouring this Well, into. see, the, the thing is, I don't know that I would be necessarily pouring this energy into this particular energy. I probably would be just pouring into, like, listening to the records or something. You know, like, I'd just be doing it privately. Right, but I think that creative energy... It's a very specific creative energy, though. But that, I think it builds up and fills other, other things. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I probably would be maybe working a little bit more on the 33 and a third book proposal if I wasn't doing this. Yeah. But I also think this is sort of like the equivalent of like stretching my muscles before I work on that. Right. Um, it's a good, it's a good like, uh, warm up for that. Um, yeah, I... That's, yeah, but it's a weird, it's a weird uh, moment. Because <clears throat> I also feel like, you know, even though there, there's like, I think, you know, like, obviously, you know, you and I have talked about as far as like, the Gethard show ending and it probably like happening at a good at a, at a good time in terms of like that show kind of proved a lot of the things that it needed to prove and <clears throat> on the one hand you can imagine a world in which it went on a long time but on the other hand you know it probably was uh you know uh you know, if it had ended after season one or two of Fusion, it would have felt like a different thing where we may have felt, I may have felt like slightly unfulfilled. 
Whereas, like, I feel like I got to do a run of things in the True TV season that were kind of like, well, I got to do this, I got to do that. I got, a, got like, a couple of turns at bat that were pretty good. Mm-hmm. And it's a reasonable point in my life to be looking for, like, what's the next thing? Right. But it's also kind of like, what is the next thing? Like, genuinely not knowing. Um, <coughs> as an odd place to be. It'd be um, an exciting place to be, too. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm self-conscious now. Why? That I've, like, made myself out to be this, like, woe is me. My life is so hard. In this episode? Yeah. No. Really? I feel like I have. Um, no, like you just... Has- you've had a, You've had to sort of recover from a pretty intense year of non-stop uh, yeah, stuff, and I've, you know? Yeah, and I just had a, a downturn of mental health stuff. But yeah. that all said, my life is pretty easy compared to a lot of people out there in the world. I think that goes without saying just with the fundamental premise of this podcast. Yeah. I think inherent in the we're recording a 12-hour podcast is the message that other people have it worse off just in the fact that we have time to record a 12-hour podcast that yes. automatically puts us within a uh, a bracket of, like, we know that we have... Uh, we are in a comfortable enough position that we can afford yeah. to take a full day to just talk and record it, and then... And to think that people... Yeah. Deserve, <laughs> that, that our thoughts deserve to be put out in the world. <coughs> I mean, they're just like anybody else's thoughts, I suppose. Yeah. Um... I mean, fundamentally, on some level, this podcast is just, um, the f- it exists because it does. And it's sort of like, you know, if everybody was doing 12-hour podcasts, we probably wouldn't do one. Yeah, that's true. Um, like, if it caught on as a trend, we would probably be like, all right. Yeah, I don't think we'd be like, all right, let's ride this wave. Yeah, like if... That's why I, I, people are always like, oh, man, if I only started being a YouTuber years ago, I'm like, no... I think if I did that and then it started getting to be what it is, I'd be like, no, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm an early adopter of anything. (laughs) Remember earlier when I was like, yeah, the ends of our podcast are always a laugh riot because we're slap happy and punch drunk. We were both, I mean, the, honestly, this is the thing. Like, we're both so tired. We didn't sleep last night. Neither of us really slept last night. So this is the first episode where we're reaching. I don't think I've ever done one of these episodes where when we reach this part of it, especially because I know that... You could go to sleep. Well, I can't, though. I have... I have all this work. Oh, God, it's 11.22. I mean, this is basically... There's so little left of this podcast. It's shocking to me. Yeah. There's so little left in the episode. And... But I slept for a few hours. Maybe three hours. I think I got about three. Yeah. That's not enough to prepare for one of these episodes. No. But... um, but we both stayed awake. We, I mean, I I almost fell asleep several times during this, but... I know. You'd look at your phone. That's what I did. <coughs> I'd what? 
you'd look at your phone as a way to distract yourself. Yeah, just to keep, just to see if it could spark something, you know? Um, and your little root beers don't have caffeine in them because, you know. Yeah, because last, well, last night I had caffeine and I it thought your, I was dying. Your, although I don't think caffeine really has an effect on me. God damn. I mean, I don't notice it. Like, I, I don't ever remember ever having a soda and then feeling energy from it. I like how you're like, yeah, I've never, I've never had an upset stomach. This doesn't affect me. It's like you're like, but then you, you, you're like, yep, I just want turkey on bread and that's it. Mm-hmm. It's like you're like Clark Kent that refuses to turn into Superman. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I have, you know, my, I, I have this iron stomach and I can eat whatever and things don't affect me, but, um, I'm going to stick to, stick to the basics right here. It's like Aquaman, get into the water, please. We need you. Nope. No, I'm, I don't like getting wet. Uh, I like staying dry. Hmm. <coughs> It's going to be the first episode where we just sort of end in this yeah. quiet silence. I mean, maybe we'll think of something that'll really bring the last five minutes to life. Something that'll, something that'll um, make it feel like, for people who stuck through it all the way to the end of the podcast, that there was a little something, a little something special that's like the payoff. Well, here's what's... We spent so much of the episode talking about, like... Life, time, death, mm-hmm. regrets, forward, back. There's something sort of fitting that we're coming to the end here. Mm-hmm. And there is no grand finale. It's just sort of ending. We haven't answered we don't any know. questions. We don't, we don't know that there's not a grand finale coming. There's still minutes left in the podcast. And Uh-oh. What? Your deathbed's going to be real sad. Why? No, no, no. no. no I, I got well, to... Fi- hold on. I got another idea. For a fun thing we can all do real fast. Um, I. Oh, I found out an interesting thing recently. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, we're hanging, <laughs> we're hanging the episode on whatever this is. Well, see, uh, I, I don't think we need to go like 15 minutes past just in case. Just to make sure. Um, when my grandmother died, oh, she no. gave her. Oh, no. She. Donner. She donated her body to um, to science, basically, like to the med school. Right. And I'd always what? Nothing. I was gonna do a really dark joke. About what? <laughs> nothing. No, we're deep in it. Come on. <laughs> it's just gonna be so dark. No, it's. I don't mind. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, <coughs> unfortunately, the thing that the uh, scientists were testing was the body's ability to. Uh, React to car crashes, so just over and over again, Jeep after Jeep. <laughs> just yeah. like the idea that it's like when we think of like donating our body to science, it should be a crash test dummy. So it's like it's better if it's a real, right. but just the human idea body. that it's like, oh, it's people's. You imagine that it's like your organs being used to run tests, and it's like, oh, it might just no. be like, what right. happens when we put a bunch of fucking termites inside a body? Oh, gross. <laughs> like, oh um, no, that's what it was? We want to see, we're t- testing the effects of uh, you drop a body off the roof of your uh, laboratory. <laughs> oh God. 
That's what we thought. <laughs> Destroys it. We never, we never have to run this test again. Well, I think we need to run it at least one more time to make sure that that was accurate. Um, that could have been a fluke. Oh, God. Again? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, surely, surely, surely a third one will do something. It must get better. Maybe it'll re- recombine itself in something. Uh, oh, God. Oh, it's just no. a, it's just oh, a no. pile of them now. Um, what I didn't realize was that... Um, I'm trying to remember who the, who the first... I think it was when... Uh, my dad's dad died that when it came to like planning the funeral or whatever uh, they basically said to like the, the funeral parlor or wherever the, the people who were handling it were like well really this is what's best and this is what's best and I think they were just like whatever you say they just went along yeah. with like whatever you say and of course when you do that it's a business it was basically like a lot of upselling. So it ended up being an extraordinary amount of money. Like the, like they basically just put in <clears throat> all the bells and whistles, like all right. of the, the, the finest casket, the finest lining inside the casket, the, the, every kind of flower, every kind of, you know. Yeah. And a uh, short time later, uh, they were like, it was my uh, grandma and her sister and the brother-in-law. And they were going through all of these like uh, funeral bills. And they were just like, oh my God, this is shocking. And he would be furious if he knew we were spending all of this money yeah. on his funeral. And so the... Uh, they basically were all so like shocked by what they had sort of allowed to happen. Yeah. Because that they all sort of vowed that like when we die, we are going to make sure that we have the spend the least amount of like do the cheapest right. possible. Because <coughs> they were like what does it matter? And so like I think my uncle Milton when he died, it was one of those things where it was like there's a certain kind of box that's the cheapest box and it's like you you opt for a ceremony where there are no flowers. There are no. It's right. like the quickest possible. You know, I don't know if it's like a pine box, but it is like the bargain basement right. thing. And then I think, uh, my and I don't remember. I think my grandma and Aunt Arlie. I think they both also donated their bodies to. She basically was like, went to like Washington University or something, and like or contacted them and was like. I want to leave my body to the right. science department. And they were like, no, we don't just do it like that. Like at a certain age, they're just like, and so she had to like find a, I think she found like a Catholic medical school that was willing to, cause I think, I think, I think Washington university wanted to like charge to take the body or something. Right. And she finally found like a Catholic medical college that would agree to take the body in the event of her death, which like, my grandma, like, she hated Catholics. <laughs> so right. it was like, it, it, that was, that's how much she wanted yeah. uh, not to pay for a few. And I always, I knew about it, but I always thought it was the thing where it was like this noble, like, you give your body to science and you right. do this. I only recently found out that it was just because they did not want to pay any money into kind right. of like the funeral industrial complex. Right. Um, apparently they do a thing where like, they have like a ceremony at the medical school where... Uh, like the the people who survive them come in and they like t- 
tell them like what they learn. What yeah. you know, like this is what our this is how we learn our you know this is how we learn to do that. Like we're using these cadavers this is how we learn how to help people. And it's how we learn how to cure things. And, yeah. Um, I'm thinking like that's so funny to me that that the origin of the story that I always believed was just a sign of like oh my grandma like did this thing because it was like it's a noble thing to do and it right. actually was just like being thrifty right to to like an extreme what do you think what do you think JD about um about the would you feel comfortable donating your body to science? You know, I've recently not changed my mind, but, you know, I was raised Catholic. Right. Didn't take. Became a pretty ardent atheist. <coughs> Very prototypical, like, college student, sort of like, religion ruins the world, like, right. kind of thing. And then, as of late, I don't know if I've talked about this, I feel like I have. Maybe to you, I don't know. I don't think you have, if it's, it doesn't sound like something you have. Um... You know, the last relationship I was in, um, I learned a lot from that person. Mm-hmm. Someone still a really close friend. Um, and one of the things that... She was someone who's like s- sort of spiritual, but not religious per se. Mm-hmm. But... And sort of talking things out and lodging things out, I was sort of like, you know, I think I do believe in a... I don't believe it's nothing. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't believe nothing's going on. But I also don't believe any of these religions. Right. Like, almost no aspect of them rings true to me. Right. So I sort of started writing... And this was before, but I, I started writing my own like religion. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is just my own creation story or own metaphor for existence that felt true to me. You did start telling me some of this at one point. And it's not a religion in the sense where it's like things that I believe to be true and rules and this. It's more yeah. just like, here's a, f- a metaphorical, a symbolic framework <coughs> for how I like to believe How it makes me feel comfortable to believe the world works, the universe works. Yeah. And so, with that, and like, you know, without getting into the details, because it feels sort of personal to talk aloud. Yeah. I think would feel sillier to talk aloud. It would feel sillier than it is to me. Right. It's not that I take it seriously or believe it, but it's more just like, oh, it's a very, it's a very vulnerable reflection of the types of things I'm trying to think about. Yeah, and work on. It has a lot to do with 
everything in existence being this sort of experimentation ground to see mm-hmm. what has what does connect with each other what does form something special yeah and all of that in pursuit of trying to answer the question why and part of existence is not knowing that and just trying to build towards figuring that out even though it's probably an unanswerable question but yeah. doing your best to evolve forward so there was a period of time i remember when i was a kid where i was like terrified of like what if when you die you're just in your body but you can't move or say anything and so you just like see the ground you know the inside of your casket or whatever uh-huh. and so i was like well maybe i'll become uh, maybe if i'm rich one day i can like get it so there's like a window and they can put my casket like above a city so I can at least look down and see all the whatever mm-hmm. and then at a certain point that transferred into sort of like a nihilistic like oh you know in the same way that when you go to sleep and you don't dream and you just wake up and all that time is unaccounted for when you go under for surgery or the time before you were born. You know what I mean? Yeah. The times when it's like, oh, it's just, it's, it's, we have a pretty good framework for what non-existence feels like. Yeah. Maybe the lights just go out and that's it. But I also believe this is something. Something's going on. And, you know, there's this, there's this thought that, you know, when, you're di- when you die, your spirit, your spiritual energy maybe transfers into something else and turns into something that then manifests. And I'm like, yeah, I think we know that to be true in a lot more concrete of a way than we even acknowledge sometimes. It's like, we know that the things that you do and the ways that you interact with the world and the people around you does have, you know, waves of effect after you're gone. And for some people, those are stronger and some people, those aren't. You know, you yeah. leave things behind, memories, ideas, relationships, things that you, physical things you've made, changes to the world, or even if it's just being a part of the sort of cultural zeitgeist that's driven in a certain direction. And likewise, we know physically when you die, you know, that energy is preserved. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you become part of the ground, which then fertilizes things and da 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 well, maybe that's not as, like, it doesn't match with our idea of consciousness in a way that's comforting and can be right. scary. Cause it's like, well, no, but there's more going up here, and I don't want it to just turn into, like, the ground and the memories of me. Mm-hmm. This thing matters. Um, I don't think it's up to us what we what of our energy moves on or passes on or if there is something else to this. Yeah. So that's a long way of saying I don't I don't really care what happens to my body when I die. So it is honest like whatever the thing is that it's the most convenient and least mm-hmm. troubling. Yeah. Cuz I don't while I'm in it, I consider my body to be this important thing, but when it stops working, it's nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wouldn't you like a downward-facing coffin, glass coffin, above a metropolitan area, though? Yeah, but also that's like that the adult version of that idea is very funny. Cause it's like you just see this disgusting rotting corpse slowly <laughs> over time, like yeah, starting to like <laughs> you preserve you well enough that you don't rot. 
Have you, I mean, have you been to open casket funerals? Never. I've never seen a dead body in my life. It's different. doesn't look like a person. Um, you can s- see that it's different. In my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, or maybe I'll just pay a helicopter to just get a big long rope attached to my belt and just fly me around the world until it runs out of gas. Jay, Down main streets. What if you find out... Playing the boys are back in town as my lifeless old corpse swings down Main Street of various towns in the country. <laughs> what if you find out that uh, in the, the next life, like your bodies are just these... They're just a physical... They're just yeah. meat and bone. They're just a, a vessel for our soul. But we live on in the next life through the, the social media accounts that we created and nurtured in our time. And you find out, like, well, they're locked. They're closed out. What did you do? JD, what did you do? JD, oh, you canceled? You canceled your Facebook account? That's how people live on. What did you think all those memories were? The, uh, JD, your memories. Your Facebook memories. The, JD, JD, we, are we, you in there? We made it so clear. <laughs> we, that's why everyone was doing it. Couldn't you feel the pull of the eternity of the afterlife? Well, now you must go to hell with Abe Lincoln and Gandhi and, <laughs> and all the people who died before they existed. <laughs> uh. You know what's weird? I remember, I remember riding the school bus as a kid, and I hated riding the school bus. I hated like. You didn't know who you were going to sit next to. It was yeah. boring. You know, you're just like stuck. There's all these kids yelling. It's loud. It felt like, ah, oh, these kids are all like badly behaved. I don't want to be on yeah. this bus with them. It was like older kids who were scary and all this. And I remember wishing that the school bus, I remember really fantasizing about this deeply, that when you get on the school bus, every, rather than having a seat where it's three yeah. people, that it would be like, Cells like private. Yeah, you go in, you uh, close the door, and you're the only one in there. And in there, you would have a screen, and on that screen, you could watch any movie you wanted, any cartoon. Uh, there was a library that you could read any like books or comics yeah. or listen to any music you wanted. And I remember thinking, like, oh my god, can you imagine if you just and in some ways, like it's not a million miles away. I mean, we don't have like the locked cells or whatever, but like. We have reached the point where, like, you can literally walk around and with your phone, like, if you're on a bus, you can be like, yeah, I watched a movie, I watched, yeah. a, t- I watched a season of a TV show, I listened to all my favorite songs, I read, th- you know, it's like all of those wishes about the future that I had as a child, in a weird way, sort of came true. Right. T- technologically, like, we don't have, like, everyone always says the thing about, I thought we were going to get hoverboards or, you know, like, flying cars, but I'm like... I never wished for those. Those always seem those always seem like chaos to me. Like a hoverboard just seemed like a way that I would get hurt. I can't ride a skateboard. I don't know why I would yeah. ever attempt a hoverboard. Flying cars to me seem like oh, so you can have, someone can have a car wreck and then it land on you, right? You know, like it seems like no, I don't like the sound of that. But the actual one wish that I do remember as a child making happened, which is that all of entertainment would be portable. That's strange, right? Yeah. I never really thought about it until just now. Came true. 
my wish came true, JD. Yeah. I used to pray to a poster of Spider-Man. I told you about this? Yeah, that's why I got you that little Spider-Man guy. Yeah, right, exactly. Do you want to walk me to the train? Uh, yeah. That's like a good... Yeah, it'll take me a minute to... Uh... Oh, fuck. That's a thousand dollars, JD. No, that's a thousand dollars. JD, that's a thousand dollars. This is why I get the steel ones, though. Yeah. The Sennheisers are plastic. That garbage will break. <coughs> you don't want your garbage to break. I don't want my garbage to break. Don't break my garbage. I don't break my garbage. I don't break my garbage. Kind of take a deep breath. <gasps> what's the next pop culture thing that you're super excited about? And we're back. Oh, what's the next pop culture thing that you're... So that last thing I said wasn't on the podcast? No. That's too bad. It's just for us. Um, Connor was just listing his credit card out loud. Yeah. Pretty good numbers. Yeah. I'm surprised that the same one comes up so often. Yeah. It's mostly just that number. Two, 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 two. Expiration. Two, two. Um, I did have an experience where I, uh, ordered a replacement, like I, I had to order a replacement card, uh, for my bank account or like a replacement credit card. Oh, I have mine right here. What? My card expires in like 10 days. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um... <clears throat> But they sent it, and they didn't send it via any, like, secure method. And I never got it. Ooh. And so I was like, well, what do I do now? And they're like, well, you'll basically have to, like, close your bank account and start a new one. It was like a whole, like, ordeal of, like... Wait, your bank account? Yeah, it was like a... Um, it was like my debit card or whatever. Oh, it was your debit card. Yeah. Ugh. And... It was sent, and it wasn't sent via any, like, secure method, and so it never arrived. And so I was like, what do I do? And they were like, well, the best thing to do probably is just, like, close the account and start a new one. And it was a real, like, hassle because then it was like, well, everything that I pay for is via, like, all these, like, direct deposit, direct debit, all of these right. things. And now it's like, well, now i got to, like, think... About what that? Yeah. About like I, I immediately started getting all these things where it's like, your Netflix subscription was uh, couldn't yeah. be renewed. And I'm like, oh okay. <clears throat> and it is like annoying the way that we are all tied into this kind of like digital. But it's a good clean sweep though. Yeah. Because I I have to do that now because I have a new credit card. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm sort of like, oh, I'm gonna have to go through all my accounts and update that. Yeah. And that means it's going to be something that's going to be left behind. Or something that would be like, wait, why have I been paying for a, Jacuzzi. you know, like Etsy premium account or whatever, like <laughs> a, a, a Pinterest pro account. Whew. It's uh, a nice night out, JD. This is perfect weather, in my opinion. Yeah, I like it. Um... I like it more now than a few hours ago when we were out in it. This is about right for me in terms of not working up a sweat anywhere, you know? Right. Yeah, this is great because you could go, you could take a long walk and 
And that's the thing I really do miss in the, in the summer months is like weather like this, if it felt like this during the day, like a long walk in Manhattan is great. You know, like I could it's walk perfect. from the top of Central Park down to Midtown, you know? Yeah. And it would feel fantastic. And I hate that feeling in summer where I suddenly feel like I have to like kind of limit my travels on foot because everywhere I go it's kind of like well now I feel horrible even well, I would like to walk and that's what I don't like about the winter of the winter though is um, when it's weather like this you right. can just keep walking and it's about whether you're tired yeah. walking or not yeah there the cold seeps in and over time no matter what yeah you're gonna get cold and the moment there's snow I hate this shit the trudging around the trudging yeah. And then, like, slipping and, the oh, weird... that's not snow, that's water, Yeah, that's ice. I definitely can empathize with, like, the pitfalls of that. But to me, all of that, like, even though you don't see it visibly the way you do with snow, that's how I feel walking around in the heat. Right. Where it's like, I may not literally be walking around, trudging around in the snow, but I'm feeling it. There's, like, an invisible blizzard of heat. Sure. And we are nearing in on the Euro market, the fabled, much vaunted Euro market, which I always remember as being called Euro Mart. I always misremember it. Yeah. It was never called that, was it? I think Euro Mart might be a reference from a movie. Really? Yeah. Or maybe it's like Quickie Mart. Yeah. Euro Market. I mean, that's what the Mart, I think, is short for, right? just a condensed version of that word huh. I've never thought about that is that I don't know if it's true yeah I don't know if what that's a great true. mystery to go out on at the end of this podcast yeah is Mart a, a uh, condensed version of market I wonder if the Pinocchio soda's still in there do you want to look I bet it is yeah we're going to go into the Euro market and see if that Pinocchio soda is still here I have a feeling it is no one will have bought it. We are in the Euro market. We're going to their soda selections. Ooh, it seems slippery. like a lot more juice than soda. A lot of boilins, a lot of cream. It doesn't look like the same. No, because it was on exotic. this wall, but now I wonder if it's all in. Well, look here. No, no. Here. Is this it? <laughs> yes. No, Hold, on. Him. Hold on. <laughs> and he's next to someone else who's like a cowboy. Oh, no. Well, let me see. I think that's our boy. But it's really a lot less than it used to be, right? Yeah. Unless they're putting some more in the fridges. That's what it looks like. It may just be the end of an era, you know? Yeah. Any help? No, we're just looking at sodas. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Um, yeah, from a whole wall to basically two, two bottles, two different kinds. Oh, it's raining. It's raining. It's pouring. No, it's a nice little drizzle. It's just a simple drizz. It's the kind of drizzle that I would have no problem walking in. Oh, and there's a dead pigeon. This is a dark episode, I think. Yeah, I mean... JD wasn't lying. We did just walk past a 
either a dead or a resting pigeon on the... It was not resting. I mean, it could have been asleep. I mean, it was then asleep with its, like, feet straight in the air and its face planted in the ground among no other pigeons. Well, we'll never know. Um, it started raining and we passed a dead animal. The sounds of the city. Sounds of the city. We're walking past the Payomatic Money Center, which is a Western Union office, and a recycling uh, recycling oh, like, center here. We should make sure we make this train, or else it's going to be like 20 minutes. Really? Yeah, I think so. Is the train here? No, it just says, look, it says one minute away. Okay. Uh, I should get my microphone ready for you. Are you going to hand it to me? I should, shouldn't I? I mean, you usually ride away with it on, but we don't see each other as often. Yeah. All right. You're going to enter with me? Yeah. All right. This is the screens are here. I hear the train is coming. You might have nailed the timing. What? Probably nailed the timing here. I think we did. These clocks are to be believed. We were walking up to the platform. And... I think we are in good shape. Yeah. This is a very nice day, even though we're both so tired. We're both tired. A little reflective. I think we had some fun, though. I think so. It was good talking. Yeah. I don't remember most of what we talked about now. Neither do I. It doesn't seem like we could have possibly filmed filled 12 hours. Does it? No. I'm still self-conscious that I sounded melodramatic. No, if you're going through something, it's just real. Like, that's the only thing. It would only be melodramatic if I thought you weren't going through it and you were just, like, doing it for the podcast. If, uh, if I was, like, this is very chipper, and then I was like, all right. All right, counter up. Test, test, test. Yeah. One, two, three. Um, so uh, this is the mesh thing that they added? No, you'll see. You walk down here. Yeah. This is just uh, glass. Yeah. You can see that. In, you can imagine in the summer it just, you, just magnifies you get the, cooked. Yeah. So it's it's just like some cosmetic changes. Purely cosmetic. See, here's the mesh. Yeah, it's not great. Now it's raining. It is. It's been a 12-hour day. It's been a nice 12-hour day. Ah, it was very nice to see you. Thank you so much for my present. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Happy birthday. Thank you. And to you as well. What? Nothing. You'll find out in December. It's been a good 12-hour day, Connor. All right. I'll Enjoy see you soon. Train. I'll see you soon, JD. Stay dry out there. I'll try my best. Bye, JD. Bye, Connor. Bye, Connor. See you, JD. See you, Connor. All right. Uh, see you later. All right. Bye, Connor. Bye, JD. Au revoir. Oh, uh, farewell.
Hasta la vista. Aloha. Connor's sitting down. He's taking out his headphones. He's probably going to listen to Elvis Costello and make some selections for his tweets that he's going to do. And there he goes. He's waving goodbye. That's what I call a 12-hour day. That's that kind of high-energy ending we need. Oof. I will say, after last night, I did not think I was going to make it through this day. That is the truth. I thought for sure that I was going to cancel him today. And we made it through. And again, I don't know if it was a stellar episode, but, um, you know, I never really know that. I'm going to walk a different way home. It's not to pass our dead friend. I'll let him rest in literal peace. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know I kept saying it. It probably sounds stupid. But, uh... For me, it's... It's been a year... Uh, I've just been trying to figure some things out, and I feel like I am. And I'm making a lot of progress. And it feels good. And um, I know I'm not done. I have more work to do. And more things that I think will help me. Which is going to be nice. But I'm sort of in it in the middle right here. Um, so it's... Uh, again, I don't want to sound like I have it harder than anyone else does because I definitely don't but that's what I've been going through and I don't know hopefully maybe talking about it makes other people realize not makes them realize but just confirms that people go through a lot of different things so, we shall see. Um, it's actually kind of nice that it's raining. I sort of really like New York when it rains. I don't know why. But it's like right now, feels really good to have a nice sort of cold rain. It's not heavy, and it's getting heavier right now. Um, it's nice. 
is sort of a nice ending to the podcast, in my opinion. I don't know if you can hear it. You know what's actually funny? Is for whatever reason I woke up today, I had the feeling it was going to rain today. And I thought, I honestly thought, I thought, oh, that would be a nice way to open an episode of 12 Hour Day. It's just the sound of rain hitting a windowsill. And then when it was like really nice out today, I was sort of like, oh, well, I guess that's not what this episode is. Uh, so now that it's ending like this, it's sort of fitting. Oh, now it's pouring. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, all the equipment's getting wet. Whenever it rains like this and I'm getting soaked, I feel like Sarah at the beginning of Labyrinth. And I feel good about it. Ooh, I should have shivered. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope it was good. And, uh, even though I'm sort of not out there as much interacting, um, I still want to thank you for listening to this and being a part of it and engaging. It means a lot. I'm just sort of watching the rain now. Taxi cab drives by. There's this stick. A tree branch. That's been stuck on these power lines outside my apartment. For maybe three or four years now. And the stick is... It's shaped like a J, an upside down J. And the J hook is hooked over the power lines. And it sort of curls up under. And so the tension of the multiple power lines sort of stretching away is stretching out the J. So I feel like it must have fallen on when they blew and got tighter or something. But now it means that that branch is, is never gonna fall. And every day when I leave the house and come home, I look at it, especially when it's raining, I notice it. It's right out here. So anyways, I'm sure that's a metaphor for something. But, uh, 
Damned if I know. It's holding on. I don't think it's going to blow off anytime soon. the gear just so the end of the episode for sure is the sound of rain to me one of the most relaxing sounds there is all right here it is <laughs> <laughs> 